second alibi, The Banality of Life by Jonathan Harnish published by Babadood Press 36 Mariquita Lane Corrales, New Mexico 87,048 United States of America While the publishers and the author have taken every care in preparing the material included in this work, any statements made as to the legal or other implications of any transaction, any particular method of litigation, or any kind of compensation claim are made in good faith purely for general guidance and cannot be regarded as a substitute for professional advice. Consequently, no liability can be accepted for loss or expense incurred as a result of relying on particular circumstances on statements made in this work copyright Jonathan Harnish 2014. All rights reserved, no part of this publication may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any way or by any means, including photocopying or recording, without the written permission of the copyright holder, application for which should be addressed to the publisher. Crown copyright material is reproduced with kind permission of the controller of Her Majesty's Stationery Office, British Library Cataloging and Publication Data. A catalogue record for this book is available from the British Library, ISBN 13, 978-1500,482,015 ISBN 10, 1500,482,013 printed in the United States of America and Great Britain Do you know what you're getting into? A little bit of fun? For example, catching the reading bug, if you haven't been hooked already? can change your life forever and a few minutes could lead to a lifetime of commitment. Enter, second alibi, the banality of life the banality of enlightenment, second alibi, the banality of life is the sensational prequel to the groundbreaking Jonathan Harnish, an autobiography, Harnish's The Banality of Life handles the backstory of Georgie, Ben, and Claudia, further incorporating the invisible studio audience introduced in autobiography. Ben's confessions flourish, written once more in his noteworthy and imaginative style. Harnish seduces the reader by presenting a genuine, eerie sense of dissociation from the story, and once again conveys the feeling of what it is truly like to be mentally ill. There's an edge to second alibi that is beautifully countered by the author's personal story of how his writing helps him to rise above his own disorder while allowing the rest of the world to understand what it is like to be mentally ill and how people with schizophrenia think and see their world editorial the outside artist hidden beneath his meticulously cluttered desk covered in piles of books sits a frozen, mysterious, mosaic-eyed man in a tattered brown and yellow plaid suit, his thick salt and pepper hair is shaggy and must, his face unshaven and his demeanor disheveled, his name is Jonathan Harnish. Already up all night and day, and onto the second batch of serialized alibiographies, he just can't stop. This writer writes fast, and, as one reviewer on Amazon.com wrote, it's for the masses, following is the stream of consciousness currently communicating inside my head, the drug I take is called schizophrenia, among other labels, which I desperately want to put away. I want to put the drug of schizophrenia down, and I want to put down the stigma surrounding its label Ben Author's unabashed introduction Second Alibi is a pastiche of different storylines, genres, and writing styles, per request, per whose request, jump ahead to the climactic twist on the last page of its killing you as it is for me to find out, 
I respond to the process of my writing and style by keeping it raw, brazen, honest and real deal, unabashed, uncut. Perhaps it's the genius of a mentally ill mind, no perhaps about it, truth be told, it most certainly is, it's the genius of a mentally ill mind, which one might or might not be able to feel, I present you with the banality of life, love me, hate me, anger me, or shame me, but I hope you will be able to find your own enlightenment and begin looking at your own realities in a different way, other than that, until my next number, I might as well sell out here with this one, but maybe that's the illness speaking. Jonathan Harnish, the author of Ed, Introduction Forward Preface I smile and scoff in favor of good fun, having just written the last line in the following sequel to Allobiography. The intro, forward, preface, what have you, I'm certain would entail unnecessary editorial hackwick in addition to my own considerable confusion about the difference between the three but I will blatantly blame my confusion on the disorders, of course, I have several mental disorders, mental illness and disease make my life that much more interesting than being diagnosis free, but where's the truth, the truth, truths, to journey into bitter bits and bites of the fictional backstory, dispensing immaculate dissociations and the genesis of the genius until the trilogy is due editor's preface to the author, this was a great sequel to the prequel. I really liked how you handled the backstory of Georgie Ben Claudia by making it into a screenplay. Not only does it provide the needed background, but it also gives the reader a truly eerie feeling of dissociation from the story, which gives the writing its needed edge to convey the feeling of what it is like to be mentally ill. That edge is then beautifully countered by your own personal story of how your writing is helping you to rise above your own disorder and let the rest of the world understand what it is like to be mentally ill, to reveal how people with schizophrenia think and how they see their world. You have done a real service here, and have used the Georgie Ben Claudia story perfectly. This is another brilliant read and the perfect sequel to the earlier book. It explains so much about mental illness that needs explaining by someone who knows. For this reason, I have been very gentle in the editing. The book was actually in pretty fantastic shape and needed more of a proofreading than brutal editing. I thought it was essential that your own voice be retained, as a, you are an excellent writer in your own right and be, your own writing voice and style give the book such a powerful sense of authenticity that I didn't want to ruin by correcting colloquialisms or conversational sentence fragments just for the sake of grammatical correctness. It is important for the reader to get to know you, Ben, and Georgie by letting them speak in their own voices, even if wildly ranting in places, as this is a major part of the disorder and therefore a key strength of the book. Thank you for allowing me to work on this sequel. I found it truly inspiring and uplifting, and it dispelled much of the sadness and horror that I had been left feeling at the end of the prequel. Cheers, anonymous editor author's preface Let's get the facts straight up front, to avoid any confusion later. I'm a person first, a human being, just like anyone else. Maybe a little different, that's all. Years ago, I publicly disclosed my diagnoses with comorbid schizoaffective disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, personality disorder NOS, not otherwise specified, and Tourette's syndrome. One might argue that I have been dealt quite a handful of cards and have been put through the ringer. Maybe it's just the luck of the draw, 
or maybe it's not luck at all, but some time ago, when I felt internally trapped and suffocated and hiding all my inner demons, as I call them, while secretly writing about them, it simply grabbed hold of me, and boy did it grab hold. I had made seven suicide attempts and had over 30 hospitalizations and addiction rehabilitation stints within a decade. Then, one day, I just made a choice. It felt like the sun smacked my face, allowing my mind, my experiences, and my altered sense of reality to burn, twist, deform, and coil. I'm referring to a metamorphosis, which had taken place inside me. I looked into the mirror and everything came alive my delusions, my dreams were burying everything within reality as I experienced it, now, I no longer saw impossibility in the mirror, my imagination ignited once again, I kept staring at my reflection, my delusions of grandeur formed a shape on their own in my reflection in my double reality, if you will, not a multiple personality, which is one of many myths surrounding schizophrenia. Within the depths of my mind and psyche, my imagination began to dream while awake. In short, the metamorphosis occurring inside caused me to begin my mission, exploiting all that I had kept buried inside for far too long, letting loose all my secret weariness of suffocation of and derailments from the truth, my truth. I opened up, raw, unabashed, facing perhaps my hugest fear. I went public with my mental health conditions. One morning, I awakened for the day at midnight and was unable to think clearly, concentrate, or remember much of anything. I dove into my art, my work, my life purpose of productivity, but I couldn't concentrate. Growing more and more upset with myself, I felt a very familiar stinging sense of shame and disapproval. My thoughts, my executive function deficit, were askew along with my condition. My morning writing session had gone awry, at least at first, this happens to be a part of my morning writing session. My concentration had been thrown off, and an overload of stimuli within the silence of my home office frustrated me. I took a hot shower to ground myself, which often does the trick, and then returned to writing. At this point, the original thesis or subject of my words shifted with my thoughts, and that suited me just fine. Earlier, I had been overcome, irritated beyond belief mentally, physically, and perhaps spiritually to buy my role of being an artist, which is commonly known to involve, for example, my latest novel Jonathan Harnish, an autobiography, my masterpiece. However, the point to my sitting at my desk began to metamorphose on its own. That's one thing I love about writing writing therapy how it helps me. It keeps things simple and it helps my thinking become clearer. Being a mainstream literary author is known to be 50% writing and 50% marketing, and it was the business aspect, the marketing, that ripped at my soul. At least that was how I felt. I felt defeated. While writing therapy is a tool I take quite seriously, perhaps I was not upset with the onslaught of internal difficulties. My own goal of being the best? Being on the bestseller list that doesn't matter any longer, and that's not why I write. I write for therapy, and that is why I keep fighting my mental health condition, my mind, every single day, because I can overcome the demons, the delusion, and the distractions. Perhaps this morning my cognitive behavioral therapist would have reminded me that my mind plays tricks on me, 
or that all suffer in some way from cognitive distortions, he would remind me of how cognitive distortions and living with mental illness can take its toll on interpersonal relationships. After all, I believe we are all in the same boat in many ways, and it comes down to something very cliched, yet entirely true. We all have problems, but let's not kid ourselves, it's how we deal with them that makes the difference. I ponder on what the difference is. In my question, I see the answer. I see my self-confident smile once again. Relationships with family and friends have faded and deteriorated in my world, and then just the opposite occurs, sometimes at the drop of a hat. I'm grateful for living on a mental roller coaster and not a merry-go-round. My illnesses make me unusual, as I said, and sometimes I think all just need to give ourselves a time out to be alone for a bit, simply to figure some things out. Usually, we can see a problem in a new way when we focus our eyes someplace new. That's what the past hour has taught me. It's good. Good enough. Realistically, things may not be as bad as they seem. Sometimes another perspective on distressing matters can help. I see it as my task, perhaps our collective task, to be resilient, even if some days we just have to be there for ourselves when we are feeling alone in the enterprise, we move on, there's no way around it, I ask myself now if I feel okay, and the smile is back, thank goodness, one last note, I've often doubted my abilities and my perception of my reality by fearing others and feeling myself withdrawing and going inside, losing hope of coming back to myself with any peace of mind. The future, that's not where I'm, I'm right here in the now. Catherine Hepburn once said, if you obey all of the rules, you miss all of the fun, I apply that to writing writing therapy, as well buffering back to the beginning for a sec the outside artist hidden beneath his meticulously cluttered desk covered in piles of books sits a frozen, mysterious, mosaic-eyed man in a tattered brown and yellow plaid suit. His thick salt and pepper hair is shaggy and must, his face unshaven and his demeanor disheveled. His name is Jonathan Harnish, second alibi beware of artists. They mix with all classes of society and are therefore most dangerous. Queen Victoria instrumental, digging up the past conversation with self I woke up and set myself the goal of getting out of bed. I achieved it. I set my next goal of getting washed and dressed and I achieve this too. Next, I successfully went to my first appointment of the day. Am I afraid? I was, at first. Why? Because I know I'm dying, and I'm not finished. With what? I don't know. Then why did you let yourself die? I didn't know I had a choice. Did it hurt? Not in a way you will understand. Well, what did it feel like then? It felt like forgetting. Like my life was slowly pouring out of me as I lay there grasping for it with invisible fingers. I watched it fall out of me as if it had never happened. It was that fast, the undoing of it all. And, just like that, it was gone. I was undone. I saw you at age 38, my same age, and I understood your own forgetting and how difficult it was to keep a life going when there was nobody anymore. I understood my body was going. My arms were numb my head heavy, my eyelids caked shut, I understood my body was disappearing, and I was afraid for what that meant, I was afraid of who I'd be without my body, and how would my grandchildren know the sound of my voice, and oh my god they wouldn't, 
So what did it feel like? It felt like forgetting. Letting go of the body is an effortless thing, unless you fight for it, and that's what I did. I fought. I fought to bring my body back. But I was too tired. I gave up fighting when I understood. What did you understand? That you might forget small details, but that you'd carry on my legacy. And that you and your mommy and your sister would know that I loved you and did the best I could. And that maybe I was finished. How can anyone really know, anyway? Did you, do the best you could? I don't know. Yes, maybe, no. Why is it so hard to do our best? Because we forget. Smoke break. Statement of internal principle laced with arsenic. The screen is black. Having faded to red, it blends directly into blue, and then back to black. Intrinsic introductory initiation. The fiction I write works for me. Although not necessarily for all my readers, I tend to dig deep into the closets of my psyche and the exaggerated wells within my own imagination, thus exposing myself in an often disturbing fashion. Yet, I feel I do so with a heart buried underneath the gravel at its innermost core. I seek, inquire, and ever search for the source, the missing pieces and the unanswerable questions of and reasons behind human nature deep inside myself, yearning, sometimes suffocating and still ever inquiring, over and over. For some, the content is just not for them, or they are simply not ready for it, as I see it. But I find pleasure and satisfaction in any book, and I will often say that if it looks good on my bookshelf, it looks good to me. I'm happy with it. Jonathan Harnish, An Autobiography, Book 1, otherwise known as Lover in the Nobody, is an apt example of how I strip down characters to their naked core, which, to me, and perhaps to Freud, is symbolic of the root of every aspect of the angel, demon-human dichotomy ADHD of life, in the way that I see it, how else to strip someone down to the core without writing about them as fully and actually naked, full of desire and even fetish, it surely seems to be the elemental metaphor for the roots of my own feelings, which are often quite extreme themselves. But this is an apology request from my bitter demeanor and what I feel was disrespectful to my readers all of you. I could be wrong. No harm may have been done after all. I'm self-critical, sometimes to a fault. At the same time, there might be another late evening when I'm profoundly upset, and I can only hope that I will, next time, respect others, even when feeling, falsely or not, disrespected by others. I do my best to not miss my mark completely, but we win some and lose some. Letting my deepest fears attack anyone else's character or persona, mentally ill or mentally healthy, is not my cup of tea, after all. I change, and I change again, like the good old chameleon effect. I believe, at my core, is someone who is looking to do right and can also become all too frustrated when feeling unloved, taken advantage of or even disrespected. I do yearn for peace of mind, and that's my goal. It always has been. Just for now, let praise be to God for stopping the rain, the storm, tonight, for I could resign from my public performance, instead letting it rip through the written word of the third, the third person, Georgie. I leave it up to him, for he is a shim. The lights dim, for baby Ben as a boy's second alibi. It's worth waiting for at least in my eyes, as they open slightly in the heart of light and darkness. Thanks for stopping the rain so I can write, for I'm Ben.
I begin again, and again, and yet again, George is on the other end, so let's play pretend, perhaps, number one rule, harmonious hashtag, writing tip don't stay in school, skip a thought or two, you'll make it through, no censor, we're all just babies, time is unreal. Isn't it allowing the alter ego under the armor rip I wake up with the image of Georgie in my head, let's get the facts straight, to avoid any confusion, Georgie is an alter ego, it's a means of leaving some room in my experience not to be entirely sick of myself, I've even given Georgie his own P.O. box so he can get mail, sometimes I send him gifts and then I keep them for myself, I pretend we're the same person, he takes a look in the mirror. Our face is all mangled up, theoretically, bandaged with thoughts of self-torture over all the torment and perplexity that Claudia has caused. My perplexity is Georgie's. Georgie starts the morning, while I stay in bed longer. We're pretty sick and tired of the same pathetic routine of morning rituals every day. Georgie decides not to shave or clip his nails this morning. It'll all be okay. I begin to glance upon what has happened. I'm in the kitchen preparing breakfast. I dump a cup of unfiltered water in a bowl of oatmeal. I use the microwave well. You can cook anything in the microwave anything, even lobster. I prefer cold lobster though, with melted butter. The washer and dryer are in the garage unit. Georgie needs a clean shirt to wear and must step outside for a second to snag one from the dryer. He climbs into a white v-neck. Georgie's got some cold cans of coffee in the fridge upstairs, in the guest unit. His office is up there, sipping his job at the desk. He lights a fresh smoke. By the time he's ready to install some bullshit on the computer, he's tired again. Underneath the sounds of Duran Duran blaring through his headphones, he realizes the tin of smoker's tobacco is still downstairs in the main house. He requires the morning dip to suffice for his already bruised inner dilemmas. He requires slow death. A slow and legal suicide is in order. Smoke break. Outside, he can hear his heart thumping like the cylinders of a garbage truck. His perplexity, Claudia, is in a bathrobe outside, walking to a mailbox. She's the snake, the slow-moving serpent with the tongue of fire and the ass of a bombshell. The combustion of the planet is in Georgie's head as it replays in mine. This is the habit that won't go away. This is the bucket of slime, the waste of time that Georgie let manipulate him until the point of no return. He needs to find his way back to the mental state he was in before this all went too far. Georgie met her on Halloween last year. Last year was 2004. It's the 4th. Why not offer some exposition of November? It's a year later now and the angst is still there, barely, but much less than before. Some things we don't fully get rid of within the time constraints of a certain plan to get over things. It's now the time to move on and well, actually, Georgie is well on his way to putting the last wasted year to rest. He remembers fucking her, dancing in the parking lot, watching her rip his heart out while she was high as a kite. She took pleasure in controlling his gut and cock, but now his cock is tired, and he's been meeting some new, promising, adventurous women, women who are more worth the while. We could start looking at Georgie's life since the 29th of October, this year. That's just less than a week ago. He had left Los Angeles County and flown up to his buddy's place in Silicon Valley. He was feeling good. 
he remained up there through Halloween, so as to avoid any coincidental rendezvous with the girl next door. She was a philosophical end herself, a dandy little disturbance in Georgie's life. He took her too seriously, a non-fictional wonder prize Georgie brought home from the world freak show. He still thinks of her imperfections that he came to love. Now he's got another date lined up for Thanksgiving. She'll probably stand him up. Why not get over her now? To avoid any prolonged rebounding. This new woman seems like she might be the real thing. But then again, doesn't everyone? My father said I could write the entire past year as some kind of sitcom. I never thought I'd sell any of my scribbles. Nonetheless, Georgie and I might get along a little better and make some sense of things as we trudge through our recap with the same nightmare. She made my life miserable. She sparked the creation of Georgie as an idea just meant to quell some of the heartache. How does simplicity become so complex? Why is complexity so attractive? Why bother speaking in generalities when the main point is right before our eyes? Start explaining. Why not offer some exposition? Set up the scene. Tell it like it is and move on. Georgie, sometimes you frustrate the living shite out of me. You belong in a trash compactor. Overreacting? Georgie, fuck you. God damn it, here comes a little copulalia. I begin to swear aloud and echo my manic thoughts out loud. My mood will shift again later. I'm a mess. Besides, I just lit this pathetic little cigarette on the wrong end. Am I drunk now? Or what? Please enjoy a five-minute break. Have a cup of coffee. Loosen up and breathe. Realize all that you're not and come to some kind of conclusion of what you might become. You used to have some kind of life. Read your own lips. Okay, okay. Some people have happy relationships. Some have alter egos they can relate to. I'm not sure if I'll ever have either, so I'll make the best of what I've got going on with the G-Man, a trendy way of dubbing Georgie. Sounds stupid. Sometimes we circle jerk together. We play cookie. What's cookie? What's cold dookie? Retarded. What's the matter with our minds today? Listen, let me tell you something. But the thought just escaped me. Smoke break. The banality of life a laugh in DL envoy. Jet RJ. But not yet. Who am I? Enter the literary disc jockey. What is your status now? Ben. Crack. Speed. Alcohol. And now what? When are you going to get straight? I cannot trust you anymore. How can you take a good life and screw it up so much? Get your life together before it's too late. This is crisis time. I beg you to rid yourself from your addictions and obsessions forever and resume our relationship. You keep choosing addiction. Pops. Parents just don't understand. Pops. I say. I write. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. Thank you. Glory untold, resonating class, it wasn't addiction necessarily, please pick up the dictionary sleep depth synonymous with sleep deprivation, a crazy roller coaster on which one rides, feeling both half awake and half asleep, irritable, socially inept, and hyperactive due to lack of sleep, sleep depth causes one to crack, fold, and often just topple over with a dreamy sense of reality. Common side effects include becoming sexually aroused and speaking aloud all thoughts, often using wordplay, feeling like you have nothing to lose except more sleep, getting a second wind is common alterations in the perception or experience of the external world and self, 
where everything seems unreal. I'm so crazy sleep debt, yo, man. I'm rocking the sleep debt, the screen is black. Georgie stands up and says, Dr. C, can we go for a walk? There are some things I want to tell you, some things I need to go over. Composite sketching maybe it starts with the first impression he likes to make before he really gets to know someone. Georgie's outer personality and image that is, the part of his outer personality that expresses itself are analytical. He is a perfectionist with a great talent for organizing things, furniture, and feet. He inherently knows the value of good work and service, charitable work. He buys Pum's cheeseburgers on weekends. The trees are beginning to bloom again on the Wakefield campus, where students play on the lawn in short-sleeved shirts, no jackets. Georgie engages in activity classes dining hall library. In class, he looks down at his notes, considering what he has scribbled down, while Ben narrates for Georgie, in his own imagination. Georgie is Ben's alter ego, the story begins again, of Claudia and Heidi. Ben fights to let go of Georgie but he cannot, no way in bloody hell. He is stuck, still making valiant attempts to rearrange the past. Notations in shorthand, technology system and distribution, information generation gap between young and old. Young should live up to individual ideals. Young have been deceived by hypocritical society, rebel sex and drugs, military learn to kill and destroy. Our generation feels a sense of brotherhood time to think, few wealthy, many poor, raw youth Dostoevsky, introverts, jung, pastiche of public domain pieces, effects, decline of American morality, crime, violence, fraud, tax loopholes, deception, inflation, price rigging, generation X generation Y Huawei, introversion, transgression, smoke break. Loneliness brings Georgie to recall his reminiscence of the world being encompassed within the universe and the whole incredible phenomenon of this and that. Those from long ago, cavemen, could only imagine what existed beyond the things men knew back in the year 1000 the things closest to them they knew, and what we don't know, we fear, and I fear. Georgie too. Barbaric yells, Tarzan, gargoyles, devils. Japanese samurai warriors with shields and swords, sketches of an evil fairy and a fierce dragon dissolving into the still-living Komodo dragon, the largest living lizard in the world. It is as real as the drawn footage that Georgie animates over his drawn map of the Indonesian island of Komodo. As he said before, it is a strange mentality, but we are still around, and it got us to where we are now, so it all can't be that bad. The fetus maneuvers in preparation to ejaculate from Rose, but Georgie's umbilical cord wraps around his neck next, nothing else near. What could have been such a start of the sketches? His mother's drug-induced conception day or the entanglement? Perhaps all of it, maybe it has to do with me, you, Ben, the umbilical cord wrapped around the neck, in medical talk. The head doc arranges for the pumping of both lungs as standard protocol. Georgie remains calm, unlike me, I worry. Two more doctors are called in by the PADRS Hayes and Peterson, department and chair co-heads Bert it is a boy and how wonderful, stillborn basically, but he turns out okay, just as he promised on the playground. 
the bright and beautiful day that Georgie the five-year-old former freak plays with his real-life action figures in the sandbox pops built in the backyard, the same collarless shirt and black boots, totally timeless. He sings his own variation of the Michael Finnegan nursery rhyme, in his own way, alone. There was a little man named Michael Finnegan, first grew fat, then grew thin again, poor little Michael Finnegan, begin again. There was a young man named Michael Finnegan, who lost his friend and Ben came back again, poor old Michael Finnegan, begin again. Everything cuts to black, his ticks, his life, his world. I open the curtains and begin the show. Ben, always to the rescue, fucking always me, poetically, protrusic, and blasphemy, but I better keep my cool this time, sketchpad flipping pages, my planner, planned out to do it right, to do it better, help me Dr. C, it's too much Georgie and I can't see, Dr. C, Dr. C, please press the pause button, Dr. C claps twice, and I'm removed from the poetic dance of her trance. Hypnotism is not for kids. What happened I ask her. You're okay. I'm here. You are here. Dr. Abrams has reassigned me to you. You had left off in a whole other time period and believed you has been healed. You've been here now for well over a quarter century. Insanity is the mad world where we, the mad, are sane. How old am I? Dr. C. 40. Ben. 37. 38. 40. Ben. She echoes on repeat in my head, like Claudia, she responds, I'd like to listen more, Ben, take a deep breath, breathe in, breathe out, I hear Dr. C's voice vocalize internally, but, Dr. C, I say, I just can't, duck, laugh, Dr. C encourages, while laughing, give it a shot because I give a shite, nobody else has, Claudia is real, Ben, even if only in your vivid imagination, you mean Georgie's wild head, no, I believe you, Ben, I believe in you, let go, Ben, just let go, just like Georgie told you, over and over, and like you told me, you're fine, you are doing well, she hushes slightly, you're going to make it out of here, Ben, you are going to walk and be completely free, it's the story, it needs you. Do you feel me? I feel her hand on my lap but nothing of any sexual nature occurs in my head, just Dr. C's words, forget it and move forward. It took a very long time for your mind to create your so-so-so-called false sense of so-called sense of reality. Throw it all away. Start fresh. Start over. You can do it. Let go. Begin again. Ben I I, duck, eye to eye, and the session is over. Move forward escorted out, Dr. C grabs me, and I can't stop the story unfolding in my mind, sequentially, in real time, it's too slow to keep up with, go deeper, Ben, deep, way deep, Ben, go way the fuck way deep, Ben, I've never heard Dr. C speak and swear, let the spirit swarm, let loose, grab hold, take me for the ride, the real ride, no ropes, way deep inside, Ben free Ben. Claudia is the impetus, remember, she told you, Ben, she told you to write the story that the medical staff want, remember, she is real, Ben, 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 the officials try to pull me away, demanding Dr. C stay put, don't listen to them, Ben, I'll be here, I need to hear, I need to hear you, smoke break, parenthetic pet peeve, 
when someone actually gives a damn, like Margaret, the national crisis line Clark from the grocery store, she care too much, like she was holier than thou, that's different, I let go and let it rip, she, who, Dr. C, she believes in me, like Sister Clara, the soothing psychic from the shop, this is my damn psych life, not medical advice, and I'm not taking any either, I'll stick around and dig deep as long as I can, and I will, and I will never stop, fuck, since I believe in all this stuff, even reincarnation, it's real because I believe it, so all of it, everything, and I just keep writing, Dr. C, Claudia, and Kelly, entanglements with all these fragmented folk, they see something in me, and I don't give a good god and what others think of it or me or anything, I sit back and pray for them, wishing they could live as much of a fucked up, fascinating life as mine, I just offer pieces of it in spitting pitter-patter, easy pieces, that's what I do, that's what I'm here for, the sensation of sensational sex in blue movies, the characters and chaos, onslaughts of sketches, prototypes of expanding pounding putty and pus, some sex and violence, I'm built for it, a part of the whole and parts of it, whole, asshole tears, fears, and phobias, I tell the security guard who removes my smoke, the fire in my hospital corner blazes, I know it's only in my mind, I self-stigmatize, discriminate, and desecrate, I'm who I'm, nobody can stop me, this is it, it's not all there is, but it's as much as I have time for, I pass out from the distress, and Georgie falls into deep sleep, where my dreams are dreamless, the emptiness of the God Source is all that Georgie hears, the silence of my heart, bleeding to get out if only I had the time, manuscripts in the trash buried in the basement, stolen, he still has it locked up here and there in his head, I know it, trying to keep up with it as it runs on and on, my hands can't scribble it all, so its fragments appear as they do, I dream now, Georgie's dreams of pickles take him somewhere else, how we love dreams, real or not, for the last three days, there has not been one ray of sunlight, the sky is grey, flat, and still, the rain falls without a pause, in its absolute silence I whistle and watch the ticking clock, I tick, waiting for tomorrow to tack, and the day after then, when I will remember today, Georgie becomes truly excited and impressive when he works himself ill, he's not been to bed for three or four weeks in succession the bitterest fight he's had to wage, upset by his illness, consumed by his anger of having to make an idol of Claudia, an ideal I love and hate, Georgie feels sick and dizzy, in love again, but should recover, having burned all of my books in the maddening belief that he could refrain from writing things of that same, depressing nature, so far, there is no evidence otherwise, during these moments, now on the train to New England, Georgie's mind becomes lyrical, every transformation is a new looney tune, an overt overture to another great new piece of writing, ever and forever striving to gain some sort of solid shape within its hints of tints and tinseltor, all but blurred in his brain but brilliant, like a Shakespeare sonnet of sorts, now Georgie glances upon what has actually happened, and again it happened again, hiding underneath his meticulously cluttered desk, covered in piles of books, sits the frozen, mysterious mosaic-eyed man in an old, tattered, brown and yellow plaid suit, 
his thick salt and pepper hair is shaggy and must, his face's unshaven demeanor disheveled. Georgie once asked a woman out for dinner on the condition that she tell him no, just to understand what rejection felt like. His appeal was so infectious that the government had created special laboratories to introduce vaccines in order to prevent the next worldwide plague. When his mystery will unfold itself for the lucky few, he's got one hell of an epic masterpiece that he wrote in one sitting, still sitting with his thinking cap in contemplation, as if he might have had such severe schizophrenia as to cause him to make up his entire life in his head. But in reality, only I, Ben, with my now salt and pepper perm, was just living in this mental hospital called M.T. Shasta, where Claudia still seems to work and work out, so still he still thinks of it, the whole world, at least our world, as encompassed within the universe, this universe that we can only imagine as seemingly having no end the strange mentality, smoke break, fuck it, just notes, diatribe diary notes of me, the madman, with no more protrusic prose and deep structure, I'm disgusted, I pick my nose, snorting out the snot, so fuck me for being mad, I am sorry, I am sorry once again for attempting some goddamn honesty, I'm done and wasted, without any real care or compassion, I'll see if any compassion, not ridicule, comes out as I wrote and as I write, shite, let me lose my mind, let me lose myself, and my body, spirit, and so, I've stopped, smoke break, is genius crazy no longer not yet breathe, Ben, everything is happening exactly as it should be, Ben, 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 can you hear me, I can't hear you, says Georgie, alright, then, I'll plaster the pages with the rules and randomness, random rules, it's obsession still, Ben, says Georgie, so remember to make it good, fair enough, first allow me to end the obsession, and then go deeper, into the past and shite, I write imaginary letters to Claudia as it is, so I shall not send this that I wrote, now written below, I should otherwise have written it as I see it in my head already but to myself, the re-election of Claudia Nesbitt, needing her in lighter shades of light and glitter, sun and snowfall, she is nobody, I'm a lover in nobody and of nobody, and within nobody and within the nonsense, and Georgie, she will remember you the most when it comes to the end, for you shall become another lost, literary death, we've all already known that, all along, since the first page of day one, but you're innocent, I deliver this discourse to put the necessary end to the obsession and change it up some, at some point, to innocence and honor, are you sure about that asks Georgie, watch, Ben replies, the screen is black, sizzling into silver, across dissolve, the sing-song blue silver movie, opening with a long shot of my heart bleeding out and onto the paper, then fingertips to screen, onto the electronic age, timeless, tying it all together then tearing it apart, dear Claudia, twinkle toes, you don't deserve this letter, it's obviously typed, I could get to the point quicker this way, I'm attempting to explain something painful and delicate, I told you that I loved you before, I won't deny it, I need you to understand why that is not exactly true, I meant it when I said it, but having spent this much time without a word from you, whether or not it would have been convenient or easy, I know now that what I felt was excitement, not love, 
there's a world of difference between exhilarating infatuation, which engulfed me every time I would see you, and real love, which takes time to build, which survives separations and burrows deeply into the heart. When we are apart, my feelings for you return more and more to mere fondness. The passion never truly lasted longer than our meeting, and I think that is the key to the way things are between us. This is not a romance, nor was it when the sensations were pleasant. I approved of you entirely, but were we moved wrongly by some story we told ourselves? I was crazy about you, but the love I had for you, however it showed or not, has cooled. I'm sorry about the new responsibilities in your life. You have your reasons, and I understand and acknowledge them more deeply than you might realize. Besides, you've always had a lot going on, and trying to start another relationship, and with me. What an imbalance. I am still appreciative of your warm and gentle compliments. I have lost this. Rather, I have given this back. Loving what was not, might not be, nor is, not to be mine. Yet always mind Ben first encounter with death I walk the hospital corridor at a nervous pace, in a sad and dismal search for my Uncle Eric's room, I felt a constant twitch in my left eye and a ringing in my ear that I couldn't seem to control, I was terrified not knowing, not knowing what to expect or what I would find, I couldn't think straight, fear overran my mind with tears, and sweat dripped down my forehead and face. I was in constant and conscious reflection about every step. I took time in my search. I was saying to myself, is this where he is? Am I there yet? Is that my uncle over there? Am I walking too fast? I don't know. I didn't know if he was still alive. I just didn't know. Finally, my eyes met with his, bulging out and magnified behind his thick eyeglasses. He was eating dinner, a chicken and vegetable platter. He didn't seem to be enjoying it. I offered him help in cutting the meat since his arthritis hindered most of his ability to do it himself. The man's fingernails were long and dirty. His disease also caused tons of weight loss. My best friend, another temporary best friend, my best friend not for much longer, my best friend, Uncle Eric. The few strands of hair left on his head were messy, and his ears were larger and more pronounced than in the old semi-normal days of his life and mine. Now, he's just a filthy old clown. His dry lips pushed out, his tongue dangled between them. The old man had lost all feeling in his legs, which had cracked in several places because his bones were so brittle. My first encounter with death was purely disgusting. He suddenly shouted, Milk, I am done. I want more milk. I dropped my fork. Get it. I gave him another fork and brought him more milk from a nurse. He was so rude and stubborn. How could God turn my best friend, my uncle, into such a dirty old derelict? I knew I would never see him again. Who would want to, with my uncle lying on his deathbed like a clown, eating chicken with his mouth open and eyes bulging? I wondered if I should be laughing or crying. Then tears rolled down my cheeks, and in a moment of clarity and with a slight sense of self-awareness, Uncle Eric reminded me in whispers. I'm not going to make it much longer, Ben, he drifted off to sleep as I departed, and departed from my own sense of life and reality once again. My experience with these final hours of my uncle's life taught me that sometimes people are better off dead. Who would want to live any longer in such a ridiculous state? Smoke break, showtime and yes indeed, the screen is black again. 
Having faded to red, it did blend directly into blue, but then back to black. The living, colorful sound of the mysterious telephone still haunts us, even me. It rings and rings, again and again. Blue movie or not, some sort of situation on the screen fades in. We notice and take note, longing for better bliss. We long more for Georgie to become better, to live, to be well, hoping for him to realize that I need him. I always need him, for better or worse, either way, I hope he is okay. However, the interior setting where I'm situated is on loop. This nearly palpable, possible, and probable nasty crack den, the house where Georgie's final funeral took place. Georgie remembered such remarkable, daydream delusions of all the people and all the women in his life, in all of his lives and most of mine. Everything lives on, like the city bus on which Georgie still travels now and then, where all the love and grief eternally entwine. The bus never stops, nor does Georgie's life, which I do not create, though neither Georgie's life nor mine are ever the same. Everything in our immaculate world, our world and this world, encompassed within this universe, within all its composite sketches of the entire parallel world here that only Georgie knows. Georgie knows because I have created him. I'm his God. He is mine, and nothing is perfect, so all is perfect. Imperfections are perfect just as they are here in this, our place in the dead of night, wishing for a better tomorrow, alive, a life, alone. He inhabits the nasty crack den where dim light flickers. Light illuminates the cramped living room piled high with filthy clothes and disturbing smells of stink and Claudio's perfume gone bad. Abandoned pizza boxes, crushed beer cans, half-eaten chocolate bars, and the like. He gets the picture now, bearing witness for all the cameras to capture, and yet he remains unsure. Dr. C, can you tell me why this nightmare continues? We left off in such a good enough place, at least somewhere concrete within the life inside the concrete walls where he wanders. He wonders if I'm alive. Can you tell me, silence now? Not sure if Dr. C is even there, for she had seen Georgie and I leave with our pom-pom hats in the taxi, dashing from her office. Best guess, she says, so often that it is my story, hoping things will be all right again, and in the end Georgie tells me over and over, is this the end, duck? I'm a crack addict, I am still, I am still 30, since day one, when I lost myself to struggle through the disaster. This huge mess another stockpile of the past. I should let go, so I let go and things take place and form shapes on their own, damn it. Georgie says that I'm in the middle of a self-aware, self-induced psychosis, still in search of the ringing phone so I can pick it up for once. Georgie needs to say something, anything. Hello, 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 is there anyone out there he crawls on the blank carpet. The mental institutions never have carpet. A good sign that we might not be locked up, but fuck the phone. Through my eyes, Georgie sees the troop of wax figures and mimes, whom I have seen before. This time, one is a nurse, another is a teacher, Ben, a teacher from Wakefield. She oozes out of more ashes, and we notice a construction worker, whom we hope will fix it all. They surround us, Georgie and I are frightened. I notice them too. Georgie sees them, here with them, with people, real people, and real hallucinations. 
Georgie can't stand self-awareness, even though I seem so sick and twisted, I'm Ben, they watch me, they watch Georgie, I move, he moves, they copy our movements, Georgie rummages through the pile of clothes, and the waxies mimic me again, I stumble upon an old umbrella, the phone stops ringing, thank god, I pick up the umbrella and examine it intently while the wax figures copy me, copy Georgie, synthesizing. They pick up their own umbrellas and examine them. Duplicates. Damn. Photocopy machines mass duplicating poor Georgie, and I cannot mass delete my mass of mind. The more massive it gets, the messier it makes me. Thunder booms. Lightning crackles. The room close. Rain begins falling here inside, deep inside this house. Georgie opens my umbrella and instantly he is covered in white powder. The crack, the coke, and the cola. Pop, the wax figures snap their umbrellas open wide, but none of the waxies are covered in powder, just wax. The rain spits onto the sheath held over my head, the waxen figures stare at Georgie, at my own paranoia, and then they look amongst themselves. We are as confused as they are, I wet a finger and touch the powder, bringing it up to Georgie's mouth, and I smile. Same thing with the waxies, and they dry, non-powdered. Waxy skin touches their dry, cold mouths. Not only are they confused, rather, they seem rather disappointed. Georgie realizes the waxies are real, so I must deal with them and all else now, offering my powdered hands as if to share, as if I care to share. But they back away, and the rain stops. The phone, it rings again. I'm no longer covered in the white powder that Georgie puffed, pulling himself up. He resumes his search for the frustrating phone, crawling over the piles of dirty clothes and across the discarded boxes of pizza. The waxies follow me. They follow Georgie. Come on, Georgie. I'm rooting for you, dear friend. The phone rings. It is still ringing, and I've got to do something about it. So far, there is no communication, and I'm beginning to miss, moreover need, Georgie. I can't help but leave the fucking phone. Georgie picks up one of the crushed and crumpled pizza boxes. I shake it. Something slides around inside, but the copycat waxies do not find a thing. Georgie opens mine, and revealed to him is a crumpled, crushed pack of cigarettes. At last, pulling one from the pack, I insert the ciggy in my mouth, and Georgie inhales deeply. Indeed, very deeply, as I do. The phone rings again. My past is calling Georgie's past. My memories and more of Georgie's traumatic and triumphant memories, no wonder, I wonder if Wakefield is where Georgie wakes up, I hear Dr. C telling me to talk about Georgie, and my eyes open, an imaginary substance surrounds us, it fills all space beyond the sphere of the moon, it makes all the stars and planets ethereal, Georgie stares out the window of his cross-country railroad train, observing the green grass and blue mountains, where music heightens the spirit of loneliness, of Georgie's time alone with obscure and scattered thoughts. He bobs his head rhythmically with the music, holding a pad of paper and a Mont Blanc pen, but he is not writing anything down, so I do. He wears a collared shirt and tie, and a wedding ring is wrapped around his finger. I think I'll call him Georgie Georgie Bartholomew Gust. Rose, his mother, made him, named him, laid him and created him, not me, we fade in, 
journeying through the immaculate uterus, the beating of Georgie's mother's heart becomes louder and louder, thumping to the music, then the bass line kicks in, and we move up through the lighted pathway towards the womb, there is the little foot of Georgie's fetus, which will run the root of the metaphor, my obsession in life, overlapping Rosa's heartbeat is the pitter-patter heartbeat of Georgie the fetus, more of him is revealed, there is movement, flashing with pieces of my face, faster and faster, the puzzle connecting, one might otherwise wonder who this is, Georgie wears his timeless, collarless white button-down shirt, bubbling, burping, churning, and gaseous sounds from inside, inside Rose, the occasional distant sounds of Rose, her murmur and the hospital ongoing, out there somewhere in the hospital, not a psychiatric one but a birthplace, the PA calls, and announcements alert staff, Raxies come to life as the staff of real people arrives employed to give birth to this guy called Georgie, he is, I'm years ahead, his superior, smoke break, pre-writing free writing I address the youth of the world in the name of liberty, in order to thwart the rise of repression and fascism, we must stand up to fight for what we believe in, we believe in freedom freedom of thought, freedom of action, and freedom of speech, if you believe in this, and you are prepared to help the fight, then next time it comes around, you must make it your election day, Simon Lebon just a minute, just a minute ago, my wife asked the hostess, indicating as she pointed to the back of the restaurant, could you seat us right over here the waitress lets Kelly continue, that okay she was referring to herself and me, her husband, parenthetical pet peeve, when the hostess fails to acknowledge my presence, sure thing, the hostess bubbled back, with a slight air of force formality, no bubblegum chewing in this place, this isn't KFC, after all, this particular restaurant is one of the few eateries around here here in the whole state of New Mexico that was created for the rich and the pretentious, the famous, and the infamous, back to the minute for now, our anonymous no-name tag wearing and no introduction hostess, perhaps her introduction should have been required by her, yet not important, not in the least bit, for it leaves me room to guess, to make up her entire life story in my head, and thus to fantasize about later on in my life, when I end up missing her and her life, our life, how we would have otherwise spent it together, in fantasy, up through our imaginary marriage to our ultimate divorce, the same for most of the sketches of mystery lives with other random, brief encounters such as this one, with our hostess, as she was, she is, she is as she was, a hopeful minute or moment ago, I know now that in the far future, she is still on my mind and in my life, though it is no obsession worth writing about at length, still, she could have just said sure and that's it, but sure thing that's a generational thing, possibly a specifically cultural thing, but looking back on it, I've got this feeling that she hurt others, maybe her father, maybe her mother, from whom she borrowed this kind of talk, she must have learned this use of that kind of shy talk, that talk that exhibits a kind of performance, that's how I see it, what I'm saying is that whenever an extra word is added on the main point the main word, sure plus thing equals sure thing, by plus by equals bye bye, parenthetical pet peeve. Whenever I overhear somebody on their cell phone closing the call with M-Byte gives me the willies, like fingernails down a chalkboard, 
OK plus then equals OK then, during the time that this hostess chick's parents were running things, the whole relatively healthy economy among other things, back then they had more time to kill, before the computer age, the only thing that we, now, add on to words or stick between them is the word fucking, I plus fucking plus love you equals I fucking love you, I'm so plus fucking plus in love with you equals I'm so fucking in love with you, Ms. Hostess, the hostess of all hosts in this all-American bison and duck joint, this foie gras Shangri-La, in the back, it's just a little more private, continued my wife, we sat, our feet on the floor, grounded, if you will, besides that, my life, um, my wife, she left me, abandoned me, that's why I say it was a minute ago that she said anything, or even existed nonetheless, I remember it, I remember her as it happened, as she happened to be, not as it's happening, you see, she left me with a huge financial mess, lucky that I have enough money to pay off the Willis Tower of debts she incurred, Willis Tower, she's from Chicago, I've never been there, heard it is freezing, heard my wife was cold, was frigid, and was my wife, lucky that I'm rich, even though I hate the rich, I despise them, I despise myself for being a part of them, the rich, as if part of me is Jewish, the other part Nazi, but I'm just mentally crippled, the Nazis would have had a field day with my ass, the mental cripple, cookie Jew the Nazi, I love cookies, love white chocolate chips, you can get them at Subway, but can't lose weight at the way like that Jared kid, the Subway spokesperson, did, I mean, if you eat their cookies, if you don't follow the fine print, supersize me and see what happens, so, now, we're in the present moment now, now I can start taking control of my life, and if I fuck it up, then I can, now that my wife is not here to control me, take responsibility for my actions, I am that which I think I'm, sort of a new age term, I'm that which I'm, we sat, or we sitting time, close to the wall, in the corner, I take the booth, supposed to leave the booth for the woman, but, and my wife sits on the chair, but then I think better of it and switch seats with her, so, sure, says the bubbly hostess who happens to be so good with her people skills, she is, because she makes me want to see her naked, and cuddle up with her, and tell her all of my fears and worries, we would lie, hell, we would live together on a plush red couch, I might even cry in her arms, but, that's not a problem, she says, and poor me, poor her, we might never see one another again, she'll forget about me within the hour, so, my wife and I are seated close to the wall in the corner, I do this intentionally, sitting as far as I can from reach of the waiter, so that the asshole waiter will have to extend his reach, and perhaps I can conjure up an internal laugh if he spills something or bends so far over that he slips and falls, I really just want him to have to say, excuse me, pardon my reach, and maybe I'm sorry, parenthetical pet peeve, when the menu doesn't list the prices in overpriced restaurants, I want him to call me either Sir or Mr. Screeber, as Mr. Screeber is who I'm, even at this point in my life, Georgie is still Georgie, of course, and Heidi, Claudia, Kelly, even Margaret, bloody Margaret, indeed, I'm sick of service workers, especially when they are customer service workers, and most of all these kids, 
The guys who have their little twenty-something quirks as they near the time when they are locking themselves into who they are, doing the whole college thing, maybe a little drugs and drink, maybe checking out the gay scene, even if they aren't gay, but they have friends who are gay, and they may not have gotten the chance to check out what it is like to be gay, parenthetical pet peeve, my former college suitimates, they made me feel extremely on edge, and I'm not sure why, maybe they went to public school and the community college, which, by the way, I have no problem with, I just have a problem with my peers, the people working these days are still those twenty-something swingers that I just can't stand, I cannot stand the guys around here, whether rich or poor, although most are poor, guys who watch football, they go to hooters and they are all manly, when they are hanging out with other guys, they are hanging out by their motorcycles and talking trash about women, girlfriends, even their wives, and often getting all racist, as they just hang out, they wait for some high-end blonde to walk past them, so that the guys can talk about wanting to have flocked her or fucked her, and how the pussy, her pussy was cut with an axe thus, it's unnatural appearance, that's just shite to me, and I hate my peers, I've never gotten along with them, in high school, whenever, wherever these kids are, my peers, and now I'm in my thirties, in school, they'd known of my huge creative and financial potential, as I was a big fan of Donald Trump, Mike Milken, and other billionaires, creatively, even at that age, I'd been pretty good at well, not at telling stories in a story form, but rather the way I could talk shite, and talk explicitly, so as to get a good shock out of someone, even anyone, the kids, my peers, often they'd remind me near the end of the school year, hey, don't forget about me, and say, put me in one of your movies or books, and so forth, I haven't forgotten about them, but I won't be putting them anywhere except in the conduits of my memory, people don't need me, and I don't need them, not as long as I have my big house, my staff, and my continually filled stock of microwave pizzas in the icebox, my wife and I have trouble, I have money, lots of talking money, lots of fucking money, I bet that looks fishy, it looks shitty of me to mention this, doesn't it, let me tell you, I don't want us to argue, in fact, I hate most rich people, too, yes, each and nearly all of them, my inheritance wasn't blessed the second time around, so I wouldn't worry too much, I'll suffer for you, I'll take it all in, all the bad karma I've been dropping here and there, I don't love myself, no, I love who I'm, which is not easy to do, still, this is a story, I hope, about my coming to enlightenment, maybe it's even about how I could come to love you, the junk I write, like the crap I've just installed onto the computer, it's what I call pre-writing, so that I might be able to successfully get all the crap out of the way, it's like getting all the anger out so it won't clog up inside me, and so that I can hopefully earn some respect from you, even if I still have all this hatred built up inside, I'm human, and believe it or not, I'm enlightened already, it's just that it comes in spurts, I mean, comes in squirts, parenthetical pet peeve, no one in the stock photos used in advertisements for acne even has acne, I just know they are photoshopped, I'm now more agitated than before, I've got one of those nagging little pimples on my ass, and sitting on it is just driving me nuts, I'm dying to pinch it out, the white, 
and toothpaste pass like bliss being squeezed out of a small ointment tube. Speaking of which, it is summer. This is the season for crotch rot. Luckily enough, it's not as bad as the 5-inch tear in my rectum 10 years ago when I was gang-banged by a bunch of cool dudes. They baby-duded my ass, as if I were a donkey, right in my anus. I'm due for my next colonoscopy in a few years. I fear the procedure. But I should turn out all right. Nonetheless, I'm content with everything tonight at dinner, at this uppity little surrey. Having said that, I could barely follow the hot little hostess to our table. I was clumsy, tripping over the southwest designer carpet. Must be the new meds and the PRNs, the as-needed doses. I've been taking the mind candy every hour, as needed, as I need nothing. But like I said, we've been seated. The cool waiter must have a real different, real life outside of work, probably a club goer or a football fan. I hate these types, but, hi, Mr. and Mrs. Screeber, he says. I'm Jeremy and I will be serving you this evening, I get scared. I have quite a lot of difficulty in any social arena, especially when I'm not at home. We have a huge house, a fortress. Mrs. Screeber and I are about a mile from home as we celebrate our first anniversary, dishes after dinner, my wife, Kelly, my wife, my life, Kelly, she didn't leave me. In fact, she's brought me to enlightenment, if you can believe that. She stuck with me all that time, while I journeyed on my spiritual quest. I stopped seeing doctors. I only see the psychiatrist once a month, just to check in. Upon my first meeting with this guy, after seeing 63 other doctors, he suggested the medicine. I prefer to call them my psych meds. He suggested, out of all the pills that exist for mental illness, a pill that I hadn't yet tried. Actually, Kelly came to him with the idea. Praise is to God for stopping the rain tonight for my public performance. I can tolerate all my old symptoms, so when people are watching me, they are seeing the truth about me. My new everything would be just perfect. Back in the restaurant, Kelly takes a trip to the restroom, and Jeremy comes to refill my soda pop. With some anxiety, I ask him to box up my penne pasta dinner, and looks blank. No, I tell him, everything is fine. I just feel like eating up in our room. Okay, if that's what you want, it's just that it's an unusual request. Thank you. I tend to believe I'm eccentric, I say. So, Jeremy cleans my place setting as Kelly returns to her seat. Better take the rest of your food up to the room, she says. She's used to this kind of thing, and soon enough Jeremy comes with the boxed entrees. Kelly and I take the stairs to the long, long, long hallway. We're back in the room, where I stick my dinner in the fridge and eat it cold about five minutes later. I am still sort of used to bachelor-style eating, cold pizza and microwave professionalism. That night, later on, I sit in a silent reverie of deep meditation while Kelly's in the other room watching some thriller on pay-per-view. She asks me if I feel like heading down to the hot tub. I think for a second, then I tell her, yeah, sure, I remember when I was a kid, just around the time that puberty had struck. My family and I went on one of our yearly Florida vacations. I was so young, but I knew how to make myself calm by means of ejaculating. Once the hot tub at the hotel was empty of people, or even when they did see me, but couldn't see what I was doing, 
I let the jets masturbate me while I was hunched over the side, my cock getting the water vibrations. I figure that my calming ejaculation, in such hot water, did not produce the super sperm that I was to have later in life. Oh, and condoms, of course, with that paradise. Kelly gets in the hot tub slowly, I jump right in. God, does this feel swell? I say, we melt together. There are a few children with water wings being supervised by their parents and families in the pool. When Kelly and I see, near the filter, a stubborn and solid little brown poo, we are so out of there. Like I said, Kelly might have saved me, but if there had just been no other people then we, or I, would have been just fine. By the way, no apologies would come from that kid who pooped, or any word from the parents, their feet in the water, dangling, speaking Spanish to one another. I'm probably the one who's sorry, so I meditate more that night. Then I slept, miserable that I wasn't home. I was still in this shared hotel. Kelly joins me in bed. She falls asleep within minutes. I play my meditation tapes with headphones on. Let your mind just wander off, say the gurus through my ears, and let the first thing you think of so, I think, pussy, pussy, pussy and I don't think that I'm sinning, or that I have a one-track mind, though I sort of do, or even that I'm totally masculine, male, and sex crazy. I just think of pussy a lot, especially when I'm asked not to think of monkeys I mean, pussy, pussy gets me to fall asleep, I never get to climax, not even in such deep sleep, as if I'm still 10 years old, those were perfect times, waking up to my drenched Andrews and a bow on on for sure, with Kelly behind the wheel, we drive back home, the dogs are there to greet us, they take more to Kelly since she's had them for 6 or 7 years, and I've been introduced to them only a couple of years back, parenthetical pet peeve, dog sweaters and canine clothing, ecstatic that we are now home, I noticed the lush gardens and the landscaping, the iron gates to my mind and power, the fortress that it has become at last, we have mail and packages from Amazon waiting, and the pet sitter greets us, she has taken the liberty of getting a beautiful bouquet of white tulips for us, she's still terrific, she's my assistant, and her name is Claire, she's into the industrial music scene, her culture, a rivet head, she explains, sort of I wear only black, that kind of chick, we get along great, and of course, as we had planned before, she's got an HD video camera in her hands, capturing us for our documentary, Claire captures my relief, and Kelly's relief, too, that we are now home, travel of any kind completely drains us, coming close to us with camera at her side, shooting from the hip, Claire helps Kelly and I unload our carry-on bags, I never drive, so while I'm in the garage, I start up my car for a couple of minutes so that the battery won't go out again, I smell the foliage, I get lost in it, I used to buy a better room full of dolls, yes, this might be off subject sex, mother yelled up to my room, afraid I'm shooting a gun, with my weight, they would always pop, I never told mother what I'd been doing up there in my bedroom, I later went away to a boarding school, Wakefield Academy, and mother still fails in her rummaging efforts to see what that sound had been over the summers, my secret was that I took the popped dolls to the neighbor's house where they'd been renovating, they had a huge waste dumpster near the road, 
so I buried all those dolls where no one would ever see, they didn't know what I was doing, I threw them out after it got dark, and mother slept like a dog, I never got caught, nor did I care if I did, and all away and once asleep, I considered it a job well done, Kelly and I tried to make love to following morning. I'm so not into it at 8 that I even incorporate some nose-picking sex and toe-sucking. God, she isn't too thrilled with the poker sex. Someday, she says, I'll PM you, like you want. I don't know when, but it'll have to be while we're in the shower, and three sons, I know not even to ask. I sign into the free internet porn lush and lavish fun-loving playground. So cool that she is okay with that. Lately, I've had a hard time ejaculating. Sometimes, I can't even get hard. I do what I do along with all my transgressive personality traits. I keep myself working on positive affirmations, mindfulness, and searching for my own God. Kelly has given me a freedom and a love that is unconditional. She works hard when she's working and watches my back. I search for oneness. I search for inner peace. I'm in the epilogue. Buffeted by the book, the prequel to the sequel, the prequel, Jonathan Harnish, an autobiography, where there is a tragic ending, but I survived, and try, and succeed in my own new age way, my body is an ocean of energy, and without the worries of answering the phone, reasoning, managing the household business, bill paying, or the preparing of meals, I can say that I have few responsibilities an inheritance in a small movie company that's growing slowly, and for the most part, I've let go of my past, I've come to them now, and I don't know, and now, I figure I'll disclose, or should I say open up, about the things that got me here, to the blessed, by combining transgressions, porn, and scat with the power of God, simultaneously infused within me, I've had a real realization of this contradiction, how it's brought me from the old vulgar and seething character I used to be, and how I'm that person still, the same, a person who is enlightened, yes, enlightened in every way, and still in touch with the darker side of things, I might just start with the time when my best friend I've died, or actually, I'll start when he lived, his name was Sean, and we were friends, we were utterly invincible. I might have turned into a kind of pissed off adult, swearing now and then, I can still say that I have a strong sense of nostalgia for the past, though I stay in the now, Sean and I were in the third grade together, he had the tightest, curliest brown hair, cut short so it wouldn't be all afroed out, sometimes he would let his hair grow out, I always told him it looked better that way, and that he shouldn't cut it. His mother insisted on her son maintaining his look, so that was that. After school, I'd usually either have mother drive me to his house, or I would get permission to take the bus with him back to his place, as we had different buses. I lived about five or six miles from Sean, and I could even bike there, sometimes I would be MX. Those days, we kids could go out without all the current mumbo-jumbo about sex predators, much less the fear of them parenthetical pet peeve, skateboarders, some days, an ice cream truck would pull up, we would get our jumbo pops and liquorice sticks from the ice cream lady, that ice cream lady, she always appeared to be high on some kind of drug, maybe methamphetamines, but she was pretty harmless to us, nonetheless, 
Mother never let me get ice cream from her when I was at home. Now that my wife has left me, I have begun to feel much holier about everything. The night she left, she went to a concert with her daughter and never returned home. That's when I started writing down all kinds of things, all kinds of names of transgressive sex talk. At my desk, as I was writing these things, these sexual, non-sacred things, I started to get a feel for the whole variety of new slang, which I will share with you below. First, tic sex, meaning sex with a person with Tourette's, especially black and white sex. That's when the wrong words might be said. Sausage pocket, saturated facts, love monkey, genital paste, deflated rubber sex balloons, sap canvas, damp and pickled foot skin, vagina paste, soggy white, genital waste, gas popsicles, totem pole, scrotum pole, pinita clit, my favorite shiny smooth penis helmet, stubble shaft, green and purple vein age, acorn balls, and shall I add inverted nipples, even inverted a cup tits on some old lady, roast beef pussycat with dangling pussy pink pulpy lips, pronounced outer labia, curtain pussy, dumbo ears pussy, private triangle, mosaic starfish with sauce, discreet nibble, and meat for a treat. So, from the beginning, a minute earlier, when my wife asked the hostess, could you seat us, say, right over there and I'm that still, I'm that which I'm. There were some things that I want to tell you about. I had begun to take notes based on certain dreams that I was having. I never believed in that stuff, about dreams having any meaning at all. Hell, I still don't. That's probably why I just lied to you, as Georgie is a part of me, Georgie Gust. I had stolen his little dream journal. Castaneda stole all a lot of his writing from other writers, more than 100 different other writers. Georgie had spoken of this random mental thunder, as he called it and as he wrote it, he would often talk to me about some of the shite. This was good for me, and still is good for me, as it distracts me from this bitter divorce that my wife Kelly and I are going through. I start to take Georgie's trippy little nonsensical dreams as a certain kind of learning lesson. Maybe it is just that they have fascinated me, actually quite profoundly, as I hate learning anything. In his journal, Georgie speaks of tadpoles and how he used to collect tadpoles when he was very young. He said that he always thought that tadpoles are very similar to sperm, just as they are, in that tadpoles become frogs, they become princes and princesses. Another note, Georgie often speaks of stories, as he is a literary character, and of how a good way to figure out what character to write about is to enter a birth date and a fake character's name into the computer. In return, one gets a full astrological profile, or a description of self, ready for the intro of a hero. Hero this, hero that, hero to be stupid. It's also the Las Vegas hotel room. These are my notes as a futurist arena, the end of the job not the end of work. These will have to fall into place socially and economically, if replacements occur every 30 years or so that will benefit everyone's life financially. Georgie told me to bring that coined phrase, or scenario, of that time in life when belief comes. It comes from Georgie through to me, and then from me to you. Life as a dream, with an emphasis on the constant refocusing of the eyes and all the senses, overwhelming onslaughts of beautiful and sublime arrangements in the mind. 
they become everything. This is a new stimulus for one's mind to refocus the memory and thus create our appropriate, logical reality. Like a parallel universe, while awake, we might be traveling in the car, driving alone, mentally responding to the environment, physically reacting, the full processes of moving around from the brain's conduit to the fingertips and foot on the pedal, etc. Brief things relaxed on exhalation, preset for stress and anxiety on the inhalations. We then see a sign LW, no N, mower man, lawn mower shop spelled incorrectly, missing its N like in a movie, and like living in a movie. I'm in exhale, we might realize that something was a little off in that spelling. Take a second look, still, upon exhalation, remember to double check. If it's still there, it's a lucid love parade of disease. Disease is what keeps me alive and going, like the energizer bunny. I love disease. Disease has me. Now, our hero must focus down literally. This dream must become reality, waking reality from what he, Georgie, knows about it. The street comes up. Georgie sees places where anyone he doesn't know could come up as the next street sign, while living a long life. We're constantly refocusing our perceptions to mold into a standard convention, leaving viewed reality, constantly refocusing our sense of the world. Doctors dictate our perception almost instantaneously. Also, on this side, another note, babies and infants are struggling to mold their instincts, their visualizations, and their inappropriate psychic intuitions rather than their prime positions within the collective memory. Why do we have two eyes? By the way, is it so we can all see the world in three dimensions? This still does not answer the question. All those questions, the next war, who's the next musical fad after Elvis, after John Lennon, and after Michael Jackson, Justin Bieber, etc. What's the next fad? When will the next stock market crash happen? Answer, they are all occurring simultaneously one right after another in our lifetimes, faster than history, the Ice Age, then later the Bronze Age, now the airplanes come into play, and I can see a plane just as Georgie sees it, the flight is to the 405 freeway in Los Angeles, this scene might work here pretty damn well, it is like a flight, like being high, sort of like drugs, but it's a metaphor, voiceovers and visuals, one person eating, one person daydreaming, one person sleeping, streaming, one person thinking on the can, our reader, more, more, and more people, and shite like that, that's the idea, and it goes back to childhood, with its brilliant composite sketches that I wrote whenever I could access them from the collective super subconscious mind working in the modern day, on an airplane trip, from the time of boarding and getting onto the plane, but mostly on the plane, all the passengers aboard are interconnecting with one another's thoughts and sharing daydreams with one another a reunion trip, the styles, which could be one episode, what am I talking about, nothing, the story comes first, but there is no story, there is just nothing, we also like to travel on a train or bus or plane, of course, in our own heads, but, as for that and the rest, forget about it, no matter what, the imp in the mind needs mending, and most of all careful care and a bedside manner. The same goes for what I say and think and write, parenthetical pet peeve.
parents who ask their two-year-old what he or she wants to drink while we wait and wait and wait, Ben, onwards bound, says Georgie, on to the interrogation and back with Dr. C and all, smoke break, brief intermission, lyrical-minded creation my mind suddenly becomes beyond tormenting and lyrical. Pop on your headset and listen to something uplifting. Some 80s pop music will do 70s classics are cool, too, but you don't have to be cool to listen, don't have to be cool for anything, or anyone. Put on a bulletproof vest and arm yourself with ammo and bombs, speed like demons, like me, like right now, drive to the mini mall, or better the grandest and most crowded shopping mall you can imagine. Big baby, children, do this, I hear from Georgie. Do this if you get stressed and kill them all, all the people, relax, Ben, and breathe, speak to me, take a breath in and then out, slow and easy, at ease, you are on the BBC News for your 15 minutes of fame, tell the cops that you're angry, and that you see no other way of acting on it, recall that song you heard the other day, and let it replay in that sick head of yours, over and over and over. But remember to keep your actions to yourself and in your head, especially all violent and aggressive actions. Don't really do anything. Don't go to jail. Don't go to court. Don't even bloody talk at this moment. Just think. Let your sick, twisted, perverted head think for you. Remember, you are spirit. You are one with God. Kill babies. Kill yourself in a madly intoxicating daydream. Feel all the pain that you can. And you can feel the thought pressure, feel hurt of huge cocks fill your ass, say, what, feel the penetration and feel that you don't want it, feel that it has to happen, your parents are tying you up with heavy duty black duct tape, try to escape, knowing that you can't, there's no way in bloody hell to escape, breathe, Ben, you're 10 years old, and all the torture is making you who you are, the cementing of your emotional personality. You're definitely turning into an empathic person. The emotional vampires know you're an easy target. They're the very people who selfishly screwed each other without protection, just so they could cause your trauma and association. Read the literature about it, the illness, and let it sink in that bad parenting doesn't cause schizophrenia, and that your later in life beliefs that you're famous and brilliant and plain bloody awesome are damned delusions. Let everybody take from you. Allow yourself to be manipulated so that you're never technically manipulated in the minds of the people you hate. This includes the TV and media whore Nancy Grace, Dr. Phil, and the rest. The children are the future. Curse the children. Impregnate people and make babies so that you can beat them the way your parents did to you. Take it out on them. Become an alcoholic and a crackhead in need of anger management. Blend it with your mentally ill genes the genes that caused you to be fat and diabetic and include the high-as-hell cholesterol. Smoke and chew to give you that beautiful cancer shite. It's even better if cancer runs in your family. Then get some bitch you can't stand pregnant, preferably another drug addict with some kind of personality disorder. The kid is doomed. You love it. You love being a real sicko. And again, remember to keep all the shite locked only in your head. Don't even hint to your psychiatrist that you have these thoughts. Protect them. When the bitch smiles as she sees you all curled up in the fetal position in her posh little downtown office, when she is smiling as you cry because she is happy that you are healing your depression, or whatever it is we've been dealt, 
the psychopsychiatrist sees growth. She takes note that you are healing and as she says, getting better, spit in her face and snap her neck. Tell her it's all in your head as you watch her skull dangle and her body freeze up in paralysis. Ask the shrink, demanding her to deliver details, details, details regarding why it is that she became a doctor in the first place. The curious, overconfident, nosy cunt. Tell her you can get all the info she learned in medical school off of the internet. She signs you into the ward for your break with reality. When you're released, and the doctor at home asks you how it was in the ward, take off your clothes and fuck the bitch, Ben. Come on now, get it out, they're just feelings, make her tell you all she learned in med school. She won't, she might say, good point, tell her to go to the ward herself if she's dying to know what it is like, smoke break, digging up the damned earth, parenthetical pet peeve, the past. I am still here in the psych ward, no, I mean, in my home with the cinder blocks and cement and stuff, with my electronic bracelets and monitors, I haven't been able to escape yet, but they give me day passes and things, however, I'm home, I am still at home, you see, I stand, flinching, and cover the camera lenses, one at a time, until they see nothing but blackness, I sigh, and continue speaking, Parenthetical pet peeve, the bloody psych ward, above all things, yes, yes, indeed, I am still here in the intensive treatment program at MT Shasta, fuck, this is what I call home, the bureaucratic intake nurse had given me the sheet, and after all these years, I finally look it over and still don't give a damn about it, I have had more than enough time, so if you would like to see it for yourself, that's up to you. My friend and demon the ward says welcome to the intensive treatment program of MT Shasta Hospital. We know that the decision to seek hospitalization has been difficult and may be one that you have strongly resisted. You will probably feel apprehensive at first, and we want to help ease your concerns by acquainting you with our program. We'll introduce you to the people who will be working with you and help familiarize you with the treatment process, and so forth. Bloody boring material. Smoke break, psychic sister Clara sister Clara, the psychic I see, starts, Ben, the position of the planets in the signs of the zodiac influence the character of the individual, Georgie, and perhaps you, too, since you've asked, these influences form a large part of one's individual psyche, and so, Georgie likes to discuss, and he bloody loves polemic, Ben, you know that Georgie has good judgment and is determined. That he is a worker and has lots of energy, see, Dr. C, Georgie and I have lively ensemble intelligences and boy, do we really get to the heart of things, damn right, we get it all straightened away and dig deep down, dig way deep down, hardcore and sometimes softcore but always to the core, everything stripped down naked to the truth, the bare truth, the core of cause, Georgie has quite a shite like a resolute nature, with sudden changes of instability, and he certainly does not follow through on most of his own objectives and goals in his life, even when feeling so left out, so left to his own devices without me, without Ben, sometimes seemingly alone, completely isolated and alone in the entire enterprise of his existence and non-existence while I created and narrated, this instability I might show all by itself, 
Not only in my alter ego's wish that he had a professional life like me, and so could create such chaos in his love life through my own alternating obsessions, with special attention to his muse, rather my muse and his, Claudia, Claudia Nesbitt, next door neighbor, the woman he met only once, while I met Heidi in our real and only chance encounter, full of fullness and sensuality, also Georgie's, you mean yours, Ben, his friendships and their inconsistencies, always changing like the chameleon he is, lacking control and all the while oftentimes feeling plain nervous, reserved, and conservative, is that so Ben, or are you still trying, yet again, to find out who Georgie is, then sure, says Sister Clara, Georgie could have been ambitious but perhaps stubborn, maybe both at once, his disabled, slow mind creates my own problems expressing the idea that success, if there is any, is slow, arduous work, the labor is, it's so damned laborious, none of us can ever just get down to it, duck, whatever it is, and deal with it and depart, but he, but we, we together, never the weather, we don't give up easily, we can, I can be patient if I put my mind to it through Georgie's mind, fuck, it's so fucked, what else, Ben, he, whatever, and we as for myself I believe I like to criticize and gossip and I don't mind confessing, for I, too, am frequently, almost always, fucked, almost always, it's not black or white, good or bad, blah, nervous but also of course I, me, Ben, I'm disturbed again, so I continue to write as you advised, whatever and about whenever or whatever and whether it's true or not, a, Dr. C, he, who, Georgie, he looks out too much for verbal battles, and is provoking, he is honest, reserved, circumspect, honorable, and strong-willed, quietly ambitious within the realms of the possible, he likes and takes on responsibility, he can work in the social domain, he is brave and knows how to take risks, has the courage of his convictions, is honest, imposing, and sharp, he has a great sense of and respect for justice, organizational sense, selectivity in friends, but is not influenced by them, taste for splendor, with a side dish of hanging, hovering, and numerous affectations resulting in his emotional instability and pride, as an innovator, he enjoys everything that is new and original, he values his independence and liberty of action greatly, he initiates projects, he is individualistic, idealistic, and humanitarian, likes intellectual discussions, he speaks a lot, likes to spar in writing, discussions, disputes, polemic, criticism, he scolds and declaims, words can be bitter and aggressive, he is open, loyal, correct, and honest, he is ambitious, of good character, and likes being amused, he is often in a bad mood, irritation, disagreement, rages, invests more in his interior reality than in the outside world, Georgie, 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 so blandly brilliant, the second most interesting man in the world, after yours truly, Ben, both of us are beautifully intelligent and yet semi-subtle, I adore research, inquiry, psychology, obviously, and investigation, sketching out his, whose, Georgie's, of course, Georgie's sexual situations, sensual obsessions, Georgie is damn near beyond incredibly sensual and he loves it, can't get over it.
he's into recreational activities surely, recreational drugs and junk, is that something truly recreational, Ben, yes, pleasure and games play an important part in life, but so does bringing up children, the latter are the most important things in the world for him, and he is prepared to make huge sacrifices for them. He's loaded with lots of friends and relationships in full-on phantasmal fantasies. He makes friends easily and uses his relationships to further professional success. Feelings of friendship are superficial. Lots of children creep in his head often and a desperate imp of the mind. Placing slitting images of dirty diapers in his face and under his nostrils, changing dirty diapers and smelling them, being unable not to smell them in a sickly, scat way. Fuck, I hate it. Dr. C, do you hear me? Taste for intellectual games, sports, and water sports like piss play that get in the way but require skill and fucking finesse. He is intensely curious about everything, literally, even while in love, like Ben, like Ben with Claudia, imp of the mind, again. He likes children, he is lucky enough to have many happy occasions all through life and some strong friendships, which can affect his and my, emotional life, he also makes a good marriage, sure, what a happy fucking family life this guy would get, but not to ridicule, he can maintain a good work situation, at least as she says, so she says, all the shite sister Clara from the psychic shop says, now that Georgie sees her, I see sister Clara, you do, Ben, you see her, you really see her dart yes, to get the scoop, more and more detail on my alter ego, more info on Georgie, duck, to know him as much as I can, more and more, the deeper my obsession, the closer I'm to discovering Claudia and then to getting rid of her and finalizing this life in the ward and any such life of earth, of course, all but the children because Georgie, Georgie, or you, he does, Georgie, he has got a real heart and to be honest, I do, I love the guy. If I were gay marriage proposing to somebody, actually anybody, I'd do Georgie any day and every day, gay or not. But Claudia, like anyone who is somewhat human, so to speak, after all is said and done, she devotes lots of energy to her work, which continues till a great age. She's a dedicated worker in many fields and not afraid of getting down to business when business gets down to her, especially when her business gets down to me and further to Georgie, Claudia improves Georgie's, and thus my own, living conditions, indeed, more than one might think, Claudia can easily complete long-term and arduous tasks of any kind, especially mind-fuck material, sure, I agree with Clara that she is easily excitable, and in the same vein criticizes even herself, I knew it, well, so much for psychic readings from Sister Clara when it comes down to getting the inside scoops on the gang here in our deluded worlds. I'm Ben, Benjamin J. Scriber, and I'm the author, so it all comes down on me, marvelously. But wait, Georgie and I are suddenly, intrinsically, and magically, by chance, Ben, yes, sure, we're back in the movie house with the invisible studio audience. Again, it's fantastic. The mind and the sickness is also sublime, the heart of living, colorful beauty, immaculate and perfect, just the way I like it, crazy and cool, toasted, with butter and chips on the side, inside, inside, inside a house, we all see a photo of a semi-strange, loving family, 
children, too, Ben, duck, the session's barely begun, and I need a goddamn cigarette, so unless you are cool enough to butt me in here with a cigarette in mouth and smelly smoke enter, I'll be right back, smoke break, and another, and another, time passes, Dr. C's session has been over for hours, she's gone, gone home, back to her family, whom I know zip about, nothing on her, with Dr. C, it's all about me, she's a paid professional, paid like a judge and it works well, Dr. C, you kill me, why, somehow, I sit, slipping into a world that suits me with bow and tie, parallel warping of time and space, the days back at school, the ciggy must have been laced, Ben, it could be a part of your dissociation disorders, fantastic, it's Friday, Wakefield recommences a new, a new school and old times, and so, Pops, where's Rose, Ben, is she there, too, I just did an hour of meditation, and I tried to see you on a more spiritual level, what came out of it was the following, I thought I owed you to share this, I love you, above all else, thank you, I'm grateful for all that you are, my father above all things, you have hurt my feelings by not being there for me when I have needed you the most, I am sorry, please forgive me, I love you, thank you, sincerely, maybe it starts with the first impression that I prefer to present prior to really getting to know someone, what about Georgie's outer personality and image, part of his outer personality that expresses itself is analytical, he's a perfectionist, he has a talent for organizing things, he innately knows the value of work and service, he uses his powers of discernment, integrating them into almost every area of his life in some way or another, he's quite a character, at least, that's the first impression other people get from Georgie, even within the confines of a group, he stands out as unique in some way, when all is said and done, his will is the last word, he has an unpredictable streak in him, other people find him exciting because they never know for sure what he will say or do next, Georgie can be whatever he can possibly imagine himself to be, he tends to only imagine the best, but Georgie has missed the mark more than once, he has some inner doubts about himself that make it difficult for others to pick up a strong impression of who he really is, to this day, he cultivates a firmer and firmer picture of who he really wants to be, but until then, until he finds that, people are likely to continue to find it hard to figure out the real him, this comes in handy when he needs to blend into the background, it would have come in handy if he was an actor or a spy, but he is not, his sensitive side can be like a sponge that soaks up all the woes of the world of troubled souls that attract his own inner soul, he knows it's a fine thing to want to help, he still works on learning to draw some boundaries in this regard, Georgie can be very vulnerable to getting sucked into other people's realities, he thinks and talks, he communicates, gathering, processing, and transmitting information, he uses his five senses, he reads and writes, Georgie is bright, intuitive, and able to understand unusual ideas and concepts, while open to new ideas, he is not likely to change his own opinion readily without careful consideration. He's an original thinker with an inventive and resourceful mind. He avoids traditional viewpoints and in the extreme, he has quite a reputation for eccentricity. He enjoys shocking others just for the fun of it. Georgie has an excellent memory. 
He can be quite talkative. His intellectual abilities make him an interesting conversationalist. Strange, occult disciplines often stimulate his curiosity and appeal to his need to look beyond more traditional sentiments. He enjoys literary and other intellectual pursuits as a form of recreation. Smoke break, with headset still on. Talk yourself out of these fucked up ideas and realize that they are only thoughts. Keep the knowledge alive that real freedom would be a worldwide disaster, and hope to hell that you might someday be able to act on these thoughts like one dead. For now, just continue to be a lunatic little artist in his own nutshell, and write and paint and sit to release some of your living, colorful, and beautiful chaos of the mind. Know that you are alone. Know that you are really fucked up in the head as you lie still on the couch. Nothing evil has happened, and nothing so terrible is happening. You've still got a roof over your head, and a breathtaking mountain view out that clear window. What's the difference between being single and alone in an unhealthy relationship with self and having a pathetically doomed and addictive sitcom affair between two shattered souls? The answer? Agony. One's peace of mind is even more disturbed. Okay. I have a coughing tick, a coughing tick and a big dick, big like a pickle, the coughing tick tickles, a year from the beginning, I was going to be inheriting a shite load of money, the beginning was when I met her for the first time, I was going to be one of the wealthiest 30 year olds in the world, beyond the top 1%, onslaughts of questions started brewing in my head, what girl wouldn't want me, what girl would I want, what kind of woman, I love calling them women, she's a beautiful woman it makes me feel so mature, I'm able to put a concept I love up on a pedestal, forget about me, what about the woman of my dreams, the ideal woman for me is the average plain Jane next door, but I love all women, I'm a guy, I've loved ethically, I couldn't marry because my attractions change too frequently, what am I talking about, I'm 29. I've got white hair and I'm addicted to slush puppies, I've got a sweet tooth, I feel inadequate, I'm confused, it's another identity crisis, it's me, I'm guilty of pretending who I was, who I'm, no, I'm responsible, I'm way off the point, the critics will have a ball with me, I worry too much, I love you, I hope you love me, sometimes I lie, I tell myself horrible things, I don't lie, I'm who I'm. Whatever that means, my brain's a contained blob of spaghetti, who's to say anything's definite and so precise, I think my way to fall asleep, when I'm sleeping, I lose control and my mind takes over, sometimes I have interesting dreams, often, they are plain and unoriginal, I jump out of bed right when my body convulses just before sleep mode, wanting to raid the fridge one last time, grab a smoke, and jerk off. But I can't come, so I download some sick porn and finish off, finally claiming some kind of victory until the morning. Now, my mind is on fire, popping off electric thunder in a series of spurts. Georgie tells me not to worry. I start to strangle him with excrement and chaos, but Georgie likes these things. He's a fucked up fellow, I'll say. We're agitated as all hell. I smoke as many cigarettes as I can so that Georgie might die an atrocious death. I'll remind you of this again later. For now, I'll move on, but what am I to do without you? I'm not far away. I don't know what to say without you. When we were together, it didn't matter whether we said, goodbye, 
I called you on the phone and nobody was there, but I was all alone, how you just left, my heart was really bleeding for you, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say, you left without a word, so when you come on back, maybe I should bleed and be freed without you, when I see your picture, maybe I will give it to rest, you didn't even hurt me, maybe I should hurt you back, you didn't even hurt me, it didn't really hurt me until you left, I'm not making any attempt to show off or tell some magnificent story, I am just some lonely guy, a hopeless romantic who's had his heart broken a couple of times and who strives to experience the truth in love, I guess I could choose to be somewhat poetic about all the pathetic crap in my life and try to impress the critics and fail to impress any audience, family members, etc., and prepare to have something good come out of this, but fuck, if I can't write anything entertaining then I guess that makes me just more of a suck, I already have a pretty good idea of how little I'm worth, of how little others might care about anything I do or say, but I'm better than that, my mind races and I'm often redundant, I was never trained properly to act, react, socialize, or behave, I guess I'm kind of stuck, glory untold. She came out of the blue, the silly girl in my inductive reasoning class where things aren't certain but rather probable, as usual, smoke break, with my uncle lying in his deathbed like a clown, eating chicken with his mouth open and eyes bulging, I wondered if I should be laughing or crying, then tears rolled down my cheeks when Uncle Eric, are you referring to Uncle Martin, Ben, from a very long time ago, no, that's Pops, not my uncle, so, as for Uncle Eric, he reminded me with a quiet whisper, I'm not going to make it much longer, Ben, he drifted off to sleep as I departed, my experience with these final hours of my uncle's life taught me that sometimes people are better off dead when they are face to face with it, who would want to live any longer in such a ridiculous state, smoke break, let me lose my mind, let me lose myself, and my body, spirit, and soul, I've stopped. Postscriptum prerequisite I think I might actually be crazy, after all, the My So-Called Life series has more closure than we do, in other words, Claudia, it's over, it's finally over, I'm breaking up with you, again, and again, Claudia remembers the man who never existed, she's on TV, being interviewed about Georgie Gust, I don't even know or remember how we met, I mean, we were going to school together, and I saw him around campus a lot, and he he would always do this hot thing, it used to drive me crazy, but it was fine, I mean it was alright, it was really sweet and cute, and he was funny, he was really funny, there were so many times that we would we'd have these great conversations, all this philosophy class stuff, and he would just go off constantly, I was getting into arguments with him, and I wasn't even arguing with him, and he would just go off and lose his shite and I'd, I'd just sit there and get completely confused and start crying, I never completely knew what was going on in his head, but I think that's what I loved about him the most, because I was always curious as to what was going to happen next, well, it was no secret that he basically hated his father, all he did was just bitch about him and hang up on him and wouldn't speak to him months would go by, I think a year went by, and he didn't speak to his mom at the time, but he got this check in the mail for like $150,000 and sent this letter saying, 
you know, like, thanks, but no thanks, and forever you're obeying son, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wait, you're giving it back? What are you doing? And he just he just wanted to have a relationship with his father. He didn't really he didn't really care about the money. He knew he was being oh, I don't know. His values and intentions were good, whether or not it showed. But I saw it, there was this one night when he, I think, went to that church, I forget where it exactly was, but I knew the church, I can see it in my head. But he went, and he was crying, he was pounding on the doors of this church, and then he told me something about running into this little girl, this little girl needed his help, and he was too upset with his own crap so he didn't really pay any attention, she was lost from her mother, and I think she was with a baby, he found some kind of, I don't know, an epiphany or something that night, he was alright after that, but it was like this whole thing, just banging on the church, it was just that he was mad at somebody, probably mad at his father, but he was blaming God for his Tourette's basically, or his schizophrenia, he just called it Tourette's a lot. I don't know quite why, maybe he was embarrassed about it all or something, complicated at least, but blaming God for giving him this condition and, why me and he said something like, you're my enemy, where were you when I needed you every time, yes, every time, he would go off the deep end about something, he was always threatening to kill himself and try to swallow, I think it was a whole bottle of Valium, and he knew it wasn't going to do any good. Pretty sure he just took them to swallow them, and then just threw it all up. He slept. He was pretty much comatose. He slept and slept. I think he said he hadn't slept as well in a long time as he did then. History of Sex, a derivational demo based on the first alibiography masterpiece, Fade in for History of Sex, recalling in the present tense, always in the now and then, simultaneously recapping some of Jonathan Harnish an autobiography and honing it to the second alibi, for I haven't extracted the full truth, nor my obsessions, to Kelly yet, I can hardly believe it, my train of thought leaves, putting this brief piece in place to recall to those lucky few, why lucky asks Dr. C just get on with it, will you and she laughs, Dr. C and I get along so well together these days, it astonishes me how naturally our working relationship has evolved. The invisible studio audience sits, with book in hand, as the curtains draw open, and it's showtime again, raw and uncut, as Ben likes it, therefore, as I like it, Georgie and Claudia, too. While the element of time is intentionally warped, the audience is presented with two protagonists at the opening of History of Sex. There's Ben, the narrator, who relates the stories of the awful sex education classes he sat through in middle school and his subsequent discovery of his father's collection of pornography, and then there's Georgie, a sexual submissive with a foot fetish, who is obsessed with his beautiful and manipulative next-door neighbor, Claudia. As the story progresses, however, it becomes clear that Georgie and Ben share a single, three-dimensional body. Georgie is a character in a novel Ben is writing, and Ben maintains that Georgie is in fact no more than a literary device. However, it is clear almost immediately that this is not the case. Throughout his life, Ben has received a number of psychiatric diagnoses, 
ranging from Tourette syndrome to borderline personality disorder to schizoaffective disorder, and he displays some traits of all of these. Yet, amid all these diagnoses, the one thing that seems to have slipped under the radar thus far is his tendency toward emotional dissociation, which is closely related to post-traumatic stress syndrome. It is this dissociative tendency that has led Ben to create Georgie, a safe repository for the emotions and desires primarily sexual that Ben himself is unable to process. Initially, therefore, the life of Ben and Georgie is well ordered. From the start, Ben has issues relating to women, his romantic life has been a string of broken relationships and missed opportunities, and though he needs love desperately, he finds himself overcome by fear around women. Whenever this issue arises, Ben retreats into Georgie's relationship with Claudia. Claudia is compelling, manipulative, emotionally abusive, and tremendously sensual. She controls Georgie completely, only allowing him sex at certain times, alternately telling him she loves him and that she couldn't care less about him, telling him she won't sleep with him and then inviting him to watch her sleep with other men and other women. Yet Georgie is inextricably drawn to her, accepting all of the emotional pain that comes with his relationship with her, as long as he can continue to hope that she may sleep with him again. The sex they share is gritty and fetish-laden, with strong overtones of sadomasochism and violence, and their relationship itself is sustained entirely by Georgie's obsession. But he is unable to let Claudia go. Similarly, Ben claims that Georgie's relationship with Claudia is based on his own relationship with Heidi. However, as the story progresses, we learn that Heidi is a lesbian that Ben met once some months ago when she was in town for a conference and that after one night, she left town and Ben never heard from her again. In Ben's relationship with Heidi, mirrored in his imagining of Georgie's relationship with Claudia, it is clear that his interest is not in Heidi but rather in the image of Heidi, which, in the absence of the real Heidi, Ben can mold into whatever he needs her to be. Heidi is the locus of Ben's obsession, as Claudia is the locus of Georgie's, however, the root of these obsessive tendencies lies somewhere else entirely. The root itself becomes clearer as Ben begins therapy with Dr. Christine Morales. Ben was initially put in therapy after a struggle with addiction issues and mania combined, which culminated in his attempt to hold up a bank with a cell phone he pretended was a bomb. Although Ben's participation in therapy was mandated by the police, Ben adapts to therapy quickly, beginning an honest attempt to learn the reasons for the addictions, disorders, and obsessions that are slowly killing him. But as soon as he begins to dig into these issues, he finds himself overwhelmed by the strong emotions and confusion that flood through him. It is clear there is something Ben can't bear to look at, something that has so shattered him that he has been forced to split his identity into two to keep himself feeling safe. He can't know what it is, but at the same time his work in therapy causes him first to question and then to begin to dismantle the coping techniques he's developed, his alter ego, Georgie, his addictions, his lusting after impossible women. He finds himself so conflicted that he goes off his medications entirely at one point, deliberately, as if subconsciously inducing psychosis to avoid having to face the terrifying question, what it is that makes me act this way? When he returns to his medication and emerges from the psychosis, 
he realizes he can no longer avoid confronting the true issue. His mother has been a taboo subject all these years, his relationship with her banished to a corner of his psyche he keeps securely closed down. With the help of Dr. C, he begins to process her abuse. He begins by relating the physical abuse she subjected him to, and then progresses to her emotionally abusive tendencies, but he is still strangely detached. Finally, on the brink of slipping once more into madness, he is able to remember the sexual abuse he suffered at her hands, the abuse that melded the concepts of arousal and repulsion in his brain, the abuse that left him yearning desperately for the love of a woman but unable to understand what healthy love might look like. With this knowledge, Ben can at last begin to confront his symptoms head-on and to hold out hope for a less troubled life. I am just trying to mend it in my head, so read my visual cues, my lips later, and the screen. We are suddenly dropped into Ben's subconscious guest house, and yes, as you might have guessed, we're back at the beach, in Long Beach. Boom Natata self no censor, hit send on the Twitter sphere, smoke break, lover in the nobody fade in, history of sex int, Ben's guest house, night this is New Mexico's nastiest crack den. A telephone rings and rings, dim light flickers, illuminating a cramped living room piled knee-high with dirty clothes, abandoned pizza boxes, crushed beer cans, half-eaten chocolate bars, and the like. Ben Schreiber, 30s, crack addict, stumbles through this mess, crack pipe in his mouth, searching for the ringing phone. Ben, VO, I'm Ben, I am the drug addict, a troop of zombies, including, movie director, 30s, carrying a megaphone, a jogger, 20s, wearing an Olympic-type jogging outfit, a stockbroker, 40s, dressed in Armani, Hugo Boss, and a homeless man, ageless, dressed in clothes filthier than the apartment, jerk spasmodically out of the walls and surround Ben. He seems not to notice them. They watch him and copy his movements as he rummages through a pile of clothes and discovers a closed umbrella. The phone stops ringing. Ben picks up the umbrella, examines it intently. The zombies copy Ben, pick up their own closed umbrellas, and examine them intently. Thunder booms, lightning crackles, the room close, rain begins to fall. Ben opens his umbrella, but it is shredded, and he is instantly drenched in rain. The zombies open their umbrellas, which are not shredded. They look at the umbrellas, at Ben, at themselves. They seem slightly confused. Ben takes the crack pipe from his mouth. Water pools in its bowl. He dumps out the water, tries lighting the pipe, and then, seemingly noticing the zombies for the first time, he holds the pipe in their direction, as if asking them to light it. The zombies back away. The rain stops. The phone starts ringing again. Ben, no longer wet, no longer carrying the shredded umbrella, but still with the crack pipe in his mouth, resumes his search for the phone. He crawls over the piles of dirty clothes, across the discarded pizza boxes and the rest of the garbage. The zombies, also no longer carrying umbrellas, follow behind. The phone continues to ring. Ben picks up a crushed pizza box and shakes it. Something slides around inside. The zombies pick up their own boxes and shake them. Ben opens the box to reveal a crumpled pack of cigarettes inside. Ben pulls a cigarette from the pack, lights it, and inhales deeply. The zombies do the same. 
They talk among themselves, as if at a party. Wine glasses appear in their hands. Ben, cigarette still in his hand, smiles at them, picks up a half-empty bottle of beer with cigarette butts floating inside, raises it in their direction as if toasting them and downs the beer, butts and all. The director, jogger, and stockbroker watch him, shaking their heads in disapproval. The homeless man downs his own glass of beer. Ben stretches out on the mound of dirty clothes and pizza boxes and closes his eyes. The homeless man stretches out like Ben and shuts his own eyes. The director, jogger, and stockbroker continue to look disapprovingly. Ben, breathing deeply, as if falling asleep, drops his cigarette. The homeless man drops his. The phone stops ringing. Time passes. Ben opens his eyes. The room is on fire. The homeless man and other zombies are gone. Ben, the lit cigarette back in his hand, is completely unconcerned about the burning room. He watches the fire grow larger and larger, then shrink and die out, revealing Georgie Gust, 30s, Ben's alter ego, sitting on a matching mound of dirty clothes. Georgie now holds the crack pipe in his hand. Georgie I thought you quit. Ben glances nonchalantly at the cigarette in his hand. Georgie, Conti, they'll kill you, you know. Ben inhales deeply. Georgie, Conti, emphysema, cancer, heart disease. Ben flicks the lit cigarette in Georgie's direction. Georgie, T.S. Kate Sking, stands, brushing at his clothes although the cigarette has not landed on him. Georgie, Conti, real mature there, Ben. Just burn down whatever you don't like, including me. Ben stares at Georgie for a long time. Ben it's Kelly. Georgie, incredulous, your wife. Ben my wife. Housewife Kelly, 30s, an emaciated, skin and bones, probably anorexic housewife zombie from the 1950s, wearing an apron, carrying a rolling pin, jerks into view. Georgie that's not your wife. Housewife Kelly jerks out of you and is replaced by conservative Kelly, a clone of Grace Kelly, wearing a straight skirt below her knees, an angora sweater with clip, and sensible, flat shoes. Georgie, Conti, and that's not your wife. Conservative Kelly jerks out of you and is replaced by the real Kelly, still a zombie, but kind of sexy, wearing a t-shirt and jeans. Ben stares at her for several seconds. Ben she doesn't get me, Georgie R, my wife, she doesn't understand me, Kelly flashes a year, sure look at Georgie, Georgie, Conti, it's not me, it's him, Kelly flashes the same look at Ben, Ben she doesn't get my obsession, you know, beat, she doesn't get Claudia, Claudia, poster lady for the eroticism of homeliness, old, chubby, bespectacled, pimpled, chunky, brutal and a vampire, undulates into view. Ben sighs in appreciation. Kelly lifts an eyebrow. The phone resumes ringing. Claudia notices Kelly and hisses, baring her fangs. Kelly flips her off and jerks out of view. Claudia watches Ben as he once again looks for the phone. She approaches. Georgie blocks her. She stops. Ben throws clothes from one pile to the other and pizza boxes from one end of the room to the other, as he and Georgie talk. Ben, Conti, she gets jealous. Georgie, keeping his eye on Claudia, Kelly, Ben yeah. Kelly, beat, she grills me. The stockbroker wheels a grill into view and douses charcoal lighter on it. Georgie frowns at him. 
The stockbroker wheels the grill away. The sound of the phone ringing fades but it still rings. Ben, Conti, constantly. Housewife Callie reappears, shaking the rolling pin first at Ben and then at Claudia. Georgie doesn't sound like the Callie I know. Housewife Kelly disappears, real Callie reappears, looking slightly amused. Ben and all she is, all Claudia is was is an obsession. You know, Claudia frowns and begins to fade out. Ben fingers his crotch. Ben, Conti, a goddamn good one. Claudia wavers back into view. Kelly fingers her own crotch. Georgie and what's Kelly? Jot, the movie director appears, carrying a meat cleaver. Claudia's image is clearer. Georgie, Conti, to movie director? No, the movie director disappears. Ben there was no one like Claudia. Claudia is crystal clear. Ben is practically masturbating. Kelly imitates him, but tauntingly. Claudia wavers. The phone ringing fades back in. The movie director appears and begins fondling Kelly. She responds, but she keeps looking at Ben, taunting him. Ben notices and stops fingering himself. Claudia fades out. Georgie and no one like Kelly. Ben. The phone ringing gets louder. Georgie. Conti. You don't watch out. She'll leave. Just like Claudia. Ben looks distracted. Annoyed. Georgie disappears. Ben resumes looking for the phone. It glares unbearably. As before. He throws everything in the room from one side to the other. Phone rings and blares and hollers. Ben. Holding his ears. Goddamn phone. The phone ringing morphs into a police siren. The zombies all of them, including Callie reappear. Georgie reappears, but this time, he, too, is a zombie. One by one, they slip sniper men in black gear over their costumes, and then clip guns and police batons to one another's new uniforms. Ben shrieks, not necessarily out loud, in terror as the zombies turn on him. He races away, over the clothes, the pizza boxes. Roll opening titles ext, Albuquerque Alley, Night Ben races alone through an alley lined with metal garbage cans and dumpsters, Ben, V.O., I'm Ben, I'm the mental illness, I'm that which I'm, not, each time he passes a garbage can, it falls noisily and rolls towards him, forcing him to jump over it, each time he passes a dumpster, one of the zombies pops up and points a baton at him, Ben is terrified. He races away, panting and sweating. He falls. Int. Ben's guest house. Night Ben, the crack pipe back in his mouth, lies on a pile of clothes. He is alone. The phone rings. Not so noisily. A toilet flashes in the background. Georgie walks into the room, glances at Ben, and nudges him with his foot. Ben rolls onto his side. Beneath him is the phone. Georgie picks up the receiver. Georgie, this is Ben. I'm not here. Leave a message. Int. Ben's home office. Day several home video cameras, without operators, record Ben in this cramped space, all at different angles. Ben sets the last one up, then sits at his desk. He's slightly on edge, nervous, and scratching himself silly. He speaks directly to the cameras, holding a set of remote controls, one for each camera. He often fumbles. Does he fumble with the controls or his speech? Please clarify, Ben you can see me close up, really close up, he zooms in a couple of cameras with the remotes, Ben I'm here, stuck inside this little home office, Ben addresses the camera aimed to capture the yard outside the window, Ben outside, 
It's scorching hot. I can barely breathe out there. Hell, I can barely breathe here inside. He takes his shirt off. It's a black t-shirt that says butch on the front in white lowercase letters. He rings it out, right onto the floor, as it's drenched with sweat. Georgie enters the room, taking one of the cameras off its tripod so he can shoot handheld. Ben God, right? Georgie, fucking yuck. Georgie how are you feeling? Ben itchy. My whole body itches. Georgie where? Where do you itch? Ben. Ben indicates where, as more itches surface. Light dandruff sprinkles the floor when he scratches. Ben ankles. Inside my elbows. Under my knees. My groin. Crotch. Georgie what is that stuff? Georgie examines the dropping flakes and zooms in. Ben I'm telling you. Scabs. Flakes. They're growing on me. Georgie more like you're scratching them off. Suddenly, Ben lightens up. Ben I call them creepy crawlies. Here, man. Take a look at this. Ben indicates the underside of his fingernails. Georgie lowers the camera for a second. Backs off. Georgie no. Thank you. Ben I'm fucking grossed out. Gee I'm so dirty. Georgie then take a shower. Ben, you're being way too hard on yourself. Ben but I'm just yucky. Georgie Ben. Come on, int, office bathroom, moments later as Georgie leads Ben towards the shower, Ben continues to complain, Benny's ultra blue violet boils about to burst on my thighs, I can't even close my legs right, in the shower, water off Georgie might pop the boils, huh, Ben yes, beat, is it hip, Ben seems excited by the possibility, Georgie hip, no, why, do you want it to be? Georgie helps Ben take off the rest of his clothing, revealing skin that's yellowed in places. Ben is it AIDS? Georgie no. Ben, no. It's not uncommon for a diabetic, like you are. Ben I know. I know. The lesions. Georgie, to get these lesions, as you call them. Ben but in a way, yes. In a way, I want AIDS. I want, even, cancer. Georgie that's stupid. Why? Ben so that I can go through more illness, so that I can overcome anything, maybe everything, sort of rebelling, or conforming, I don't know, Georgie pretty hard to do both at once, Georgie turns the shower water on, Ben yelps, Georgie flushes the toilet, Ben yelps harder, Ext. Ben's New Mexico estate, day the trees outside are losing their leaves, but the wilderness, the trees, everything is closing in. The tall trees block most of the view of the mountains in the distance. He's alone, shivering, with the towel around him. Georgie appears and steps closer to Ben. Georgie come on, Ben. Come on back inside now. Ben wait, I am still freezing. Ext, Rio Grande River, day Ben walks along the pathway, agitated. Georgie's got the handheld camera on Ben, capturing all his irritations. Ben still scratching himself furiously, as bugs and mosquitoes fly around. Ben see, my friend, look, mosquitoes, clit nibbling, Georgie clit nibbles, good one, you mean they're biting you, Ben my arms, my face, my ankles, a bee's nest, mosquitoes and wasps, fucking bugs out here, Georgie like I said, come on back inside, Ben fine, Georgie can't run, can't hide from anything? Can you? As they walk back, Ben is silent. Georgie you're stuck. Now come on back inside. They continue walking. Georgie puts his arm around Ben. 
Georgie, why not give us a tour of the house? Int, ext, Ben's New Mexico estate, day jump cuts from the brick hallways to the massive great room. Ben, barefoot, wearing a robe, talks directly into Georgie's camera, jumping around the house, giving a tour of its shortcomings and issues. Fast cutting moving action to the dialogue, Ben well, the walls are concrete, cinder block, 70s stuff, outside, dirt, no grass, infested with goat heads and foxtails, the goat heads, they jam into my bare feet like sharp crystal glass, Georgie you're stinky, dirty, overgrown, hairy, scarred, bare feet, look at you, Ben I know, have to pull them off, each little fucking goat head, one by one, and the dogs keep bringing them in, too. Ben lets the three dogs in from the courtyard outside, which is a door and with a fountain. Ben geez, it's 120 goddamn degrees out there. The humidity's up near 40%. So much for getting out of New York. So much for getting out of California. And moving out here, huh? Beat, so much for the suffocating morsel of love. Living in his living hell, the morsel of a person I call myself. Georgie eloquent, okay? Cut, int, Ben's New Mexico estate, de rotoscope, Ben's house seems to renovate on its own, from trash and ugliness into a truly remarkable fortress, the house and all that Ben has described negatively is now magnificent, not small and cramped and institutional, but comfortable and casual, exquisite, ext, Ben's New Mexico estate, day, time lapse, Construction workers and landscapers are hard at work remodding the house and property. Int. Ben's home office, day over hammering and drilling noise. Once again, all the cameras are aimed at Ben. Georgie puts his down on the floor. Ben hey, zoom out a little. Georgie picks up the camera again and starts shooting. Ben see the scattered papers, old dried out pens, spittoons for my smoker's tobacco, overflowing ashtrays. Fucking ciggies on the floor, ground into the already burnt and bland off-tan carpet, hotel chain style, public domain dacre, but the room is spotless, Georgie um, no, Ben okay, what else, Georgie let's finish up in here, Ben okay, Georgie puts his camera down, Georgie Ben, Ben we've got help here, Georgie where, Ben, do you realize that everything is different, everything, Ben staff, Georgie what? Ben. Ben doesn't understand. Ben staff, you know, so it's not like I'd even prepared this morning's breakfast myself. Everything's kind of done for me. It was all that Kelly and I could do for ourselves to get help. Georgie Kelly, Ben, you've changed. And Ben has, he's no longer scratching himself. He morphs into his optimal self, clean shaven, handsome, and healthy. Ben I'm telling all this stuff to you cameras. In case they ever need the cause of death, Georgie who's, Ben mine, my cause of death, that's if anyone should ever come to think about actually accessing the tapes, if anyone ever cared, Georgie no, no, Ben, you're not dying, no, you haven't changed for the worse, Ben sits, the zombies reappear, Ben yawns, Ben the cameras are a way for me to control the paranoia, Ben doesn't actually see the zombies anymore. Georgie there's no paranoia, Ben, everything's great, you remember Claudia, do you remember anything that's happened, Ben sure, Georgie do you remember the old you and Claudia and the hell she put you through, Ben Claudia, 
You mean Kelly, my wife. Georgie, do you have any clue what I've done for you? Do you remember anything? Ext, Ben's New Mexico estate. Night the full moon lies over the Sandia Mountains, where stars shine bright and twinkle. Dissolve to, Ext, Ben's New Mexico estate. Morning the sun is just coming up over the mountains. Hot air balloons float across the sky, beautiful and peaceful. Int, Dr. C's office. Another day Ben and Dr. C are in session. Ben is slightly agitated. Dr. C folds her legs. Her fuck-me pumps catch Ben's attention. She unfolds her legs and sits back. Dr. C tell me about the family. Your family? Ben, if you don't mind, I'm trying to put this all together in my head, in my notes. Ben put it this way. I've done the incestuous gig. Dr. C nods. Ext. Parking lot. Day. Later. Georgie waves from inside Ben's parked BMW. Int. Ben's BMW. Day Ben puts the car in neutral and stands on the gas. He looks directly into the camera, talking over the loud noise of the revving engine. Ben Kelly needs to come. Bad. But she hasn't let me near her coot in a long while. Suddenly, Georgie appears in the passenger seat. He's thumbing through a novel. Junkie. Blood and guts in high school sits on the floor. Georgie stressed out, no response, Ben pulls out of the mostly empty lot and does semicircles around it, there's an old Corvette parked nearby, Ben looks at it, Georgie that's probably your doctor's car, interesting to know, huh, Ben yeah, it is, I don't know why, it's interesting to know what she drives, cool, Corvette, Ben drives off, Georgie damn, I feel like jerking off to one of the tit pics I found on the internet, a nudie of the late, great transgressive writer Kathy Acker. Ben who's she, and why her, she's late, she's dead, Georgie exactly, but she reminds me of Claudia, beat, Claudia, 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 Ben but Claudia's tall, maybe, what, 5 foot 10, oh, Kathy Acker, I know who you are talking about, was Kathy Acker tall, Georgie who cares, I just love jerking one, once in a while, for Kathy Acker, and Claudia, Ben even with her double mastectomy, Georgie right, and stretch marks, isn't that fucked up, but she's nice, I'll say, Ben yeah, I like nice, Georgie me, too, I can deal with nice, cool, good fantasy, good feeling, Ben nice, I'll do it, I'll do her, Georgie you will, and in doing so, you'll train your hand for war, remember, Claudia said you'd do that, you told me she said that. Ben stops the car and removes the key from the ignition. Ben that's deep. Speaking of deep, I wonder if Kelly knows about all the longing I've felt. Just to, just to in 6th grade classroom. Yesterday 12 year old Ben sits in the front row. Mrs. Petit lectures on sex ed. She's dressed in kink attire. All the students are adults, as they would be today, some 20 years later. A couple of them are dead. Their skeletons or fresh corpses in their chairs. Mrs. Petite class, today is our first day of sex education. The class snickers. Mrs. Petite frowns, the lines across her forehead deepening. Her voice becomes clipped. Mrs. Petite before we begin, everyone present in this class will be required to say aloud the following words, without any laughter, sex, penis, vagina, breasts, beat, say, sex. The class six, Mrs. Petite okay, class, good, Ben, especially good, 
Bane penis, vagina, breasts, beat, dick, pussy, tits, cock, cunt, nominees, Ben and breast plural, I say, breast t-s-t-s-t-s, let it whistle through my teeth, Mrs. Petite let it whistle through your teeth, Ben yeah, I like it, Mrs. Petite, Mrs. Petite class, always use a condom, the class always use a condom, Ben it's classic, I will never forget, always use a condom, int, convenience store, yesterday adult Ben enters the empty store, the clerk, Randy, sits up front, with his acne scars and his 16 year old I don't give a shit posture, Ben hey, man, Randy hey, Ben I'm 18, and I'm here to buy a magazine, Randy yeah, Ben yeah, hustler, Randy yeah, right, Randy's breath hits Ben's face, and he pulls back, Randy tell you what, if you can reach hustler, you can buy it, Ben looks at the shelf, picks off a mag, Ben does, he pays for it, rolls it up, and sticks it down the front pocket of his jeans, Ben cool, thanks, Randy, see you in school, Randy dork, Ben pedals away, and away, and away, ext, tree house, yesterday a kinky tree house gang of adult children, Lonnie, Andrew, Kathy, Ben, and friends, smut posters are on the walls, Ben sits over a pail, as if he's going to poop in it, Kathy holds a pail in her arms, holding on for dear life, Kathy no, Benji, you don't make pee pee sitting down, stand up, so I can see, int, Ben's present day bedroom, yesterday adult Ben finds a packet of rubbers on his bed, his father walks in, pops always use a condom, Ben, double up if you have to, beat, I left a lifetime supply in your closet, they are pretty self-explanatory, Ben hug, pops what's your business is your business, just use them, and you use them well, Ben don't worry, pops, I will, pops no babies, and none of that hokey pokey stuff, yeah yeah, Ben hokey pokey stuff, pops leaves, Ben opens a couple of samples of the latex condoms, as well as Webster's dictionary, insert dictionary pages, latex, a milky liquid or usually white sap in certain plants, such as the poinsettia condom, a thin sheath, usually of rubber, int, childhood bedroom, yesterday Ben's grandmother, Rose, storms in while little Ben, 16, is playing Pac-Man, grandmother act like a human being, you look like a damn zombie half the time, Ben, fucking smile, be excited, you're obsessed with sex, don't dwell on sex, I found out about your sex club in the tree house, I had to take those fucking smut posters off the walls myself, don't do drugs, don't drink, don't cheat, don't pretend, don't worry about everything all the time, damn you, she storms out, Ben Jesus, Grandma, Ext, Ben's New Mexico estate, today Ben finds a letter by the front door, he opens it, reads it, Claudia, Vio, so, Ben, as you know, since my house was robbed last week, I have no products left in any of the closets. It must have been some pervert who ripped off my skins and toys, but I've changed since then, come over and see for yourself, I'm sorry for otherwise completely amputating myself from your life, I didn't have time, I require you, tonight, int, Ben's New Mexico estate, 
Moments later Ben grabs an orange jail jumpsuit and storms over to Claudio's place across the street with the cloth and cuffs in his hands and a box of rubbers clenched between his teeth. Int. Claudio's apartment, continues the door slams shut behind Ben. Ben Claudia. We finally see Claudia in all her fullness, sexy and seductive to Ben, otherwise, not your typical dream girl. In fact, not at all. She's ugly and overweight. Claudia no condom tonight, baby boy. Throw them in the fireplace before I come out. Ben sneaks a couple into his pocket and drops the box into the blaze. Finally, Claudia steps out, fully nude, to watch the sizzling of the car's board as it disappears in the fire. Claudia the fire that keeps your house warm might eventually burn it down. Ben gazes at her pale flesh. Ben you changed. You're perfect. Claudia I'm doing the best I can. The window shades are closed, as Ben and Claudia share private wilderness. Claudia lights a few beeswax candles and pushes the coffee table over to the side of the living room. Cautiously, she bends herself over and covers her eyes. She starts tripping ever so slightly onto the hard wooden floor. Ben rolls down his shorts. Two condoms are doubled up in his hand. Moments later Ben and Claudia fuck, tastefully shot. They fuck absurdly, at best. Claudia harder, deeper. Don't stop, Ben. Ben, V.O., the condoms are on, and she doesn't notice. Claudia I'm so wet. I'm so wet because of you. More fleshy friction. The sounds of a sensual circus. Claudia the clit is so important, so sensitive. Put your spit on it, hurry. Ben the taste of grapes dipped in corn syrup. That's all I can think. Claudia I'm so close. Ben, I love you. Baby, I fucking love you. Almost at the point of no return, Ben and Claudia are startled by something that abruptly ends their sex session. Claudia's personality shifts instantly. Claudia oh, great. Ben lifts himself off her, rising to the balls of his feet and squinting down on the floor. Claudia I think something popped. I think you doubled up on the pleasure I asked you to get rid of. Ben can't speak a word, shattered. All his dignity seems to be lost. Ben are you on the pill? Claudia, please say yes. She shakes her head no and smiles slightly. Ben I remember the time I told you I never wanted to see you again. She kisses her fingertip and brings it to his lips. Claudia hush. I'm not letting you go that easily. Ben I still want you. Claudia you want to never see me again. I'll be raising my baby with another woman. Ben what about me? Claudia I never really loved you like that. But I know you've fantasized about this for some time. Ben you're crazy. Ext. Coffee shop? De Georgie brings Ben a latte and Claudia a cup of tea. Claudia I can't have kids. Ben. Ben gulps. Claudia my tubes are tied. I just wanted you to be honest with me. I like you. I fucking love you. I do. Ben. I don't want to be such a crazy girl anymore. I just want simplicity. Ben turns to the camera. Ben I knew she was lying. There was no way she loved me. In a non-relationship, you can't find the balls to say it, though. Int. Pops's hotel penthouse. Yesterday Ben is in his adult form playing the role of himself as a child. Pops gets the door. A strange woman enters, Gladys, played by Claudia. Ben's watching porn on cable through the static of the television. Pops seems to pay little attention to Ben's activity. Ben leaves the TV to see who the woman is. Gladys is very happy to meet Ben. 
Pops Benjamin, this is Gladys. Gladys notices Ben's erection. Her face becomes pinched. Gladys, hi, Ben. Ben looks down at the shrinking bulge in his pants, sneaks in a touch check, and shifts to conceal it. Ben, hi. Ben and Gladys stand still, facing one another, silent. Ben notices Pops carrying Gladys's many black leather suitcases out of the entranceway and into his, or their, bedroom down the hall. Pops passes in and out of the living room with the luggage. Ben glares at Pops impotently. Pops, Ben, this is Gladys. Come on, Ben. Gladys is the famous person I was telling you about. Ben, when? Pops, what do you mean, when? Just a few minutes ago, Ben peeks over at the statuesque Gladys, but he doesn't recognize her. He's physically agitated. Gladys just stands there, as if waiting for Ben to talk to her. Ben how does one just talk to a real celebrity? Gladys just talk. She stares Ben down through her oversized, gaudy sunglasses, her head kind of tilted. Gladys Ben, start by asking me about my job. Beno. Gladys tell me you recognize me. Beno. Gladys Ben. Ben I'm sorry. You are completely unfamiliar to me. Gladys Ben. Ben I can't ask you anything. This is creepy. Gladys Ben. Ben okay. I'll try. I'll pretend. Gladys don't pretend. Ben okay? Beat. So, you're famous. Explain. Gladys well, not here in Los Angeles, but in, in some other cities. I'm, I'm sure famous. Ben. Ben that's deep. Gladys I even sign autographs if someone asks me politely. Ben get out of town? Beat. I'm nervous. Gladys why nervous? Ben I have a scrapbook. Gladys yes? Ben no. I can't hold it in anymore. Can I have your autograph? I'm asking as politely as a kid like me could ask. Gladys laughs. Ben without fucking. I am sorry. Without begging. Hey. I've already been imagining how it might look in print if I were to be its proud owner. Bless my soul. Any second from now. Might even be worth money. Gladys Shaw. Ben I'm aroused by the thought. Just plain fucking aroused down here in puberty land. From off screen. Pops calls out. Pops Benjamin. You all right in there, kiddo? Ben bend lower. Bend down for me. She bends lower to meet his gaze and smiles. Ben I miss my childhood so much. Her eyes widen slightly. Those big, puffy eyes. Gladys say please. Ben God. Is that all I have to say? Will I have to put hot fucking fudge and a big, big, big cherry on top, too? Baby? Gladys baby? Ben will I have to eat the whole Sunday for you? For you, Gladys? Beat. I'm so nervous, lady. Gladys nervous again. Ben yup. Boner here. Boner gone. Yano. Listen now. Beat. May I please have your autograph? Gladys name? Ben may I please have your autograph? Miss Crapella? Gladys yes. You may. Ben. Gladys pulls out a fancy pen from her oversized, total 80s, teal handbag and a business card from her engraved business card holder. She signs the fucking card beautifully. As Ben runs off, Ben thank you. Int. Hotel master bedroom, night, fantasy. Pops and Gladys sleep together, Ben in the middle. Int. Hotel guest bedroom suite, night Ben sleeps, half asleep, in one of the guest beds. Ben, whispering, good night, Gladys. Gladys, 
I might have just had the most influential introduction of my life to date, tonight, beat, bless my life, Lord, and let me dream of peace tonight, for she's just in the other room, with my own pops, int, Ben's bedroom, present day Ben takes a cloudy photo from the nightstand and speaks to it, Ben Georgie, Kelly, pops would never react the same way to me as he did to Gladys, it's been true ever since, is true even to this day, I'd become the invisible son with only a physical presence, I think, and I sort of became the third wheel, what's so unique about that, int, Dr. C's office, day the bed sits in Dr. C's office, Freudian style, Dr. C have you ever felt unique, Ben, special, Ben special, special Ben, not unique, and I still had a grandmother that I would have to go home to in a few days, beat, I'd later discover that Gladys and Pops had basically been married since the day I received my autograph from hell, beat, 20 years later, I've been seeing a shrink since I'm 9, I expect everybody to treat me as you people do, that I'm the focus, that I'm sick, int, Ben's New Mexico estate, day Ben's half asleep on the living room sofa, the phone rings, Ben hello, Gladys this is Gladys, Ben this is all that I know about you, and I want you more, Gladys how are you, Ben symptoms, in pain, symptoms bad, say I'm sick, Gladys you're sick, we're all sick, we're all dying, Ben, splish splash, he slams the phone back down and turns directly to the camera, Ben I jerk off to you and feel shame, feel what it might be like to fuck you, to fucking fuck you, I feel fucking shame and guilt, and I fucking feel myself, the end, Ben spits, int, Ben's kitchen, day Georgie makes himself a cup of coffee, walks around, Georgie, vo, I woke up early for once, so did Ben, ext, Rio Grande River, day it's brutally windy, Georgie walks along the water, Georgie by 8.30, I walk as Ben would walk, I walk the shoreline on my way to the convenience store to purchase a cup of coffee and a pack of smokes, now, as Ben, Ben holds onto his bright blue lampshade hat with his hand for about a block, until the local hotel screens the big ocean breeze, the seaport hotel is right on the shore, some hotel guests come out of the hotel lobby, all heading towards the convenience store across the way, int, convenience store, day Ben's the last in line at the convenience store across the street, he appears to be hearing voices in his head, but not the usual voice of Georgie, Georgie these people find better deals here, across the way from that one, two, three, four, five star hotel, better deals on both coffee and cigarettes, Ben Hush, Georgie hotel gift shops are for those in a hurry and for those who don't care much for variety or value, Ben I never shop there, guests shouldn't either, moments later Ben receives his change, medium coffee, and pack of smokes from the clerk, he tears open the fresh pack of smokes with the coffee in his other hand, ext, a different convenience store, continuous Ben comes out the door, suddenly, he fumbles and drops two quarters on the pavement, Claudia, OS, what are the chances of that, Georgie you're almost completely blind and deaf, almost completely, Ben I know, why, Georgie because, Ben, because, we're in the presence of a naturally beautiful older woman, destiny, fate, the one, Ben this usually happens to me, especially if she's wearing open toed shoes, Georgie as she is, 
Ben I'd lose my senses altogether, Georgie as you are, Ben I'm, God forbid if she's got the slightest imperfection of either character or, what's the word, Georgie physique, she's just gorgeous, Ben, shoot, here she comes, listen, Ben, can you hear her, that plain Jane, quietly rapturous voice you crave and lust for, Ben's attention is taken by Claudia, who's appeared on screen a few moments ago. She's been trying to get Ben's attention. Claudia what? Ben what? Georgie what? Ben what are the chances of what? Claudia you were just singing Hotel California. Beat, I heard you. Ben it must have been playing on the radio while I showered this morning. You were humming the melody. This is weird. Ben zippers his lips and looks down. Claudia crushes something with her heel on the pavement. Claudia yuck. I stepped in someone's gum. Ben pulls out a fresh smoke. Ben I think it's a lifesaver. She discovers that he's right. Claudia but you were singing the same song as me, weren't you? Ben I don't know. I don't remember. Georgie here she is. Ben. Here enters perplexity into our world. My life. Your life. You'll never forget all the data that your senses are collecting right here and right now. See those bright lights reflecting off the jewelry? Ben nods. Claudia notices, smiles, Georgie all this is being buried in the nostalgia depths of this imagination and memory, Claudia well, don't be embarrassed, this is amazing, Ben yeah, a vintage black Ferrari pulls into the lot with its top down, Claudia gives it no attention, Ben look, Ferrari, the male driver, 50s, gets out, heads into the store. Claudia he probably suffers from the same premature ejaculation that that car does. Ben grunts. Claudia hey, you live down on the corner of the next block. You're always smoking cigarettes out front. Am I right? Ben yeah. Probably. Maybe. Claudia I waved to you the other day, and you just turned away. Ben must have recognized the big blue hat. Then? Beat. I'm really groggy in the mornings. Claudia smiles. Claudia you really antisocial, Ben not antisocial, non-social, maybe, Claudia's face lights up, she plays with her hair, Claudia I was just on my way to get my nails done, I've been over at the seaport for the past week, it's this convention for work, god, it's so boring, Ben what's your name, Claudia Claudia, 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 what's wrong with you, Claudia is wearing a clip on name tag, she must have forgotten, Claudia what's yours, Ben Ben Scriber, Ben indicates her name tag, pointing, Ben, Conti, I was checking to see if you were a liar, I'll just call you Claudia, apparently I'm confused, Claudia smiles, Ben puts his hand out, they shake, Claudia no worries, firm grip, Mr. Scriber, Claudia giggles, int, hotel room, later as if Claudia and Ben have known each other for years. Claudia I can't believe you've never given a girl a pedicure, Ben really, I'm a virgin as far as feet and toes, feet and toes, yours are perfect, Ben looks around Claudia's hotel room, it's strewn with papers, folders, and felter pens everywhere, Claudia lights a joint, her hair is frizzy and red, wild like Ben's imagination and like his imagined hers, moments later Ben puffs away on a cigarette. Georgie try reading what she's thinking through those huge brown eyes, Ben which eye cries for good things, which one hasn't yet, Claudia huh, Ben oh nothing, I am just in the moment, an observer of myself, 
I'm not my mind, Claudia giggles, Bane-like, my mind works for me, not the other way around, Claudia sounds like you're enlightened, are you, Bane I guess, for once, normal thoughts are coming in, one after the other, it's easier to focus, I'm not busy judging, analyzing, and making decisions, I'm focused on you, am I high, Claudia I don't think so, so, what else, Bane God, you're doing drugs, Claudia, shit, who's your dealer, where are you from, what do you tell yourself when you're alone, Claudia just stuff, Bane your eyes, they give me the impression you're experiencing something profoundly empty, like you're dramatically unfulfilled somehow, with voided hope, maybe a little like me, Claudia looks right back at Ben, Claudia we just had a perfect moment, a true connection, they continue to gaze at one another as several moments pass, Ben all my needs are already being met, I'd already lived my life in many respects, Claudia bullshit about that, she takes a drag off Ben's cigarette, Ben I've had enough experiences with myself, you know, all that crap, beat, and about pops, who worked hard and provided my family with wealth, my poppy, who once meant the world to me, Claudia sits back, puts her feet up, Claudia so, are you happy, Ben I'm not sure if happiness is what I'm really after, Claudia me neither, Ben I'm trying to actualize myself as a writer, my friends and family have always wanted me to write something, to complete something, to achieve something, I didn't think it mattered anymore, Claudia why not, Ben it's like I'm too far away, in time, from when I would actively participate in things, enjoying them while they were happening, Claudia how old are you, Ben, Ben 30, Claudia me, too, the alarm clock radio is tuned to Billy Joel's An Innocent Man, Claudia finishes her joint and pockets the roach, she slips off her open-toed leather shoes, her light blue nail polish is scraped off slightly, like an adolescence, Claudia great, me and you, Ben, beat, let's just kick back together then, huh, what do you say, in fact, I need a pedicure, Mr. Totals Africa airs next on the bedside radio, Ben, singing, frightened of this thing that I've become, moments later Ben paints Claudia's toes new blue and leaves a note, thank you, Ben, watching Claudia sleep a minute in strewn clothing, Ben adds his home number below, he walks out, not really knowing what else to do, Georgie, to the Toto song, hurry, boy, she's waiting there for you, int. Ben's New Mexico estate, night the phone rings, Ben answers the courtless as he walks about, Claudia hey, Ben, I was just thinking of you, Ben it's all about me now, isn't it, I can't help it, Claudia so, where did you go, Ben, Ben I took a carefree stroll on the beach, remembering the best parts of growing up, they flooded my mind with nostalgia, I tried to remain in the present, Claudia and what was that like? Ben the moonshine lit up the sand and the white caps that were breaking 20 feet out, the tide was low, the rollers were a little choppy, but their sounds were still soothing, I remembered how rich and full my life had been before, I wondered what went wrong, I walked along the water's edge to find some inner peace, Ext, Rio Grande River, Night Ben and Claudia, the moonshine lights up the sand and white caps, the tide is low, the rollers are quiet and gentle series of cuts, Ben, walking alone near the water's edge, cigarette in mouth, he's lost in thought, taking in all that's around him, 
the white caps intensify, the gulls storming in for a meal, ext, small beach area, rural New Mexico, day the beach is empty, the sky is gray, flat, and still, it's early morning, the gulls fly low in flocks, the rollers wash in and out, Claudia voicemail I was downstairs at one of the lectures, it's so boring, but I got several compliments on my new pedicure, we are visiting the past, int, hotel room, day the room has been vacated, in the bathroom the bathtub has a towel out on the floor, crumpled up from wet feet, wet footprints, empty single serving soap bottles on the core on the shelf, a housekeeper readies the room for the next guests, Claudia voicemail so I thought you might like to know what a great job you did, and on such short notice, the telephone sits on the unmade bed, a box of tissues beside it, ext, a bridge, day a middle-aged couple walks hand in hand across the bridge, they look down at the very light traffic, there's a run-down shack to their side on the bridge, it's been closed for years, a payphone dangles off its hook, there's some litter on the ground, Claudia voicemail I'm meeting some cool people here, but a lot of them are really bored, this whole convention is really boring, only a few fishermen are out with their gear, fishing for cars at the overpass, it's still very early in the morning, an Asian man pulls up a small fish, his small son grabs the bucket, Claudia voicemail so, some of my new friends wanted to hang out by the bar and talk medicine, but I was hoping we could finish our conversation, ext, George's front porch, Ben's guest house, day it's vacant, nobody's up yet, a van drives past tossing a newspaper on the small front lawn, during the early morning route, Claudia voicemail at least before I leave tomorrow, oh, and the weather's so much nicer out here, int, Ben's bedroom, day sunlight bleeds through the closed blinds, Ben, 30, eyes closed, he's sound asleep, Claudia voicemail I was thinking about how brilliant you are, and, geez, you have so much talent, people look at you, and they see big things, the clock on the nightstand reads 10.30 a.m. Ext, Rio Grande River, day the sky has cleared up a bit, it's a little later in the day, the beach is packed with kite flyers, a dozen kites glide the coast, full of color and wonder, int, hotel room, day the hotel room is fresh and clean, ready for new guests, int, hotel lobby, day a conference is letting out, the line is out the door, guests with name tags check out of the hotel, bellboys are busier than shit with two to four bags apiece, ext, the bridge overpass, day there's dozens of fishermen, more men than fish, ext, Ben's New Mexico estate, day Ben sits on the front porch, hearing her message play in his head, Claudia voicemail what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail, I love that question, neighbors wearing light jackets walk their dogs, alley cats walk loose on the sidewalks, morning walkers converse on the corner, it seems like a friendly neighborhood, a few cars pass, some are parked on the street, Claudia voicemail grab hold of just one project, and get in there with your teeth, and see what happens, even if you don't have to, why not, Ben's house is on the corner, it is the largest house on the block with an ocean view, it takes up two units, the house and the guest house, over the garage, Claudia voicemail somebody wants a story about you, and you're the only one who knows it well enough, go for it, in the front, there's a small grassy area with exotic landscaping, 
a patio, and a white fence, made of brick. Claudia voicemail you do the world a favor, hell, do it for me, I'd love to hear about all that shit, as you call it. A small gate leads to the front door of this charming and desirable home. It's a little big for a single person, one lonely guy, like Ben. Claudia voicemail So what if your dad is some big well-to-do public figure or whatever? This is your chance to shine. Just go for it. Beat. Oh, Mexican housekeeping staff arrive in a black Ford excursion. The boss, male, Sanchez, 40s, with a ponytail. His son, Ruben. 21, wears gangster clothes, and a female assistant, Maria, 30, sweet, polite, glasses, no English at all, Claudia voicemail I have a little gift I found in the gift shop down here, it's the perfect little gift, the housekeepers park at the side of the house, near the garage, Claudia voicemail anyway, my number should have popped up on your phone, let me know what happens, the crew unloads their cleaning supplies, int. Ben's bedroom, day a clock on the nightstand reads 12 noon, Ben is a little heavy but tall, otherwise, a handsome young man, he lies in bed, looking beat, he's surrounded by piles of porno magazines and a tiny video player rolling xxx show, Ben's feet hang out of the sheets, his socks are on the nightstand, he wears long pajama pants without a shirt, revealing a soft belly, Ben leans up a little, peeks out the bedroom window through the blinds, and sees the cleaning crew unlocking the back door, about to come inside, Ben shit, he gets up out of bed, agitated, finding his glasses on the nightstand, he puts them on, takes them off, wipes them clean with his pajama pants, and puts them back on again, Ben spots the clock and turns its face away, mumbling jumbled pseudo garble to himself, he rechecks the time with his watch and two other alarm clocks in out-of-reach places. It's officially the afternoon. He twists open the blinds. Sunlight beams through them horizontally. Behind the closet door is a hotel's bathrobe. Ben wraps it around him. It's missing its waist tie. He opens his bedroom door. But Mario has beat him to it. Ben hi. Mario smiles. Mario hola. She's only a little embarrassed. She's obviously run into Ben before on worse occasions. Maria speaks in Spanish and indicates to him that she'll return at a better time. She steps away. Int. Ben's kitchen. Moments later Maria returns to the kitchen area, where Ruben is prepping the dishes and unloading the dishwasher. Maria starts mopping the tile floors. Sanchez starts the coffee machine. They speak to one another. Ruben suggests they turn on the small radio that's by the kitchen sink. It plays mariachi music. Ben stumbles in, grabs a pack of cigarettes. Ben, V.O., housekeepers are a blessing to anyone who can afford them. Int, the great room, they're a disaster. He heads out the front door to smoke on the front porch but halts for a moment, turning back. Int, Ben's bathroom, day with an unlit ciggy in his mouth. He starts the shower water running on hot, Ext Ben's front portal, day, moments later Ben is out front, trying to light his cigarette, but the lighter only sparks, he takes a fresh matchbook off the patio table and lights the whole book, then his ultra slim 120, a neighbor is walking his baby in front of Ben's property, neighbor nice day, he waves to Ben in greeting, the neighbor has dressed appropriately for the cool day, in a light windbreaker, 
Ben is still in his robe. Ben turns around and faces the house with his back to the sidewalk, his back to those participating in life. His reflection in the front window looks back at him. He's a little embarrassed, quite non-social. A delivery boy enters through the small front gate, takes Ben's local paper, and hands it to Ben with a new delivery menu from a local restaurant. He nods in greeting. A lesbian couple holding hands, mid-thirties, approaches Ben's corner with their dog. One of them starts to wave hello, but Ben has already put out his cigarette and headed back inside. Int. Ben's New Mexico estate, day the shower water is still running. Ben starts the music player outside the bathroom door. It plays the Pop Goes the 70s CD, a metal fan, from which light refracts while it's spinning, blows up at a ceiling fan, which spins slowly above the wheels of the bike. Ben passes by the running shower, which is now steaming. At the kitchen entrance, Sanchez holds a cup of coffee out for Ben. He accepts and takes it out back outside, behind the kitchen. Ext. Ben's New Mexico estate, moments later on the patio, Ben smokes and downs a shot of espresso, bobbing his head to the beat of his own song. Ben's house phone rings, he ignores it, taking another drag off his cigarette. His cell phone rings, he throws his cigarette down and runs in to try and find it but comes back out too late. The cell phone was outside the whole time, the bathroom window fogs up behind him. Ben notices and heads inside, int, Ben's bathroom, day Ben, in the shower, takes his soaked wristwatch off too late and sets it near his glasses on the toilet seat, we hear the soap drop, Ben slips and falls inside the shower, the CD player starts skipping, the water is turned off, the vacuum cleaner sucks the area rug outside, Ben peeks out for a towel, but there is none, just a couple of washcloths and toilet paper. He looks at the hairdryer, but starts to dry himself with the washcloths and toilet paper. Cut to, Ben sits on the can, no toilet tissue. He starts up the shower again. Int, Ben's kitchen, day the cleaning crew is on their lunch break in the kitchen. Mario carries a pile of clothes out back. The microwave clock reads 2 p.m. Ben turns on a light switch in the living room, but the bulb is out. He pays it no mind, he opens all the blinds in the living area and lets the sunlight burst in, in his robe. He searches for clothes in his closet and the laundry room, but they are all being washed, int, Ben's bedroom, day he tries on a few shirts and pants, but they are all too small, he starts looking for something to do, he begins rearranging things in his bedroom, he heads out back and takes out an outfit from the laundry basket, shirt, Sweatpants, socks, and shoes, all very colorful and bright. He slaps on a funky blue hat with his wild outfit. His uncleaned outfit, int. Ben's bathroom, moments later Ben sprays deodorant all over his clothed body. He brushes his teeth. The bathroom mirror has a handmade label that reads, Trust M.E. He shaves, first with an electric shaver, and then with a straight edge, without shaving lotion. Although 10 different brands of lotion are sitting on his vanity counter, he cleans a different pair of rimmed glasses for his face and heads outside, int, the great room, day the crew is cleaning and organizing, Ben joins them, int, Ben's kitchen, moments later Ben checks inside the fridge, smells the milk, and pours it out, nothing much else in there, 
The freezer is loaded with microwavable TV dinners. Bane fills a cup taken from the dishwasher with water from the empty sink, drinks it, washes the cup by hand, and then places it back into the dishwasher. Bane puts some frozen pancakes in the microwave and sets it for two minutes. Montage, Bane fantasizes washing and scrubbing, I in slow motion, an entirely overfilled sink of dishes, pots, and glasses. It's a soothing, romantic wish. End montage. Back to reality when the timer is down to two seconds remaining, Ben presses cancel stop twice, for no apparent reason. It's not like he's in a rush. Ext. Ben's front portal, day but he's back out front with a cigarette. Ext. Dirt streets, day he walks down the street, along the water, near a convenience store, along a street. Int. Convenience store, day Ben pays for a pack of smokes and a snack. Ext. Mountain View Sidewalk, day on his way back, with his hands full, he gets an idea and writes it in a small memo notebook kept in his back pocket, Ext. Ben's front portal, night Ben's walking home, his phone rings, he runs inside, but he misses the call, Ben checks the message, Claudia voicemail, hey Ben, I was just thinking of you, I was downstairs at one of the lectures, it's so boring, Ben, then, another message, Claudia, nearly in tears, sounds extremely distressed. Claudia voicemail Hey, Ben, ugh, I am just calling, I am sorry, I am just so bored at this stupid conference, I'm not going to go to this class I have in 10 minutes, I'm getting so sick of the same thing over and over again, I am just in my room taking a bath, anyway, I'm sorry to bother you, thanks for letting me vent, the phone rings again, Ben hello. Claudia on phone Ben, Ben you must look so beautiful in that bath, int, hotel master bathroom, night and she is indeed beautiful, Ben opens the door and enters, Claudia that was one of the nicest things a guy has ever said to me, series of dissolves, Ben comes onto the screen and massages her feet, he makes love, licking and sucking on Claudia's feet, Claudia moans in ecstasy, Claudia right on the arches, her feet quiver with delight, int, hotel bedroom, morning they wake up together, fully clothed, she falls back to sleep, Ben caresses her hair and then her feet and leaves, we see the nail polish bottles on the nightstand, Ben leaves a note that reads, thank you, Ben and he leaves her, ext, Ben's front portal, day Ben returns home with a coffee in his hand, he's fully ready for the day, he opens his mailbox and has a few bills, his house is in order, and he sits down to write, I'll have to begin the story with me, as ridiculous as that sounds, it's been forever since I actually sat down to write again Ben, Vio, by the end, I succeeded, it was just one of those things, I enjoyed myself and left, it was all that mattered, God probably took delight in watching his orchestration of me that day, beat, I'll call it personal growth. The next day, things were better. I never heard from or saw her again. Not for a week. He turns on the best of Elton John and resumes typing through the day without distraction. Ben's morning routine occurs in flash cuts, a routine that is reasonable, not filled with slack. Claudia voicemail high. Ext. Dirt streets. Day Ben walks back home. Ben no sex. Love. She must have thought of me as the friendly type. That's fine. I'm used to it. Beat. Poetry. 
my mind runs wild with quiet confusion, so soothing to the senses, sure I'll wake up tomorrow, thinking about today, the next day about today, I'm in love, I scoff at the thought, int, the gym, day, adult Ben is a kid, darling and Ben's grandmother, Rose, meet up in the gym cafe, darling oh, Rose, he's getting so big, Ben blushes appropriately and scuffs his toes against the tiled floor, darling and so ooh, handsome, grandmother's still a handful though, in fact, duh, that's why I have to sit this one out, Benji got himself kicked out of school again, Rose rolls her eyes, grandmother the ticks, they just don't understand them, darling oh, poor Benji, Ben blushes, his grandmother massages the base of his neck, grandmother I'll meet up with you after racquetball, darling absolutely, Rose, Ben's grandmother marches him off, int, women's locker room, continuous Ben's awestruck as he's taken inside and sees other women changing their clothes, Ben, vo, I delighted in keeping her from weighing herself, as my grandmother's weight has always been a carefully guarded secret, Ben's grandmother, her hand still gripping his neck, pulls him with her into the locker room, and pushes him down on the bench, grandmother don't move, Ben Shaw, grams, Ben grimaces at her, grandmother and stop doing that, Ben okay, Ben blinks, wraps his right arm over his head, and scratches his ear, his grandmother hurries away, Ben waits half a second, and then sneaks off after her, ducking in between the benches and rows of lockers, intent on finding out how much she weighs, int, public restroom, flashback, live action, his grandmother approaches one of those carnival scales that cost a quarter and pauses, Ben, vo, it was something I was always trying to do, even back at the house, I'd pretend I had horrible, explosive diarrhea and was just about to let loose unless she let me into the bathroom with her, right then, at that precise moment, once, I actually pushed open the door and burst in on her, her and her scale, tried to sneak a peek at it, but she shrieked, jumped off the scale, and all I saw was the needle bouncing back and forth, forth and back, so, that day in the locker room, I was intent on finding my grandmother and discovering what she weighed, in fact, I was so intent, so focused, I almost but not quite, not quite by a long shot actually, failed to realize that Darlene Crocus, in all her beauty, was standing directly in front of me, completely nude, back to, int, the gym, continuous Darlene, feeling Ben's presence, turns, catches his eye with hers and smiles, seductively, invitingly, then, she glances at the bulge in his pants, Darlene enjoying the show, she pulls her clothes on exquisitely, methodically, torturously slowly, all the while staring straight at Ben, Ben what a glorious four months from you, four months of unmitigated jerk off pleasure, Darlene Ben, when you tell Dr. C about your thing for older women and when it started, does she say anything or just kind of wrinkle her mouth, showing her crooked tooth and raising her eyebrows, she drives me crazy wondering what she's thinking, Ben, ext, funeral home, day Ben's at his own funeral, set in New Mexico's creepiest funeral home, situated in a drug-infested area of town, the voices of all his ex-girlfriends are heard over the PA, and all are present, each goes up to the casket, where Ben lies dead in the coffin, Ben looks on, ex-girlfriend one he was fine, I mean, 
He was all right. He was really sweet and really cute. Ex-girlfriend 2 He was really funny. Bennett's Judgment Day. Ex-girlfriend 3 There were so many times we would have these intense conversations, all this philosophy stuff, and he would just go off and lose his shit, and I'd just sit there and be completely confused and start crying. Ex-girlfriend 4 I never knew completely what was going on in his head. Ex-girlfriend 5 I think that's what I loved about him the most, though, his complexity. I couldn't grow bored with him easily. Ben I think of all the other broken hearts that have lived throughout time. They had so much passion, but their lives probably felt so dull. Their passion wasn't produced. It welled up inside them until the end. There's so much brilliance, work, art, epic beauty, so many diatribes, subtle moments of supreme happiness, legendary artifacts buried in basements, manuscripts in the trash, throughout the history of mankind. I try to feel important. I'm surrounded by nature. I'm not sure what it is I'm still looking for. The women continue whispering about Ben. Ex-girlfriend 6 I was always curious as to what was going to happen next. Ben I hear music, a Bach death march is played by Led Zeppelin, mixed with by Culture Club. I try to translate all that I hear into a personal love story, but all I want to do is die. One of the ex-girlfriends is an ex-boyfriend, been my funeral, held at a crack house, and the women of my dreams, they've shared with me such beautiful moments of true happiness, beat, now, they are merely delusions, Ben gasps, Ben was there really anybody even there, Georgie tried to stay alive and keep the faith, Ben, Ben okay, I'm out at the bar late, giving in to temptation, ex-boyfriend you've worried me in the last 24 hours, Ben she stayed with me when my car overheated in the rain, I want to remember this, remember her, ex-girlfriend 7 move on, ex-girlfriend 8 change, reduce the bad stuff, the rage, the blaming, the spoiled boyishness, the lying, and the violent thoughts, Ben I tried to try before it was too late, I failed to commit and follow through fully, Georgie she slid your hand away the moment you made her come with your fingers, Ben. You made love with a live person. You were in the moment. Beat, the moment's gone. Ben I lied. They lied. Georgie hey, Ben, you broke up with another woman this morning, didn't ya? Ben I had no self-respect. For the last time, at last. It was finally over. All the chaos. It's all over now. Ex-girlfriend 9 it's over. I was tearing up when you fucked me. Fucked me over. Ben I remember tearing up when the two of us made love for the first time. I thought no one else would know. Ben moves back outside now during the procession. Traffic's a mess. Fear sinks in. Ben am I still alive? I can't tell. Yup. Why? Georgie I seemed to have separated from myself. Beat. What about those news helicopters above us? Ben but I still feel like something's incomplete. Beat. Claudia. Georgie Claudia. Ben yeah, I remember Claudia more than anyone. Georgie what about Kelly? The copters fly like locusts, weaving back and forth, taking out everyone on the freeway with machine guns and rocket launchers. Ben gets out of the car and starts running away. He's the only one to escape. Georgie's left to burn, for now. The whole city is a parking lot, a massacre, a graveyard. Ben Ben? Beat. I'm lost and the whispers still linger in my head, ex-girlfriend 10, VO, 
I welcomed you into my home, felt drawn to you and your loneliness, exed, graveyards, day Ben's running around, lost, Ben I held hands with her for the first time, it's never felt the same again, I never forgot the feelings of things happening, I felt cheated, but I wasn't, ex-girlfriend 11 I don't think that either of us used the other, ex-girlfriend 12 it was a warm and loving exchange between two shattered souls, Ben I pray to be corrected, I'm meeting myself through the help of others who once fulfilled my life, ex-girlfriend 13 I'll save you, you save me, ex-girlfriend 14 you're a very intense man, and I'm much too delicate to deal with all of you, Ben when will you be ready, no answer, just playful smiles, Ben memories I've saved throughout the years, they have such a profound impact on me, I think, who am I? Who was I ex-girlfriend 15 it's been almost 3 weeks since I've seen you, and I hope you were able to maintain your goal, I must say, however, your absence from the bar is a positive sign, ex-girlfriend 16 you ran like a madman into the drugstore to get me an aspirin when I had that extraordinary headache, ex-girlfriend 17 you opened up and cried your pain to me, you made me laugh, ex-girlfriend 18 you were loving to my animals, and you didn't complain when Candy and Lolly's fur made you all stuffed up, ex-girlfriend 19 you ate my Thanksgiving dinner, you asked for seconds, ex-girlfriend 20 you said, thank you, ex-girlfriend 21 you held me, you held my hand when we walked, you gave that bum $2 for bringing back my necklace when it fell off, ex-girlfriend 22 you cleaned your bathrooms before I came over, ex-girlfriend 23 you said to me, you were the most beautiful in that bathtub, it was so beautiful, Ben there's beauty in conflict, too, in despair, things take on a new meaning, ex-girlfriend 24 but you are so many harsh and unforgiving things, and mostly to yourself, ex-girlfriend 25 so, take care, ex-girlfriend 26 I just wanted to hear your voice, ex-girlfriend 27 part of growing up is taking responsibility for what we do, Stop blaming everybody else, it's hard enough to be a parent to somebody without issues, they did the best they could, they didn't cause anything wrong, ex-girlfriend 28 I miss you, ex-girlfriend 29 whenever you need me, ex-girlfriend 30 you respected when I asked you not to call, and you didn't, ex-girlfriend 31 might you find the love and strength inside yourself, the love that I have witnessed and been grateful to receive. Might you make some realizations and take control of your life in a loving, healthy way and, like I said, make some goddamn changes, positive changes, ex-girlfriend 32 nobody is holding a gun to your head but you, ex-girlfriend 33 I'm leaving you, ex-girlfriend 34 you have hurt me profoundly, ex-girlfriend 35 verbal abuse, alcohol, yelling, gambling, harsh criticisms, humiliation, disdain, ex-girlfriend 36 on your good days, you were definitely more affectionate than usual, ex-girlfriend 37 you opened doors for me, you said things like, this is your night, ex-girlfriend 38 you are the only person I know who truly made me feel like a woman, nobody else has yet, ex-girlfriend 39 but you made me feel more miserable than happy, ex-girlfriend 40 I have confidence in myself from you, ex-girlfriend 41 do this, do that, ex-girlfriend 42 you called me bitch, 
even when we were most intimately together, ex-girlfriend for a T3 you farted on me, I couldn't believe it, ex-girlfriend for a T4 but inside, you're a sensitive and tender gentleman, where did that man go, ex-girlfriend for a T5 I just hope that the pain, sorrow, and bitterness will eventually fade away for both of us, ex-girlfriend for a T6 please let me know what you decide to do, Ben okay, deal, ext, fantasy cafe, day Ben and Georgie have coffee, we catch them mid-conversation, Ben very important detail, I didn't know what I was doing, blind ambition captivated my every thought and action, I dissolved, I made my dwelling in solitude, I would acquire what I could, personally, my character remains the same, strange and bizarre thinking mental disturbances caused my mind to suffocate, I withdrew from reality the best I knew how, Georgie you are still addicted to all of them, Claudia, too, you love a woman who can't love you back, she's got a lot of baggage, a lot like yourself, Ben she's alright, though, Ben looks at Georgie doubtfully, Claudia, as the waitress, comes to the table, Ben I guess I've changed a little, so, what did she have to say about us, Claudia we're two different people, but I'm not going anywhere, int, white room, timeless a dialogue with self, Georgie and Ben in a cloudy dream telepathy session, Ben so, this is dream telepathy, Georgie yes, Ben, you got it, Ben hey, talk to me, Georgie, I can't see you, Georgie, you have temporarily disappeared, but suddenly Georgie reappears, Georgie shakes Ben's hand, Georgie Ben, 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 that doesn't matter, Ben, listen, when did you figure out that you didn't matter, Ben that I didn't matter, as soon as I realize that if you only live once, you only die once, Georgie there's a difference, Ben yes, to live life to the fullest is to appreciate life, to have babies, babes, to trust others and to love, to work hard and play hard, to take advantage, Georgie and you don't believe in all that, Ben well, you know that saying, life's a bitch and then you die, Georgie but there are a lot of good things in life, good, sweet, a lot of sweetness to suck out of it, Ben of course, and you have to take advantage of those times and make them happen, create those scenarios, Georgie yes, Ben but what about love, the pornographic puzzle, how might I find love, at the bar, no, at work, no, I don't work, don't need to, don't want to, want to find love, Georgie maybe you should work, Ben what, Georgie work, maybe you should, Ben and be judged, paid, paid like shit, treated like a baby treats a diaper, Georgie the getting paid part shouldn't mean a thing to you, you've already got a lot of money, Ben no friends, Georgie meet them at work, Ben work, Georgie do charity work, Ben help others, I'm so selfish, and nobody's been helping me, Georgie really, Ben I've only paid for help, paid for friends, hookers, paid for everything, my means is money, I kind of want my life to just end sometimes, now, for once, sometime soon, sick, 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 I mean, I am just holding out to see if things will get any better on their own, Georgie why don't you just get out of yourself for once, Ben but myself isn't even taken care of right, how can I leave myself all by himself, Georgie faith, Ben fuck faith, faith that my shit will be smelly, it's always going to be shitty, I mean smelly, stinky, 
Georgie, why must you bring up excrement, Ben? Ben, because that's what I think of myself. I think it's funny and unavoidable. Ugly women turn me on. Georgie, good one, Ben. Ben, they're my possibilities. Georgie, what are your probabilities? Ben again, invisibility, despair, morbid melancholy, mystical terror, 18th century angst, that dull, somber depression you read about in Russian novels, moods, mood swings, and the possibility for anything to happen, Georgie Burt probably, Ben not, Georgie interesting, but what if you could change things, Ben believe me, I can't, Georgie you can't change them to your liking, Ben right. I've been trying that since the start of things, things, me, since the start of me, Georgie change yourself, change the things around you, if you can, like the serenity prayer, remember not to think too much, too hard, don't be too hard on yourself, don't be hard on Ben, you need him, respect your thoughts, got it, good, Ben don't worry, others are hard on me anyway, Georgie that's only the way you perceive it. Ben but that's why I don't matter, clutter, it makes me sadder, see, my thoughts don't matter, Georgie have you ever been butt fucked, wholesomely used, Ben no, honestly, yes, Georgie is your mind racing and wondering now, Ben yes, Georgie do you feel alone and invisible now, Ben yes, Georgie must be my fault, but why do you think I care to ask, about you, Ben because you're me. Georgie but you're not thinking my thoughts, I'm thinking yours, my dialogue is mine, it's independent of you, so I don't need to worry about editing my thoughts and things, Ben the things in my head are nothing notably unusual or of any vital importance, are they, not, Georgie they are unique to you, when you think to yourself, for example, like now, but I see what you're saying, being noticed and recognized is important, even personal achievement without others' knowledge of it is pretty worthless, Ben unless you're invisible and alone, Georgie loneliness need not bring despair, you're smiling so often in all those old photos of you, whether you're alone or with other people, and the idea of you in those photos is an independent issue, a cause with and without a reason, and with a reason, all the same, sort of existential, Ben there are images of you like the images in your imagination, so, enjoy them, smile, laugh at them, at you, for the Lord's sake, Georgie yes, I know, generally speaking, I should look for myself worth and not look against it, must be there, anyway, Ben if you can imagine so, Georgie and I can, besides, your life used to be full, but now, and as time goes on, I can sense you'll hurt easily, Ben isn't that called hopeless romanticism, beat, my mind's starting to scatter, I am sorry, I don't drink anymore, I only smoke, everything's becoming cliched, my life, me, as a metaphor, my past, what matters most, is disappearing these days, it's depressing, no, Georgie calm down, calm down, Ben, I'm curious, what do you want? Ben to be able to spend and create more of my supposed money and affluence, I'm not sure what I have, to have motivation enough to connect with another woman on a level of love and sex, that's what's most important to me, I've never been in love, reciprocated love, I've been addicted, addicted to the lie, that's all, Georgie do you love yourself, Ben hell yes, and hell no, 
depending on my mood and who I'm with and what's going on around me, Georgie what about right now, Ben now's not important, only the past is, like I said, Georgie what if now is important and the future is, too, the two of them, then what, Ben overall, no, because I don't know, Georgie if you could choose, Ben yes, Georgie why, Ben for the others, Georgie so, it's not all selfish, then, Ben it is, for the others, for me, Georgie you sound so ridiculous, Ben oh, brilliant, Georgie so, you like that about yourself, that you sound brilliant, that you are brilliant, Ben I like that I don't have to conform to public knowledge or even leave my house to figure out most of the big puzzle, it makes me different, I do, however, hate being a philosopher, the answer is so simple, that it continues on in questions and nuances are formed, theories, the answer is that there's no end to ideas, our imagination is somehow infinite, Georgie so, love, so, your lover, the next one coming, she must be different, but like you, Beno, she must like me, if she ever comes, comes, Georgie and love you, Ben I will love her, I guarantee it, Georgie are you having more external thoughts of excrement now, Ben you got it, Georgie focus, Beno, Georgie does that bother you, Beno, but I wish it did, it's a part of my condition, Georgie okay, Ben okay, no, that's not okay, Georgie right, your thoughts are not the word of God, like you wrote once, Ben right, and I got that from somewhere anyway, nothing original there, Georgie original, hey, billions of people have existed and not existed already, of course there are no more original thoughts left, human imagination has been experienced in all its fullness, for a while, it will continue that way, too, it's impossible to articulate all the thoughts one thinks, some of them you need to keep to yourself, especially when the mind's speeding, Ben but, all in all, I just can't figure myself out, there's this woman Georgie trying to figure somebody else out then, there's too much else to worry about, Ben how am I supposed to fit more figuring out in my life, Georgie I think you're scared, Ben of course I'm, Georgie because you don't know, Ben it's got to be better than this, this life, Georgie well, why don't you just wait until your next mood swing, Ben hey, come back, come back, that sucks, we're not finished, you're abandoning me, I'm abandoning me, int, Dr. C's office, day Ben sits alone, without Dr. C or anybody else, Georgie, VO, Ben, this is your brain, starting to process thoughts, images are formed, can you see them, Beno, Georgie enters, sits, reads from a blank textbook, Georgie is happiness what you're really striving for, Beno, Georgie do you know what you want, Beno, Georgie the ultimate goal is freedom, Ben the desert island disco, what music would you take with you, if you were stranded, Georgie good, Ben, next one, activities and relationships to pick and choose from, Ben okay, Georgie are you in love, Beno, yes, no, Georgie do you know what you need, Beno, Georgie what makes you feel good, Ben I don't know, Georgie do you smile sometimes because it's ethical, Ben of course, Georgie clubs and social identities you loathe preoccupy your thinking, do they take up your daily life, Ben no, I hate clubs, I hate joining things, I don't want to be a member of anything, 
Georgie, you're a lifetime member of society. What about your lifetime membership to the gym? Bennett already expired. Georgie, you have a gift. You owe it to the world. You owe it to yourself to share your talent. Ben, I always hear people telling me that. Georgie, everything seems so dramatic. Ben, yes. Georgie, you are more than stressed out. You don't have depression. You feel worse than shit. It's only the symptoms of anxiety. It's in your head. Ben, right. Georgie, you think you have too many memories and consider them symptoms of despair. Everything your senses collect is buried in the depths of nostalgia. Ben, okay. Georgie, your life seems like an insipid gathering of time in heaps. Ben, yes. Right? Georgie, others tell you you're fine. You think they are fucking with you. Ben, because they are. Georgie, you always knew you were different. So did everyone else. Ben, they did. Georgie, yes. Moving on. You take medication. You used to call it medicine. Your meds may need adjustment. It's okay now to tell others what you're on. Ben, no image yet. Georgie, you reveal yourself in deja vu so that it ends abruptly. Ben, all the time. Image for that one. My friends, I can see them. Georgie, you have a few good friends. Most good people do. All of them fail to be there for you when you need them most. They created who you are, in all your fullness. Ben, yes. They are talking to me. Telling me stuff. Georgie, they called you an old soul. You consider being brand new. Ben, a new soul. Yes. Georgie, you're constantly trying to change your life. You spend most of the time only talking about the changes you want to make. Ben, yes. Georgie, you fail to make a full commitment and follow through 100%. Ben, maybe 3%. Georgie, conform to a little popularity. Read the latest bestseller. Make sure it's a self-help book. Do the exercises they suggest. Create your day. It's that simple. Ben, I analyze everything. Georgie, you should be dating somebody else. Ben, no. Georgie, you give and take too much. Try moderation. Ben tried. Failed. I'll try better. 100%. Okay. Georgie, complain about big corporations and the government. Continue to pay them out of need. Ben, I have to. I hate that. Georgie, you leave your past behind. It starts creeping back already. Ben, it is. Already. Georgie, you think you live in a fairy tale. Ben, often. Even right this moment. Georgie, you think life is clichéd. Ben, it is. Georgie, you don't really think you'll ever die. Ben, no. I do. Georgie, you might start thinking about everything soon. Something concrete. Something hard. Something personal. I'm not talking about you. Ben and Georgie fade out of sight. Clouds and fog fill the room. Ext. Claudia's apartment. Day it's foggy outside. And Ben's really anxious. Until Claudia solidifies. And she finally exists. Georgie don't look at her. Ben I'm not. Georgie tell her of your flaws. Your fears. And your needs. Ben okay. Georgie make sure she's aware of your high maintenance personality. Ben hush. Quiet. Int. Outdoor restaurant, night Ben and Claudia are at the fusion restaurant, a sushi dinner for two, table for four, Ben I have schizophrenia, Claudia I don't mind, I'm a social worker, Ben my mind plays tricks on me, Claudia does, so does mine, Ben the score is even, before their good nights, Ben stands with her by the front door to a place, Claudia I don't want, I don't want to fuck you, Ben, just so you know. I don't want to fuck you. Ben may I touch your breasts? 
Claudino, not yet. Thanks for asking, though. Thanks, Ben. Claudia looks Ben in the eyes. Ben, Vio, was Claudia miserable, even if just slightly? Ever. Int. Ben's bedroom, day Ben plays the answering machine. Claudia answering machine Hey Ben, it's about 10.30. Anyway, I am just going to stop working and go to bed. I don't even know when you called me. Anyway, fiscal year ends, you know, of course, this week. So, there's a big push to get reports in, and charts and paperwork and audits and everything. Done. So, anyway, so, that's where I'm kind of focusing. And then after Friday, well, that should be nice. I should have a break. Anyway, I hope things are good with you. And that's it. I'll catch up with you later. Hopefully, you're having beautiful dreams right now. And, I guess good morning, as well. Probably when you'll receive this. M by, Ben's sleep deprivation, you just want the next day to come soon, having had a full night's rest. Enough is enough. Int. White room, timeless Ben is seated, facing Georgie, a long distance apart. Georgie images, modern day, a landscape of fast service, fast food, Fast cars, fast computers, fast-paced city, make a fast buck, fast recovery from illness, fast fucks, fast thoughts, fast change, lose weight fast, fast delivery, fast credit, fast college degrees, fast cleanup, fast frames, movie, surgery, plastic, buildings and condos, fast calculations and analysis, fast photo, in and out jails, Growing up fast, fast vision correction, modernization, fast product development, fast payment, meals in a bottle or bar, approval, news, life, death, Ben do I need to conform, can I be a part of the collective name, am I a member of society, have I rebelled enough yet, can this be blamed on my childhood, I should try harder to exist, life is short, I need to follow through 100%. I need to make commitments. I need to make choices. I wear my shoes without socks. I wear store brand briefs that are stained. I wake up from reality and have a two-minute meeting with my creator. I'm so cheap that way. I give an hour to my shrink. I pray to be rescued, corrected, as long as it's God's will. But my spirit has stifled naturally. I'm ashamed. I apologize for my existence. I really fucked up. Georgie how come? Kiddo, Ben the times that make me don't make me a man, so I withdraw from the realities I choose not to accept, and a recurring image of mine, an island where I become free, even in my dreams, I get stuck there, stuck in freedom, all this excess, all this all or nothing business, ext, front lawn, day Claudia walks over to confront Ben, Claudia and Ben stand apart from each other, Claudia you know what, I just don't have the time to give you. I just don't. Ben thank God. Int. Garage. Day the door opens. Ben takes in all that Claudia's said and done. He stuffs it deep inside, real hard. He's furious and hurt, like he's just gotten beaten up. After a few moments, he paces around the garage. Georgie follows him in circles, sort of playing tag. Georgie finds it funny. Ben doesn't. Ben Georgie, get in the fucking car, you fucking bitch. His image starts swimming into focus so Ben can believe he was really there. Ben fires up the car. 
He turns on the CD changer in the car as it blasts Led Zeppelin, smokes the rear wheels out of the garage. Ben and Georgie are silent and stern-eyed, as Ben runs through the stop sign at the corner. Ben have you lost it completely, they travel out of sight, Georgie, V.O., in the end, I wondered what all this meant, like I've said in the beginning, you're doing just fine, int, Dr. C's office, day Ben and Dr. C are in session, Ben, V.O., you learn when you're a writer that violence, criminal behavior, sex, and drugs, all of it, any of it, sells, and that's all I'm doing is selling Dr. C a story, hoping she buys it, Dr. C does that mean you're dishonest, Ben shakes his head, Ben not dishonest, not exactly, no, I wouldn't say that, Dr. C then what would you say, Ben, Ben now, well, I'm not exactly sure, what would you say, Dr. C, she smiles, Ben you want me to jump in, fill the silence with my own thoughts, my own impressions, he sinks into the chair, refusing to play that game, several seconds pass, several long silent seconds, Ben did I tell you my grandmother visited me in rehab, Dr. C shakes her head, Ben want me to tell you about it, Dr. C if that's what you want, Ben typical psychiatric bullshit, Dr. C doesn't react, Ben well, now, Dr. C, if I didn't want to tell you about my grandmother visiting, I wouldn't have brought it up in the first place, would I, Dr. C you sound angry, Ben, are you angry, Ben not me, uh, uh no, sir, anger is a waste, why get angry, be happy, Ben laughs, Dr. C does not join in, Ben sighs and begins his newest story, Ben my grandmother and her short, tight curly hair and her grotesque, out of shape, obese body, this is my greatest fear, that one day I'll wake up looking just like her, and then I'll have to kill myself, Dr. C smiles, Dr. C is your Georgie pattern more on yourself or more on your grandmother, Ben that's a stupid question and one I refuse to answer, Dr. C did you enjoy your grandmother's visits in rehab, Ben ha, huh? like anyone could enjoy a visit with my grandmother, Dr. C interesting, Ben what, Dr. C all of it, Ben Christ, I hate enigmatic smiles, beat, my grandmother was a firm believer in regular church attendance, she even required that I become an altar boy, why she went to church or what she thought she gained was never clear to me, she certainly didn't learn to love in church, at least not in any New Testament way, no, not my grandmother, my grandmother was quick to hit, spare the rod, spoil the child, and she brought that up when she visited me at Valley View, she sat on the side chair in my room, her legs crossed primly at the ankle, and cried, Grandmother, V.O., I just don't know what I did wrong, Benji, tell me, I'm a reasonable woman, what did I do, Dr. C and what did you tell her, Ben I think about that, I don't pretend to think, I do think, and what the hell, I don't remember, I've never remembered any of the things I told my grandmother, only the things she told me, Dr. C and what were those things, Ben stand up straight, don't slouch, be normal, stop ticksing like that, Dr. C must have been hard to do all those things, Ben it must have been, but I don't remember, I don't remember any of the things I did, did I obey, rebel, why can't I remember, why can't I fucking remember, Dr. C reaches for his hand, he pulls back, 
Ben psychiatrists who touch their patients are suspect in my book. Sorry, he gets to his feet. Ben well, Dr. C well. Same time, Tuesday. Dr. C nods. Ben I'm so out of here. Ben leaves. Int. Dr. C's office. Another day Ben and Dr. C are in session. Dr. C so, what do you want to talk about today, Ben? Ben says nothing. Dr. C you look sad today. Ben shrugs. Dr. C anything going on? Ben shakes his head, tearing up a bit. Georgie appears. Georgie tell her. Tell her. The clock ticks. Ben well, did I tell you about the jogger? Georgie not him. Dr. C nods. Dr. C the one who ran every day. Christmas, New Year's, it didn't matter, and who wore the same clothes, no matter what the weather, Georgie sinks back in despair, Ben nods, Dr. C what about him, Ben nothing about him, Dr. C did you want to talk about the jogger, Ben not really, I always thought he was doing my grandmother, Dr. C that he was her lover, Ben no, duck, just doing her, Dr. C that's interesting, Ben not really, Georgie ask her, why? Why is it interesting? Ben shifts in his chair, crosses, then uncross his legs. Ben, why? Dr. C's eyebrows rise just slightly. Dr. C, why is it interesting? Ben nods. Dr. C hesitates. Silence. The silences are killing Ben. Dr. C, well, if I'm remembering correctly, didn't you tell me that the jogger was young? A college student, I think you said. Ben nods. Ben, so what? Dr. C, well, Thinking about her age at the time, that would have made him young enough to be her son or grandson? Ben nods again. Dr. C and didn't you tell me that he ran silently? That nobody in the neighborhood even knew his name? Ben I called him Mr. Clean. The image of Dr. C's face loses color. Dr. C that's interesting to me. Ben Mr. Clean? She swallows a toad. Dr. C Mr. Clean? No. Ben. The whole thing. Int. Dr. C's office, another day only Georgie shows up at Dr. C's, he's frantic, paces, can't sit still, he's going out of his mind, crawling out of his skin, Dr. C watches him, Georgie can't stand to be watched, he avoids her eyes, swallows continuously, sniffs, ticks, hops, Dr. C you look agitated, Georgie agitated, I look like I'm from another world, that's how I look, Dr. C can you sit? Because he's so passive, so submissive, Georgie sits down immediately, but then gets back up. Georgie no, I can't. Dr. C smiles. Silence. Dr. C what's going on? Georgie going on. Nothing's going on. Everything's going on. How can I answer that? I can't. I can't decide. I can't decide what is going on, what isn't going on. I can't fucking decide. Don't ask me. The silence fucking kills Georgie, makes his head throb, int, Georgie's thoughts, continuous Georgie is having his needs and thoughts fulfilled, accordingly, Ben I need a temple massage, and someone to touch me, to love me, and there are at first one, then ten women, a hundred women who suck him, fuck him, fuck him over, ext, Burger King drive through, foggy day Ben drives up to order, Ben no, someone real. A plain Jane who works at the drive-thru. She loves me. Plain Jane, through the mic. Ben, I can see beyond what you pretend to be. Drive up so I can see you. Ben drives to the window. Plain Jane I can touch your soul. She reaches in and toots his car horn. Int. 
public restroom, continuous Ben's on one can, Georgie's on the next one, Ben real love, Georgie that's what you'll never have, Ben I'm spiraling downward, shit, my meds are at home, Georgie swallows pill after pill, bottle after bottle, Georgie peace, Ben, quieter, to himself, he needs peace, looking as if at Ben in the next stall, knocking on the wall between them, you need peace, Ben, int, Ben's bedroom, night Ben and grandmother ghost Ben shares his bedroom with demons, the lights flicker, the TV goes on and off, on and off, he can't take it, his grandmother his angel his older woman comes to him, pushes the hair off his forehead, strokes his hand, grandmother ghost you need to move, baby, Ben groans and rolls to his side, Ben I'm not going anywhere, the older woman climbs into bed with him, strokes his back, and tickles him, grandmother ghost you need to move, baby, Ben climbs out of bed, the older woman, his grandmother, his angel, his lover, is an illusion, not real, the voices in his head, her voice, so soothing, so insistent, aren't real, he brushes his teeth, and notes his reflection in the mirror, his hair is dirty, and he could use a shave, he ducks his head, spits into the sink, and straightens, his angel, his grandmother, his lover is behind him, smiling into the mirror at him, grandmother ghost this house isn't good for you, baby, she pokes the back of his head, hard, grandmother ghost I'm not an illusion, you're not going to be able to ignore me forever, Ben maybe not forever, but for as long as I need to, grandmother ghost and how long's that going to be, how in the hell is he supposed to get the voices out of his head when they can read his every thought, grandmother ghost not every voice, just me, and trust me, BJ, you need to move out of this house, it's haunted, Ben I knew it, I knew it all along, this fucking place is haunted, grandmother ghost yes, Ben, it's haunted, Ben with demons, grandmother ghost with memories, Ben I'd rather have demons, grandmother ghost who wouldn't, memories are much harder to get rid of, Ben ticks, bobbing his head to the right, then left, then forward, raises his right eyebrow, and grimaces, grandmother ghost don't like memories, do you, baby, Ben illusion, illusion, not real, still ticksing, he heads into the kitchen for a Red Bull, his illusion follows right behind, TSK ticking the entire way, grandmother ghost caffeine is the absolute worst thing for ticksing, Ben I know that, Ben sniffs hard, Ben I sniff so hard, I worry for a second that my brains are going to leak right out of my ears, damn it, he worries for a second that his brains will leak right out his ears, grandmother ghost stupid, 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 Ben shut up, grandmother ghost first, you don't have brains, you have a brain, and it won't leak out your ears from sniffling, the only way it'll leak out is if you decide to shoot yourself in the head, then, it'll leak, out your ears, out your nose, want to try, his illusion is crazier than he is, Ben John Nash gets a CIA operative for his illusion, I get a cross between Carol Kane and Sandra Bernhardt, neither of whom appeal to me and neither of whom is the least bit stable, his illusion, dressed in white gossamer, appears directly in front of him, she clears her throat, grandmother ghost what I said is, would you like to try, okay, 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 he knows she's an illusion, not real, he's on dangerous ground, the more you talk to an illusion, a hallucination, 
the stronger it gets, and still he can't help himself, the words are out of his mouth before he's had a chance to think, Ben try what, his illusion his gossamer angel hands him a blue steel, white grip point three eight. grandmother ghost blowing your head off, watching your brain leak out your nose and ears, want to, want to try, she presses the gun into his hands, grandmother ghost nobody will know, you're all alone, who's to know, Georgie, Vio, she's the devil, a demon, Ben, back up, back up, Ben does, letting the gun slip to the floor, grandmother ghost retrieves it, presses it again into his hands, and smiles, Georgie funny how you never noticed her teeth, yellow and snaggled, sharp, her teeth scare ya, huh, Ben sees her teeth, and he shudders, Georgie fight the urge to hop, first on your left foot, then the right, first left, then right, like reading, left to right, left to right, grandmother ghost he's going to hop, he's going to tick, you are, Ben, Ben no, I'm not, he does, she watches, laughing, Georgie, Vio, the teeth, the breath, they are like your grandmother's, lipstick smeared on the enamel, your grandmother scares you, she's always scared you, you still want to go home, Ben, you are home, with your angel, there's nowhere left to go, why not, why not pick up the gun, wasn't it your grandmother who always said, who always said grandmother ghost Benji, you check out, remember, check out, fast, no drugs, no hanging yourself, you jump, Benj, from the 32nd floor, the 58th floor, the penthouse, you'll never live to tell about it, then she laughs, cackles, Georgie, Vio, your grandmother was a witch, long, pointed fingers, nails filed sharp, always grabbing at you, digging into your flesh, is she dead, Lord, hear our prayer, kill her, beat, kill her so I don't have to, Ext. Rio Grande River, day 20 years ago Ben is 11, his grandmother is heavy that year, 250 pounds at least, and wears a massive, red striped bathing suit with white, gossamer cover up, she floats, bounces, and glumps into his bedroom, night after night, crying, grandmother ghost you don't know what it's like, Benji, you don't know what it's like, he loves his grandmother, and doesn't want to see her cry, he'll do whatever she needs to get her to stop, Ext. bedroom on a tropical island, day Ben sits up, the blanket slipping from his skinny, naked, 11 year old chest, his grandmother's at the end of the bed, sobbing, grandmother ghost he's leaving me, Benji, he's leaving me, Ben grandma, don't cry, please don't cry, please, she buries her head in her hands and sobs, her giant bosom heaving, Ben watches the sleeves of her nightgown slip off the shoulders, exposing the top of her breast and the massive brown areola, Ben doesn't know what to do, he's never seen his grandmother's breasts, he starts to cover her back up, but she's crying, she won't stop, grandmother ghost what'll I do, Benji, where will I go, he hates to hear his grandmother cry, it's worse than hearing his sister cry, and almost as bad as hearing Ben cry, grandmothers shouldn't cry, they should be happy, grandmother ghost he's the only man I ever loved, Benji, what am I going to do, Ben doesn't know what she's going to do, he just wishes she'd cover her breasts back up, he doesn't want to see them, he shouldn't have to see them, they're gross and too big, and scary, his grandmother's breasts are scary, 
Grandmother Ghost and the only man who ever touched me. Oh, Benji. Ben thinks about touching his grandmother, thinks about those porn mags and all those pussies, those wide open pussies, and touching his grandmother, there, fucking his grandmother, there, it's gross, Ben knows it's gross, but he's still getting a heart on, he can feel it tenting his pajama bottoms, he wishes his grandmother would leave, instead, she flops to her stomach across the bed, her hand resting on Ben's thigh, her fingers are cold, her nails sharp, Ben can feel them tattooing his skin, working their way up to his groin, massaging, moving inward to his balls, to his dick, the shaft, Ben tries to move away, but his grandmother's hand holds him tight and begins to stroke him, grandmother ghost your grandfather was the only man who ever touched me, her voice drops, grandmother ghost sexually, I mean, Ben wants his grandmother to stop, but he's paralyzed, he can't talk, can't move, even when she moves up his body, even when his grandmother's naked breasts smash against his bare chest, even when she kisses his neck, drags her tongue across his skin, down his chest to his belly to his cock, even when she takes him in her mouth, begins sucking on him, even when he comes with a shudder that overtakes his entire body, leaving him ashamed and humiliated, wishing he were dead, even then, Ben can't say a word can't move a muscle, he is dead, invisible, Ben is floating high above the world, watching his grandmother cough discreetly into her hand, depositing the prepubescent cum she's sucked from him onto her fingers, grandmother ghost oh, my, she tugs the straps of her nightgown back over her shoulders, grandmother ghost oh, my, oh, my, and Ben, still floating high above the world, doesn't know why she's saying that, why she's repeating it, why she won't leave and go back to her own room, she slides off the bed, readjusts her nightgown, flips her hair behind her ears, grandmother goes Ben, what we did right now, I don't want you thinking there was anything wrong with that, I was just giving you a bit of relief, okay, honey, still Ben can't talk, grandmother goes the thing is, though she stops, bites her lips, lowers her brow, searching for just the right word, Grandmother ghost so, okay, the thing is, some people, your dad included, don't always understand how things are between mothers and sons, grandmothers and grandsons, so, I'm not saying don't tell anyone, I am just saying you should probably be kind of careful about who you do tell, because I know you, Benji, and I know how you never want anyone to disapprove of you, beat, or be mad at you, Ben says nothing, just holds his stomach, grandmother ghost or not even talk to you anymore, Ben can't take it, he starts crying, grandmother ghost for God's sake, Benji, lighten up, she takes his nose between her fingers and twists, Ben's tears fall harder, grandmother ghost's nightgown slips from her shoulder again, and she bounces out of the room, grandmother ghost lighten up, baby, life's just too fucking short to go through it all hang dog know what I'm saying, and then she's gone, the room is quiet, and Ben thinks about her, about his grandmother, exed, Borfield, day, thought number one she goes to every single one of his little e games, int, kitchen, day, thought number two she bakes brownies from scratch, and makes sundaes out of them with Breyer's vanilla ice cream and hot fudge sauce, int, McDonald's, day, thought number three his ninth birthday, 
and his grandmother takes him and three of his friends to McDonald's, Ext, Coney Island, Day, Thought Number 4 and then over to Coney Island, Int, Home, Day, Thought Number 5 Ben remembers his grandmother, how she bandages his knees when he falls, slathers them with Bactine, then kisses them, her mouth open to suck out the germs, and then sticks colored band-aids all over them, Ben smiles, moments later back to, Int, Bedroom, Continuous Ben falls asleep deep in thought, Int, Dr. C's office, Day an extremely anxious Ben and Georgie, who sit in a corner are in session with Dr. C. Dr. C notices a change in Ben, Dr. C you look different, has something come up, Ben paces around the office, everything seems rushed and urgent, Ben oh, nothing's come up, that's not what I'd say, Ben can't talk, can't answer her, his face is flushed, his stomach's in knots, he paces more quickly, Georgie sit down, Dr. C would you like to sit, Ben, Ben sits, like he's about to faint, puts his head between his legs, Georgie strokes Ben's hair, Dr. C what is it, Ben, Ben shakes his head, Georgie leaves his hand on Ben's head, willing Ben to feel his strength, his love, Georgie you can tell her, Ben shakes his head, Ben Dr. C's part of the conspiracy, Georgie there's no conspiracy, Ben doesn't move, Dr. C can we talk about it, Ben, Georgie pushes Ben to his feet, makes him drag his chair across the room to Dr. C's chair, Georgie she's okay, Ben, she wants to help, Ben looks up, Ben I remembered something last night, Dr. C looks at him, Dr. C yes, Ben shrugs, Ben it probably wasn't anything, you know, Dr. C what did you remember? Ben sits back, Dr. C. Ben, Georgie she's okay, Ben, she likes you, Ben no, she doesn't, to Dr. C, do you like me, Dr. C of course, I like you, Ben, you're my client, Ben shakes his head, Ben no, as a person, do you like me as a person, like, if we were out in public, would you want to be my friend, Dr. C folds her legs, Dr. C I don't know, Ben, not for sure, but probably, I know I like you in here, in the office, Ben waits for more, Dr. C you're a very smart man, Ben, I like smart men, and you're a very kind man, very articulate, these are all traits I enjoy in a man, in a friend, Ben nods, wait for more, Dr. C so, I think, yes, Ben, I'd probably want to be your friend, Georgie isn't that enough, Ben it was about my grandmother, Dr. C what you remembered, Ben at first, I thought it was the demons again, I told you about the demons, Dr. C nods, Ben and the illusion, the woman, I told you about her, do you remember, Dr. C nods again, Dr. C you said it was just your luck to have a hallucination look like a cross between the only two women in the world that you find repugnant, Ben you did listen, Dr. C I always listen, Ben smiles, Ben last night, I had a realization, I realized that my illusion actually looks a lot like my grandmother, Dr. C's eyebrows go up, Ben at least last night she did, last night, she looked fat, like my grandmother, not my mother, whom I had thought, at first, I'm confused, no, it was my grandmother, my grandmother, beat, like my grandmother when I was 11, doc, Dr. C that was the year your pops left, Ben looks away, nods slightly, 
Ben the year I was diagnosed with Tourette's and schizophrenia, beat, my grandmother said I twitched, she said I wet the bed, Dr. C did you, Ben shrugs, Ben I don't remember, maybe, but last night, what I realized was that my illusion really is a demon, not like one you see in Hollywood movies or shit like that, but the kind of demon that can send you right to hell, you know what I mean, Dr. C leans in. Dr. C why don't you tell me, Ben okay, hell on earth, that's what I'm talking about, that's what I've been talking about all the time, Dr. C like your metaphor, Ben she's not a demon, she's my memory, she's the person who put me in hell, Dr. C your grandmother, Ben nods, looks down at the ground, tears welling up in his eyes, Dr. C what she do, Ben, he shakes his head, he can't tell. Dr. C will go away if he tells, she'll think he's crazy, not worth anything. Ben, to Georgie, she'll think I'm crazy and leave me. Georgie strokes Ben's head, puts his finger beneath his chin, tilts it upward. Dr. C did she hurt you? Ben, Georgie looks at Ben. Ben she raped me. I mean, that's not what she would have called it, but that's what it was. Like all those dykes and women liber bitches say. If she can't say no, then it's rape, and I couldn't say no, Dr. C to the sex, Ben that's what it was, it was rape, he lifts his head off his own accord, Ben she did, she raped me, my grandmother, she went down on me, she jerked me off, private lessons, she called it, said I was lucky, that it wasn't many sons whose mothers made time for them like that, who taught them what a real woman wanted, needed, Georgie shudders, fighting tears, Ben the only thing she wouldn't do was intercourse, she didn't want her son getting her pregnant, Ben laughs bitterly, Ben said she couldn't run the risk of giving birth to anyone more screwed up than me, Dr. C rises and crosses the room to sit next to Ben, she takes him in her arms as he cries hard, for the last time, draining his soul, pouring all that he'd pent up inside, the downpour of heavy tears, Dr. C it's time, Ben, it's time to cry, let it out, let it out, Ben, Vio, things would never be the same, they say relationships like this never last, Georgie watches them, Ben, Vio, judgments aside, the living, colorful beauty is remarkable, beat, regardless of anybody, regardless of Claudia or Kelly or grandmother or Ben, and regardless of the musing Gladys, or rather the muse of Claudia the muse she's been for me, beat, I still sit here in the house, here in New Mexico, and concern myself with my own death, int, Ben's New Mexico estate, day the music of Anaya and Annie Lennox resonate through the room, Ben aside from that Kelly walks in, something about her seems unreal, angelic clothing, a bridal veil, she never makes physical contact with Ben, seems rather distant, her voice almost echoes, Kelly hey, let me read you something I wrote this morning, K, Ben nods, Kelly you are the sweetest man alive, and I thank God every day that you have come into my life, beat, thank you for the flowers, the orchids, the bonsai tree and the fickers, they are so alive, like our relationship, beat, I love you very, very much Kelly, Ben Kelly, I want to hold your hand, even if it's just for the one second that you'd want to hold it. If you don't give up on me, then I hope that you'll just do nothing different, except just to help me realize just how bad I'm, 
because I need to really surrender to that. Beat, I see me in you, and I can't stand it. Beat, what should I do? Should I let myself die? Kelly, I don't want to die. Ext, front lawn, day Ben's walking around, lost in thought. Kelly, VO, dearest Ben, there's absolutely no reason to apologize for anything. I think you're pretty awesome. You're the hugest and most adored part of me that I can imagine. Kelly, Ben's sweat starts to disappear. He doesn't itch anymore. His skin has cleared up a bit, and Ben I feel a flash of heat on my face, like the sun hit me. I can feel my blood flow. I'm not entirely invisible, not entirely finished yet. I feel like maybe something's happening. Beat, and no Georgie, int, psychic shop, day Ben steps inside. Ben Clara, what's happening? Clara removes a tiny meat spiral binder from a small paper bag lying on the flimsy, cloth-covered reading table between them. Clara Ben, to put it simply, I was in the middle of a meditation, and I'm aware that we've never really even been properly introduced, but I started writing down, drawing, what I was seeing, and I couldn't bear to let this go by without witness. Ben really, Ben's not impressed by anything yet, until she opens the first page of her little red notebook. Clara you know who came into my meditation? Whose soul came into my meditation? Ben Kelly? Clara Kelly? No. Ben then who? She takes a long breath. Clara you did. Ben. Clara takes out the red meat notebook. Clara this is you, Ben. Not Georgie. This is you and your grandmother, your real grandmother. Not your aunt, your mother. Ben, V.O. And I could see what Clara had drawn, a precious little boy. I mean an infant boy, with a little penis. Two, and the grandmother was holding the little boy, me, the baby, by the dick, only by the fucking dick, this woman, my own grandmother, was torturing me, how could I remember this, what the fuck, I thought, and Clara started flipping the field in pages, a whole notebook of sick and demented art, of me and my grandmother, and then me together with my aunt, and then my teachers from what appeared to be nursery school. Even the nanny from Trinidad who was supposed to be taking care of me. Separately, they are all performing very disturbing acts of violence and aggression on my innocent, infantile genitals. In one of them, a nurse of some kind, who appears to have the same skin tone as the nanny, she and the nanny are the same person. She was performing medical procedures on my skin, in the private areas, healing, stitching up, and bandaging my bottom and my little baby cock. Clara explained, this was so that you wouldn't know later on in your lifetime. You might have a subconscious memory now and then, that's all. Clara hands the book to Ben, and he leaves without a word, sobbing. A couple people on the street are empathetic as they see Ben walk out the door. Large metal keys hanging on the door jingle as the door is closed. Ext, the great dirt road, later back on the road, Ben walks the very long way back home again. Book in hand, he stops for a moment. He can strangely, somehow, manage to breathe, really breathe. Benner, he walks on, speaking as if to Kelly. Ben you should see this thing, Kelly. This is why I can't function like a normal human being. This is what they meant. Beat, I don't even know if what I have down below is even a natural cock. I mean, a natural penis. I don't get it. He's crying very hard at this point. 
he kicks away the dirt at his feet, but he can't kick it good enough. Ben I'm almost home. I have only whatever dignity I'm, whatever might be, hopefully left inside. I'm nothing but myself. I am just and only that. Ext. Ben's New Mexico estate. Moments later no car in the driveway. Ben your car? No car. I thought you were already home by now, baby. Seeing that he doesn't have his keys anywhere they're not under the doormat either, he checks he pounds on the front door. He calls out as if Kelly was really inside. We can only hear the dogs. Ben I know that we started out pretty rough, Kelly, and my family would never approve of us. But I'm waiting for you, baby. Like you said, the stuff we write and say does have its mysterious way of manifesting itself in the real world. He stops banging. The dogs are quiet now. Ben I can hear the dogs. Kelly. Kelly. No answer. Everything is completely silent inside and outside. The shuffling of Ben's shoes sounds hollow on the dirt and gravel. Ben. To himself. Sit. Ben. Sit. Ben sits. Ben I just want to live. Somehow. And if that means having superficial relationships with family and friends, then so be it. Int. Ben's home office, night the sounds of twilight, crickets, coyotes, and dogs. Ben, at his desk, talks to the long line of cameras, still set up, recording him, as they were before. Ben, to the cameras, I am still here, in the psych ward, no, I mean, in my home, the cinder blocks and cement and stuff. I haven't been able to escape yet, but they give me day passes and things. But I'm home. I am still home, you see. Ben get up and places the lens covers on the individual cameras. Ben at least I'm not alone. And after all, they still might need that cause of death, indicating the cameras, in these things, in the tapes, if they ever get to it. Ben stands up, starts to gather his things to head out. Ben I can feel it. We're all getting older and wiser. And sometimes you just have to listen to the sounds of your life. That kind of silence. That deep remarkable hollow stuff. He lights a cigarette, takes a puff and sets it down on the ashtray. Ben I can't see the sounds anymore, obviously. Only the colors. And they are brilliant and alive. As he's leaving, Ben is for this afternoon. I'm going to go out and get the groceries and the fertilizer for the lawn outside and can't forget the firewood, we can build a beautiful fire tonight, might I find the living, colorful beauty inside, the cigarette drops off the ashtray onto the desk, then onto the carpet floor, Ben it's okay, now, I hope, just got to hold onto this, the rest is history, just the empty room with light smoke lifting from the floor, the phone starts to ring again, and again, the whole scene changes completely read my lips this could otherwise be some sort of story of sorts, sort of a day in the life type of tale about the fragments and stories I continue to find in the real me, a story about losing a gigantic handful of what I used to have and about some things I seemed to have never had in the first place, family, friends, finances, freedom, food, and perhaps love. I hardly have the strength to begin this work with any formal thesis statement, nor with any kind of cool sly catchy hook. Wanted to introduce you, slowly, to this series, which has not been written in the same manner as what you're about to read. Just to write of bad posture is enough. They are the first words that come to mind, 
and I could probably give you a thousand examples of how bad posture metaphorically describes the way I feel, the way I think, the way I act, and the way I'm. The spinal cord and the brain itself, they control everything, and everything seems to be out of alignment, including my posture. I lie on my right side, my back crooked, with restless legs, as I rest my head on my right elbow. The laptop presses against my chest. This physical body of me is outrageously contorted and restless, fidgety. If you could see me right now, you'd think I was having withdrawals from kicking a heroin habit, but I'm not. I'm, however, probably setting myself up to be a hunchback or something, soon. All this agony is due to stress. It's due to agitation. It's due to nervousness. As for these words I write, I write them. I don't speak them aloud. I have little clout when I speak. I'm not taken seriously. I'm a schizophrenic. Therefore, to others, anything I say is likely to be considered a delusion, or even a lie. Lies are the things that usually save us, save us from what, Ben? There's still that looming stigma, all around. It's everywhere, so are the lies, Dr. C, who am I? There's no deep and philosophical answer. I am just a lonely guy who finds pleasure in watching tear-jerker films, along with a few other idle activities. I watch life pass me by, depressingly. Tear-jerkers? I enjoy them because they elicit emotions and usually make me cry. I love to cry, though I have never been able to sincerely let it all out. The few but lucky times when I get choked up, my short-lived crying spells get cut off. Something always comes up that causes me to stop crying, usually some kind of fear or impeding paranoia. It ends up feeling like an orgasm that suddenly dies right when the very peak wants to topple over and melt me. My orgasm freezes. I feel a continuous avalanche of emotions about my anxiety and my feelings. The emotions come stampeding down the mountain, compounding all the fear and paranoia, the roots embedded deep under the soot darkly smelted in the past as it takes over the present. The eyes of a female, separate, me observes me with a mean mother kind of judgmental heart. My mother's eyes hone in when I cry. But as long as I can believe I'm allowed to cry, I will, anywhere, anytime, as long as I'm not penalized for it, as long as I'm not in the ward crying, as long as I'm not under the care of mommy, crying, and as long as my thoughts don't go to such dark and hideous places, crying is probably the only display of emotion I seem to have anymore, although hardly personal, hardly private, my crying is a reaction to the pain and torment I feel, though the crying is always confronted by a sort of voice that says, stop IT and so I do, when I get to cry, it makes me feel alive, makes me feel I might actually exist even if in complete solitude. Crying like a baby is further proof of how lame I'm. Sure, I'm a total wimp. And creatively, I overuse certain words, I break the rules, I read self-help books, and I don't do the opposite of what they say, even though I might have said that I do, before. I don't really do much of anything, even with all the experiences I write of, about 90% of my life is spent in complete lethargy. I stare at the TV blindly, lying down, always lying down. I reside way out there in La La Land, in a state of confusion, as a means to dissociate from all the abuse I've endured since infancy. 
I can actually remember back that far, to when I was born, I'm able to remember because I have an inborn talent for putting myself into a remarkably deep trance, nearly in an instant, in the rare event that I have any motivation to write, I feel like all I'm doing is taking some mumbo-jumbo dictation from somewhere in outer space, I lie to myself, believing I'm some kind of a genius who tries to be what's called transgressive, stylistically and thematically, in my writing, of course, not within my personality, and I seem to fail, my personality is friendly and outgoing, I hear that all the time from others, I try to be someone else when I write, although, all too often, I sense myself rambling too much, as much as I shoot for awe and brutal honesty in my writing. Strangely enough, at the same time, I hope that my honesty, however much of it I can produce, might actually help someone, help whom, we'll get to that soon enough, I'm trying to make sense of it all, and keep at least some structure to what I write, since I have symptoms, like what they call pressured thoughts and pressured speech, schizophrenia causes my writing, my blah 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 -ing to come across as being cryptic and not commercially viable, a real downer, if you ask me, I'm beating myself up, unnecessarily, whether I'm Ben Schreiber, my own fictional protagonist, or Georgie Gust, Ben's alter ego, or even Ben, the real me, I'm a big fat wimp, like I said before, or better, a beached whale, but I've got balls of steel, I'm as resilient as I can ever aspire to be, nearly numb, yet entirely fragile, I still believe that I can't take it anymore, but I do take it all, and in many ways I'm forced to have those balls of steel, forced by this concept I barely have any grasp on, reality, your reality, society, family, I find myself on some sort of road trip, I feel like I'm in a dream, but I wouldn't bet my life that it's a real dream, possibly, my sense of reality is a little askew at the moment, or rather, as usual, there's no foggy border around what I perceive, so it must be real. I feel dragged up, quietly subdued and psychotic, having taken a slight overdose of Benadryl. I'm sprawled out in the back seat of my car. My wife, Kelly, is up front, behind the wheel, terrified of all the uncertainty, exhausted from life as it is, dealing with illness. All I want is to dissociate and blunt my affect, which is why I took all the Benadryl. I want to dream a bit and imagine that things are better than they are currently. Having passed through a nasty hailstorm, during which I thought we were going to die, literally, Kelly pulls off the road. She checks us into a comfort inn. The 10-hour drive is too far to make without a nap halfway across the state. Kelly and I have adjoining rooms. I'm not napping, so my lights and TV are on. I'm giving Kelly her own space. I contemplate my newest single diagnosis, plain old schizophrenia. I was actually diagnosed with schizophrenia when I was a kid, just didn't remember, didn't want to. The doctors always seemed to diagnose me with hesitancy, which meant to me that the diagnosis wasn't concrete or definite. For now, we've got plain old schizophrenia, and of course I've had Tourette since I was just a boy. It's still a beautifully insane hand of cards but at least I can stop collecting so many labels like they are stamps. The whole scene changes completely undergoing treatment in Colorado. I can accept schizophrenia as the all-in-one explanation for my strange and bizarre experiences, things and events, 
memories, people and people it all makes better sense now. There's finally a reason for things, or at least a single name, label, condition. I can start looking to manage and treat this condition from somewhere, from right here and now and let the healing begin again. I'm not alone. I am still one of the lucky few lucky that I can maintain my uniqueness and eccentricity, and be able to share with others just how disorganized the mind can be, while still having even the slightest access to conventional reality, as long as I can keep my awareness of this condition. And so are you. You're lucky, we all are, we've all made it this far, and now, according to my new doctor, within the porcelain utopia, this rabbit hole of a heaven, nothing has changed, only the diagnosis has changed, it's been clarified, oh, and here's a big one to swallow, that my doctor suggests to us, we are passive, submissive, so she is actually not suggesting anything, she seems to demand, that we have to, she said we should consider, but we take it as an imperative must, become role models, can you believe that, we have to help others, have to share everything and keep it real, and genuine, and authentic, here I'm here we are, trying to write, keeping everything on the cool, on the edge, keeping it hardcore, but now I rewrite all of this so that it comes from the heart and soul the higher self, if I turn into a sellout, the band Green Day comes to mind, and how they were accused of selling out, I swear, I'll stone myself, if that's even possible, I'll jump on my face, wait, that is definitely not possible that doesn't even make sense, you have this gift we recall Claudia telling us, telling Georgie, after all, Claudia is his girlfriend, even if only in my fiction, that we owe it to the world to do it for her, if anything else, the princess of Long Beach, the reason why we moved to New Mexico, and now we're on our way to the institution, a sort of schizophrenia school, schizophrenia school, for freak's sake. I've got to write from the heart now, we remember the dream telepathy, the whole conversation about why should we help others when we can't even help ourselves, so this was the start of what Georgie and I were thinking about, just a few minutes ago at about midnight, when we were sharing a smoke near the lobby outside, while Kelly caught a few zeds, some other things have changed, to the hook to the book, the whole scene at the end, when we realized, sure, that we didn't count, but that nothing was real all that BS hears some of the truth coming out, like vomit, the truth makes us feel sick, Georgie has stopped watching pornography, if you can believe that, as for me, I was hospitalized and had a big break, a schizophrenic break, from reality, reality, the break started full force the moment I wrote about going to bum a smoke on the last page of Lover in the Nobody when nothing, even ourselves, existed, I felt screwed, I felt trapped, but, things have changed, for crying out loud, which I often do still, we are about 5 hours from schizophrenia school, somewhere near Trinidad, Colorado, the so called sex change capital of the world, last I remember Colorado was as a boy, skiing, I think, smoke break, I remember Colorado being health freak city, what it really is, an alternative to the ward, please, and I swear, anyone out there if there is anyone out there we're sorry, I'm sorry, I must have acted like an arrogant prick all this time, please, if you are religious, pray for us, if you are a new ager, 
please send us white light, we'll do our dana desk to help you in return, all we have is our experiences to share to help, the whole help thing scares the daylights out of me, out of Georgie, all of us, does it scare you, too, not to make light of it anymore we really are mentally ill, and there apparently is a real world out there, right here all around, we used sarcasm and hypocrisy to cope with it, we didn't know what we were doing, and because of that, the family the living colorful rich they coerced us to sign over everything we had to them, the trust fund a new illegal trust fund, so we got caramelized, all the bad karma, we're mean and vindictive little bitches, and the good, we're loving and generous with huge hearts of gold, they don't cancel each other out, instead, it contorts, gets confused, and perplexed, makes everything even more complicated than it is already, does this make sense, the consequences have come, we'll be there, at the schizophrenia school, by morning, by morning, 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 we can't sleep, and the bennies, benadryl, are wearing off, our throats are opening back up, less psychotic feeling, less dissociated by means of the benny itself, our affects are afflicted with fear, possibly disappointment, please allow us a break before morning, one more time out, one more time with our freedoms of self, of delusion, of our nothingness, just give us another spring break, like from school, like college, or school in general, feels like we've been in prison, and the court has us departing from prison, and we're going directly into rehab from prison, or jail, the pen, whatever, kind of like when Lindsay Lohan had no break to party, and have her last hoorah, between her two-week jail sentence and her being escorted straight to treatment, none of this is even court-mandated it's nothing like that, it has everything to do with the family controlling our lives, and money, and things, we weren't, we couldn't, just go and work at Starbucks, neither could John Gosselin, no way, we used to make $10,000 or so a day, just on interest, and now we're in dire straits, so, what the hell, man, sure we've been spoiled all our lives, but it got taken away at the drop of a hat, and now we come across as whinny babies, but that's plain messed up, can't even afford kitty litter, the poor little kittens we've got at home have been flooding the flower pots, and the weeds took over the property, that's no way to love, certainly not unconditionally, it's no way to look after our best interests as living colorful trustees, they took away the estate, that's nearly 250 million dollars, Georgie helped with the software development for the startup companies Price Club and Amazon.com back in 1991 the year the internet was invented, Pops was an investment manager, a crook, nonetheless, and we were all but 15 years old, thus the setup of the trust fund, the doctors think it's a mere delusion, but I have the paperwork on file to prove it, same for the hit TV show they took, which aired for two seasons on A&E, we wrote what's called the treatment, a three-year project, all of my work had turned into pure nothingness because all of it was stolen, a break till morning that's all I want, just until we wake up in Wonderland, boy, at the moment, I'm full of complaints, Kelly just woke up from her power nap and we have to float on, sure, float, whatever floats the boat, now Kelly's got the car running we must go to the facility for the schizophrenics, like us, I have decided, not Georgie, me, 
to write Kaylee on a memo pad, to communicate, instead of talking, giving her the silent treatment, like the little baby game, the schizophrenic BS, boy, I'm really getting the audience empathy I'm aiming for and I say that with intentional sarcasm, I just hope there is one person out there who can relate to this, somebody we can help, are we even doing any good, mom and pops took the house, no more New Mexico, so long, no longer Long Beach, I'm taking dictation from the memo pad thus far, want to capture every single thought all of the erroneous chitter chatter, I know, we know we know, we can't ride in the car, it's too turbulent, okay, honey, coming, we grind the Winston into the pavement and take off, we'll type this out later, it's too shaky in the car we're lying down in the back seat, like babies being chauffeured to school, a nine hour ordeal, about the school, we have to go, you guys it won't be as bad as the hospital, less rules and stuff, you comfortable? Back there sure sure we are just jolly pip pip hooray I wake up and Kelly seems to have spoken aright, we're in a regular house as we slept through the night, intake procedures were a breeze, as for my goal or on the overall goal part of the treatment plan, I wrote, what I want, what I need, to be myself no more, no less, and I signed it BJ Screeber, just hoping that Ben is good enough on his own, that I'm actually an okay dude. I peel open a banana and introduce myself to a few other schizophrenics while I eat. Oh my god, I am not alone. I'm going by my alter ego's name, Georgie, as I meet these guys, and the staff. The intake papers have me down as Ben. I am just not ready yet to be Ben. Not this morning. The fear that I don't want to become a sellout, helping others that I can actually do some good in this little world makes me think of the 500 billion galaxies everywhere, and nowhere, I'll do what I can right here and now, this one's for you guys, I'll try my best to heal, and to share my stuff as Claudia used to want it I'll play the game the best I can, so that I can help you so that I have something to do, I am just starting to transcribe some of this onto the computer from the notebook and I'm dying to edit as I go along, but I need to keep it real and raw and right, just as it was, enough, I rewrite with an angry heart that speaks, for now, I'm heading off, the room they've assigned me sucks, insert smiley face here for no real reason at all, away from our comfort zone our safety zone I feel pressed to continue this writing crap. There's no writer's block I no longer get writer's block I do get a gigantic lack of motivation to write, but this is my industry, whether or not there will be huge gaps between installments, as there already have been, still got to float on, and on, and on, and write, putting out my best effort to be as raw and candid and honest as I can be, not trying to help you, but trying to help myself, even if just for a story, based on fact, as it may or may not be might help you, I still don't really get it, Georgie slept a full 15 hours last night and all day he was a complete zombie, I, however, didn't feel like a zombie, I felt zombie, coffee wouldn't cure the no energy, I've been cutting down the coffee and nicotine intake, now being the second day, well, I quit the caffeine in a conjunct just sticking to regular coffee, hoping that I won't ever resign to being a damn tea freak. As one of the techs suggested when he heard I was cutting down if I ever put an end to the plain coffee way down the road, dropping in, 
tuning out. I packed smaller and smaller doses of dip, the skull stuff and gave up masturbating for good. Fact is, I have nowhere I can go to get energy drinks or tobacco, and I'm not going to spank off with a roommate sleeping in the same vicinity other than Georgie. Still haven't even said hello to the roommate. All I know is that he's a heroin junkie with schizophrenia. He's only been clean for a few days, and that scares the daylights out of me. I've barely been talking about sex, fetish, scat gross stuff not sure if this is a good thing or not. My roommate he's got the schizophrenia diagnosis, too, like I said, and he doesn't have that fully blunted affect like me, like us. He's been reminding me of Georgie of that part of me that facet, a little worried, I don't want to screw up any more identities. I mean sometimes actually, quite often I believe that because this kid, my roommate, and Georgie, Ben, have so much in common with each other, I need to keep the roommate separate. This kid my roommate is 21, junkie, schizo, and a porn freak. The porn, he said, first thing he ever said to me, it messed up my head you know his name is Steve, Steven, whatever, I like it that I've got Steve the schizo living with me, and he's already been telling me that I have been helping him along the way, the thing is, this kid has been helping my ass, I know how to connect with him, he's all screwed up, like me, and he's worried and concerned about himself and his reality and their reality, always making sure he hasn't done anything wrong reassurance all the time like me, we crave it, we give it to each other, it's kind of like with Kelly and me, when I'm doing well, I can help, god I hate that word, Kelly get through her frustrations helps Steve O to know that, hey bro, it's only the illness, it's not you, it's just the illness, he tells the staff here when he's on a symptom trip that, oh, hey, it's just the illness, Ben taught me that, I'm who I'm, and it's all okay, makes me sound like a saint, and here I'm worried about helping others, it's all coming from the stuff Georgie's been telling me all along, maybe this is the stuff I've got to hear the stuff that I've got to really hear implying a reaction on my part, all this stuff, I wonder if I'll ever decide to literally synthesize with Georgie, to be myself, Ben, Ben, but to allow my safe alter ego to incorporate with the Ben ego, without having to bitch and complain and agonize about my selling out, or not being able to be that transgressive prodigy I mean all that I've already written in parts 1, 2, 3 are they even considered transgressive, I read back on some of it and it doesn't even seem transgressive at all, maybe just slightly anyway, who cares, I might just become a self-help book writer and not just a self-help book reader, audiobook listener, and self-help book antagonist that. Screw IT who do I think I'm, screw IT if I sell out by helping others, I haven't even sold in how could I sell out so fast, maybe a real honest Ben is better, maybe it's all you'll get for now, maybe I'll wimp out that way and join the public speaker's circuit, sail away on a cruise with Ben Schreiber, the self-help guru, the former wannabe badass, the kid with the heart of gold, I'll get carried away, like I'm right now, like a Buddhist monk into a whole different mindset, I don't need to still be angry, I am still afraid but, hell no, not angry, I'm afraid of what the outcome will be if I do this, if I do that, or if I don't do a single thing, I need to come back, I feel like I'm channeling something, 
I, I, I feel like all the self-help books I've read over the years are doing a number on me. I feel like the current moment is some kind of opening act for another moment. Using the word the letter I to open every sentence. Maybe it's not a bad thing, not totally selfish. Maybe I need to say I, I, I to really dig deep and see who or what this I is. After all, you and I are still in the same boat together, in many respects. The universal I, the collective self, humanity, in the stillness I seek in between writing breaks, it's the strangest thing all the new age stuff I've already read, all the spirituality I sought to hell with selling out. I think I'm just starting to comprehend some of this stuff way after the fact. I feel like a woman in love I feel it in my gut my belly. I might not have to look into others to know, to see, to be, to believe myself. My God, if I could come to the point in time when I can see others in myself, instead of the other way around, maybe that's what it is. Maybe my goals keep changing. See, right there, maybe I'm changing my goals. Maybe I do have myself. This is way deep, at this point. I lie in bed with this notebook, and it's like a constant splitting of epiphanies totally embracing me, and I have to remind myself, Ben, don't worry if these intensely intellectual and spiritual epiphanies, and flitting feelings of bliss and grace, will end, just go with them, let it all stop if it all stops, just hang the hell out, chill, let it go, Ben, let it all go, good goddammit, give me the energy, never mind energy, Offer me the peace and grace to just allow my entire world, inner and outer, to go, just go, just go away, far fucking away, for crying out loud, it's all okay, says Dr. C. The mind chatter is okay, the terrifying thoughts I'm having right this moment are okay, they've nothing to do with me, they're just thoughts, you may not be able to discern what normal disagreements or misunderstandings are, assures a confident and concerned Dr. C for the love of God, don't worry about it, more than anything, don't ever worry about that, about anything, it's pointless and useless to worry, the chaos in me is the chaos of God the community of me, and of you, don't worry about how you're coming across to others, I can't beat it, I can't beat the universe, it keeps changing, like the weather, I dive into it, as painful as it is, I let it go, I'll lose Claudia, I'll be attacked by symptoms, but I have to trust everything, trust, plain and simple, trust that I'll be able to sleep tonight, trust that I don't need to find myself through Georgie, or porn, or scat, or anything, the truth is inside, there's no place like home, there's no place like home, the Wizard of Oz, I wake up in tears, crying this and that, last night was a nightmare and so were my dreams nightmares, I succeeded in lowering the caffeine intake, only had 5 cups of coffee yesterday, until noon or so then I cut myself off, being my own bartender, wanted to be asleep by 9-10 o'clock, but even meditation couldn't save me from the constant worry and terror in my head, I knew I was going to have to help cook dinner for the house, the students, the next evening, and big deal, but for the love of God, I couldn't stop stressing out about it, and I knew I'd have to actually get up and out of bed by morning my goal was 10 a.m., so, it's now 10.30, I had morning meds and two cups of coffee, with my coffee, I sat with Stevo and started crying, I said, I don't know what I'd do without you, 
even though I should have known. Staff was keeping tabs on my crying spells and no sooner they added the mood disorder part to my schizophrenia, re-diagnosing me with what's called schizoaffective disorder. I am still sticking to calling it schizophrenia, and not schizoaffective. Enough is enough. I should prepare, regarding my need for Steve, just in case one of us is discharged before the other, even though their time will, and would, come and I'll figure something out. Steve had nursed a Red Bull between 9 and 10 last night, when the two of us were having what seemed like contagious, identical symptoms symptoms, the chaos of the mind. Steve was totally wild, so much that he took off all his clothes and went out for a jog around town, a residential neighborhood. Thankfully, Steve returned home, not arrested. I was quite empathic to Steve-O's emotions and feelings of being wildly looped from the caffeine. Thankfully. Our concomitant symptoms ended about a half hour later, and we just talked like we were in summer camp, about our experiences with the schizophrenia, and how we were never going to get to sleep, midnight came and we were both dead asleep, throughout the morning, I've been zombie again, with a few more cups of coffee, the anxiety started to melt away, I've actually been at peace for the past three hours or so, knowing that the terror will eventually have to come back that it's just the nature of the split mind. There are still a couple of hours until I have to do my schizophrenia school chore assisting with the preparation of dinner. Now, since the time for doing this once overly dreaded upon chore is closer than it was yesterday, and last night, ironically I have a lot less anxiety about it. I know it will be done soon, and note that I did a fantastic job, later on, and the house of roughly 15 people loved the meal, thank heavens, made me feel good, though I never wanted to do it again and certainly didn't need to, for I'd be transitioning to outpatient status before the next week would come, but for now, this place I'm in, that I call schizophrenia school which it technically is is a sort of halfway house, or, how they describe it, assisted living an alternative to the ward a common ground for people with severe mental illnesses, namely those with schizophrenia. I probably will not incorporate many of the other patients, or characters, here into this book project, mostly because I still barely know any of them, and as usual, I have little or no inclination to socialize with anyone except Elstevo. Some, or even most of the schizophrenics here have totally blunted effects. That's the state of mind where I want to be it appears to be, as I see some of these guys just staring off into outer space, that they are blunted inside. 2. Steve O told me that he asked one of them, and they are actually still beyond torment in there, but that's where I wish I was in a place they only appear to be in. I guess it's just that outer appearance that's appealing. Sometimes I just want to go totally numb and limp. Their moods, their energy levels seem to never change all of that appears to be their outward projection of their inner peace and great sense of bliss, if that's the right word, well, anyway, you see where I'm going with this, I'm sure, I just hope that they're not dealing with the demons, and torment, no matter what Steve-O told me, the terror, which otherwise seeps through every wall of the inner void. My definition of joy is being able to stare into the black void, like it's some kind of screen mirror and being deeply embraced by it, with the epitome of fearless love, unconditional love. My ideal of joy is peace of mind to just float. 
anytime I pass anyone, I can, I die to, smile, no questions, no introductions, no getting to know one another, never, ever having to take that big Buddhist breath, feeling more and more alive and alert and having to come out of a lifelong meditation, that blunted, non-violent affect, that place where I see these other schizophrenics, are they worse off than I'm, I mean, because they seem to be less aware of reality, is it their meds doing that to them, I've read quite a bit about schizophrenia since I was officially diagnosed, and I know from my reading that each schizophrenic has unique symptoms and general conditions, nonetheless, Stevo and I feel like identical twins our symptoms, we both even have an addictive personality, it's like without him for example, if I never met him if I was put into a single bedroom, I wouldn't be able to see myself in anyone, that's the kind of stuff you know when they say that everything happens for a reason rooming with Steve had to happen, even if I was to never see him again from this point forward, I've already learned that I'm not alone in my own miniature world, I'm working on cursing less, screw it about the Tourette's if I want to clean up my act, even if I'm not required to then that's what I'll do. I don't truly believe in anyone healing from anything at least by means of the mind, especially when the mind is fractured, the noun itself makes better sense, fracture, a split mind, I observe the part of me that is split, between the innocent and fragile vulnerable, Ben, the split part is the tormented schizophrenic part of the self the mind which lacks the divine sensations the part that needs the medicine, the breaks where the actual split is that's where well, one could imagine them as a picture, where the edges overlap doing so-so dealing with the symptoms but still connected to the awareness of it all, when the rubber holding the split together turns to cement. From stress, from the environment, and it cracks, the side of the split that is purely the illness takes over completely, like the Hitler of the mind, start hallucinating like John Nash in a beautiful mind. Complete paranoia overcomes every aspect of the innocent little Ben. When the cement cracks, that's when I become basically impressed with the need to be chained up in restraints, although believe me, restraints and psych wards are hell, but when that stuff cracks and I'm having a break, it is literally you, me whomever versus the entire galaxy, it can honestly get that bad, the worst acid trip one can imagine, I never, ever want that to happen to me again a relapse, as they call it, I wish it upon nobody not even Hitler himself, Hitler, Hitler's dead, anyway, I'm better off with the profoundly smaller episodes, even though a one hour episode, I call them spells, can seem just as terrifyingly dreadful, I'm going to take a break now a break from writing now that I've broken more ice, aside from the schizophrenia and the porcelain utopia I've just got to take a piss, nothing crazy, just got to pee, thank god for that. It's a new day now, the sun shines bright as I suck in the last draft of my ciggy, and suck the very end of my fourth cup of coffee, I notice Steve is still waking up, slowly, as he sits at the other patio table, I want to talk with him, to check in with him, but I don't want to interfere with his just getting out of bed leave me alone state of mind, which I, too, seem to get every morning, so, now that I'm sitting at the desk in our room, and have lodged a lowercase dip in my mouth, and those four cups of coffee were brewed strong, 
They've definitely given me that edge which feels like it'll last all day. I feel pressed again to sit here and write to you. I don't know who you are or where you are, but I still write to you. From here, from the past, from this ongoing trial with the mind, the main reason is that, besides the fact that this writing is totally saving my life and helping, last night was hell again. The evening had my mind racing. God, when is this going to stop my prayer trails on? Filled with frustration, antagonism, and confusion. Cognitive symptoms burnt now, to the point, if I can get there, I fell asleep around midnight, again, and although I generally need 12 hours of sleep, thank God for having to pee real badly, again, caused by wake up call at 8 am, I was just getting up to pee, so I stayed up, I went to the nurse's station, and got my morning meds, I noticed one of the pills was missing so I showed the nurse, one hell of a fat bitch, my hand, indicating that the clonopin was missing, I picked up their mistake, their human error, this would happen six more times, and each time it frustrated the hell out of me because they had been under the impression that I was a drug addict, my family told them so, but it's the furthest thing from the truth that family of mine, as they try to get me institutionalized or homeless, as they try to destroy me and my wife the living colorful bitch, I showered and dressed had coffee blah and said my good mornings to the only two other guys who were awake at the time watching TV with the volume off albino Bob and catatonic Chris, their effects were das blunted, I learned that the doctor, the headmaster, drives a Honda, is he in it for the money, or is the Honda just a cover up, he would be seeing me later in the morning, which I was excited about, I am still excited that, 1, I will be meeting with him and, 2, the later in the day, the better, I usually set up all of my appointments for later in the day, I'm always in better mental shape around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, but here in schizophrenia school, I have to see the doctor on his time, not mine, I came to realize to actually, sincerely realize that I can't plan the next day, nor am I able, is anyone able, to plan any future, I mean, I can plan an appointment, I can plan to bring up a certain issue to discuss with the doctor, but last night, I plan to get up real late, I plan to be a dick all day, and I plan to not talk to anybody maybe just Steve, but the weather was pleasant when I awoke and the overall landscape of situations, the overall mood of the staff the way I perceived reality and in this morning's case, I couldn't have planned for such a positive outlook, I couldn't plan, or execute the plan, that I would not hold the big grudge against myself for ruining everybody's life from last night things all just fell into place, naturally, the divine, the universe it did what it did, it put me in the place I'm in, it set me up for being okay for right now at least, I'm a believer in the new age concept of what's called manifestation, I hadn't a clue of my thoughts about going to sleep last night, that I'd been manifesting anything good, as for the impending morning hours. I do not know, without doubt in my mind, that overall I have hope for a more sustainable peace of mind and life, deep inside me, underneath the trapezoidal confusion from last night, I must have manifested my waking up on a good note, my thoughts are petty and small, my heart is huge what I really feel is huge, complex, fuzzy, congested, and overwhelming other than that check the thesaurus, I am too lazy, damn it.
It would seem like no big deal waking up without the imp of the mind on my back, pestering, but it's exciting for me, I know, Ben, I know don't get too excited, it won't last forever, it's just that I feel I have a running start for the day ahead, and perhaps the week ahead, after all, today is Monday, I usually love Mondays because that's when things happen, I enjoy my own space and time and maybe even some TV. And there's usually more to observe on the news, out the window on a Monday rather than say, on a plain old Sunday, when all that's on TV are the evangelical broadcasts and infomercials. My plan for the doctor's meeting coming up is to see about my blood test, which may or may not be ready the results, I mean and to tell him that my schizophrenia can get bad, but not just bad, really bad, so much for use of good words, like bad, anyway. I'm writing this still, and weeks after the fact, still transcribing from the notebook I had when I was in impatient and really did I write? But now, it's been taking me weeks to transcribe, maybe 10 pages so far, of handwriting not to bore you. I am just trying my darnedest to finish the notes from then and put them onto the computer, because at the very moment, I'm utterly messed up and once again. As rare as the moments come when I have enough motivation to write, or to do anything for that matter, I seem to have caught a glimpse into what could be at least a 10-minute writing session so please bear with me, that it gets bad, traumatic, terrifying that better, the split mind, the cement holding the self, good, innocent Ben, together, crumbles, the schizophrenia part of the split might not be collapsing, but controls what feels like a good 85% of the regular self, the healthy self, while like right now, the Ben self can barely even remember the attacks that happen the schizophrenia has that much control, and a certain kind of amnesia is rampant, I am still in the fog, I have things like group therapy that I kind of have to do to get over with, I rarely do anything, I fake my way out of the group events, and certain therapies, and junk. I do my darnedest to stay involved and not think that the day is another day in hell but it is nearly impossible, see, see, I already find myself slipping again, I guess that's why I get to see the doctor soon, I'm crying again, now, I miss my cats so much, why can't my brain just basically stay intact, somebody needs to find a cure for this thing, soon, okay, I am staying, I am staying positive, Ben? Stay positive, go downstairs and have a smoke, say hello to someone else, they just might be able to help the facility in general, help sustain the brain, even ever so slightly more than it's being sustained right now, I see myself in others, I see them in me, too, I promise not to bring up Georgie or Claudia or any of the fantasies from this point forward, I mean that? But I'm afraid I might not be able to mean that unconditionally because if something happens, and I know I'm projecting, I need to make sure I have a place, or rather a person, with whom I can dissociate if I feel the need, or if it happens on its own, I've got to just stick to my true and only self the Ben in me, maybe just maybe the, dare I say it without tearing up as I'm maybe even the Ben in me, the home, the schizophrenia school? As more clients came in and went out the place became more of a school for the druggies and elkies. Clients started to drink beer from the gas station and drug up on cough syrup, and nobody was being kicked out. The place became more of just a business and some sort of legal crack house, 
if you catch my drift. Staff became more and more distant, and although I continued to believe that the MD, the head guy really knew his stuff about schizophrenia, I made a valiant effort to move out, having only been there that one week and a day. So, I have to keep this short because my hand is already cramping up. I've been living in a little garden motel, and now, as an outpatient, my only requirements are to take the public bus in every day to get my meds, which, of course, is a royal pain in the ass. Besides, they keep messing up the mess of medication. They are convinced that I'm addicted to the benzoclonopin, because my stepmother convinced them I was, while I'm not. Rather, of course, I'm addicted, but I'm not abusing them that's what I mean the nurses on staff have been leaving out my 3x day doses of the clonopin. Once I show visual proof that the pills are missing, they eventually give in to what they are calling human error bird five times or so. I'll write more about this on the computer when my wife is able to bring it to me. But I made contact with some old friends in LA, ironically near Long Beach, and it appears that I had simply left the circle for five years, five years of paranoid delusions that they had been out to get me all the time, it turns out. They had been waiting for me to come back, at some point, with their undying love and prayers. One of them is Bobby Banks and it looks like he wasn't after me, wanted something from me nothing like that. Now, Bobby is working his ass off to save me, and it actually looks like I will be getting my old life back. I hope I do, and that I'm not just being carried along, given the runaround, etc., from the old boys back in California. My wife's book? Money and Madness, I recently read her first chapter and I love it so far, will be running kind of parallel to this porcelain utopia series of mine, so I've got to keep some details, like the big family legal mumbo jumbo for her book, unless it gets too overbearing for me, and I end up writing for therapy, about them about those nutcases, as I call them, the living colorful rich, for here, for now, I will continue to write about whatever it is that I'm writing about, whether it can be labeled as stream of thought, or transgressive or coming of age, I am actually going to make it, Georgie always said that, so I must have said that, I'm going to be just fine, though I can never deny the big schizophrenia, as my phone charges, I keep to myself, until, as Bobby just texted me, the cavalry is coming my wife, Kelly? Having come a long way now, I'll let you know her name is Kelly. Just as I'm Ben, had her psychic mentor or advisor for the last 10 years give her a quickie reading over the phone regarding the time frame as to when we'll be getting the legal help we need, and especially since I called Bobby Banks about getting help last week. The reading was slightly unclear, as the numbers were 3 and 4 is it 3 or 4 days, or weeks, or months whichever one. It's going to be three or four something before the lights are turned on. Wait, let me start afresh. I'll be getting access to one of my laptops, the junkiest one I have, since I broke all the good ones in my violent rages from before I got into treatment. My wife, Kelly, Kelly, will be arriving here in Colorado at the motel, hotel, whatever where I'm staying, in about four or five hours. I treated myself to some caffeine I mean more than a few cans, more like half a case for many reasons, besides they really don't do anything to wake me up, most of my life is spent a zombie one, Kelly, Kelly, 
is coming and I want to be alert 12 cans of sugar free Red Bull but the meds still have me zong too, general celebration, my finding Buddhism without having planned to do so, I texted Kali about just being, in some detail, and she said that what I was describing was very Buddhist, 3, coming back from a 2 hour trip to get meds, some melted in my bag from the dew of the sodas in there, and the spillage from the almost empty cans in the bag my man perks for, I spit, spittick, on my last clean white shirt this pen is running out of ink, perfect timing, perhaps, it's the only one I have, heck to hell, hell to heck, have to get a pen from the front desk, okay, got it, have I created a new genre of sorts of literature, not fiction, not non-fiction, not a memoir and not the publishing of a diary, instead, maybe closer to publishing a blog, or better, like publishing a novel that resembles Facebook, Twitter or better as blog posts, as I sort through what I'm currently writing, I'm fascinated by the idea that this could and should be written as a thought by thought and moment by moment piece, I ponder the effects of structuring this writing in what I might call reality literature, similar to reality TV, I'm not already famous and nobody is really going to buy much less read, a 1,000-page book written by some no-name like me, I've been saving all of my incoming text messages, if I could captivate you enough, then it's worth a try to write everything, after all, I'm a schizophrenic near-billionaire, who, while overcoming existing struggles, has lost everything, the goal is to get my things back, my money, my house, my documentary footage, etc., I'm so looking forward to installing what I've handwritten onto the computer, maybe I'll start when my wife falls asleep early, as usual, for sure she'll be tired upon coming and upon my tugging on her immaculate living colorful getting bigger all the time, as I continue tugging at clit coming she'll make her little shower and probably fall asleep, she's the typical guy, married to me the sensitive wife with all the transgressive writing I pull off. That's the Brad Pitt in Fight Club version of me who I want to be, the voice inside the Georgie of the Ben he wants to be cool, even when I'm not even collected, cool and collected, collective, yes, we are one, and over the last week or so that I've been writing, I must say that Georgie his real name although he is not real, his real, name is Tom, Tom Bishop, what I did write a secret I took an old fashioned name, from my late great grandfather, and made it QC George to Georgie simultaneously, I borrowed the name from the little boy in Stephen King's it his name was Georgie, and because King's Georgie was a literary character, device, sure, and he literally died, I felt like I could at least resurrect the name, I have one cat and two kittens, I didn't name the five year old myself, his name was Ziphius, and since the heavy metal whore who gave Ziph to me, because her husband was beating him, she screwed me over, bad, so I recently just changed the spelling to Xiphius, the two little ones, even though they are bro and sis, the boy is Georgie and the girl is Claudia, my wife, I write her in as Kelly because there is not one woman named Kelly who isn't supremely hot, please write me if you can prove otherwise, and Kelly, my wife is hot, to actually hotter, speaking of which, to step aside, Allowing this so-called self to free write, to write freely and uncut, unedited, sensitivity has me by the ass, I don't know what the hell I'm feeling, 
I am still here in the Garden Motel. I am still an outpatient as far as the schizophrenia school is concerned. It's been weeks, actually a couple months, I think, since I checked in with you last. My wife was able to bring up one of the kittens from home when she visited a week ago. His name is Georgie, of course, and he is cuddling with me as I write this. I feel such a deep love for him that it brings tears to my eyes instantly if I think about it too much. I think about Georgie's inherent innocence, mostly, and of course that he is just adorable and funny and has his own individual personality, that he has unconditional love for me. I have to put him in his cage when housekeeping comes. It's part of the hotel's policy, and I understand why. The nine-hour trip my wife made to bring him here, by car it was extremely difficult for me to even think about Georgie being in the cage that long. But supposedly he did fine. I never want him to be uncomfortable, and yesterday, when he and I were playing, I scared him by accident pretending I was a big monster honing in from above who would kiss and tickle him once I came close enough. I felt horrible when he saw me hovering above him and he shuffled as quickly as he could off the desk he was lying on, knocking over the computer and scurrying under the bed in complete fear. I thought of my parents, when they do that kind of stuff to me. A few weeks ago, I saw Steve at the outpatient house. He had called, asking if we could meet up and if I could write down some of the inspirational audiobooks I've read for him. I wrote him a three-page list, and he was grateful to receive it, as I heard from another outpatient whom Steve had told excitedly. I already don't feel that this writing session is going well. Things are hard today, and I want to go home. I have to take the bus to the outpatient office to pick up my weekend meds in an hour or so. Oh, God. The family is being extremely unreasonable. I don't want to even write about it. I'll leave it for my wife's book. The keys on this laptop are falling off and I'm plain uncomfortable. I was disappointed when the sun came out, which is not a good sign. I feel like I'm forcing this writing. Actually, I'm sorry to my readers, but I'm going to stop where I'm now and just listen to my iPod and finish the rest of my sodas. I might not be able to get any more until next week. I have been drinking a case a day and I know that's not healthy. I don't want to meditate. I want to be with my wife and have this all be over with. Am I giving you enough details? Rather, I hope I'm painting you enough of the picture of what this life is like with the ups and downs, the confusion, the love and the hate, the black and the white. My mind is blank now. I've got to go now. Things are bloody exhausting. I don't want to force this writing, though possibly by forcing things out, it might show. I mean, in a good way. Most of my life is forced, or enforced. This might help you and me. It isn't easy, and things in general do not always have to flow with ease. That's just the way it is. A couple of hours have passed now. I had phoned my wife following my last writing installment and even though I knew she was and is doing all that she can to get me home, to get the house ready for me, for us, when I return, I still felt like I had to press the issue. The meds I take in the morning somehow don't feel like enough. It's a matter of a delicate balance of trial and error, and by 11 o'clock or noon, there's been an anxiety within me that feels like too much of the wrong kind of energy in my system. I end up craving the afternoon meds, 
and the slight sedation they offered by about 12.30, at the latest, I'm aware that I drink a ton of caffeine in the morning especially, and I don't want to stop drinking what I do all morning, so this balancing act becomes incredibly well, I should call it a real art, and it takes a real talented artist to figure out the meds, of course with my input, I meet the doctor again in a few days. I'm scared to admit to the doctor that I drink a case of soda plus a few coffees each day, and smoke over a pack, and dip at least one can of smokeless tobacco every day. I'm scared, even though caffeine and tobacco are abused by most schizophrenics according to what I have read. I'm scared to tell them because I have never seen any other schizophrenics abuse the stuff like I do. When I was an inpatient, never. It concerns me that this, just like my symptoms used to feel so private, is, well just another symptom. I believe that I'm doing quite well in being honest and with my opening up to those who are here to help me. Anyway, enough on that. I mean, hell, I'm on a lot of medicine, and have been most of my life. A healthy person would certainly take the amount of meds I've been taking and go comatose. I took the bus to the outpatient office. I didn't bother being obsessive about packing the little bag I take with me, with cigarettes, the bus schedule, wallet, etc., so I just brought my bus passes for going there and coming back, and left my wallet behind, and left I think everything else I usually pack behind, I figured I could trust my own head enough to know that the buses run on the half hour and I didn't need anything, and I didn't let it bother me. It didn't bother me that I left behind my phone, and iPod, and books. I knew I wasn't going on a vacation. I basically said to myself, Ben, just go and quit worrying about what the heck you pack. Just go, and when you get there, tell the therapist that you are having a bad day, and that you would prefer not to talk about it. Know that she would ask why I'm having a bad day, and you can just tell the simplest version of the truth that it's just the whole situation, plain and simple, and that's what I did. I was already melancholy when I arrived, probably because when I finished the call to my wife, before I left, I had taken a small dosage of anxiety medicine that causes sedation before I bust over to outpatient. There were a couple of times in the last month where the nurse filled my weekly medicine box with an extra dose. I decided to keep them, in case I would have a panic attack or a spell of extreme anxiety, since the doctor has not given me any PRNs, which means an extra dose of medicine for emergencies or, as they say, as needed. I was back within the hour, usually going to outpatient is a two-hour ordeal on average, depending on how much I talk, or hang out, or wait for the bus, or sidetrack to the gas station to pick up a pack or two of smokes while I'm in the area over there, closer to downtown, the nurse asked me about my kitten, Georgie, and I was elated to talk about him, I smiled and remarked to the nurse that that was the first time I had smiled all day, as calm as I was on the PRN I took, part of the chaos of the mind kept telling me contradicting ideas, one, I seemed calm, so she, the nurse, would assume I was on my prescribed meds, so that if I was to tell her I felt anxiety and nervousness, she would say that I seemed calm, and, in fact, she made the comment that it changes, my mind just went blank again 1000 thoughts came through and then dropped dead, 
so I have no idea what I was going to write for a number two, just to say that the nurse asked me if I was still keeping up with my list of activities that I created the other day in order to keep some structure and I let her know that I was, regarding Georgie, he and the case manager who had entered the room at the time said that I was a really nice person, I felt a lightning bolt of joy, on the instant, as with my wife, the nurse and case manager came up with suggestions, the few minutes I was there in the office, just wanting to get out of things I could do, they knew I wasn't in two groups and things, and I just, again, reminded them that I'm pretty much a loner, and that I want to do things with my wife, if anybody, that I didn't care how dependent I'm on her, I told her that just the 10 short minutes on the phone were charging me up, I could maintain stability at least until the next time we talk. I also mentioned that I'm good doing things or interacting with people for only 15 minutes, maximum, I didn't say, but I use those 15 minutes to recall very specific details when I need to be uplifted, whereas on a 5-hour field trip, I'd grow easily tired and not have specifics that my memory could hold on to, but instead more of an overall good or bad time, I returned to the hotel. I noticed that the hotel staff was able to purchase my sodas, so that was a relief. A couple of cases had been put in the fridge and the rest on the counter, or rather the desk that is halfway in the kitchen and halfway near the main part of the studio apartment-like room. I had a soda and a smoke outside and started to cry. There is so much pain and grief, and as my wife often points out to me, I have a lot to cry about. She is able to see that and to know that and to share that with me. God, I love her so, so very much. It scares me when I get those intrusive thoughts that she is going to die tragically. I'm not having those thoughts right now. Thank God, I wanted to write about you, my readers, joining me to cry, rather asking you to join me. I mean, there are times when I feel such anger and talk about killing babies just coming up with the most horrible things to think about or write about and then there's this certain sensitivity in me that feels like the polar opposite. And I'm not just trying to tell you that I cry. My life sucks. I have it bad. No, I know that everyone's got his or her own demons. What I want to convey in this writing session is that you let me cry and whine and tell how crazy things are but know that I just hope you can relate and see some of myself in yourself, no matter what the particulars are in each of our own life stories, read this with anger in your heart, read it with compassion, read it with hatred, even hatred for me, I'm purposefully writing a lot of depressing things without fears like conveying my story in some prefabricated way and possibly not having a happy ending, I don't care how depressing this project is to read. I am doing it for myself and thus for you, no matter how this thing turns out, I'm planning for a smooth day ever since I woke up, I woke up early, and have been waking up early every day for the last couple months since I've been staying here in this garden motel, there's not much to plan I have my list of activities that I check off as I do them, they're just small, mindless activities, it's no big deal, playing with Georgie the kitten having a cigarette and soda every hour things like that, I had planned to write today, even if it's not much that I write, and so, here I'm, it can get pretty boring here, especially since I have only a little bit of money that I don't drive, don't know the area too well, and besides, I consider myself a loner, 
I'm a loner. A loner? Yes, and with only a few interests in daily life but I miss my wife terribly. About a week ago, she and I had set up a plan to talk to each other at around 9.30am, 3pm, and then 7pm of course, depending on whether she or I have something else going on, like Kelly's NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness, meetings on Thursdays, which run until about 10pm. I had a paranoid spell last night. Kelly was texting me, and I was convinced that it was my stepmother impersonating my wife. I think the paranoia came about for a couple of reasons. First, yesterday morning, when I was on the phone with my wife, the call was continually being interrupted with a really loud and annoying scrambled sound, which then caused me, and Kelly, to think that possibly someone was somehow tapping the phone lines. Nobody would believe us. If this were the case, a mysterious someone has hacked our computers in the past and has attempted what they call gaslighting. When I say she is evil, it's an understatement. I'm trying to leave a lot of someone's stories and even my opinions and the hurt she causes me for Kelly's book. I don't want too much of an overlap of certain things, and to be honest, even thinking, talking, or writing about her can send me over the edge. The second reason for my paranoia is because she had called the front desk yesterday and asked the woman working there to ask me if I had received the FedEx, I had no idea what she was talking about and it haunted the hell out of me to even know that she had called anyone about me in the first place. So the illness ended up getting the best of me later on in the evening, when Kelly was texting me, and I had my episode. Perhaps I'll be able to write more about the family abuse and how it has affected me, either here within this project or perhaps in another book. But, quite frankly, the situation paralyses me so much that I'm frightened literally to death, of even mentioning her of course, I mean the mysterious someone. Being alone is what it is, I mean I know a lot of it is a reaction, or non-reaction, to the illness, but I had been living independently since I was 15. Of course, I had my million dollar bank account readily accessible during those times, so I had people to help me and do things for me. This caused the doctors to think I was too high functioning to have schizophrenia, and I used to drink every waking hour, so I was quite social. When I sobered up and had my estate taken away from me, it was pretty clear that I did. In fact, have schizophrenia, no question about it, the family just made it worse, gave it a kind of post-traumatic element, but not from just one traumatizing event, but continually, most, if not all of my life abuse, 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 I'm not at all worried about considering myself a victim of the illness, but instead a victim of child abuse, even as I'm in my mid-thirties, until then, I relapsed last night, on Advil PM. It messed me up. I'm sad and angry. I don't know how the hell much longer I'm going to be up here in Colorado, and I dread going back home to the war zone of a mansion I destroyed during the break that got me here in the first place. The doctor back home, DR, she believes my family is quite reasonable, and she has this whole power trip over me, because of my illness. At least, that's what I think. It sucks that I'm not even comfortable with my own doctor. My family has not been reasonable, it's such a complicated ordeal, I can hardly begin to spill the details, I worry about my wife dying, she is 24 years older than I'm and in excellent health, 
I worry about the tragic possibilities, and that if I lose her too soon, I won't have a clue about how to get what I need in life, I don't know her contacts, even her family and friends, I won't have the knowledge, or rather the ability, to understand the scope of the issues with my family, all the negligence and illegal acts they've committed against me, I have no idea how to put any of it together in my head, but she does, there are so many emails and documents that Kelly hasn't showed me, for good reason, they would stress me out too much if I knew about them, the family has badmouthed me to my wife over the phone, and there are countless other acts of hatred and abuse and neglect, which would be a difficult task to prove in court because both sides would argue each side. Probably what's most messed up about all this is that I cannot qualify for any public or government help, whether it be help with housing for people with mental illness or even a public lawyer or social security because I'm totally broke but at the same time I have millions in the trust fund. Someone's not releasing any of the funds to me, so it appears that I have money, millions, which I do, it's just controlled by the family, and at the same time I'm completely broke. Yesterday, it was like a spirit had knocked me on the shoulder, because all of a sudden, even though I have been refusing to communicate with the family and Kelly is refusing with good reason to write them, pretending that she's me, I wrote them a simple, cordial email just asking someone to release the requested funds so that I can move on with my life. We'll see what happens with that, if anything at all. They sure as hell won't communicate with Kelly. They claim she stole money from me prior to our getting divorced, along with other insane accusations. Someone is trying to get me to fend for myself against the IRS because they committed fraud with my tax returns and they are trying to force me to sign them, so that I take the heat a palatial dose of heat, a blazing forest fire. The scene changes and we're back in New Mexico, where Kelly had set things up for me and for us. Things started to happen. New things. Changes. The whole scene changes completely the banks of nostalgia the first week at Wakefield Academy. Georgie had no friends. Rather quickly, he had become obsessed with solitude, seeking it out wherever he could. The graveyard down on Main Street, past Christ Church, closer to Rex Road was ideal and idyllic, it was a slightly more desolate section of town, where not much else existed except the birds, the bees, and the New England trees, lots of green life and foliage and stockpiles of death, a sincerely deep and inherently beautiful sensation of death, where Georgie could contemplate on his own death as he became closer to its reality, stillness and quietude of what was just six feet below him everywhere he went, all by himself, Georgie would sneak off campus, off bounds, when it wasn't permitted, sometimes even during class, to dissociate a little bit and distract himself from his life otherwise, which he felt he had been losing more and more since he was born. He would smoke a camel filterless, against the school rules written in the student handbook, no smoking, even off campus, and sometimes Georgie preferred what he thought of as an older gentleman's idle pleasure of a pipe or a cigar. It was at these times when I, Ben, had or needed more time to think about my own thoughts and even Georgie's ideas, feelings, and passionate spirit, his longings that dragged him outside, out and away from any and all ridicule by other mortals, including me. I needed this, this role I had a silent observer into Georgie's isolation, 
only so that I could love him, and I did, I always did, Georgie still needs love, and later on we both realized that what he needed even more was crazy love, real love, and no more lies, no more goodbyes, no pie in the sky, why, while the graveyard fueled Georgie with pristine hope, a true glory yet untold, the bluff in the upper campus wood was for set up for his sadness and created for his contemplations. It looked over the Atlantic Sea and while I read in some old book while Georgie played sick in the infirmary, sick to skip class, skipping, blaming it on his skip step Tourette's, so he could miss class and sleep, he created quite a mutual bond with the head doc, who died from dementia years later. He was late lending me a book by his bedside. I kept reading about the story of the school. The students in the 60s and 70s spent several semesters, now and then, again up there by the tree, the rebel tree, the very tree where Claudia had her first climax to death it did them part. But back years back those kids, the ones at Wakefield then, they took place there to play with illegal drugs and drink during daylight in the dark prohibition. Those days are over. It's all over. Georgie rolls over the book on the shelf. No more library work for him. He did that last time. This time is different. He, Georgie, he hated authority, and still does, as do I. Of course, Georgie visited after I had the time of my life with Wesley and the kids the picture I still have of them in the shoebox under my broken bed, now broken, not then. There was too much lurid and ugly sex back then. Claudia broke the mattress when she was my mistress. Paris Georgie recently and four CRS soldiers stopped him in the metro. They thought he was sniffing coke, not ticks. He told the cannibals, as they stood in a small circle around me, how they wouldn't be wearing their damn uniforms if we didn't save their asses in the Second World War. God bless Georgie, saving me from arrest, fucking cardiac arrest. He told the officials to search my empty backpack bag of fuck off. They merrily went about business. Fucking communists. Everyone always has such a desire to be higher than the norm. I detest that. Truly. Truth or dare. Georgie told me. And so, his father, who did a lot of work with illegal shite, was a cop. I think he owed a lot of money to some Italian loan sharks. But out of the blue... The man renewed his pops he sent Georgie a huge check for $150,000 and he knew they weren't a rich family. This depressed him profoundly heading up to the bluff midday and he daydreamed I'm delusional. How could pops do such a thing, like never before? It breaks up the behavior. Shite, he just received the mail and cannot think of a better way than to think he needed to tell him how giving he has been with this grandiose offer he can't accept for reasons beyond his knowing. In his generosity, Georgie's placed so much satisfaction his life satisfied at last. Perhaps it was the only happiness he could conceive of. He had his heart set on it so that it was made his punishment, to let him see that however innocent he had once thought his affection it was incorrectly guilty, greater than allowable for things of this world, from the long strife with himself before any fuzzy logic could overcome passion or bring him to personal humility to whatever had been allotted to him, it's done, declining the dollars, Pops would disapprove, he would have done what he did out of plain and simple kindness and love, he would rather have him done for his own self not Georgie's, like the old days, 
not that I would disclaim my part in it or lessen my obligation to you, no, I'm your son, as much as I ever was in my fatalistic life, I think more and I shall never be less, I've known you long enough to conclude that you have all the qualities that make an excellent father, and I shall endeavor to deserve that you may be so to me, but would have you do this upon the most just grounds. I know we're not a very rich family and as such may conduce most to your quiet and future satisfaction. When I have tried in all ways to find happiness, there is no such thing to be found in a mind conformed to one's condition, whatsoever it be, and not in aiming in anything that is impossible or improbable. All the rest is only vanity and vexation of spirit. There can be no pleasure in a struggling life, and that folly which we condemn in an ambitious man, who is ever working for that which is hardly got and more uncertainly kept, is seen in all others' pride, a stubbornness of nature that chooses to always go against the tide, and in others, an unfortunate fancy to things that are in themselves innocent until we make them otherwise by desiring them too much. I should justify myself that it's not lightness in my nature, or any interest that's common to us both, that has written this change in me. To you who knows my heart, and from whom I shall never hide it, and whose friendship is built on common grounds, I have no more to say, but that I don't impose any opinions upon you. I might defy all that fortune could do, and putting off all in disguise and constraint, with that which only made it necessary, make my life as easy to me as the condition of this world may permit and allow. I may own you as a person that I extremely value and esteem, and for whom I have a particular friendship, and you may consider me after tonight, the 15th of March, one that will always be, your faithful son, Georgie. P.S. Tell mom not to worry, as if she ever would. There I was, Georgie Gust, a new junior at Wakefield Academy, a dreadful evening lay ahead, on the dusk of a new revolution in my youthhood. I was a recent inductee of the broken-hearted Jubilee because I was depressed without a girlfriend in my life, only a fat check in my bank account. It was only a party, and that poor puber Marks, whom she had evaded and spent the night with, and so I had snuck out of my humble dormitory quarters, which smelled of rank football cleat shavings and sweat. I needed out. I headed straight to Main Street, where I sought another answer. I began banging furiously on the huge oak doors of Christ Church, emerging from my insides was pure and evil denial of the very God who had created me, the banging continued for quite some time, haunted spirits were overshadowed by the compensating swiftness of my rage attack, I wanted to get inside and see with my own eyes if he was asleep or dead, why, God, God, show me yourself, where are you bang bang bang, nothing, so, I kneeled in front of the doors as if they were my sanctuary, of course, I had prepared for this, I removed one Valium from my tiny drug mart bottle, one pill, then another, then another, then another, and so on, and I shoved them into my mouth until it was nearly full, I reconsidered everything for a moment, and then added the rest of the bottle, I used my left index finger to maneuver the downers to the back of my throat, and then thrust a vile gag. I couldn't swallow, so I chewed the pills as they were quickly dissolving with my saliva, and swallowed, you're going to try and kill me, huh, answer me, damn it, how could you have shamed me, why then I turned god and I'm weak and started crying, the little kid I was only 17, 
I don't believe you anymore, you've become my own demon, how will it get better, how will it and I sat, facing away from the doorway, I was deeply saddened, alone and frustrated I heard a massive thunder bolting over heaven's rooftops, my tears fell with the following downpour of rain, I warmed my chest with my hands, it was nearly winter time but there was still no snow on the ground that year, the rain immediately came to a halt, there was a glare now, directly penetrating the center of my eyeballs, as I looked up at the street lamp causing this, then another glare appeared, from higher up, it was a tiny star in the sky, the glare was so painful that I wanted to grab hold of this little star and choke it, I reached inside my soaked brown carpenter coat and removed my tiny revolver, which I had purchased the day before at the gun shop, on Center Street, downtown, I held the gun in front of my face, with a stare at the tip of the barrel that pounded my brain, it was a very plain gun, I sighed and placed the revolver back in my inside pocket, the surrounding area was now completely empty and isolated, the streets, every cobblestone, gave off steam, there was a cabbie fast asleep at the corner of Main and the phone on my night table rang once, twice, with revolver in mouth, I answered, calmly voiced Bert with my heart pounding like the cylinders of a log truck coming after me at a hundred miles an hour, Hugh wow dial tone, suddenly, an image floated beside me, kind of like a hallucination, I tried to resist it, it was the innocent face of the little girl whose mother must have been in trouble, I withdrew the gun from my mouth and fell, fully clothed, back on my bed for a natural evening's repose. The Valium would keep me asleep for 20 hours. Nobody ever dies from a Valium overdose. They just sleep. I couldn't close my eyes for a half hour and my window shade peered open a bit. The rain had completely stopped and I could barely see the tiny glaring star that had almost ended my life that late, dreadful evening. As I slept, spirits sought and were transformed, drifting further and further into unconsciousness. I was brought back way back to when I was just a dead fetus in my mother's womb. I know that this was a valid memory because my mother told me when I was 13 that I was born unconscious. I felt a murky, muddy, soft rubbery sensation around my body. I was curled up and couldn't move. I could hear bubbling, burping, churning, and swimming sounds. I wasn't too clear on what was going on. Christ, I wasn't even born yet. It seemed like I was swimming in a bowl of chocolate gelatin. Then, after a few moments of supreme harmony it stopped. I've been convinced later on that I was born with a horn-headed monkey that lived on my shoulder. One Thursday, this thing made way on its own, across my face. My squinting eyes would manifest qualities of a hellish demon. I'd hop on my right foot, just the right one, skipping, almost in a patterned fashion. It was like step 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 hop step hop step step step. People questioned it, I just sprained my ankle, or I fell off my bike doing the ghostly rider, excuses, I'd throw my head back, catatonically, twist, smack my stomach, and not because I was hungry or anything, fight urges to stick my pinky finger on a burning stove, ridiculous outbursts due to absurd situations I couldn't tolerate. Georgie has this absurd compulsion to touch others gently on their arms or shoulders while in conversation. Nobody else ever seems to take notice of this behavior, 
as Georgie's dialogue and persona are so much more overwhelming. Georgie Gus sits upon a lonely bench in a deserted graveyard, writing a letter addressed to his father, Dr. Thatcher Gust. He holds up a personal check made out to him for $150,000, signed by Thatcher Gust PhD beside its memo reads, Good luck, son. Georgie's face and body appear in abstract parts, like a puzzle being put together randomly and slowly, mysteriously. One eye, a twitch, the other eye, no twitch, one shaking leg, a twitching nose, and then the reverse, until Georgie becomes whole and wearing the same white, collarless button-down shirt and black pants and black loafers. Dear Pops, he writes, why, how? I just received your mail and I don't think I need to tell you how dear you have been to me with your kindest offer, which I cannot accept for reasons beyond my knowing, nor, that in your kindness I've placed nearly all the satisfaction in my life, it was the only happiness I'd propose to myself, it's now done, I hope, and I have nothing left to persuade you to that which I assure your own judgment will approve in the end. I've known you long enough to conclude that you have all the qualities that make an excellent father, and I shall endeavor to deserve that you may be so to me, but would have you do this upon the most just grounds. I know we're not a very rich family, and such as may conduce most to your quiet and future satisfaction. To you that knows my heart, and from whom I shall never hide it, and whose friendship is built on common grounds, I have no more to say but that I don't impose any opinions upon you, I might defy all that fortune could do, I may own you as a person whom I extremely value and esteem, and for whom I have a particular friendship, and you may consider me after tonight, the 15th of March, one that will always be, your faithful son, Georgie Gust P.S. Tell mom not to worry, as if she ever would. Georgie places the letter in his messy desk's drawer and walks out with her winter coat on and the whole scene changes completely the underbelly of enlightenment sometimes I return to the state of mind I had as a child when I believed nothing was impossible, I'm not an expert on anything only on my own experiences, derived from within, and the world of ideas and systems of thought around me, through experiencing myself, and the world itself both the smallest details and up to the overall picture. In general, part of keeping myself not as lost or fearful of my own feelings and experiences, and to help myself become more mindful, I cultivate, and so incorporate, many tools to cope with the stresses of life, thoughts, feelings, images, and experiences, in my mind and in all nature. I see a cognitive behavioral therapist and, not long ago, I asked him how he's come to find such a way of working so well with an otherwise complicated client myself. His response included such findings, initially, that first I have been a participant, engaging with him, asking questions, reading a tremendous amount about topics that come up when we're in session whether it be a book or two about cognitive behavioral therapy itself, or such subjects as acceptance and commitment therapy and schizophrenia a touch of biochemistry, and other sciences, he also brought to my attention the fact that he's found me, again, rather quickly, through our initial discussions, not to be one who works well with being lectured, as he worded it, I found this to be a revealing insight into perhaps why I have always taken ideas, for example, from any study, religion, class, 
or even conversation, in my own way leaving some, and amending even the most true of truths in order to fit a model that I find works for me in whatever way that it may, or may not. I believe this might not only add to my tendency towards creativity, and perhaps the often eccentric nature of my overall personality, it seems to take me longer than others at times to actually get, or understand, certain things, whether this be a math equation, or some new concept of self-liberation or acceptance, yet, I have developed a sense of patience that seems to make all the waiting okay, and thus simpler. My vision into the world is indeed unique. I believe everybody's vision is unique. I ponder, and in doing so, suppose altogether that I want or desire to live with compassion and mindful attention, so that the world, even if just to myself, might become a place where it's a blessing for both myself and ourselves collectively underneath all that we want, fear, like, dislike, and in which we delight. Any formal or informal teachings, or even lectures of some kind, and any self-help ideas they seem to ideally come down to a common ground of emptiness, around the fact that all things in the world arise for a certain time and disappear for a certain time. In this emptiness, whether through imagery, actually, or a non-clinging, a grasping a remembering to come into the silence inherent within us all creates a giant difference creating my own peace of mind. No matter what form of practice or laws, with transitions or simply any informality by which one might be best led, lies an underlying infinite ocean of peace and joy. This peace and joy was undoubtedly discovered by such figures as the Buddha, Jesus, and Gandhi. I believe it is inherent within all of us, and at any time, it could just be a matter, for myself, of truly discovering it and in this moment it seems to be a matter of remembering remembering to remember returning to discover, and thus to rediscover, like the tide, the waves, rolling in and out missing the mark here and there, but always coming back, I suppose, like the Buddha, when meditating formally, at first, while striving for the middle way, though not under the body tree itself, I strive to resolve and awaken my heart through silence, through a middle ground a way of living discovering my own Buddha nature, to live compassionately with and without all other life in this truly peaceful world, both inner and outer, which is available to all, no matter what might present itself in our own individual life experiences, we can, and I think all do, sometimes without knowing it necessarily on a conscious level, access the overall knowing itself, with compassion, generosity, virtue, or just letting go, into our hearts, the peace that's always found there, inside, it's when all know that all of us, as a whole, will always be able to access such an awakened liberation and freedom with ourselves, and the world that surrounds us, to awaken, for me, has its genesis with the remembering remembering being the first step, I remember, through all the noise currently in my personal life, experiencing that the peace all those peaceful words, and all the best quotes in the world that regard peace, well-being, happiness, and joy they begin with a starting point. Even with every word I type, as I type, I remember coming back to reaching my own middle ground, in my own way. I invite you to awaken in your own way, to use what you already have and already know to find whatever it is that you want or cherish the most it's already inside all you have to do is find it.
My own practice of this remembering is all right here inside me, and it is inside us all otherwise it seems to be such a general, overall idea, in a way but profound and true true to me. The more I feel either positive or neutral about any noise, disturbance, or fear, the less negative the less I attach to it and cling to my own automatic choice to suffer. I remember I remember to just keep coming back whenever I can. That's where I'm with myself and with the world, just right now, in the moment, in the now. This is again the best day of my life. What else could it be? What else could this experience be without the now, which is all I have? In a way, the now is all that I'm. Otherwise, what's written here would not have even been considered, or conceived, in any way, and yet I did choose it. I'm choosing it this day, to keep remembering, to return. The forces of fear, doubt, aggression, and confusion come to me when I first sit in any meditation. I awaken and quiet the noise. That is where I'm, then, in time. I finally reach my own sense of peace and freedom in my heart. I look at the world in a whole new way with everybody, including myself, just wanting to be happy, with joy and liberation in whatever way, through formal Tibetan Buddhism, or Judaism any religious practice, or simply through one's own awakening souls, starting with my own, steps forward, backward, and back to forward again, and again liberating the middle ground. In this day and age, one doesn't have to travel far away to Tibet, to Israel, or to any other place to access any such teachings from wherever we are, physically or emotionally, or fearful, lost, hurt, agitated, or even addicted, old, sick, or alive or so to speak dead voided with an emptiness, an extreme ennui. It all seems to be a matter of what we are grasping or clinging to, in my opinion, focusing on what we are what we are doing, what others are doing, while all of us, I believe, both suffer and are awake living with the change in things, both good and bad, even the good in the bad. It would otherwise seem so complicated. And that's why I continue to go within to end suffering not through any formal means, but in my own way, in my own time. I find and rediscover my own true nature, for real to find myself in Nirvana, but without labeling it. I think Nirvana itself might be slightly misunderstood otherwise by myself included. I think we can all find ourselves in Nirvana, even during suffering. So I continue taking in a little from all sorts of studies, ideas, and people, even just friends and acquaintances or strangers even the homeless man sleeping on the street, witnessing everything I can to solve my own problem of suffering which, when I cling to it, when mindfulness might have wandered astray to come back to it, having been mindfully within the realm of silence, I had forgotten, I had forgotten to remember, how do I think? while not practicing mindful meditation, formally or informally knowing, in black or white, in vivid pictures often pixelated in words, and, moreover, as a diary post, a journal entry, not necessarily true to traditional storytelling, in moments I think in moments that are black and white, either or, altogether or not at all the things, the abstract baggage, in the form of thoughts, which then turn to feelings, then choices, and action or behavior, was I becoming sick, coming down with a cold or nasty flu bug that everybody around me had come down with, except me, had I been too excited and enthralled, 
creating some exaggerated epiphany of my recent 24, then 48, hours of continuous time with self, in self, mindfully, and, I suppose, slightly in some Buddhist nature. Too deeply engrossed in my own highly personal meditative retreat, it hadn't been a planned event, rather a natural tendency deriving from discomfort and excess of noise. It just occurred. It just happened. I hadn't told those around me what I had been formally doing, while it seemed to be a very informal choice to go within for hours, then days my own silence, where the noise had something to balance it out, all from within. It was blissful not euphoric, necessarily peacefulness kept coming into my thinking process, and as I sat here at my formal desk, sitting upon my formal chair, each stroke of the key onto the screen seeming automatic, extremely slow, effortless, and graceful, I'm caressed by something that feels almost transmitted through me through my own heart. Often, during times like this, it becomes the case that I later discover I produce my best writing from the heart similar to speaking directly from my heart source about healing, whether at a support group or in front of an audience of some kind, regarding a topic or subject that is profound and meaningful overcoming an addiction, talking to someone from far away who is considering self-injury. I just speak, or write, during such times, and while the shape of my thoughts, with its title, thinking as a streaming diary post metaphors slip in and out, adjusting, arranging automatically the content in my heart evolving into ever, shifting gentle and slow paragraphs, in my mind, as I write, changing, shifting again, readjusting and responding. By the end of such speech or letter creative communication while at once somehow formatting itself, with some extraneous distractions, I fail to recall or remember what I might have said, or what I'm doing right now, what I've written or imparted if anything at all. I only remember afterward, another person, having been freed from his or her wrong thought, resulting in destructive behavior, or somebody shaking my hand and telling me that what I had said at the support group was exactly what they needed to hear, or that what I said or wrote led somebody to come out of the closet, or begin on their own new quest for self-healing, or change, to a brief thank you, to no response or reaction at all, and none expected often just my own passive reflection onto such unfortunate interactions which, by the end of some stormy and emotionally turbulent evening, had simply been too late, and the world loses someone, then someone is boring. Often, it simply isn't or wasn't the right time in the life of a person on the other end of the telephone line to hear my heart in the way that I had intended, that is, to save someone else. We often have to go within ourselves, remembering that I have likely, quite visibly, candidly, and naturally, just forgotten to come back and onto the next paragraph, breathing and relaxing, to return, as this particular written word had not been written quite as I had visualized it at first, the outline in my own continuous meditation, still holding my own metaphorical porcelain and deeper into its own utopia, which becomes mine once again, presenting itself as a mantra in itself porcelain, utopia, over and over. Feeling unbelievably real, and present, it was and is myself who was and is still present out of desire, as a choice, remembering to return to my own thinking, down to the feeling in my heart center, 
in order to change through not thinking, when thinking is still, and again, a part of my own way of non-thought, the moments become less and less moment by moment, and more continuous, within my own inner recollection at about the 36th hour inside I made a decision based on a familiar fear of actually reaching such a place of peace in the silence, in my own way, moreover, remaining until the time to part from it and become more with the outer world of materialism came, the clutter came back, the flickering lights, the flying bee above me who still looks for his way back out to his own home, not here to distract me, not here in order to sting me, I leave the bee alone allowing the bee inside to be, he'll find his way, as I shall and always always finding my way back, back home into my core essence, even if in the chaotic midst of the busy Grand Central Station it's always here, not close by closer than close, within and right here, we all have this capacity, to some, it's more of a second nature, and for myself I still, and may always, yearn to truly know it, at times it feels like my own soul can't, and shouldn't, be able to sustain it or allow it, I must I must stay, through this meditation, even just the sitting on the Adirondack chair outside in the sun where I came to visualize this piece of writing, the only part that has remained is the idea the returning and the remembering, and all the while, even just remembering to sit down, to meditate, even to think, if I thought there was and is nothing at all casual about it, it seemed to be, at first, but that is one of the moments I shall remember most when my soul itself might simply be incapable of bearing any noise or peace for too long again, to know that it's about something being so near, right here, no struggling necessary, only what is touch, feeling, and sound beyond sound, an earth beyond earth, a presence beyond everything else, and only to now walk a few steps, of course, its end here is merely another beginning, just waking up, where am I, I'm in our bedroom, with my wife, not once again, in the cold and dry unfinished area of our home on the tattered old wicker couch, freezing with the winter's cold, which I often believe is where I deserve to sleep imprisoned, my brain is not always manageable, so I make lists and instead of having a fully structured environment, I give myself and my mind room to be what it is showering once a day, eating not too much and not too little, working on my creative projects and meditating sometimes just sitting still in my own world just letting it be, being that my thinking alone is not fashioned as an outline cohesion, but rather flighty topic number one to the next to a part of the following fragment pressure to a part of the part of, whatever, back to the prior thoughts inserting the part of one, integrating into another and escalating its own matrix non-linear one, two. 3. Turning into a geometric overlapping matrix of patterns, fragments but not to confuse you too much with this description of my particular confusion itself, yet, I understand it, it makes sense to me, but generally not to others they get lost, perhaps detached, as they are understandably unable, as human beings, to meet me there, does that make some sense, I might be on a road trip with my wife? and we have a rather important need to keep our eyes open for exit 72, if we miss it, we might have to backtrack a good hour and must be someplace off exit 72 within 15 minutes, for whatever reason, I keep my eye out for the exit sign, 
but get caught off guard by a billboard that gives me a fantastic idea for a title for a story I've been working on now I need that title, and the story, the book and its premise, I'd send to whichever publishing house I'd think would be a great fit, perhaps it would make me a famous person, and with my brilliant computer knowledge, I'm sure I could come up with a program that could effortlessly write stories on its own, and I consider the idea that it would be new and great, and well, kind of like a Facebook or eBay, and how I could go public selling stock but I need my wife to remember the new title so that I don't forget it or but she's still dead set on just finding exit 72, I feel ignored, I drop my thoughts, sink into despair, and start mumbling to myself, talking to my own voices, calling in angels, and speaking gibberish, this takes its toll on my wife, and my being so absorbed without any realization of how my wife cannot meet me with my new title if not my new great invention it takes its toll on all of us all of us and she and I miss the exit, we would miss where we needed to be, and all I would feel is a non-appreciation of my great talk, my sing-song my illness, schizophrenia, so, I allow myself to more safely interject this with a likely random thought, seeing where it goes, being legally blind can create many difficulties, especially when my eye doctor says I see 20 slash 20. So far, in this writing, it has taken me 52 minutes to get to this word. Yes, I timed it. My glasses are off, and my face is about a centimeter from the screen. I'm incredibly nearsighted. The font is currently set at 20 point size. The dyslexia is difficult enough, but I keep at it. I don't overdo it. I went to the mall this past weekend by myself, for the first time in years, I didn't drive there, since 2006, I have felt a responsibility not to drive, due to my Tourette's syndrome, my hallucinations, the coordination, quick thinking, and decision making aspects of driving are something I cannot trust, it would be very difficult to have driven, when even my psychiatrist believes I should drive, and have killed someone or hurt someone, even myself, and knowing it would have likely been my fault. The last three times I did drive, I drove off a cliff with a seat belt on and totaled my Italian supercar, yet the airbags left me with only burns on my hand and arm. I walked home, looking back, although the car was totaled, I was able to afford an excellent restoration. When selling it, with about a $200,000 investment, it returned me a mere $5,000. By the way, an insert, there's no worthwhile investment in any Italian cars, whether it be Ferrari, Lamborghini, or Maserati. R, my first smile in a long time, writing this, I went German, BMW. One day in 2006, I got a speeding ticket in Newport Beach. The next day, in the exact same place, with the same police officer, I got another, driving away in my new car, I pulled onto the freeway and a freightliner sideswiped my compact M3, the car flipped, the massive, but friendly, truck driver had corporate insurance and was more than willing to help, airbags and seat belts saved me again, once again, and before any police officers arrived, I stumbled home alone a good 10 or 20 miles, I never drove again. I'd been feeling so guilty and shameful these last few weeks, reading the facts about how exactly how my schizophrenia affects others, hurts others, 
and not in the way that everyone affects other people, I sent a few hundred messages to my old friends, apologizing for good times lost, even if these were from as early as elementary school, it didn't seem to do any good, I had wanted to get out of the two or three weeks of depression this has been causing me, knowing but not really knowing, I have, and continue to hurt people, those closest to me, I wanted to write a diary post and record a podcast once I overcame it but I did not, to just be with exactly and only what is as things are, this has been the answer, as for the dozens of pages of notes I had been compiling when I could manage to get out of bed, stop the sobbing, and try to write comprehensive, helpful, I hoped, and personal writing, being with things exactly as they are in fragments, in continuous fluctuation and confusion and pain, this is the outcome just some random thoughts, nothing earth shattering, nothing Lamborghini about it, just a beat up bird running old Chevy or something, metaphorically the version of my own capabilities and limitations so as not to let the overstimulation in my brain become too overwhelming, when I first enter the office to write, this morning at 5.30 it is now just past 8am and I have taken only one 5 minute break I was glad I hadn't pushed myself too hard for the written words thus far, but what about what I had once wanted desperately to include, I'll just have to keep it to myself, or rather let go and move on, move forward, and as for my not being happy with how this has ended up or come out, or with any problem with syntax, again, for whatever it is, the only point I wanted to make in whatever I was going to write today, I'm truly being okay with things exactly as they are plain and simple, that is literally all of it, with no thinking too hard about what that means, only literally so even when my moods cycle rapidly, or a suicidal thought, just a thought, slips in, it's rare, but it happens I do the right thing, making my medical team aware, so that they can deal with it accordingly, until it goes away whatever it is, be it symptom of schizophrenia or symptom of life, last night, for example, my mood cycled about 25 times in one hour, partially induced because a friend of mine was going through his own crisis, and with mine having been lifted, I felt such a pressured need to help him, from far away, I overdid it to say the least, and now I don't know if I actually helped him or made his own symptoms worse, as mine became, but, like I said, I let it go, in the sense of being okay with my good intentions, in a way, causing my moods to shift, when I realized I was powerless over it all, I went back to being okay with things exactly as they were and uh, I returned, I'll likely slip and once again miss the mark, but hey, that's life, to strive to come back to being okay, just okay, accepting things exactly as they are, no matter what or how good or bad, just to be okay with exactly how things are, is a really helpful idea that I think is realistic for me to have in my little self-help toolbox, the rest might as well be just filler material, because I have the time and I do like to write, no matter how well anymore, or how many people I touch, just to be okay with it. I give thanks for the God Source's presence in my life and for the blessings it has bestowed upon me. Thank you, for all the relationships in my past, present, and future that have helped me to come to this place. Each one has taught me significant lessons about myself. Today, I'm grateful, 
Yet I find myself in a state of self-examination. I tend to doubt myself, very often questioning myself whether I'm a good person or a bad person. My marriage is not in jeopardy, but a great deal of the audiences I've acquired on other writing platforms and media are brought in from the themes I write about, such as relationships, divorce, and healing, mainly self-help, self-healing, and spirituality. I mean no harm in this, and would like to broaden this writing to a more general idea of, let's call it, the worst-case scenario, because I love my wife, and I know that she loves me. We are good, even great, together, but in 2009 we separated. She has often written about this period in our lives in her own stories, so I would like, because I'm able, to reach into some of the feelings and events that surfaced more often during that period of time. We have since become reconciled, in 2010, and are celebrating our four-year anniversary on the 26th of April this month. Like the Archangel, Haniel, as I call her, my beautiful, perfect just the way she is wife, I write this to come to a place of more self-forgiveness my latest quest, to hopefully impart some information to those of you who will read, or have read, my other works, many of which I have removed from the public arena, those who might be struggling with a relationship, or who may, in fact, be thinking, I've had enough, I write out of compassion and understanding, Yet the bottom line is, what is written is different from what is said aloud, and in person. My wife is away until tomorrow. I fear she might think I'm attacking her dart. Maybe that's just my illness speaking. In a fight between you and the world, back the world, Franz Kafka I crave for ease of living and ease of mind, peace of mind, and with my lovely wife being away, my heart does cry. To any of you having the slightest bit of self-doubt, or whose minds may be screaming. Mine is now content. It's easier for me to be able to access the feelings of a more panicking state, without being affected with panic. Marriage, if you are married, is to be treasured and, of course with 100% love for my wife, this is not meant to be personal yet I always run that risk. My wife is a very sensitive woman. It's one of my favorite things about her. Emotion has taught mankind to reason, Marquis de Vauvna. So, to all of you who are seeking inspiration in relationships, and healing, self-healing, in particular, my heart goes out to you. Staying together can, and should, work. Happiness is the interval between periods of unhappiness. Don Marquis stay together, of course, unless there is violence or anything life-threatening going on. That's a no-brainer, and yet a whole other topic. Happiness is not being pained in body or troubled in mind. Thomas Jefferson living with me, a mentally ill and, quite honestly, a very disturbed and troubled man, can be, and is, very difficult. Resiliency. 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 We do not have to visit a madhouse to find disordered minds. Our planet is the mental institution of the universe. Gertie A. Marriage is not something to be given up on without deep examination of the alternatives. Countless difficult marriages are salvageable. I believe that many marriages can be rescued, through counseling, through organizations, through prayer, and sometimes through simple, honest communication. Stress is nothing more than a socially acceptable form of mental illness. Richard Carlson marriage could, and I think can, and should, continue. Nobody would die if a couple stayed together. 
mental illness is nothing to be ashamed of, but stigma and bias shame us all. Bill Clinton life goes on. You must always be puzzled by mental illness. The thing I would dread most, if I became mentally ill, would be your adopting a common sense attitude, that you could take it for granted that I was deluded. Wittgenstein A person who is profoundly unhappy in a marriage is also depriving his or her partner of the experience of being wholly loved and accepted, rather than endured. A person who silently cries out, I can't live this way, and then does live this way, despite his or her cries, is also quietly teaching their inner child to ignore its own inner voices, and failing to convey to them what may be the most important lessons we can teach it, the inner self. That is to say, be true to yourself, and celebrate the extraordinary gifts of being alive. Live your life to the fullest, and be the best person you can be. It's your life. Live it with people who are alive. It tends to be contagious. Peter McWilliams' marriage does have rough edges, imperfect fits, occasional pains, and regular disagreements. Every marriage does, including some very good and healthy ones and especially those with irreconcilable differences, two partners in the same marriage may not necessarily agree on just where their own marriage stands. When you're going through hell, keep going, Churchill life is too precious to spend crying and arguing, adulthood is too valuable to spend crying out, this isn't right, etc. If you feel this way, you might consider changing your life situation, or your attitude toward it, your opinions and so-called judgments of yourself. Lately, this is precisely what I've been working on, with the excellent help of my cognitive behavioral therapist. Maintaining a marriage, keeping it, and staying married are often the best possible situations. The only way to change old ways of life, and thinking processes, is often not to leave, or to give up, but to work at it. I love my wife and I'm grateful for every passing moment with her, and when she is away, like she is now, at a special event in Florida, we live in New Mexico, my love and longing for her deepen, you can feel like a mental patient, but that doesn't mean you have to live like one, Marshall Linen, founder of DBT, Dialectical Behavior Therapy, I know that living with me can be quite difficult and challenging, my illness, schizoaffective disorder, seems to take its toll on everyone, and I can become mean, hurtful, and bad, but I believe I'm a good person underneath it all. Whether in a relationship with somebody who is mentally ill, or not, I hope these particular words might save someone from possibly destroying something so special, when it might simply have been a misunderstanding, something taken out of context, or simply argued over in the heat of the moment. Let that moment go, and return. When someone is in a temper with us, or more deliberately wishes us harm or is jealous, and perhaps wishes us to have bad luck, or that misfortune falls upon ourselves, or our loved ones, it can be very unnerving even if the words or actions were spoken or done unto us days, months, or even years ago. Such bad feelings, however, always belong to the sender, and they can also be returned, not with anything added but just as they are, by sending back the negativity, it seems also to block future nasty things coming from the same person or group of people, when such darkness falls, I relax and push against an imaginary window, as if I'm pushing very gently as if I'm pushing a force away from me, I say, very simply, and quietly, 
I return the pain, send it not again, or sometimes, I return your bad wishes, I do not accept them, do not send them again, may it all be as it was before. Looking through some biblical material, I noticed that Joseph, with his religion, had used God's grace in his adversity. He was sold into slavery in Egypt, according to the Bible. He was mistreated and taken advantage of. Even when he was wrongly accused of rape and put away in prison, he thrived. Later, through his faith, he was released, and was even put in charge of the whole of Egypt's agricultural affairs. Faith and hope can come in the midst of life's challenges. When someone mistreats me, as happened yesterday, I use my faith in my own higher power, waiting in my own prison for it to show up. We've got to reach bedrock, to become sufficiently depressed, before we are forced to accept the reality and enormity of the problem. Initially diagnosed with depression in 1994 at the age of 18, I was prescribed antidepressants, including the newest of the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, SSRIs. Unfortunately, these triggered mania, and to combat this, I began to drink, which intensified my psychological instability and led to an addiction that I was finally able to overcome when I was 26. However, as difficult as the disorders have been, in many ways, I have been blessed. Many call me a gifted artist, and I have frequently used my art to exorcise my own demons of isolation and loneliness. In 1998, I dramatized those issues in my award-winning film, Ten Years, which I produced, directed, and wrote while attending NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. In 2008, I once again dramatized those themes of isolation and loneliness in another award-winning film, On the Bus, which, in addition, explores the horrors and chaos of mental illness. Through the eyes of the main character Larry, we see the uncontrollable, tumultuous symptoms of schizophrenia and post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, as brought on by a random act of violence. A single act of violence rarely causes severe mental illness. Current research indicates that such illness is generally a result of a genetic predisposition combined with environmental factors. My case would seem to validate that research, as there is a history of mental illness in my family, and I have suffered repeated trauma. Whatever the genesis, beginning in 2009 and culminating in the summer of 2010, I experienced a severe psychotic episode that manifested in inappropriate, violent outbursts and regnant destructive behavior. Ultimately, however, this episode brought me the help I needed, including a comprehensive psychological workup that provided an accurate diagnosis and the right medication. Now psychologically stable, I invite others to behold my candid daily encounters with the symptoms of schizophrenia. In the past, I have been known to willingly and genuinely share my life, while not necessarily in the same vein as prolific figures such as Elon R. Sachs and K. Redfield Jameson, I continue to illustrate my personal ongoing struggle with chronic mental illness nurturing truth, acceptance, fiction, transgression, and community. My art, imagination, and various creative outlets are simply my own catalysts for continuous resiliency and recovery. With the launch of my now former and viral website, as of December 2013, I had turned another engaging and uplifting page of my story.
I hope to impact others in some way through my publicized journey of how one individual copes with the perpetual roller coaster of schizophrenia and Tourette's syndrome, some material stranger than fiction. I consider myself a still recovering schizophrenic, an accomplished writer, producer, and musician who writes about mental illness and new age ideas and treatments, and again a darker side, a much darker side, to which you will likely bear witness. Alas, my autobiography, my intention has never been to accuse, attack, or even blame. My intention is to heal, and to forgive others, as well as myself when delusions are real. The point of the series is to get a conversation going about how those of us diagnosed with psychotic disorders get people to believe our truths. After all, once you've been diagnosed as being psychotic, your credibility is never the same, even when you are speaking the truth. I have a podcast on iTunes in which I reveal a lot about myself, and lately I've noticed how much these podcasts have been teaching me about myself and what I've lost. This illness has taken a great deal from me, including my ability to gain recognition for my accomplishments. So, what I'd like to do here is recognize some of those accomplishments, knowing that had my life been different, they could have been acknowledged in a more public arena, knowing, too, that, because I have schizoaffective disorder, which is characterized by delusional thinking, hallucinations, and mood fluctuations, even when I speak the truth, I'm often dismissed and not believed, and my truths are defined as mere delusions. I want to acknowledge my accomplishments not only for myself, but for all of you out there, as well. Those of you who may or may not already be diagnosed with schizophrenia, bipolar, or any other serious mental disorder, whose truths, like mine, are so frequently dismissed as delusions. It upsets me even to write this, to realize that those around me can, and do, categorize what I say as delusional, and I wonder if that happens to all of you, as well. I'd like to start off by briefly mentioning that I was diagnosed with Tourette at the age of 12, although, according to my mother, I had shown symptoms since I was aged two years. I sometimes wonder whether I was even then showing signs of the psychosis that has plagued me for my entire adult life. I was 18 when I had my first psychotic episode. It was Christmas Day, 1994. I was living in New York City, and was admitted to Beth Israel, where I was given a number of tests medical and psychological. My toxicology report came up 100% clean, a clear indication that my psychosis was not drug-induced. My intake report by the ER doctor shows I had a loosening of association and pressured speech, both of which can indicate schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, or bipolar disorder with psychotic features. No wonder it took so long for me to get the right diagnosis, so many of the symptoms overlap. But I want to bring this back to delusion and truth, and how people so frequently label your truths as delusional, once you've been diagnosed with a psychotic disorder. Further, I will discuss its genesis and prognosis and then move on to those accomplishments for which I've never truly been recognized. I often wonder if other people, like me, have trouble being believed. As I may have mentioned already, serious mental illness, such as schizoaffective disorder, is believed to be caused first by genetic predisposition to develop mental illness, and second from environmental factors. In my family, 
I have a grandfather who seems to have been diagnosed with schizophrenia, according to old medical records I found recently. In addition, I have two second cousins, both of whom have been publicly diagnosed with mental illness, so, I would sure seem to be genetically predisposed to becoming mentally ill. But having the predisposition isn't enough, you need certain environmental factors, as well. What I've read in some literature is that mental illness can be compared to diabetes. A person may be genetically predisposed to develop diabetes, but if that person gets enough exercise and watches their sugar intake, then the diabetes may never take hold. It's the same with mental illness. In my case, I had the predisposition, and I had enough traumas sexual, physical, and emotional abuse and upheaval, like my parents' divorce when I was young that the illness took hold. Boy, did it take hold. Sometimes, though, people, like my sister, who have a genetic predisposition, plus environmental factors, my sister came from the same family, had the same kind of upheaval, do not become mentally ill. Nobody knows why. Maybe, as my wife says, it's just the luck of the draw. She's kidding, at least about the luck part, because having mental illness isn't lucky. But we do have to keep laughing about it. Keep positive. You're never alone if you can laugh with someone about it. As I've mentioned, I have schizoaffective disorder. Originally though, I was diagnosed with depression. This was back in 1994, when I was 18. Over the next 10 years or so, I saw doctor after doctor, moving here and there, trying to find my place in the world. I made seven suicide attempts and had years of alcohol and drug abuse issues. My last suicide attempt was in 2001, and I was freed of my drug and alcohol addiction in early 2003, more than 11 years ago. As I was getting off the drugs, I saw a doctor who diagnosed me with schizoaffective disorder, which basically means schizophrenia with a mood disorder thrown in and, in my case, that mood disorder is bipolar with manic features. But then, in 2005 and 2006, I saw a doctor who said I didn't have schizoaffective disorder, I had a personality disorder. The point is that getting the right diagnosis can be time-consuming and frustrating, but necessary, as once I was re-diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder, I was able to get on the right medication. But that's a different story altogether. What I'm focusing on here is being diagnosed with any type of mental illness that includes psychotic features, which then makes it nearly impossible for people around you to believe your truths. But not only do I have the double whammy of a thought disorder coupled with a mood disorder, I also have Tourette's syndrome, which is considered severe, since it usually tapers off in one's 20s and mine did not. I'm 38 now. So along with the confusion I suffer and the mood fluctuations, I also tick and sometimes engage in coprolalia, which is involuntary swearing or yelling out racial epithets, heart combination. Added to that mix, I also seem to have aspects of obsessive-compulsive disorder I have to keep my computer arranged just so. PTSD I frequently relive earlier traumas, attention deficit disorder I can't focus on anything for any period of time. Autism or Asperger's like Temple Grandin, I may be smart, but I can't read social cues at all, makes it difficult to hang out and just be one of the guys, my current psychiatrist, Dr. C, 
who never hesitated to diagnose me, as others had, saw me when I was at my worst, I was in the middle of a psychotic episode, was in the process of a divorce, my wife and I have since reconciled, and I had no money, as my family had cut me off from my trust income, in the past, too many doctors had seen me when I did have my money, and I could hire the people to do what I couldn't shop, drive, clean, those sorts of things, and because those other doctors saw me when I could hire the people to do what I couldn't, they all considered me to be too high functioning to have any form of schizophrenia, as a result of being considered high functioning, for years I was diagnosed as having a personality disorder, some doctors thought I had borderline personality disorder, BPD, others thought I had a personality disorder not otherwise specified, NOS, let me tell you, having the right diagnosis has turned things around at last, I'm now on the right medication, my wife and caregivers know the nature of the illness, and know some excellent ways of dealing with it and with me. Although the illness will never go away, I do have hope that I'll continue to get the right treatment and that my life will continue to get better. Now, the big one, what do you do when people assume your truths are delusions? Let's start with just a little bit more background. At the last count, I'd had approximately 30 rehab stints and or hospitalizations. That's a lot. When you're hospitalized, especially involuntarily, People tend to dismiss everything you say as a symptom of your illness. I understand that, but I don't like it, because it's hard when people don't believe me. A couple of examples, I moved to Los Angeles in January 2001 because I wanted to be a Hollywood screenwriter. I was two days shy of my 25th birthday. I was a go-getter back then, a social butterfly, and found it easy to introduce myself to just about anyone. As a result, I met Joanna Cassidy, Dick Van Dyke, Robert Downey Jr., Mel Gibson, and others. Then, as my drug and alcohol use spiraled out of control, I got myself into rehab. Since I had access to my trust fund, I could afford the rehab facilities where celebrities went, places like Promises in Malibu. In those places, I met movie producers, writers, actors, musicians, and kids of celebrities. The point is, I met all these people, and some I befriended. And, because so many of the rehab facilities didn't help me stay off drugs and alcohol, I, along with a friend, started my own facility, Wavelengths, which also catered to celebrities. Wavelengths took a more proactive approach to getting people off drugs and alcohol. If you ever saw the show The Cleaner, you'll have a better idea of what I mean by proactive. In fact, that show was based on the friend with whom I started Wavelengths, and although I was never credited, I was also co-creator of the show. But now, when I tell people about The Cleaner or knowing Chuck Lorre or Robert Downey, J.R. or Mel Gibson, they smile blankly, nod their head, and dismiss what I say as a delusion. That's maddening if you'll pardon the pun. Another example, in the summer of 2010, I checked myself into a facility in Colorado so I could get on the right meds and try to get myself restabilized. Since I was being admitted as a patient with schizoaffective disorder, which is characterized by a thought disorder, including delusions, both my wife and my doctors spoke with the facility before I was admitted. 
so the doctors and social workers would know I wasn't delusional about the people I knew. My wife and doctor also let the facility know of my financial background, because I don't always look rich. Lately, I like to dress in t-shirts and pajama bottoms. I like to keep my hair permed and wild, and I like to wear a beard. As a result, sometimes, when I'm admitted, the staff person will write that I'm a little unkempt, and when I then start talking about the money I'm worth, that staff person will flash a little, tight smile like, of course, you are, and I have a Swiss bank account, those staff people don't always know that I can tell what they are thinking I can see it on their faces and they feel free to openly doubt my truth. More on delusions, the reason I write is to share my story, and sometimes I've got to admit it's hard knowing that a lot of people may not believe me. I bring this up because I'm sure that those of you who read what I write must have as complicated a story as mine. I am just spelling out some things kind of straight from the heart sharing with all of you. My family, as I've mentioned, is rich and powerful. Maybe your family is, or was, not rich or powerful, but still I think you'll understand. Their money and their power helped make me who I'm, just as your parents helped make you who you are. And I'm not attacking anyone. I'm simply telling the story of my life. I have earned the right to do that. Come to think of it, though, maybe I never had to earn the right to tell the story of my life. People have a right to their own stories, and to tell those stories in their own voice, no one else's. This is my time, my story, not my family's. And I owe it to all of you to share a little taste of the complexity of my life, so you'll understand the complexity of your own life. So, yes, my family is rich and powerful. That is not a delusion. You can look them up yourself. They are public people. Sometimes I think because they are public people, they have had a hard time accepting me for who I'm. I know they have had a hard time accepting my diagnosis. And, really? I'm not attacking them. Maybe they can't accept my diagnosis because they think it will reflect badly on them. I haven't talked to my family in a few years. I wish I felt sad about that, but I can't. My family doesn't love me. Sometimes I think they might even hate me, because they cut off my money and they cut off contact with me. But I'm getting sidetracked what my wife calls going off on a tangent, so I'll stop. One area that has always been hard and that created a lot of misunderstanding in my family is my diagnosis. No one has ever accepted that I had the wrong diagnosis for years, and that getting the right diagnosis has helped me move forward. Not that a diagnosis makes the illness easy, and, in many respects, a diagnosis is nothing but a label. However, with the right diagnosis, or label, you can get the right medication, the right therapy, and people like caregivers who know how to deal with you. The right diagnosis is a starting point, so you can read about whatever label you have been tagged with, or might need to be tagged with. In my case, I was tagged with BPD for years. On one hand, that would not have been a bad diagnosis because people then wouldn't label me as being delusional. On the other hand, when people thought I had BPD, they accused me of lying. Which brings me back to my family. In the past, my family has told me to snap out of it and to get my act together, and then I would be fine. You can't snap out of schizophrenia. You may get the symptoms under control, and you may even, 
as John Nash did, seem to recover from the disorder, but you don't, and can't, snap out of it, my family, believing that I was capable of getting my act together, created a lot of tension between us, I use the past tense here because I don't know if they believe my diagnosis yet, as I've mentioned, we've had no contact since January 2010, so I don't know what they believe, in January of that year, my family cut me off, and stripped me of any help, I had no gardeners, no driver, I no longer drive, I had nothing, based on what they wrote to me at the time, they seemed to think they could do a little tough love, like you see on intervention, and I would agree to get better, I was never not agreeing to get better, believe me, it's no fun having schizoaffective disorder, if your family or loved ones already believe your diagnosis, you are that much farther ahead because if they believe the diagnosis, they can help. I'm taking my own advice today and staying positive. I think of all I have lost, and I can get very depressed. At one time, I had editors, and housekeepers, free travel, a huge inheritance, my trust funds, and lavish cars. I'd been to the best schools in the country. I had public figure parents and several celebrities in my extended family, some of whom had actually, quite publicly, been diagnosed with mental illnesses. When I compare what I once had to what I now have, I can get depressed. I focus on the past and fail to appreciate the present. Taking my own advice to stay positive, I have three dogs, seven cats, and one bird. Now, some people might not think having so many animals is positive, but I like walking through the house and being followed every time, at least by one of them. My animals are one positive, another positive. I no longer have diabetes. I have lost so much weight that my blood sugar is normal. I still take one of the diabetic meds because it can prevent diabetes, and also because the other meds can cause diabetes, but I'm healthier than I was. No diabetes is another positive. My wife is the third positive. We reconciled two years ago, and so far we are working things out and trying to help each other. My work is the fourth positive. The schizoaffective disorder has really affected my thinking and my emotions, but it hasn't touched my creativity. I podcast, make music, movies, and I write a journal. I have even sold a couple of songs on iTunes. My memories are the fifth and final positive for today. Although my father and I had a falling out in 2009, that's his issue. He and I have had great, absolutely fantastic, times together, and I treasure the memories. And when I focus only on those memories, I can stay positive. For many reasons, I have had quite a few psychiatrists over the years. My current doctor who I call Dr. C is the one who most recently diagnosed me as having schizoaffective disorder. When I went to see her the second or third time, I brought along five bookshelves worth of my journals, my diaries, all my written documentation of madness the faxes and emails that prove that 1000 hours of film that had I shot had been stolen. That's it. Can't do anything about it. I have proof of a software development proposal I made when I was 15, got a scholarship to business school, honors, and recognition. I was like John Nash except I was proposing software, not math, and what I proposed would have been the first online shopping interface. But it got taken away, like everything. 
I have a proof, the actual documents, real, these truths are mine, and I have schizophrenia, and I even have delusions but I know, and my wife knows, and my close friends know, that these are real, not delusions, I spent three years of my life developing a show for A&E television, I have the proof, I save everything, faxes to the actual producers and anyway, my point is that I have lived an incredible life and often, all too often, facts become so-called delusions to others, mostly to the others who actually count, like medical professionals, it matters to me, all of this really matters to me, it means something very special to me because it is about me, from my perspective only my perspective that's the only perspective I know for sure, it's part of my story, or, as some might consider it, the myth of that stupid Jonathan kid, I know who I'm, and I think I know who my friends are, I know I'm a legitimate and loving and grateful spiritual human being who deserves to be loved and accepted and who deserves to make decisions and to make mistakes, to be forgiven to be myself, the real me, the Jonathan Harnish who is not alone, who is loved, the Jonathan whose moods and behaviors might be a bit difficult to predict, a guy, a citizen, with schizophrenia, a full spectrum of mental maladies, who believes in some kind of higher power who believes in himself, who tries, and tries, and tries who never gives up, or even tries to give up resiliency, who struggles every single day as an adult who is still being abused, who has been abandoned and treated like waste, a mistake, manipulated, Jonathan Harnish who is a teacher and a student, a rich kid who used to ride up front with his limousine driver, someone who used to be a real asshole, often due to his drinking and drugging, and to mimicking what he saw growing up in the people who should have done better, but just didn't know how, to protect him, I have been in therapy since I was 9, and was put away on far too many medications since I was 12, some of which I'm still physically addicted to, some which have caused me to gain weight, and develop tardive dyskinesia, chronic muscle stiffness, and some of which I was actually allergic to, causing me to rage, and even increased my tendency to drink alcohol, I chose what I did, regardless of what the literature suggests, or what certain medical studies indicate, I'm who I'm, and I have my own story my own version of my own story, it changes and adjusts on a constant basis, I've been closed up for so long, I'm opening up, I'm not being inappropriate, I don't need to be judged, but I will be judged, I don't need to worry about what others think of me, but I actually do care what other people think of me, I can't control other people, come to think of it, I can't control what thoughts come into my head and I can't control which ones leave, so how can I control other people, or their thoughts, on a deeper, or more spiritual level, how can anybody control the galaxy? How about the billions upon billions of existing galaxies, and the billions of galaxies that have not yet even been discovered, that is what we are living with within at the same time, even Jesus, he experienced the full gamut of the human emotion spectrum, having been so called spirit in human form, he was killed for that, for being who he was for being honest and sincere, and essentially, for being real, his life was far from easy. The most enlightened beings in the history of mankind Buddha, Jesus, Mother Teresa, Gandhi, Krishna, and the Dalai Lama they have struggled and suffered every single day of their lives, and they too, 
in a way, live within all of us. I want to let you know that you're not alone. You will never, ever be alone. I'm excited and determined to come to you, who are seeking seeking something. Maybe you're just reading as you sit there at work, or maybe you're my family, checking to see how I'm, if I'm misbehaving, what I'm is a disabled, and yes, a very troubled, adult. But I'm allowed to share my story, my life, I am safe. Now, I laugh now when I say this, but my wife is 24 years older than I'm, and if and when she passes away before I do, or for any reason leaves me, I doubt she will. We seem to be doing very well together, I worry that I will be forced into a psychiatric institution back east, back near my family, when we don't even talk, I worry that it's inevitable, I guess, in conclusion, my life is full of grandiosity, but I still have schizophrenia, and I still have people who seem to have a need to control me, yet, want nothing to do with me, this fascinates me. Why do they still want that much to do with me? Somebody who happens to also be a staff writer for a local news magazine had independently written the following about me, which I had included on my website. It makes me feel so good. See, things can change. Envision a blend of a mentally ill mind with unsurpassed resiliency and fiery intellect and your result would be the brilliant Jonathan Harnish, an all-around artist. Jonathan writes fiction and screenplays, sketches, imagines, and creates. His most recent artistic endeavor is developing music, a newfound passion with visible results already in the making. Produced filmmaker and published erotica author, Jonathan holds myriad accolades, and his works captivate the attention of those who experience it. Manic tone scripts with parallel lives, masochistic tendencies in sexual escapades, and disturbing clarities embellished with addiction, fetish, lust, and love, are just a taste of themes found in Jonathan's transgressive literature. Conversely, his award-winning films capture the ironies of life, love, self-acceptance, tragedy, and fantasy. Jonathan's art evokes laughter and shock, elation and sadness, but overall forces you to step back and question your own version of reality. Scripts screenplays, and schizophrenia are defining factors of Jonathan's life and reality but surface labels are often incomplete. Jonathan is diagnosed with several mental illnesses from schizoaffective disorder to Tourette's syndrome. Playfully, he dubs himself the king of mental illness. Despite daily symptomatic struggles and thoughts, Jonathan radiates an authentic, effervescent, and loving spirit. His resiliency emanates from the greatest lesson he's learned. Laughter. His diagnosis and life experiences encourage him to laugh at reality as others see it. Wildly eccentric, open-minded, passionate, and driven, Jonathan has a feral imagination. His inherent traits transpose to his art, making his work some of the most original and thought-provoking of modern day. Jonathan is an alumnus of Church Rosemary Hall. Subsequently, he attended NYU's Tisch School of the Arts where he studied film production and screenwriting under Gary Winnick and David Irving. During his studies at NYU, he held internships under renowned producers Stephen Haft and Ismail Merchant. He is best known for his short films, On the Bus and Wax, both of which boast countless awards including five indie film awards, three accolade awards, 
and 10 years won the Best Short Film and Audience Award in the New York International Independent Film and Video Festival, to name a few. Despite his impressive formal education and awarded honors, Jonathan is your normal, down-to-earth guy. Meditation, Duran Duran, Vivid Colors, Patrick Nagel Prince, and rearranging furniture are some of his favorite things. Vices include cigarettes, Diet Coke, inappropriate swearing, and sausage and green chili pizza. He enjoys irony, planned spontaneity, redefining himself and change. Jonathan lives with his beautiful wife, their three dogs and seven cats, in the unique, desert village of Corrales, New Mexico. The following includes part of how I have been putting together some of the pieces of the otherwise shattered stained glass of schizophrenia, as I see it, and from what I have read and heard and just believe. My psychiatrist has often asked me to describe or explain my symptoms, and thus schizophrenia, and I usually do not know how. I simply reply that it is all indescribable. Since then, I have been looking deeper into myself to, at minimum, be able to summarize at least a few of my experiences, both past and present, in order to share with you, as well, some of the complexity demystified. I'd like to share some of my discoveries as I find them, regarding my experiences, false perceptions, and schizophrenic psychosis. Hopefully, I'll succeed in maintaining simplicity so that others might benefit and perhaps understand this otherwise extremely complex disorder. I have come to realize that between my own self, my lovely wife, whom I've known for over six years now, my support team, medical doctors and friends, and even those who might be considered my enemies, I have been helped along the way to self actualizing and thus understanding myself, and I'm where I find myself today. I've been able to find some meaning in schizophrenia, which helps me redefine how I see myself and how the symptoms of schizophrenia came to be. In order to describe them without simply dismissing them as indescribable, please forgive any terminology I might use incorrectly in general, as I'm not a doctor, and I do have schizophrenia, so although I have stabilized, recovered, not cured, I must still admit that I might get it wrong sometimes. We schizophrenics, through our psychosis our delusions, our hallucinations, or reality create or develop a story, a storyline. What is real has many universal implications. Many are extremely personal, symbolic, and moral. As we build the framework of our delusional reality, which tends to fade in and fade out, like with dreaming, it can also become very mystical. The reasons for our realities, which we might not have always had all our lives, can become delusional for mystical and magical reasons. This might be why, for example, when psychotic, the television might seem to talk to us, or we might see and know Jesus again, for reasons of a mystical or even religious nature. It becomes difficult for us to then realize that it is not necessarily real. The further and further we might or might not be drawn deeper into a full-blown psychosis it's just baffling, to say the least the more it is complex and disorganized, yet to us, we might believe wholeheartedly that our delusions are real, based on facts, yet facts that are not correct to others without the illness. Many episodes, thoughts, and experiences combine, thus building up a storyline, which then become more intense and even fascinating and seductive. 
with more and more meaning as the delusional realities or events go on as our lives go on, the meanings become hidden or disguised our realities, hidden, in a way, this illness thus can become very isolating because we have a whole different belief system about the entire world, especially when in a major psychotic episode, it can take years and years to arrive at this fully agitated state, but it's often how we schizophrenics will end up being diagnosed, like when an alcoholic generally needs to bottom out completely before getting help, through our perceptions, as they change over time, a new way of thinking for us then becomes hard to disengage from, precisely like being on a constant, continuous LSD trip, every single day, this is the bottom line, and for me, this acid trip never stops, even when recovered, it's a matter of training and retraining our minds, through therapies, like cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, with medications, and treatment, also a lot of training mental training, which I certainly do on my own, especially when not in a session with my doctor, I'm always checking things over and reality checking, I also find it very helpful to have a friend or loved one to do what I call reality checking or mediating my reality, I can, for example, ask my wife, who loves me deeply, to see if something is or is not what or how I might be perceiving it from her perspective without the illness. There is an element of us losing what is called object permanence, or object consistency my doctor in California once told me, the famous child psychologist Pierce had discovered that, at a very young age, infants will forget about a toy they have been playing with if it disappears from their vision, for example, if a ball rolls out of sight, or someone puts it underneath a blanket, at a certain age, that child will begin to look for that missing toy and when finding it under the blanket, realize that it was in fact there the whole time, it was always there, before that it had, to the infant, mystically gone away disappeared from the world entirely, that's what I mean by mystical reasons, because we lose this object permanence, we see the mysticism in most of our experiences and yes, it fades in and out, but we basically feel that things, in general, will usually happen for mystical reasons. This becomes a part of our belief system, which is pretty hard to change. Enter the double bind, as we can be caught in a contradiction, or a series of them, due to cultural or moral, and both personal and universal, reasons, while the object permanence is out of the picture. We might, for example, based on actual things, in place of object permanence, experience a multiple realities effect, as if being in several dimensions at one time several realities, based on how we grew up, at any given time, one reality may slip into our mindset, and so, for example, while behaving like a racist, our best friend might be African American, it doesn't make sense, during my last psychotic episode early in 2010, I collected, and even wore, Nazi memorabilia and yet I'm both half Jewish, on my mother's side, and handicapped, and I behaved as if racist when my best friend was, and is, African American, we might want to save the world from global warming, however, by doing so we might pollute, and drive gasoline cars, on purpose, in order to save this world cause, a lot of grandiosity, extreme thinking, and thus behavior, with realities slipping in and out are only a part of what baffles science and medicine different realities slipping in, 
overlapping, and combining makes for an extremely difficult scenario to treat and understand from a scientific perspective. We will often think poetically, in addition to symbolically and metaphorically. Poetic thinking can take over, thus our symbolic and deep personal feelings are a huge part of how we schizophrenics might think and reason. We might hallucinate Jesus for a seemingly concrete reason, a very special reason. When helping someone with schizophrenia, a good start is to consider that he or she thinks mostly through concepts of mysticism the idea that everything happens for a deep reason, everything has a very special meaning, and everything is synchronistic. A schizophrenic is often a very traumatized and sensitive person, much more so than your average Joe, living in a brutal world. That's where the help the recovery really starts to take place and healing begins. We schizophrenics must learn, through counseling, to understand ourselves and participate in therapy, sort through our delusional thinking and, often with help, to get back as much of our accurate intuition as possible, take our medicine, and have love and understanding in our lives. In this way, we might be able to reveal our secrets to someone we can trust our secrets of trauma, day in and day out and do our best, resolving as much inner conflict as we can. Peace of mind is what we all want and need. It is my number one goal in life, and has always been. It is what all deserve. Developing a new identity in many ways through our recovery is key. Finding our voice, so that we can be heard and sorting through our mysticism and religious or spiritual experiences and observations of reality. It's a matter of finding those people we can trust, like I said, to help us define or redefine our reality. I have that these days, especially through my wife and my doctors. I live with gratitude. Just like diabetes, schizophrenia simply does not go away, not yet, for any of us. It's always there in the background. The lifelong acid trip yet now. For delusions specifically, I have had delusions that weren't real. Two, and I wanted to start with perhaps why and how we tend to cling to delusional thinking and thus why perhaps I cling to not necessarily a delusion, but the kind of thinking. It's dimensional for me it is a grieving process for me. Missing my old Hollywood lifestyle is what I'm referring to. The content involved with that lifestyle of the rich and famous, the grandiose nature of the thinking itself, the celebrities I had befriended, when I lived and worked in Los Angeles, for example, we often begin with smaller scale hallucinations during the onset period of schizophrenia, delusions, and perceptions there is a root that is actually rational, wrapped around a delusional outer layer, and I think we can actually, yet often we do not doctors, caregivers, loved ones, etc., reach the schizophrenic, while that individual is in a completely psychotic state, by understanding that everything the psychotic schizophrenic individual thinks he does in a synchronistic way. It all starts with the object permanence that we lost this and the one reality we once believed in is replaced based on thoughts and events in our lives, a flow of realities, of things appearing and disappearing at the same time not just the simple ball under the blanket, the rules of both time and place come into effect here, the time is now, and the place, grounded right here on earth, let's call it an earth belief, or thought, these thoughts and beliefs basically can, through the schizophrenic lens, occur at the same time, in this waking dream, 
This constant LSD trip, this synchronicity in real life and the more fluid mindset, Carl Jung first coined the term, synchronicity. If we can think at the core of a schizophrenic in order to reach him or her, it would be to think extremely synchronistical, without being stable enough or properly medicated, our dreams can actually become within the same reality as reality itself. For example, my wife once asked me, Jonathan, are you going to be recording an episode for your podcast today in the meantime, I had been planning on it, and yet I had not told her, I simply said, oh yes, I was actually thinking about it, it's been a while since the last one, now, if I were in a more psychotic state, I might have, rather, the delusional process would have, started with my real life fascination with Edgar Cayce and psychic ideas, my new age books, my meditations into the Akashic field and concluded that my wife was secretly reading my mind, or that she and what she said were mystically connected in some way that she knew something, so that my psychic experiences in the past would have then overlapped with my wife knowing something psychically, mystically, symbolically, and with synchronicity for a deep and personal meaning. Add to that, the paranoia that comes from her reading my mind, that she is there for God because she knows I'm planning on recording my podcast today, without my having told her. The terrifying belief is now ingrained, as we are all often more sensitive to the world as a whole to begin with, even being touched on the hand or ear can create extreme fear for us schizophrenics the idea the belief that, she knew I was going to record a podcast today, synchronicity may have little, or perhaps some, scientific evidence, at least theoretically, yet there are things that we cannot prove, like the definition of time, through science even God, in a state of schizophrenic psychosis, this overlap becomes compounded, as it builds up more intensely and thus perhaps takes over our entire belief system. Perhaps there is a coherent way of explaining how we schizophrenics might create our own reality, our delusional or schizophrenic reality, as I see it, with some things I have laid out so far please bear with me here, I'll speak for myself, and my own experiences, Although the end result is now something I can talk about and demystify, rather than actually believe, due to the proper treatment and therapies and support I now receive, I'll first start with a collection of thoughts, theoretically, let's say, for real, in 2008, I made a film called On the Bus about mental illness it was part of the story in the film, Mel Gibson, an old friend from California. He and I were first introduced to each other in 2001, I listened to the Beach Boys, we'll assume that the music was playing in the car with Mel as we went for a drive, as we did up in the hills of Malibu, Mel Gibson is rich and famous, whether in a state of schizophrenic psychosis or not, since it seems to be a matter of degree a degree of how psychotic we might or might not be or how much of the psychotic part of our minds might have taken hold a matter of our abilities and the constantly fluctuating brain chemistry that we might be able to filter through, perhaps not, and if we might have been successful in redefining our delusional realities to a generally consistent state of well-being, and peace of mind, in a psychotic state, due to our hallucinatory thinking, the chemistry in my brain, our brains, is constantly misfiring, such that the stimuli from the environment go to the wrong places in our brains, 
The effect is similar to putting our hand under cold water and feeling hot. Essentially, though, with the schizophrenic thinking process, I would come up with a composite sketch, if you will, a sort of Frankenstein version A storyline that might be experienced as, I knew Mel Gibson, therefore I'm famous, based on, Mel Gibson is famous and is rich, then, but at the same time, I'm rich because I made a movie called 10 years and I'm convinced it made me rich because Mel Gibson is rich and I'm famous because I made my movie, it won awards and Mel Gibson did. 2. I must have met Mel Gibson because I made a movie, and he did. 2. And we are both rich and famous, so far this might not be the best example, but time can thus be altered 2008 is coming before 2003 in this case. If I were asked to explain this while still psychotic, I'd say first that I'm not mentally ill I'm simply psychic, rich, and famous. Besides, the Beach Boys were playing, and one of the Beach Boys has a mental illness, not me, but my film was about mental illness. Brian Wilson is still rich and famous, and also an artist, so he was playing on the radio because both Mel and I were both artists and it was meant to be that he would be playing music for us because we were all connected, through art, fame, and money. Exhausting, isn't it? But this is actually how jumbled it can be for us and thus for those witnessing us speak or even communicate in general. It's schizophrenia. Let's assume that we got pulled over for speeding. Well, there is a police officer character in On the Bus, my movie. You see, grandiosity, both real and imagined, content, time inconsistencies, and now this character was in the movie, so, because we were all in the car, we were in the movie while in the car, so the police officer was playing her role it all happened for a reason, and beyond that, paranoia might also slip in in a way that the officer who pulled us over was male, not female, and in my movie she was female, so she was disguising herself in order to take our money and meet three famous people, even Brian Wilson on the radio. Theoretically, this might suffice as a pseudo-case study, and yet in normal reality, for us schizophrenics, this type or process of thinking compounds it and thus it can become completely distorted, and our friends and family start to think we're going crazy, although in a way we are, but stigma arises, plus confusion and thinking, what the heck happened to this guy he's speaking like a drug addict who's lost his mind, where is all this coming from we would all benefit from greater awareness of what schizophrenia is, and how to possibly know when to consider when someone we love might either be predisposed to the illness, through family history, etc. But this is what we, with schizophrenia, usually experience early on, as the illness is progressing we believe this thinking, to us, based on other facts they are disconnected and we cannot see this without appropriate help. Later, yes, we can have this type of thinking while recovered or recovering but we are able to, hopefully, be mindful enough to both have similar thinking and cope with it differently, and to even, down the road, do our own reality checks, so as to not talk about these things inappropriately, in public, let's say. We can also use the hallmark of CBT, which is evidence on our own so that we can connect the disconnected parts of our thoughts, thus our reality that we can, with the support of loved ones, family, doctors, medications, friends, and support groups helping us, 
who love us enough to deal with assisting in our connecting the right pieces together, and why the reasons why. To wrap this up for now, I have not even mentioned the hearing of voices and hallucinating everything from shadows to people, even friends and the hidden traumatic paranoid features of schizophrenia that we are often too afraid to speak of. We might sound or behave cryptically, in code, and with pressured speech and flight of ideas. Add on the zombie-like features, the manic episodes, the muscle dystonia, and the side effects of medication, and if we have turned to drugs, often just one hit of pot to quell the symptoms yikes. We're often too embarrassed to speak of our early experiences with schizophrenia, to say that, yes indeed, this is an extremely devastating and debilitating illness, I'm so glad that I'm at a place in my recovery, and I do have my bad days. I haven't even slept in the last day insomnia, another symptom, technically, but I'm glad I have been to this intoxicating wonderland and come back just enough to be able to deliver this kind of explanation. Possibly demystifying in a way that others can understand some of these processes that affect about 1% of the world's population. Schizoaffective disorder then includes the manic highs and periods of deep depression. My Tourette's syndrome features the obvious muscle tics, but also obsessive-compulsive tendencies and elements of autism or Asperger's, often referred to as higher-functioning form autism in summary, but it is, of course, much more than that. We all have our issues. It's how we deal with them that set us apart. As always, my journey continues, on and on. Yes, you could say I've been through the ringer opening up and sharing my world and my experiences, with hope, and participation in my own recovery and metacognition, usually in deficit for those with schizophrenia, and mindfulness, have all been helping me become who I'm today, an accomplished writer, literature and film TV, technically a professional author of erotic fiction. I often laugh at this because there are so many sides of me the angel-demon-human dichotomy I use various outlets to express my creativity. I have an education in the arts primarily, but worked on Wall Street in my healthier days, so I know a bit about that field, but I ultimately chose to do what I'm doing now which is just this. I'm also a film producer and a musician. My new full 15-track LP will be arriving at over 60 retailers in the coming weeks, possibly under the band name Warspy Honk Afro. All my work is also available for free, and will always be free, as far as I know. My thoughts are free my public life, my open-source information life of JH. I've lived in New York, Connecticut, Paris, France, Los Angeles, and now New Mexico. I'm now married and I diary and podcast mostly about mental illness, and inspiration, new age ideas and transgressive material transgressional fiction, if you've seen or read Fight Club it's pretty much like that, I'm, myself, an expert on my own experiences and myself, that's about all I'm an expert on, I'm not a doctor of any kind, I enjoy learning, reading, and communicating whatever I say, or write, I like to add take what you will, leave the rest, I try my best to speak for myself when it comes down to it, I just love what I do, I love who I'm, I have accepted that which was taken away from me, including some cognition, and some intellectual and artistic credits not given to me due to silly and ignorant stigma the bottom line my money, the companies I've owned, 
and some I still do, as majority shareholder, but the power ever so creatively taken away from me because of stigma, I do understand stigmatic judgments the mindset, it's almost sociopathic, but I also understand greed, for example, but moreover, stigma I don't believe in stigma, it doesn't work, I do not agree with it or think it's right, but I understand how some people's minds work, and how they just won't, or might not, ever change not knowing and not wanting to know, further, I accept that stigma exists and is real and rampant in our society and culture, again, I love what I do, what I create, what I believe in, my own porcelain utopia the hub of it all I love the internet and computers, reading, learning and getting frustrated, figuring out ways of fixing some computer glitch that presents a mental challenge for me, of course, my life would be easier without schizophrenia sure, I wish I didn't have this condition, but I do, and I accept it, oh, and this early one to leave you with, I deserve to be heard, for one thing, not just seen, and I have that, other people do see and hear me, and so many fully consider all my limitations, as well as my strengths, and give me the benefit of the doubt when they can, some do not, but that's just life, my intention has never been to accuse, attack, or even blame, my intention is to heal, and to forgive others, as well as myself, and, in an effort to forgive myself and those around me, I begin the series, when the illusions are real, the point of the series is to get a conversation going about how those of us diagnosed with psychotic disorders can get people to believe our truths, after all, once you've been diagnosed as being psychotic, your credibility is never the same, even when you are speaking the truth the delusional thinking process, to the victor go the spoils in the old days of war, the winning army pretty much got to loot the countryside and take what they wanted wealth, harvest, women, whatever, those would be the spoils of victory, in a relatively civilized setting, we use it more symbolically or metaphorically, the winner, the victor, the victorious one, the one who gets the victory, gets whatever benefits go with the actual winning of the title, prize, award, office, or event, these could be formal or informal, that is, they could be a designated part of the prize, a gold medal, a contract with an athletic equipment manufacturer, or just tag along with it, celebrity status, free gifts, media attention, a boost in their love life, not to focus on the illness of schizophrenia when I don't need to, but noting some things I learned as I came out of my latest episode of delusion and minor psychosis, with paranoia being the overarching element. Early this morning, I'm refreshed, and now out of any episodic states related to my illnesses, I'm now able to access what it was like, when yesterday I had blended back into this more normal life experience in order to demystify what happened in my mind and why, and thus how to cope even better next time, and also so I can try to figure this whole darn craziness out, I'm always looking for answers, solutions, and understanding, the more I grow, and grow more comfortable with this illness, primarily schizophrenia, while the paranoid and delusional beliefs, along with my awareness of them, are also present, I have done some thinking, about delusions, hallucinations, and paranoia, then I'm going to start my day, meditate, have fun, and attend my psychologist's appointment in a couple of hours, 
Maybe edit a bit of one of my upcoming novels, but stay off the computer for the most part, I hope, I hope, it seems that hallucinations, delusions, and, in short, any psychotic feature I might label more simply as, black-white, good-bad, good-evil, devil-Jesus, antichrist-Christ Christ, I think that I have had several categories and that one scenario will stand out yet many will actually overlap, whether it's, religious, grandiose celebrities, aliens conspiracy end of the world doom I made some of the notes during my episode, and more as I was coming out of it through my coping tools, of which these days I have many, I'm discovering that my delusions are for the most part rooted in some grain of truth, this, while in a way my entire worldview, if mapped out the processes and the storyline, I believe likely have a lot more so-called, in writing, backstory, and subtext, metaphors, and symbols, as a writer who knows about the craft, I think my knowledge helps me understand some of the schizophrenia material, because I'm finding, being perhaps slightly biased, a correlation between writing theory and practice, starting with the idea I'm so fascinated with, story in general, some kind of historical context, Jung's theories play a large part, it's to the victor go the spoils, the spoils of victory are the extra bonuses, perks, and treasure you get for winning. Killers will kill for money and power, think of this the other way around, as our schizophrenic realities will often distort, to the spoils go the victor, thus, let's amp that up to a more grandiose context, perhaps, war and global catastrophe, people are out to get me, paranoia, for money, power, and status, and I often believe that this is true, then there's the storyline, maybe it's because I'm a writer, although I will often bring the story element out of my writing, warping time, and place, settings, characters, as in my films, whether it be on the bus, racks, ten years, others, or some of my novels available online, and some still to be published traditionally, story, 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 schizophrenic storyline, delusional thinking process is a healing process, processes, I believe that is the root of it all, that the storylines for me and I would think for most suffering with schizophrenic or psychotic disorders, or thought disorders the storylines are personal, synchronistic, and overlapping, and symbols, mythology, and connections, even coincidences, take on a very deep and again, personal meaning, a very deep and personal context, I'm digging a bit deeper into the vulnerabilities of psychosis, again, now that I'm not currently experiencing an episode, although my heightened awareness or metacognition often lets me know if and when I might be, it does not always, symbolic stories, a tattoo of a cross that someone has might make me think that he, or she, is God then I might confess my sins to a complete stranger, but if aware enough, these days I can usually keep that to myself, and believe wholeheartedly that yes, indeed, this person with the tattoo is God, no doubt, but I'll just keep that secret to myself, this goes for any delusion, yet this will then leave me, and us, susceptible to actual theft or simply vulnerability, since if, and when, something of ours, or mine, is taken, stolen, I'm somehow really and truly wronged, no matter to what extent, I often feel trapped with my secret of knowing this, but have to pass it off as, okay, 
this isn't real dart if that man is likely not got the man with the cross to two, then no, my pack of cigarettes was not stolen, kind of frightening because if I saw my house burning down, I think I would likely see and believe it was real, and this particular symptom is a common one for me, but if it really was burning down, I would think I would likely not do a thing about it, especially while in fear and stress from the event that I'm experiencing, real or not, the police would come and I'd be locked up for being schizophrenic, for making a fake 911 call, and I'd be scared with overlapping reasons to be scared anonymous story of schizophrenia from an old friend I haven't really come out with my mental illness, I have a form of schizophrenia called schizoaffective disorder, the doctors don't really know whether to classify it as schizophrenia or as a mood disorder, because the affective part of it is like bipolar, so I got a double whammy, I've had it since I was 28, I wasn't diagnosed until I was 31, I feel like I've cried every night since I realized what I had was medical and wasn't ever going to go away, but I don't think it's really every night. My parents still think I can be cured by doing chelation therapy or by changing my diet. I haven't spoken to my mother since she told me that I had this illness because of all of the sins I committed in my life. I left New York because of it and now I receive social security disability insurance and I live in the Midwest on my own, in section 8 housing. I'm not sure how I feel about living off the system. It's barely living. It's like the worst job I had in NY. I'm sorry about the last time we spoke, I felt like I had disappointed everyone in my life, so it was just a matter of time before I let you down, too, it's cool that you're married, it gives me hope, my worst fear is that everyone I went to high school with will say, oh, it all makes sense now, I still can't really take it when people joke about mental illness, because it's my reality, have you ever gone to National Alliance on Mental Illness meetings? I go to support groups and guys just try to pick me up, so I stopped, but I feel like they provide a lot of good information, I'm not sure I feel like the compromises of the medications are worth it, on one, I slept 15 hours a day, I mean, come on, who has time for anything like that, but right now I'll do anything to stop the voices, I hope you don't mind my talking about it, schizoaffective. People tend to catch a cold whenever I talk about what's actually in the illness, so it's good to know someone who understands. I didn't lose it when I got my illness. Somehow, I kept everything together, I left my job, went home to my family and told them what was going on and they just wanted to deal with everything through the church. I paid for my apartment for the remaining six months, then ended up in hospital in Queens, when I went back to move everything out at the end of the lease, they told my parents I had a drink problem, which I don't, although I've been drinking a lot more since I got the diagnosis, not so much for anyone to worry about, anyway, I really did not want to be told I had mental illness, so I didn't tell them anything about hearing voices, I just told them about my hallucinations and delusions as if they were real, my parents came to get me from New York and I moved home. My illness told me there was a coven and they were after me. When I heard the word coven, I became willing to do anything to get away from it. I didn't want anything like that in my life. So, I worked with a deliverance minister in the church for two years. Deliverance is the modern church word for exorcism. 
Yes, I've been exorcised. It sounds awfully old-fashioned, doesn't it? She's got a mental illness, let's cast the demon out of her. Well, I started crying when I realized that the deliverance wasn't doing any good and the situation wasn't changing from day to day. Then, I got a referral from within the church for a Christian counselor. It took her five months to get me to understand that what I had was mental illness and not a spiritual situation. I got the referral to my psychiatrist from her. I'm not sure about him. He spends so much time working with medications that have side effects that are not acceptable to me. I've gained 50 pounds, although I've changed my diet and that seems to have helped some. In the beginning, my doctor was rather condescending about my illness being an illness. The nature of my illness is mainly hallucinations and delusions, rather than behavioral issues. I'm somewhat grateful for that, but I know what you mean about wanting your life back. I always say I miss New York, but I don't think there's anything there for me now. I could have gotten married five times over, but it always seemed I wasn't in love when the guy was, and the guys I was in love with weren't in love when I was. I always wonder now if I had gotten married if the guy would have stayed, or if maybe those who have hurt through the grapevine feel like they had a close shave. My illness served to separate me from all of my friends in New York. I mean, I managed to piss everyone off. Of the ones I've apologized to, only one has stayed my friend. My friend Jennifer accused me of being mentally ill and when I wrote to her to explain, she said, I'm glad you're getting help. Oh, by the way I'm getting married, have a nice life, that still hurts. I really thought we were going to be each other's bridesmaids. But maybe I was just eluding myself. After all, the cheapest thing on her registry was $900. She met and married her Prince Charming. Of course, he's from Texas. Where else are you going to find a rich Republican? Not in New York. Sometimes I wonder about going to LA. I worked for a major film company when I graduated from film school, in distribution, then I left to go into classical music which chewed me up and spat me out because I didn't have a music degree. New York after 9-11 was just bad. There was no money for the arts. So I went to Temp on Wall Street and was working as a legal assistant when I got my illness. I don't want to talk about Wall Street. They'll use you up if you let them. And everyone acted so smug about working for the money rather than the passion. If I had stayed at the film company, they might have transferred me to Los Angeles, but what I was doing was completely business and not creative at all. I'm afraid I've always rather gone for security, rather taking a risk on starting my own company and pursuing my own art. The odd thing is, now that I have this illness, I'm doing it. I've written a five-page script, and I've got a producer, and I'm surrounded by a lot of people who can work on it. I'm hoping to shop it around to festivals so maybe I can get an agent and I'm working on my first feature-length screenplay. Does that sound naive? I don't know, you would know since you lived a life. I really think things might have been a lot worse for me if I had gotten my illness while living in LA. LA just seems like this big, nefarious place to me. I'm so impressed by your accomplishments, but then you always were prolific. I haven't read An Unquiet Mind or The New Neck Demon, as a lot of people have recommended. 
I saw Laurel Canyon and the scene where the kid comes to the ER tripping and saying you seeing Nazis made me think our illnesses take on the form that would most upset or get to us. The nature of my illness is mainly sexual, but always illegitimate in some way, whether it's incest or telling me I deserve to be raped or whatever. While I'm not happy with the medications, I'll do anything to stop the voices from talking to me. I've thought about starting a diary about the experience of having schizophrenia. I don't like to tell people, because I've found that, while everyone is supportive of the medications and they believe they can allow us to live relatively normal lives, they still have this vision of us as violent people who are going to commit murder or suicide. The stereotypes still exist, so anything I can do to help fight stigma. Did you see the soloist that film encapsulates what it was like to go through the initial onset of the disease? Everyone's expecting you to act like normal and yet you've got this extra information in your head and you don't understand what's going on. I could say a few choice words about all of the caregivers in my life. My doctor once kept me on a medication that exacerbated my symptoms, things like razor blades slicing into my flesh, for two months. I would have thought he would have taken me off it immediately. I'm on 3 milligrams of Abilify each morning and that has stabilized my mood, but the medications don't take away all of my symptoms, and going back to school has made them worse. My doctor says to look at what triggers them, but I'm not about to not go to school just because my illness doesn't want me to, you know, I'm going to fight a good fight and not let Satan win. Not that he's ever spoken to me. My doctor is trying to go after symptoms of anxiety with me right now. I think he wants to put me on Depakote, but he's afraid it's going to make me gain more weight. Some of the medications that cause weight gain actually help me to lose weight, but not the Seroquel, which I'm on daily. I hate it, but my doctor tells me it's pretty much the only thing I can be on. I still sleep 13 hours a night, which is better than 15 but still not really acceptable to me, you know, if it was 9, I'd be okay, a perfect relationship is built on compromises and a great deal of give and take on both sides, when you fall in love with a person, appreciate their uniqueness rather than comparing them to the image of your dream lover, learn to adjust to each other's habits instead of trying to change each other to fit your requirements, the Eureka effect first, my old bio, R. What is the meaning of porcelain utopia? Porcelain, from the Henry James's novel The Portrait of a Lady, the worldly Madame Merle, a collector of antique porcelain, describes herself in the following passage, it's very true, there are more iron pots, I think, than porcelain ones, but you may depend upon it that everyone has something, even the hardest iron pots have a little bruise, a little hole, somewhere. I flatter myself that I'm rather stout porcelain, but if I must tell you the truth I have been chipped and cracked, I do very well for service yet, because I have been cleverly mended, and I try to remain in the cupboard the quiet, dusky cupboard, where there is an odor of stale spices as much as I can, but when I have to come out, and into a light, then, my dear, I'm a horror utopia, simply stated, an ideal place porcelain utopia the eureka effect, the aha moment aha, I'm going to be sticking myself more to the core of who I'm, and no matter what, I think most of my audience seems to only expect or want to hear me blah blah blah, 
but all the bloody time and way too seriously on mental health and being an artist who happens to be diagnosed with a mental health condition inspirational, motivational, professional writer, podcaster, and again, writer, there is a time for everything, so perhaps a big wow cool quote I find or which I'll make up myself, I'll publish it, I'll publish all of them, but I really do have many other interests and hell. I crave and find most enjoyable my random thoughts written out bam, I like swearing I like guy stuff, and I'd order rand ran, also very disturbing literature, primarily transgressive fiction, so mock me, I have my good days and my bad days, and today is cool, but going to change things up on here, guys no worries, we cool baby, peas, yo, took me a while to realize this, aha, okay, so see y'all and hello to everyone, anyone new, and anyone just stopping by Booyah, wordplay, yeah, so stay cool and be yourself, man, and so there's my inspirational part yeah, things got way too serious on my now former website and social networks, ah la 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 lo you who, see, that's the real deal for Jonathan Harnish nothing to get all poetic about, celebrated schizophrenic creative artist, writer, producer, musician, developer, blogger and podcaster, I'm an evolving process of consciousness. Charming dude, I cope with it all by laughing when the Jamie can, encouraging you to be yourself, once called by a funny friend a narcissist with a low level of self-esteem, ironically, I'm laughing, but wait, either one who has self-esteem or not, feels good to get this epiphany out, deep exhale are, smart, indeed a flair for mental illness advocacy, animal rights, new age ideas and treatments, transgressive fiction, zines, and again Duran Duran. Thank you Tessa, a woman living life to the fullest with MLS, for commenting, Jonathan, you helped me keep levity in my lunacy, thanks made my day complete. For years, spiritual advisors have suggested I move into the silence and the present moment, and to return often. While embraced by its subtle, yet profound, power in the now, I'm only able to enjoy the silence so dearly, feeling creative, calm, and collected collecting moments, not days the days beginning, not having been, those which I remember are the moments, not the days, and in the stillness, I still seek, I'm free, taking some risks, dissolving some fears, having no expectations but to continue changing and evolving with both positive and negative experiences, enlightening and frightening with opportunities here and there, remembering now and then, yearning for this bliss, contained within its width and depth, only desiring to stay to stay right here and right now, in this now, trusting in the power of now, just for now, bearing no pain, feeling only unconditional love for every being, and everything, forgiving all else, just being right here, and right now, in my own vast space where, overall, things seem relatively copacetic, I suppose it just goes to show that hope is always possible with any uncertainties becoming part of the adventure, moving forward leaving my own trail, dreaming while awake, the adventure is finding me from within, in its own mystery, noise need not be a negative thing, but it can be when there is no silence to counterbalance it. I stepped away from some of this noise, if only for a bit, then most of it for 24 hours at this point, 
acting silent, experiencing life in silence, with deeper clarity, and even deeper silence, walking in silence, knowing nothing, I thought, over and over again, and I continue to think, I'm, I'm constantly evolving consciousness, simply and continuously moving away from noise into silence and mindfulness, no earth-shattering transformation occurring, only this time with self, indeed quite divine and spiritual, surrendering naturally and openly, more and more into the experience itself, without any expectations, my inner state is improving and evolving, my first 24 hours into, I suppose, what's otherwise called Vipassana meditation today we live, the paper cut of the past dedicated to my wonderful wife, who lost her very young mother 46 years ago today, there's not a day that goes by that she doesn't think of her and all she missed dying as young as she did, evil has no history, I invite you to think about that as the idea came to me during a meditation just before sitting down to write this, almost like a voice, but not anything unusual, nothing wrong, it's reassuring for me to know that evil has never existed, these days, I can say that for the first time in my life, and I'm most definitely not suggesting that illness, or tragedy of any sort, is anything good, so, please bear with me, besides, I'm getting sleepy here, so, no matter what the negations of yesterday, or yesteryear, or whenever in the past, or present, I believe it's the affirmations we have for today, now, that make the difference, and trust me if you would, give it a shot, due to the positivity, which we think, when we can, that is key, sometimes we simply just can't think this way, all the negativity in the past, all the evil, even if it takes time, years and years it can disappear, it can go away, maybe a memory, hopefully a good one, remains, our more hopeful, grateful, and happy meditations, thoughts, and feelings which turn into beliefs, if you give it time, our positive thinking in the now, rises triumphantly over all the past, all that you had always wanted to just forget, but never thought you'd get to the point of doing so, things do pass, it takes patience sometimes, and dedicated work, self-work, it takes the mechanism of life itself in many cases, like mine, as the negativity of the past disappears into its nothingness, its natural state, and we seek to hold on to the beauty, fun and enjoyment, our freedom, we thus behold beauty instead of ugliness, the sublime, the beautiful, unfolds with patience and emerges, it gets stronger and stronger for me, even while I joke and play around and am known to, for example, beat stigma in some rather unconventional and controversial ways, but sometimes, like now, in my own bliss, my own euphoria, my catnip trip, I end up perceiving the truth instead of the lies, the false, so beauty appears, and it is now that which is true, and not delusional, for example, but perhaps, yet the beauty and bliss still comes into view, it stays, overall, it remains, through my good and bad days, through my anxiety attacks, the pressure I still feel most days, now and then, but I stay resilient, I keep at it, and I stay as strong as I can be, always doing my best, doing what I've got to do, which makes me, not anybody else, feel some peace of mind my number one goal in this life, and at nearly 40 years old, 
It takes my breath away all my usual joking and frustrations aside that I sit here so many times in my sanctuary within the vibrant colors on the walls, sometimes cluttered, this workspace with film reels and notes and old candy wrappers, I sit in silence and feel the peace, I feel fantastic, so I ask myself where the false, the untrue, the lies, the so-called evil where is it, now that truth has essentially brought me a great deal of freedom, no matter if it never existed in the first place, that might have been a bit of a reach, those old days are as though they had never been, similar, like as if not necessarily subscribing to the idea that all the negativity had never existed, because even that paper cut or that bumping of your head against the cabinet door had surely been a real pain in the butt when it happened, isn't that the truth? Consider the causes having been neutralized, thus leaving little or no effect. The cause of the lies, the evil, the bad, the past. Once we can stop brooding, weeping, or dwelling on the negativity of the past, the shortcomings, failures, mistakes, and evils of yesterday, or whenever it was, to steadfastly hold on tightly to the great reality of today, this second, no matter what else might be happening externally, in your life as in mine, together, let's walk within all the light and sunshine where all the darkness in not present, only joy and love, forgiveness of the past itself, these days, without a doubt, I know that every negative condition of the past has generally cleared away from my mind, my consciousness, and my beliefs, again, overall, I hardly even think about it, and if I do, I poke fun or think of it in a way that makes me feel good. I don't believe any of that which before had any effect whatsoever on my own life experience now. Today, now, I express, with self-acceptance, a perfect life. Right here and right now it's today that I live, and today we live. It's just time time for a revision of my own mission statement, like in Jerry Maguire. Planning and adjusting one step at a time. I invite you to consider what you want and what you need, while knowing what you already have. I'm going to be sipping my morning cup of joe, and taking a look at this myself, I mean really take a look, and see what one of the greats, Cameron Crowe, had written that did not make it to the actual final cut of the film, it's quite long, always wishing you, my audience, all the greatest and best, professional career restoration at the forefront, as long as my mental, and physical, health remains intact, I'm looking to really getting used to my turning 40 soon, and with 12 years sobriety in mid-January 2015, I ask, what next? Well, I took the website down, for one thing, it caused too much stress to keep it running and so I wrote some of what was there into here, Balam, when people want something, sometimes you just have to give it to them, and sometimes it's just a matter of malicious code and malicious people, like it was for certain blogs, and sometimes it's just the matter of people in fear, I suppose, fear of whatever it is, the opposite of love, I used to have an intact network and the right people connections in place, in Hollywood and New York, but not the material itself, scripts, novels, etc., I was still quite young when schizophrenia schizoaffective disorder knocked everything out of place from 2006 to just about a year ago, maybe less, I put together Porcelain Utopia, did my music therapy albums on iTunes, podcasting, 
and with about 10 books and film scripts under my belt, one had been produced on premium cable for two seasons, uncredited, as I was in the hospital at the time and Hollywood had beaten me so to speak some television pilots, a few short films and stories with minor achievements, as I kept trying to resurface mentally, I am doing my best now to focus on one thing at a time, as I said, and so to restore my network, now that I have some very worthy material, writing, for example, narrowed down to four or five pieces, I'm about to begin yet another journey, the material wealth that allows me and my current family to live day by day comes from that software patent I sometimes bring up, which helped such companies as Amazon and Walmart to do what they do today, I was only 15 years old at the time, and sure it was a brilliant idea, implementing what would play a large part of the online shopping experience we still enjoy and utilize today. My proceeds then were invested in the initial public offering of Google stock, which I still own today, it's just that my family still doesn't trust me with such a large amount of money, they took it over and there's simply nothing I can do about it, so I'm revising my mission, hey, I was a kid then, I am still a kid in many ways, yet perhaps I'm unintentionally not allowing that part of my soul to shine outwards, but definitely internally, so here I come the oversoul in spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart, and frank and apologetic musingry, fight club and the ladder since last night, especially, I have been actually reluctant to abandon not so much the premise that people are naturally good, but more if I, myself, was inherently a good person, at my core, but for now, as my much more humanistic oversoul, as in what was likely Rafe Waldo Emerson's best essay, in my opinion, I do believe that all of us, do you have a soul that is inherently good-natured, immortal, immensely vast, and quite honestly, beautiful, perhaps fittingly, with my initial intention to post this on the G Plus community I administer, it is rewarding to see more people joining the Let's Talk About Mental Health Google Plus community. I haven't been on it much myself, even as its moderator, although I do feel it's a rather safe place with safe people interacting so far, who are able to communicate in an as healthy as possible and compassionate way, with a common understanding that we are all in this together we, who deal with life's day-to-day -day issues, both good and bad, while through the filter, or lens, of our individual mental health conditions, sometimes, we, with mental illness can, and I think should, laugh at our otherwise unfortunate conditions, when we can, while there is a time for everything, even messing up, on a small scale or a greater one, I write this post in order to analyze and journalize for myself, therapeutically, at the same time, to come to terms with what I wrote last night, which can be found below, feeling and fulfilling a personal desire to forgive myself, while asking for your forgiveness, as well. Last night, I messed up, plain and simple, I behaved inappropriately, and unlike the more disturbing and sometimes angry fictional writing that I create, in part, for a living, and for its therapeutic aspect of creative expression through fiction, written for my own self, as the writer, and the communicator the creator of inner worlds, as I see them swirl then to bump it all up a notch, thus the fiction I might write although sometimes I bump it up too much in real life, 
only to find that I've lost that game, the seizing of that particular day additional alibi, off the record I admit, I've entered my own anger deriving from all the stresses and challenges within my momentary situations in life and with those who simply didn't deserve from me, some of the things, rather many of the things I have written about, neither to the late authors Sylvia Plath and David Foster Wallace, who happen to be two of my favorite writers, who happen to perhaps be mad but madly ingenious. I don't believe any literary mechanic could ever pull apart Wallace's infinite jest and decipher it, or put it back together. That's how ruthlessly brilliant Wallace's writing is, though infinite jest did not leave me with any great epiphany, or eureka effect, rather, simply a detailed and privileged look into how literary genius does end up existing, knowing that it is palpable and present except as primitus note to self, sleepless insomniac thoughts on insomnia to diffuse my dilemma, I think my latest bouts with chronic insomnia are more a mental disorder than a medical disease of the body to be solved with meds, likely caused by my other conditions yet appearing to be a control issue with control being determined by the mind. Enter my CBT session tomorrow, cognitive behavioral therapy. Thought, CBT might help change my thought patterns, removing my thoughts and beliefs about sleep, enough of the secret and Louise Hay, at least for me and in my own opinion, these latest bouts of insomnia cause me to think I might not be sleeping because I become anxious about suffering from insomnia, my whole nighttime routine, ironically, increasing anxiety and arousal levels of performing what I still consider therapeutic activities. But, if this anxiety is an emotion created in the mind, and thus, comparatively, controlled by the mind, wow, how many other disorders could simply be cured through examining and reflecting upon one's eye function footnote, Q, what is eye function, A, basically, subliminal and conscious perception mind, dear diary, I hate being bipolar, it's awesome, got schizophrenia, indeed, that, too. Oh bloody hell, fuck em if they can't take a joke, and I haven't even started on this lingering mood swinging idea of writing an epic novel, my story, under pen name, a metaphor, just like I'm, I'm a metaphor, and now I can't stop, sleepless, mania, perhaps hypomania, a mild, focused, creative, and productive state, Vivian, shit, I tick, I'll have to fictionalize her, random name generator a name of someone I don't know, beside myself, anyway, I'm a man, well, kind of, that girl, what was her name, she declined my prom date proposal, Claudia, she is alive, she is now unconditionally alive, I've got to get her out of my mind, that ghost-faced heart killer, screw it, I'm a married man now, I get rid of her, my wife, Kelly, she's fine with it these days, Maybe Kelly could leave some feedback if I ever get to the point, much less write a book, or even a paragraph, I love it all. But I can't sleep, fuck, this demon, this angel in this human, me, John, but I'll pen name it, at the finale, perhaps I can add in something about how I would have liked my life, rather how I always, every single night, I dream the same dream, and never sleep, I dream without sleeping. I sleep without dreaming. Good title. Outline. In what order? No order. That's my order. 
I'll fake my addictions and confuse the reader, if there are any readers, if it's their time, and if they are ready for it, my book, if I'm, I'm off the hook, I drop a hit of mescaline with some speed well, some angel dust, I need to be hard, I'd need to be friendly, though to be kind is more important than to be right, what I need is not another brilliant mind, like mine that talks his head off, but a special heart that listens, honest, there's the angel, weaving in and out with the demon, and a whole cast of the charters in my head, I think I may be onto something, fuck the timing, never mind at all, Dr. B whom I'll call call C, Dr. C Balam, she always told me to write, and C for Claudia, she told me too, and it's all starting to come alive, I can see the whole chaos, enter my mind on paper, if they dare, an all-nighter, longest I've gone when I was more into crack cocaine itself, 32 days, internet time, like 247365, that's what I'm on, the whole scene changes completely broken hearted jubilee the start and incompletion of a series of broken relationships, and so to call such a how and why and whatever a celebration from the 24th of February, 2005 the 30th of March, 2006, the sketches started here I suppose, but go figure it out for yourself, Dr. C, typing all this shite out from the 1,500 handwritten pages in order to email all this bull to you and to whomever else, I mean, come on, Dr. C, but to bloody hell with it, here's a start to all whose bells jungle when they judge, fucking asinine if you ask me, ask Georgie, going blind like, nothing new, so here's to bring up the old, for crying out loud, but hello, Dr. C, you've asked for this, not me, so here's the start of it, part of it, not the full heart of it, at least not intact, fuck the norm, as I say, I'll say it again and again, here is to the craft of continuous repetition, surely on many fronts, so damn me, blame it on Georgie, he has a good soul, I feel for the guy, I sincerely do, celebrate the details, hold inside what can't be told, memory is not a jail, things remain even when old, Georgie Gust Thursday, the 24th of February 2005, 11pm, Long Beach, California I'm not sure what I'm going to write, or how, hopefully most nights for the next year, I'd like to fill this whole little notebook up, even to know for myself that I could virtually write a book, but, I'd better not set down any rules to abide by they might fail the purpose of the journal. I broke up with Claudia this morning, I spent last night at the Hilton in Huntington Beach, a couple towns away, I didn't realize until then, with assistance from Jack and JD, some simple facts, mainly, the most important fact, I was addicted to her like a drug, like crack cocaine, my heart was being broken continually, and with her increasing pinches and stinging each time, it was tampered with. I hurt more when I thought of Claudia being intimate with her girlfriend, with Leslie, she always said she loved Leslie and that she loved Charlie the married wine drinker she had been having an affair with for 7 years, they met in rehab, so I was told, Leslie and she had met at work both of them were social workers, Claudia couldn't tell me that she loved me, I waited for several weeks for her to either learn how to be with one partner hopefully me, to tell me she loved me if she could, 
to have any imperfections that might show, like sadness or love, in other words, she didn't seem to possess real feelings or emotions, she hid so much because she had to, I could never forget when she put me down to mental illness and addiction in the parking lot at the Italian restaurant, and in San Francisco, I think she drinks a little too much, and resorts to the joint for maintenance too frequently, even if at all, we're two different people, I did my best to just forget about her all day long, I didn't even want to detail her within this entry tonight, but I wanted to begin this journal with some kind of ending, I'm one day through, after relapsing on her, I had been trying to end us for some time now, and this should be the final time, I let a lot go today, I was able to let myself relax a little eating slower, smoking slower, and even driving slower, I felt liberated today and was generally in the moment, I worked out and I worked some, I watched television, I tried not to be as controlling, or as controlled by the culture and society that this generation seems to be swarmed by, enough of my desire to report the day's facts and details one last detail, though my assistant, Aaron, Sanchez, the housekeeper's kid, ended up stealing from me, lying about it, and showing just a plain, lazy demeanor, so, I fired him, I'm alone in the house, now this house, that I would like to buy someday soon and fix it up even more than it is now, maybe when my trust fund is settled next year, since Corey's been thrown out Corey Heim, the kid celebrity who took me for one quarter million, so deceptively, and now Aaron I'm on my way to taking more responsibility in living on my own, I stay calm, I don't want another spell of any kind like the morbid loneliness that could overcome me, even if for one moment, lastly, a couple days ago, I truly felt something so fertile and once in a lifetime, I felt this truly sublime moment, out of nowhere, my childhood and my years as a youth, or as a young adult, just kind of ended as I grew into this adult body, this adult mind, I felt myself strangely entering a new stage in my life, all the past, now, seems to fit into the category of nostalgia, having moved into the past for good as I moved ahead, the strange thing is that those years of my life are no longer accessible, a comforting, self-aware metamorphosis seems to have taken place, I was in the laundry room at the time this all seemed to happen, the new sensations lasted about 20 minutes, I guess this is what they mean by lost innocence, I wonder if many other people experience this kind of actual transformation, it was quite baffling, Jack was such a great help this morning, JD too, I had a full day, even ate three full meals, less caffeine and normal sleep, better hours, letting go a bit made the day for me, overall, I made it, can't stress about tomorrow, today will officially end within the hour, good night, reader, looking back, RLB, Georgie, 11.30pm, Friday, the 25th of February 2005, 11.45pm, Long Beach I try to abandon all passing thoughts, regarding the look of this journal any perfectionistic obsessing, I consider that by ignoring the worry I have about how the journal appears is a form of training on my part to learn and to accept my actual thoughts, feelings, writings, truths, truths, and truths, all the thoughts that run too quickly through my mind, if I can't transfer them onto the page in time, so be it.
whether or not they are perfect thoughts as I call them if they seem like they must come out, and I can't hold on to them, then I'll just have to let them slip, I guess this is a rule, in a way a way of keeping me a little saner than I would be otherwise, thoughts whatever words are being muttered in my head, whether perverse, intrusive, or simply unwanted thoughts well, they are not the word of God we're talking about, and, my feelings, my personality, my search for self and meaning and truth, and all of that they should be ranked as more important than my little, puny ideas, so, that's what I'm thinking at the moment, today, I felt generally on edge, a bit anxious, rather non-existent, nervous, paranoid, and urgent, this was unlike yesterday, but I still endured it all, I've completed another day, got to keep my chin up even though the recurring idea, the thoughts of death, and that I'm involved with death, somehow staggers on the main line, up in the switchboard room, up in my head, I guess the voices have almost completely dissipated, the perceptual hallucinations those sensations of being misplaced, lost, sort of facing many different directions all at once these disillusions are rather present, though, thank heavens I know that, if I can keep anything, if I ever make it to an old age, I'd like to remain self-aware, sometimes, I feel a little too self-aware for my own good, like I think too much, you think too much, that's what people tell me, it seems to be a common theme in my life, but, what is too much, especially when one is looking for meaning, nostalgia and memories are the ink stamping what I sense onto the ethereal conducts of my brain trying to save my memory while constantly improving it, I guess that's what I'm doing. The photographs of my life and scrapbooks, and other items of personal memorabilia I never want to forget them. I need to make sense of everything, to put everything together into some kind of order and create a storyline a plot with common themes and a main point the point of my behavior, my life, my being. In this cosmic dream, my role in it has certainly been dreamlike, today especially, is this God's dream. If that's what all of this is about, all my time here, all this experience, even the loneliness and melancholy, I certainly enjoy contemplating this dream's possible, even probable, nature. It's always those unseen concepts that seem to interest people the most. I watched Katie Corrick on the Today Show, among other interviewers, lean into the client and with fascination they ask somebody who's had some kind of metaphysical epiphany-like communication with the dead, hey, tell me more about that, did you actually hear the voice and so on, I am hesitant, I feel a little restricted, like time is wrapping around me and gently suffocating me, space seems concomitant with time, I feel like the gripping of the rails when the roller coaster cart makes a sharp turn and you're completely out of control, but simultaneously on some kind of pre-planned track, all things of matter, this desk, my bed, the lamp, the light, the doorknob, my alarm clock, they seem to fabricate like ideas in my mind, then, I think that my eyes are not actually making contact with them, so, how can I know that physical objects are real, or more precisely, that they're really there, their distance from me, their shapes, and why I want to see them, if I even do the ideas of these objects sort of enter my mind as real as a photograph a replication of reality they photographically enter my imagination with their energy, or, maybe, 
because of their energetic elements their ethereal substance this is separated from that, and I make sense of my surroundings, I'm otherwise alone, but I like to think that these other animate things, which now surround me, are somehow processing the life in me, is this three-dimensional, or two dimensions that seem like three, like a photograph, maybe two and a half, but I won't get ahead of myself, when I concentrate, for even a moment, and with little effort, that the cosmic dream is this reality my reality my problems and worries seem less problematic, they seem less petty, everything kind of seems like there's some kind of reasonable solution that will simply work out, if it's not my dream, then I suppose this actually has some logical merit, I would never guess that God, extraterrestrials, or UFOs use any human logic, today, I've realized some of the behavioral choices that led to my newly discovered manhood, here at age 29, one of them has been my choice of a life of solitude that I create on my journey as a writer, the choice not to abuse nicotine and caffeine, for example, I've not yet committed to 100% not really 3% and, no follow through to form a refined lifestyle in that arena in the department of habits. I'm talking about desires to not do something, I reason that I must eliminate any notions that quitting has anything to do with any process, or includes any steps, I have hope though, as little as hope actually has the ability to produce any effect, I just wish I could stop these habits before I turn 30, next January, I wish I had never started smoking or dipping snuff, I'm a slave to tobacco, in a most self-destructive way. I seem to punish myself with tobacco while gratifying myself at the same time. I give tobacco my slavery, looking over at Claudio's place, across the street, and the whole emotional situation surrounding my official departure from her was extremely awkward. Her strangled hold on me filled my gut with anxiety from morning to night. I try to find things about her that are impure, detestable, and inferior. I only know her so well. So whatever new ideas or realizations I discover about her must not be real. I must be creating another layer of near ideas about her, since I seem to be discovering new things about Claudia without experiencing her. Are these new analyses I have based on what I already know, or are they illusions? I'm trying to remember her. I'm wrong to judge her. I wouldn't dare tell her of any new judgments I may come up with. I still respect her. In a way, I miss her, I shouldn't, there's a plain and simple understanding I must focus on, that we have our differences, now, I'm focusing on her, oh my, let's see, she told me up front of her many relationships all are current, and, we couldn't just be, well, fuck buddies two adults in an adult relationship, after all, I talked my head off, in bed, during a meal, on the phone. I couldn't orgasm during our most intimate body-sharing experiences, right until our last one. I was jealous of her abundant life, as she called it, full of the same kind of rich experiences and interpersonal relationships that I know I used to have in my life, but I've lost them over the last few years. Since I moved to California from New York, Claudia had many shortcomings as well, but she dealt with them so they became nearly invisible. It took her such little effort, it seemed, to accept herself, even the unpopular contents of her life, her bisexuality, her dysfunctional family, her pot smoking, 
her affairs, her poor economic status, her naturally curly and frizz-mopped hair, her dyed hair. She was beautiful, she is beautiful, but, did she ever cry? And, how was she able to balance such simplicity with fuck it, and reason? The easy way that Claudia could balance such chaos astounds me. She leaves it in her wake, but she leaves the chaos behind. I wish I could do that. Mine builds up inside me and eats me up. How does she do it? Even with her career she's a social worker, a marriage counselor, and parenting teacher. She's never been married, and dates married men and women, and has never had any children. How could she do what she does professionally? I'm in awe. She had explained to me at the Italian restaurant, in her diatribe of who she is, that the forbidden love affairs that she engages in attract her, but, at the same time, she questions them. She concluded that they make her feel good, and that's why she involves herself in them. Okay, Georgie, you're learning. It's over, as I told her on the phone yesterday. She simply replied, okay okay equals zero killed, we're both still here and around. Oh boy, I worked on the adaptation to Standals the Red and the Black, revising 20 pages and reading up on the notes for the text, and to my earlier first draft of the script back in 2002. I've got to reread the text again. It's been a while since I did an intense read-through of the source from beginning to end. My adaptation has taken a real life of its own since then. I've never read any of the books assigned to us in school. I wonder if all my English teachers had actually read what they taught. I'd like to just hire a ghostwriter to finish the damn rewrite. I'm spending too much time on so many different writing projects. Sometimes, I still question my talent. I used to plagiarize in preparatory school. I didn't trust my own voice. I was really smart about it. I'm so glad I stopped. Once I quit drugging and drinking, I realized that I'm capable on my own and so is my inner voice, and therefore my imagination and my writing. What a good thing to know. I keep changing. I'm growing as a writer. I'm growing as a person. And, the business nature of movies, I have all the connections in the world, it's you know, all that, I'm not as involved in them as Jack is. I depend on him for them, but I'm stationed now, just right, and as writer by being so I require solitude, loneliness. At the same time, my writing feeds on experiences, experiences and thoughts, observations. I'm allowed to have writer's block, etc. That's okay and expected. Sometimes I'm more productive than at other times. Often, my creativity comes out in spurts, when the chemicals in my head readjust and alter, when the dopamine squirts out in pulses, when my mind's on fire. My mental maladies are warranted, again, as writer, as madman, but, thank god I have a heart, I'm alright, I can accept me for me right now, so, that's okay, later on, well, we'll just have to wait until then, who knows what's bound to come up, am I speaking too generally, today was extremely lonely and tiring, but I've learned a lot today, is this too much writing for tonight, I haven't many plans. I'll live tonight and tomorrow morning more spontaneously. I might sleep in a little tomorrow, again. It's still a task for me to fall asleep and to get up. It's exhausting, but, I don't worry about anything. For now, I'm in the stream of someone else's, aren't I? I can nearly sense it. I'm restricted, 
Does it seem so surreal because my senses are heightened when I'm tired, my tics worsen, after all, when I do die, modern world equals expire, I'll relax fully, regardless of any trauma or preconceived notions of our final hour, and our passing over if there even is such a thing, tonight has such outer dimension qualities to it, I befriend those from the fifth dimension, maybe I'll read this again at age 39 or 40. I hope by then my writing will improve, undocumented, 3 a.m., bedroom, Long Beach I still can't fall asleep, although I'm tired, and I've been tired for hours, is it unhealthy that I'm craving to be knocked out by nighttime medicine, I already took a hefty dose of valerian root and melatonin with my normal sleep medication, have I mentioned Claudia, I find myself trying to fall asleep before her and awaken before her by watching the lights switch on and off across the street. I keep failing. My obsession with her must end now. We are two different people. What the hell am I doing? Intrusive thoughts penetrate my whole being. I don't want them. I want to stop them, but they just get worse with each attempt. Thought stopping doesn't really seem to work at least not now. What bothered me most with Claudia? After thinking more and more about it tonight, unable to sleep without a conclusion, was the incompletion of my fantasy of her reality as a lesbian with Leslie. She really loves her. They kiss. They make out with each other, passionately, with rebellious vanity and sensuality with thoughts of love without thoughts of me. They hold hands, all in private. They make love with each other behind my back, but in front of my heart. And... Leslie's barely even heard of me, it was her I was first attracted to, when they came over on Halloween last night when Claudia lured me in, I collapsed down to her feet and painted them perfectly, I seem to tell that same story over and over again, I can't stop, Claudia bit my ass the first time I met her next door, I told all my friends about it, it made me appreciate the S and M that I'd never come close to experiencing before then. She was feisty and aggressive, Leslie bites Claudia's thighs, they leave cuts and bruises on each other, I know this because Claudia kept telling me these things, they play with sex toys together dildos, they kiss passionately, and with love, oh my, monogamy, loving one person, is a farce, the fantasy of Claudia and Leslie never should be fully manifested into something tangible for me to grab hold of, it was so in the dark, and still is, even more so now, their affair seems so forbidden and thrilling, and sexually charged, Claudia leaves it out in the open, right in front of me, she hides it from her parents, she told me, she stuffs it in my face so that I become more envious of her love towards Leslie, or can it even be called love, like she said when I broke up with her, Claudia did treat me with respect and dignity, was I too weak to accept her affairs, I feel so masochistic, I love it, I can't reason why, I can't make any logical sense of my intense feelings for Claudia, am I that desperate, maybe I listen to what other people think about us too much, I'm dependent on others validations of me and my social interactions, and my merit my existence, I denied my love for Amanda, for the benefit of cuckolding Claudia into my love life, I denied anyone else so I could be with Claudia, and Claudia alone such a selfish notion, how can I improve myself and become less susceptible to the environment and to other people's needs and desires, how can I grow to be more adaptive to my surroundings, 
to everything going on in my life. I cannot sleep. I'm anticipating the housekeepers coming tomorrow. I've got a meeting at three o'clock and church on Sunday morning. Georgie, don't drift. Stay in the now. You're not going anywhere. The voice in my head mutters loudly. I watched the documentary on Metallica today. I recognized one of the producers in the credits from film school. We had done a film together back in 1997. I wrote further on the red and the black, but only in my head. I started to dive inward again, for only little apparent reason. I should try therapy again, for real, hypnosis. But, what's my main problem? Everything's so relative. Everything's a matter of indifference. Who am I? Altogether, who am I? I need to have a well thought out plan that outlines my life so that it becomes its own story. I'll play the lead character in the story of me. I need personal goals. I need to make a genuine effort to achieve them. I am still so lost, even at age 29. I'll have to write out an updated mission statement. I'll go now and meditate, and awake before noon. Perhaps some answer will come if I ask for them with humility. I need them instantly. I'm lonely and a little stuck in a rut. My life is better than it was two years ago on the pipe. That's all for tonight. Long live Georgie. Saturday, the 26th of February 2005, 9.30 p.m., undocumented I did get up before noon, and went without a cigarette until hours later. I smoked half a pack, at most, today, instead of my usual two or more packs. The cleaners came, and the place looks nice. My three o'clock appointment with the burglar alarm guy has been postponed until next week. He had forgotten about meeting me here. It's on him, now. Father returned my call from yesterday. I think we had our most adult conversation, ever, about life and defining who we are. There is such an excess of human expression, culture, that to truly think for ourselves yields good things, good decisions, behaviors and feelings, morality, ethics, personality. I take a lot after father. He means so much to me. I'm so grateful he is well and in my life. I've been on a very relaxed mode all day. I ran a couple errands, car wash, dinner, no work or writing. Two stresses came up of which I handled with ease and powerlessness, I overlooked, by a minute, getting to the pharmacy to pick up my Risperdal and Ativan, therefore, I must pick them up tomorrow morning. And, Jack finally invited me over for an intravenous treatment and a meeting, though I never heard back from him as I waited in Huntington Beach, near his house. He's quite unreliable given timeliness. I finished watching the Metallica documentary, my internet is down. I'd like to get to bed early, get up early, and enjoy generally good energy, like I have now, and like I've had all day. I'd like to start to plan for myself, and my life, doing a one-year plan, including any projections and ideas of what I want to do and what I would like to change, what I'd like to ultimately become. When I get out of the house more, and think of this dream of life and relax, remembering it was worse with her, Claudia, and now it improves a little. I don't need to worry about what she thinks of me. Claudia carried a lot of baggage as it was, and I think I get it, now, with Claudia. Not being able to control people is the most difficult part of life, with little resolve. I question being a writer, or more, a storyteller. 
my writing is more artistic and poetic, storytelling is a trade it's quite arduous, I think I'll sleep better tonight, I've had little nicotine or caffeine, again, I took my medication on time, I might go to church tomorrow, Mel's daughter, I like her and she might be there, I might try to not work, and maybe drive a little to San Diego, or something, I had to miss getting in the car tonight, I had some thinking to do, love, Georgie Sunday, the 27th of February 2005, 10pm, Long Beach for a Sunday, I tried to take it a little easy, some highlights, though, I took a drive this morning, I woke up just a bit too late for church in Malibu not exactly in the backyard, for medicine and a few groceries, then, I went to Jack's, it was relaxing, I may be able to have a killer treatment this week. Claudia spent most of the day outside many people came over, but the anxiety isn't as difficult, it will pass, I want to be a better man because of her, to think she's in a loving relationship with a married man, alone, is not my type of girl, wow, deja vu struck me when I wrote the L in girl, I spoke with JD he'll be out here the 9th of March through the 15th, we're really excited. Another long conversation with father about how our business, Jack's and mine, feel so disorganized and without a plan mutually set forth, this has been bothering me, father and I discussed how I should spend a week on the road, hands on, JD and Jack both discussed this with me, too, and that I should make myself useful and use my personal contacts for a focus project, I'll probably stick to the HBO show the program and keep on my writing projects alive as well, with the Academy Awards tonight, Kaufman finally won for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and so did Alexander Payne for Sideways, this made me feel more driven to succeed in movies, even with just short films, I'm feeling a bit hasty tonight, I would like to extend my efforts to walk like I've been somewhere, to quote the actor, Jamie Foxx, to keep relaxing and not caring what others think of me, to quote Will Ferrell, as well, I'll have a family meeting in May, I've been intuitively agitated by someone close to me that will die soon, I'm not sure what to do with it, it's a strong sensation, I'll try to be more loving towards others, and hide any paranoia, guilt, and so on and try to be funnier, I spoke to Donny Schmidt today it's been a long time. He's working at Icon Films on the re-release of The Passion of the Christ. I feel really good with Donnie. My sense of humor comes out in a way I'll never forget, although I did forget for several months. My voice really comes out with him. I bought a tape recorder, for that matter, to practice for my novel A New Voice, or something. My hand hurts, until tomorrow. Off I'd go, Georgie. 10.30 p.m., Monday the 28th of February 2005, 11.25 p.m., undocumented Claudia called twice today, just after a very anxious morning, she knew my weakness for her and didn't respect my boundaries, after a terrible day, it ended nicely, I felt she was confused, a little loony, addicted herself, but genuine, I don't know what she wants, I love her, anyway, why not? We agreed she would call me in a month to see where we both are. The 28th of March. We'll see. I wrote all of my feelings down that I felt much earlier, while in Hollywood. Finally, I saw her in tears. 
she really misses me, but there was no I love you, and no steady proposal emerged, a good idea for story of sorts, I watched more bullshit by Penn and Teller on DVD, I'm quite tired, and much more skeptical now, love, Georgie Tuesday, the 1st of March 2005, 9pm, Long Beach just finished my relaxed time watching School of Rock, all day I thought it was Monday, I've been sleepy since 6 o'clock, hardly any stress notes with Claudia, today, I went to 7 11 this morning for coffee, the rest of the day I outlined more of my bio story new access to feed solitude at home, I wrote 20 pages of yet another beginning, in fact, two separate ones, I am still lacking focus. I've been trying to come up with a promising and written writer's intent. Like an outline, I still have to fill up my yearly calendar and set to putting it in action. Some little things, too, like the house alarm. The loneliness of writing makes me paranoid to leave the house, moreover, to interact with others. All the writing exhausted me today. I should have worked out in the gym, in the other bedroom that's down here. I think I have blind ambition. I outlined the way to get this book project done. Between focusing on specifics, I should also focus on all of my writing projects. But, what I do worry about is when other business work brings me outside of them. I've grown tired of my storylines or four or five feature-length scripts. I'm thinking of just diving into them head-on and with edginess. Doing a sort of balancing act might work. It might not. Jack says I'm doing the right thing. Not to worry, I have about $30,000 left before something strikes, I sit on the back burner, I do a lot myself, I'm learning to grow comfortable in the solitude, I learned what the word means that I often use in my writing serendipity, also, I learned hypocrisy and eloped, finally, here is one productive day of many more to come, it's a fair enough day and I made it that way, night, Georgie Wednesday the 2nd of March 2005, 8.30 p.m., Long Beach, Calif. Dear Journal, I'm taking advantage of writing in you a little early tonight. I've felt the urge to write in here all day. First, I had to express this overwhelming feeling of loneliness. I'd been feeling a sort of despair. I'm all the way out here in California, away from my family and there's no one here. For the most part friends with whom I hang out, spend time with, much less talk to. I spend almost all the time out here by myself and I'm independent and responsible in the same way. I don't even see any kind of doctor which reminds me I need an STD blood test taken, since I had intercourse with Claudia and she had so many sexual partners. I don't know whom. It will be the safe thing for us to do. But, the solitude I maze myself. I'm such a hermit I don't even say hello to, or smile at, a single woman, as if I ever did, some nervousness is still prevalent, I hope this kind of journal will be interesting to read later in life years later, if I become famous, don't auction me off unless I'm aware of it or dead, anyway, I've got Fleetwood Max hold me on repeat in the CD player, rightly a part of the record player, I hate CDs they are too fragile. DVDs worse, I arrange the burglar alarm, here today, at 2 o'clock it will be installed in a week or so, Claudia hadn't been home, yet, knowing that she still is my neighbor, at least for the next month, makes me act more like a man, it's a good thing, 
When Jack finally called back around 7 p.m., I was convinced more of our success, our great success, as he puts it, I'm his business partner because I'm the only one he's got the one sticking with him through all of this. It worries me when he does certain things by himself, or says I can do, blank, all by myself. It's a good ego, I suppose. After all, he'll be training me as he did with the speakerphone. The Malibu rehab facility we collectively own, the center, has a benefit dinner that will take place soon one month. Courtney's last money investigation, Courtney Love might be concluded in a month, too. It'll bring us Jack, but me, too, as his partner probably two to three million dollars. Courtney trusts Jack more than anyone, and she knows everyone. I trust him, too, the same. Father does as well, and JD will be looking to find, or broker, big capital from Italy and Europe for some blockbusters within time. Jack and I will set up our business in Beverly Hills all this once the benefit dinner funds come in, and other big payments, all at once. I have more confidence. I just want to know that I'm a part of it all, and not just a partner. I will plan out my goals, like getting the right kind of sleep and other things just sitting tight for now. Spending very little. I'm nearly down to the bottom that much investment but I think we'll break the bank before my second and final installment of the trust. I might be super successful by the time I'm still 29 I still stay sober. Much hope today in this loneliness. I wish I could edit everything in this journal. I'm much more comfortable typing, but that's why I write in here Georgie, 9 p.m., Thursday, the 3rd of March 2005, 8 p.m., Long Beach ever since JD called late last night, I felt more lethargy and scared. The loneliness thing was somehow fixed when a friend of ours Matt, a songwriter and music video director, just relapsed. I agreed to take him over here to rest and relax in the bachelor pad upstairs. He's already pretty grateful and of low maintenance unlike Corey was. This depression is like a controlled depression of some kind I've been very self-aware for a few days and my memory is almost perfect, ages 1 to 3 are intact, I can make more sense, now, from what I remember a lot of things seem more complete I can relive the earlier experiences from then, within my current mind of being an adult of 29 years, for a while while sober it had diminished a bit, as JD is nearly broke, and since I empathize with his OCD and mistrust in others, I haven't much money left, about a month and a half left, with our new client coming from Europe soon Whitney, Houston, I'll hopefully have some cash, my neighbor Ray from next door just stopped by again for some cigarettes, he invited me over for a game of poker with an executive from Showtime and some other movie guys, Ray's also a writer, and in real estate in Santa Monica, wow, all of these cool things are happening one at a time, my angels must be looking out for me, I was missing Claudia, especially since she got home while I was outside smoking. But, it seems to get a little better each day Georgie Friday, the 4th of March 2005, 12 o'clock midnight, Long Beach nightmares of Claudia's lesbian ice activities all night long. The entire morning I had been in this whole self-pity mentality, and, again, of worry, fear, insecurity and anxiety. Powerless over what Jack's doing with work and feeling isolated. 
I also had to not let the Claudia thing take over all my thoughts for our incompatibility and our separation, I and the preoccupation will soon pass all this with some back thoughts, while keeping in mind of the letting go and my taking some action, I don't even know my way around town, so, in this depression, I awoke at 6am and went for a long drive, about an hour, to see more of Long Beach, I never consider where I'm living as being permanent, so, I never go and see where I live, but, I did a little this morning, there's an aquarium, the Queen Mary steamship, a ghetto and 2nd street even a parks and recreation swimming pool, golf courses and more, but, I came back home, Matt was still asleep upstairs, still on detox, I fell asleep until 1.30pm, by the time Sanchez and Rosie got here, 2.30pm-ish to 3pm, it struck me that all of my planning, even writing, from such a lack of experiences, and my health all out of shape I said, fuck it and went for a jog on the beach, probably one mile, by the fourth minute, or less, I was out of breath, but I continued even walking some for a full half hour, I felt so much better, I shouldn't forget that I can't worry about what others think of me, even as my Tourette has recently worsened, again, and then I hit an AA men's stag meeting at 6pm with Matt and a co-ed candlelight at 10 o'clock pm, I got someone's phone number and even shared at the candlelight, I needed to, and it didn't go bad at all I need to do this more, sharing, I plan to jog again and keep up the sit-ups tomorrow, with a goal for every day a commitment like this journal, I plan to hit another AA meeting, at least tomorrow, too, I don't need to worry, or worry about making a hit screenplay or Claudia, or finances, now I must keep busy I've been wasting so much time with all that I had, I also wasn't considering I wasn't drinking or drugging today, or for over two years for that matter, I need to be grateful for what I do have, and what possibilities I can make more probable, money and, moreover, fame alone, don't, or can't, bring happiness on their own, Jack, my father I could lose them at the drop of a hat, I'm committing to making some personal commitments changes that may not really change things overnight, maybe a five day a week volunteer job, something, God probably has Jack working solo, anyway, for a reason, I should conform to our culture anyway, a little, as well as not have my ego tell me narcissistic things, I'm an adult as it is, I'm not so special, I'm finding my own happiness, after all, in this cosmic dream, by the way, there's more negative things to Claudia that I don't even want to know about I'm sure I'm glad I ended it with her, whatever comes first Georgie, 10pm, Sunday, the 6th of March 2005, 11pm, Long Beach I missed last night's entry, depression had the best of me, was asleep since 5pm until 8 o'clock this morning, the 5th of March, 2005, Matt left yesterday, I had been at Pamela's a good time, finally, she's doing much better like an adult, then, to LA for an AA meeting where I saw a lot of old celebrity acquaintances and others from the past, I still feel like an outsider, I'm in a rush to fall asleep with my audio tape of a new storyline, I read a short love story that inspired me to tears, I was full of anxiety, met with Dr. Cameron and talked with father, I recall that similar situations require the same strategy, 
make my own connections with Jax, and continue to write in the meantime. Don't worry, I can't control Jack. The doc told me later in the day something so simple, that I was lazy and fearful of processes and time, commitments, and insecurity don't expect much, he said that said it all. I'm more convinced of my bad self-awareness, or my imagination on full throttle more like as this dream I'm in. The stress of Claudia is impending and it will end, it will pass. I am still interested in peeping in on my neighbor with her lights on. My new storyline is about getting over a chick, and moving on with one's life. Georgie Tuesday, the 8th of March 2005, 10 p.m., Long Beach I slept awfully last night. Recurring anticipations of dying from a heart attack in my sleep to the point of a short near-death, comforting, awareness. The Claudia nightmares usually happen fresh upon awakening, as I've been using her general, normal sleep schedule, and the times her lights are on and off, and curtains drawn or not. I can't help her to just look over at her place out of curiosity. No signs of her moving like she hand curtains day revolved around me I didn't control my day or something like that. My Tourette's symptoms a horrible hop and dance head jerking and snapping ticks, limb, awkward limb and finger movements and anxiety, with about an hour of a sort of controlled nervosa, emotionally, I felt overwhelmed. I've been trying to organize the office and home, secondary, and bring in the center's files office into the one upstairs. I am starting to work on a presentation package package for the center's benefit dinner in April. Does one ever finish organizing their life? I drank a lot of soothing teas tonight, and drew sloppily on a canvas, and watched some of the Rouge et Noir on a VHS tape that was mailed to me today, from the 1950s. It should help me with the screenplay for a redo. The movie is so old and low budget. We're going to make it. I have work and JD in LA tomorrow Georgie Wednesday, the 9th of March 2011, 3 a.m., Long Beach finally, JD arrived his plane was delayed I could pick him up at Lax at midnight, it seems like yesterday, this is the first time I'm healthy clean, sober since we were in high school at Wakefield together, he's glad for me to be like this, he's the best friend I ever had, we've been through a lot together. He also likes my house, my home, we've become adults together, it's great to see my best friend again, I fixed up more of the house today, also, I replaced the front speakers in the BMW, the car runs so nicely, I put on new tires a couple of days ago, it's a 1999 and I just crossed 25,000 miles on it, I love that car, Jack is still unreliable, I hadn't heard from him all day. It makes me wary and insecure. Most people read through what I have and the way I value money, in a way that I'll end up getting ripped off, from overcharging to jealousy, to he's a trust fund kid. Anyway, I'm glad I have what I have. I've got $20,000 or so in the bank. Now, most people live entirely in debt. I'm grateful for what I have. Still, I've had no real paycheck in years. I would like to and used to, create my own money before my second trust allotment in January 2006, I'll be 30, I've got to hang with JD a bit before bed, and not worry all the time, work, work and no more fears, I am still a little paranoid, medically, late night Georgie Thursday, the 10th of March 2011, 
9.30 p.m., Long Beach I got 5 hours of sleep last night, JD and I mainly stayed around town the house, 7-11, pizza we talked about new business ideas and the old days, we are both having ADD, and it can drive me crazy him, too, we're constantly interrupting each other, but we're still the closest friends we've got, JD is definitely better at social behavior, I'm truly the her middle low self-esteem, paranoid, worried about my existence, good or bad, fuck, the Claudia thing is still hard, but at least we didn't have a full-on falling out with one another I'm still analyzing the whole thing, I definitely did what was right, JD is truly more judgmental and didn't know how to cope with my addiction, he said I never harmed him or insulted him in any way, and he always had faith that I would get better when I was ready, although he was worried, a true friend, wow. We watched Curb Your Enthusiasm, and I talked a bit to Jack about the TV show, and our client's record deal, and my work for the center's dinner. I'd like to ask about Mel's niece. We liked each other when we first met. I will go to church Sunday to see her with Donnie, who's in town. I've got to get a life coach. My paranoia is not good and I must lay off the caffeine. Smoking. I'm tired. Love. Georgie this Justin. I hate the way others take advantage of me because they think I'm so rich. Sam's doing this a third time. Fuck that peasant. Fuck that hypocrite. I'm lived. Just killed my cell phone. JD's practicality makes me wary. It bugs me. What's wrong with me? Good question. Sunday, the 13th of March 2005, 12 o'clock noon, Long Beach for the past two nights. I've been sleeping at the Fountain Valley Residence in anxiety and depression and paranoia had the best of me. I had even neglected to write in here yesterday I had been trying to write, in general, but was stuck in my head too much. I've been meaning to let go and move on from my preoccupation with Claudia and the hurt, anxiety and stress of which I'm doing so well with. I have a low tolerance for the splinter infection on me, in me. I'm not sure what to make of it for my identity. I decided to not go to Mel's church this morning because Mel's really wanting to keep the church for the dedicated Catholics, whereas I can socialize elsewhere. JD went to the wedding last night and I saw him. I've been keeping to myself. I've been smoking way too many cigarettes and not eating much, but my weight is down from 217 to 205. My little potbelly is flattening out. I came back home this morning. Where JD is still staying, Claudia left this morning, and still ignores me, which is good, I've really got to let go, I've asked Donnie to try to get Cheryl's, Mel's niece, phone number at church, and I'll be meeting with a couple of JD's friends, one from Wakefield, who would be Doug, to go out sightseeing in about an hour or so, I've also added back the Giardin medicine after phoning Dr. Cameron. Jack and I have a meeting at Kevin's office with Carrie, both mega producers, regarding the program TV treatment. I'm looking forward to it. I also decided to miss the poker night, last night at Ray's, my neighbor. JD has some quirks, like myself, that I can't stand, but, he's still a great friend. I'm sort of watching Stranger Than Paradise. I'll write later. I plan to get out of my head some and let go of it. I'll miss JD when he leaves on Tuesday Georgie Wednesday, the 16th of March 2005, 12 o'clock midnight, 
Long Beach I've been on a roller coaster of manic depression, last time I'd written it was more or less agitation, but, right now, I'm good, I hadn't written all week in here, but I'll try to stick to the basics, JD left, we had a great time, I appreciate and understand our deep, one of a kind, rare friendship, Doug had suggested we build more memories by taking three months, and take a holiday together see all of Asia together, I like that, I'm feeling, now and again, a deep sense of nostalgia, it's heartwarming. Besides the mood swings and depression, I'm doing better overall the rest is just a matter of time, a little less than a year, it seems, I spoke with my grandmother a day after her 92nd birthday, she's an amazing lady, I'm so glad she hasn't given up, yet, she wants to see me, and so would I the Claudia situation has normalized and leveled out for the most part, our communication and attachment to each other is at a good place, she'll be moving to back of her apartment and upstairs in order to downsize, she de-georgied her place, but we're still friends, she's still confused and drinks, etc., too much, but we're now good neighbors, we might be romantic together, but nothing set up for disaster. I even met a girl who's 19, Michaela, who runs with Donnie and the main new friend, and possibly more, my self-confidence is better and I will succeed, it's late and I must get to sleep, tomorrow the television show meeting should be taking place in the afternoon, I'm more social, too, and manic, and writing always helps, I've had three intravenous Donnie treatments, which promote longevity, this week kind of off the grid. I went off Giardin again, I often miss the hallucinations I used to have I miss them when I'm depressed, tomorrow should be a good day, I can make it that way, oh, how I dislike conflict, I fear it when I'm ill, I haven't heard from father much, I'm not sure about mother, or my sister, Lenore, they are strange people, right now, I'm okay, love, Georgie Sunday, the 20th of March 2011, late morning, Long Beach I've had about four days of balance no downswings until today, I want to call Claudia and tell her that I just need to be loved just tonight, we've been taking things slow together, two nights ago, we shared probably the most sensual and trusting experience of sharing each other's full bodies, intimately, I'm wary to share the details even in here I don't want words to diminish the experience, I am still teary-eyed, I've been crying more frequently this week, even when out of the depression, on Friday, I believe, I invited Claudia over for tea, we watched an Elton John concert on TV, and unexpectedly, the action, the moment was genuine we kissed, she still keeps her toes painted blue, light blue, she just did her fingers in an adolescent pink, usually her fingernails are mostly white, light, with a pinkish tint, it seems, with JD and friends, and other past events, I've been still overwhelmed with the nostalgic value I put on things, it seems I remember almost everything and those things I recall better than I experienced them live, Claudia and I went out for breakfast in town, I realized how claustrophobic and uncomfortable I'm in restaurants, it's a little suffocating, we talked for a while even after our meal, she had some interesting things to say and it wasn't all about me, our conversation. She mentioned how she and Charlie are probably going to stay platonic. We never brought up Leslie. Leslie threatens me less. Now, I know Claudia knows it couldn't work out for them. 
as long as we keep staying here, Claudia and I, I think, have a chance for something. The fact that she drinks, etc., scares me and shouldn't be, but I also think as all of her baggage, she is a pleasant and sensual person. We're a bit different, but we still think of each other long term. She said her mom loves me and that she's probably my biggest cheerleader. I like Claudia. I think she likes me. Communication with Jack is failing, I think. It's not how it used to be. I am still used like I'm a rich person who will be okay, anyway, by most of the people I know. My friends are shrinking. Even Rocco got into a motorcycle accident, but I refuse to give in to him. He, like others have taken money from me plain and simple. My karma is still fine. Father called, but only wanted to hear everything's okay etc. I won't give that to him. My finances are low. The TV show treatment meeting is set again, postponed, for Monday at 4pm. I might need to reconsider my finances. I still plug away writing. I'm a little sad today. I feel, like, a little nothing who's still getting abused. I abuse myself, though, right? I'm scared and unloved Georgie Monday, the 21st of March 2011, 1am, Long Beach afterwards since this morning's entry, I phoned Claudia and confided in her. I was beginning to emotionally destruct and analyze others. I didn't know where else to vent a little, and after thinking about who to call, I took the risk with Claudia. I haven't even told Jack, yet, about our talking and seeing each other, here and there. I fear he might think I'm not respecting his advice to not see her. I told Claudia of my insecurity and asked her to love me tonight, but I went up to LA to see Donnie, Mikhail and Patrick. I've been so fucking frustrated since. I'm bitter and hostile, still, I am still angry. I even lost my keys, I broke into my house. It's late and I need a blessing. Damn it, how I don't trust the TV meeting tomorrow at 4 p.m. Fuck, I'm so frustrated. I can't pray, I'll be okay. Good night, Georgie Monday, the 21st of March 2011, 9 p.m., Long Beach this morning I woke up early again before my alarm. I found my keys for the house they were in the car. I've become so groggy and agitated when I don't sleep right or enough. I was irritable last night, and a little today and tonight. My head ticks get worse when I'm tired, and I only got maybe 5 hours, more like 4, of sleep last night or this morning. I try to set my alarm for about 8 hours of sleep, I'm continually dry heaving right after I wake up and just as I'm getting up at the last part of sleep I have anxiety, nightmares, and a lot about the time Claudia and I were separated that unloving, abandoned, feeling stuff. I wrote a little more today stayed at the home office upstairs the whole day. The 4 o'clock TV meeting was cancelled, now, for the 6th day straight. It's now supposed to be tomorrow morning at 8.30am, and throughout the week like that. I haven't heard a definite, yet, from Jack. But, I'll be ready. When I'm alone and don't know what Jack's up to, I become fearful and very insecure. JD called and wrote. I agree with him because I value his opinions that Donnie and them are a little too fanatical, whether it's curing cancer or religiously. I should use more caution. They are paranoid people but they mean well. I think Jack and I are actually a little, too, and we all mean well. 
Claudia still talks about the immaculate sensual exchange we shared on Friday. We don't rush to see each other and our relationship anymore. We are a little more responsible and reasonable. Doug also proved to be an excellent friend and old friend a fellow Wakefielder. He offered to pay for my trip to San Francisco on the 1st of April and helped me in any way he could between athletics, business, contracts, etc. He says I can count on him. He could count on me, too. How awesome and genuine he is, too. I hope I'm not coming down with an illness. I am still so agitated. I watched a little TV this evening, and Pops and I are on non-com, again. It's a love-hate relationship, absolutely, both extremes. I also cancelled my consultation I've waited two months for, even though father said he'd spot me the hefty $5,000 cost for LASIK eye surgery. I don't want him to pay for me anymore. He's so controlling, mysteriously. I think Claudia is beautiful. I love her even if she doesn't love me, or love someone else. I enjoy thinking about her. I believe she does the same. She says I'm very thoughtful. It's nice. I hope it remains pleasant with Claudia. It feels safe, is it? Still, there's been no word from mother or Lenore or any family, even cousins. I already reached out. They failed, too. My loss or theirs? I don't know my family anymore. Just grandma. Grandma still remembers how badly mother would hit me. She said she wanted to strangle her, or something like that. As long as I sleep eight hours, I should be all right. I'll read and write a little, then meditate with my audio, quickly, and take my meds and fall asleep. I plan to not raid the fridge with the munchies I have from my antidepressant sleeper. Good night. I've been missing Sprinkles, my old cat, lately. I keep her ashes and photo on my bed to kiss Georgie and documented. The 22nd of March 2005, 6.30 p.m., Long Beach I've been looking over some or most of the previous entries within, and coming to some conclusions, some realizations about my life, even thus far, it seems I have a lot of ups and downs, every day there's usually something negative lingering around, or quite factually, hitting me in the face, ever since I started this journal on the 24th of February, the moments of the day are gently molded into the banks of nostalgia, I spend a lot of time, it seems, not thinking only, but reflecting. My mind is on fire. Currently, I'm, at the same time, writing here as my life, my experiences, fragments of thought, puzzles and analysis flood my mind with bits of realization. I feel very spiritual, even religious in this moment. Time is a little stagnant. I wish I could write down all that I see and think and realize, right now but it would be like chasing myself to the fifth dimension, on rock cocaine and never getting there. A lot of things, in my own sensitivity, my own awareness, are truly mine alone because that's all they can be. And, sometimes, maybe I'm not sick of myself, but glad to be myself, and with myself something like that. My Tourette's, my neck and up, is bothering me today, again. I had a quick chiropractic adjustment done, but until I started writing, it went away. I feel more like getting into from the inside, the screenplay, for the rewrite. Finally, I'll probably have to, at the same time, stay in the present day, like in the new Access novel. 
I can see and feel all of the real nostalgia, and can understand the character, Ryan's, and moreover, Claudia's inner struggles and motives better. From Claudia to Claudia, myself to Ryan, Celine, social principles to light motifs, etc. Jack, work, struggle and the art of not giving up, meaning in the pursuit, and all that. I had a short meeting with Jack this morning. I woke up at 6.30 a.m. and the Kerry Kevin meeting was off again. Jack advised that we would be getting a new client, Whitney, and something from Denzel, Washington, soon. We won't be struggling financially soon. My monthly budget is still high. The benefit dinner for the center will still take place bar where our production company will have its startup funds, and we can be in the office more and making things happen. Courtney will have our payment sooner than the 30th of April, and possibly the Cobain stuff. Corey's new project for TV will begin the 2nd of April, and some other things down the line, like Mel's new film that Jack is working on, too. I guess things do look pretty good, they just need to surface. I'm glad Jack had the time to go over this with me. I was getting my car washed at the time. I came back home, took a long nap, and now it's been raining for a while. I made a couple of CDs for Claudia, Midday, Polar Cole and Boomkit. I met her outside to kiss her, finally. It made up for the night she couldn't on the 23rd of February. Looking back, Georgie, 7 p.m., I documented. The 23rd of March 2005, 10 p.m., Long Beach I met with Jack, again, at 8.30 this morning at a Starbucks on Brookhurst and Ellis, Huntington Beach. Traffic, even south, on the 405 made my 20-minute trip nearly an hour. My frustration was only mild. Tomorrow we'll do the same meeting time and place I'll leave an hour early so we'll be able to meet on time. I'm not used to commuting in the normal morning hours. It feels very adult-like to me. We'll be having another client besides Whitney who's not yet in from Europe an 18-year-old, female sex addict. That's a big deal. It'll be another $35,000 upfront, $15,000 to treat. I made contact with Kevin regarding my help in pulling Jack away to me. He's tied up in the mechanism. I sent Kevin my outline of the center, and a note thanking him for bearing with us, and let him know to use my help. I'm fully committed and am aware of how Jack works, as for notes for the show and treatment. I read about 200 pages on television writing a bit of a crash course, and I might even write my own treatment if time still permits. Sanchez and crew, and I, fixed up the whole house even further. There's more room and even better, more improved, setup. I've got the best house in Long Beach. Donnie gave me a final treatment before he leaves tomorrow morning, and my head ticks come up, which were horrible all day, but have dissipated since. There's even a new treatment given by a Dr. Hill in Mexico, which will probably help me even more connecting synapses. I left Donnie a copy of From the Inside, and a text of David Cummings Tourette's Syndrome and Human Behavior, so he could research and comment on the 2001 draft of FTI. Jack is looking out for me. He's dealing with a lot of legal stresses, like with the old landlord for the center, Fred Seagal he doesn't involve me, but even Donnie assured me Jack doesn't want this to affect me so he doesn't mention it. Everything will work out. I understand much better, now, 
why it's difficult our connections, I respect that, Claudia called while I was writing today around midday, I haven't called her back, yet, I'm learning control, her message said she'd like to spend Friday night with me, I'm sure we'll talk again tomorrow, like Donnie says, I like her, she's a nice girl, she's got issues, but so does everyone, I feel alright and I should sleep alright, I had a burger after dinner, so I'll have to work out soon, I am starting to plan the 1st of April weekend with Doug in San Francisco, via email already, good night from the past, RLB, as this day closes and rests Georgie and documented, the 25th of March 2005, 4.15pm, Long Beach yesterday, I got out of bed by 6am, I got to the meeting with Jack at Starbucks on time I took the back roads. He put me in charge of the television series business with Kevin. I rushed home, faxed him the outline for the center, and spent the day getting down to business on the treatment. I finished eight pages and polished the rough draft today. I sent by fax, my version of the treatment, to Kevin. He told me my work on the center's outline was very interesting and well done. Claudia and I spent the entire evening at my house. She didn't spend the night. We smoked closed cigarettes in the living room, and made oral love under the music of Paula Cole, and under silence. She says she's no longer afraid to love me and that I'm the one she wants to be with. She's not too convincing when she says, I love you, and she still spends time alone with Leslie, but she's also turned down one date that I know of. She always talks about me and talks about me positively. She said she no longer thinks of long-term dreams with me but instead stays with what we've got now. She also told me she hadn't had a drink since she had a drink with JD and me, and that she prefers me when I'm off any caffeine. She notices I've lost some weight. I still think long-term about Claudia. I've been putting off my meeting with the Izzy the accountant, and finding the landlord's number to tell her about the termites, adding two more milligrams of Ativan to a total of six milligrams per day. It's working great. Claudia will spend tonight here Georgie and documented, the 26th of March 2005, 7.30pm, Long Beach by the time Claudia came over last night, I was slipping into a minor depression, which didn't last long, by morning, I was fine, her best friend's sexual partner, Charlie, age 51, she had put him into a psychiatric ward because he was so suicidal. She had mentioned he was becoming more and more depressed, and she spent more platonic time with him, not his wife, but his wife had been calling her recently, and they finally met. She had told Claudia something about needing respect. I forget exactly, Claudia was weird about meeting Charlie's wife, but not enough to let go. It's taking me all I can to write right now I'm heartbroken, again. Claudia spent the night, without fucking until the morning. I got up early and heard that Kevin, Carrie, and Jack loved my treatment for the program. Jack said it's my best writing yet, and that Carrie's taking him to New York to him to tweak a rewrite. Claudia went back home, I stayed with Sanchez and Rosie to clean the house. It's getting better and better. Later in the afternoon, Claudia asked me to come back over and we relaxed together exchanged Easter baskets, Easter's tomorrow, and she will be with the girls and Leslie Church and all whatever. I drove Claudia to downtown, Long Beach, for tea. 
Claudia had coffee. We rode around for a while with public displays of affection. I tried to find a supermarket with her that sold a certain kind of hot sauce that was her favorite. We came back. She had to meet Leslie at her house by 6 o'clock. So, we fucked around orally. She has been on the phone in private earlier not me when I get a call. Leslie, I kept telling her she was, yet again, breaking my heart. She said she wouldn't do that. Our relationship is too dysfunctional. She's breaking my heart again. It was bound to happen. I still want to fight it, though. I let myself get into these horrible circumstances. I'd like to call her. I'm so jealous. She's with Leslie, now. Lord, I'm in need of a blessing. Please help. I'm thinking of putting this journal into my novel now Georgie and documented. The 28th of March 2005, 2 p.m., Long Beach yesterday, Jack invited me to his place for Easter, but was never home for me to confirm coming over. The day went by, I had been completely overwhelmed with stress, overworking I wrote a ton about insecurities, my Tourette's was horrendous. Dr. Cameron had me go back on Giordan, and I took a walk barefoot to the beach for 45 minutes. I needed that break. I have my goatee back. After Claudia's girlfriends left, the infamous lesbian, Leslie, a cold woman, I took Claudia to dinner at the private lounge in Nico's in Naples. I hadn't eaten in two days prior. She didn't drink. Of course, neither did I. Then we drove to Anton's secret, hand-built bath and had Willie do some psychic surgery on us. The bath was good, up there in northern Hollywood. I slept over at Claudia's place. We slept until 12 noon or so. I fucked her. I left because I'm feeling like it's a test with her. It makes me think of our culture's values. But, she wants me because I fulfill her as a man, and because I'm a pretty good catch these days. I'm severely scared, although my schizoid symptoms are much better. I don't trust Claudia, but Jack is diabolically untrustworthy. There's always some excuse, they took my TV show treatment, the program, and no longer need me. He makes me keep everything a secret because it may just be all bullshit. And, I'm not getting paid. He is, I'm down to my last straw. I am stuck. There will be conflict Georgie Tuesday, the 29th of March 2011, 9.45 p.m. Long Beach yesterday, I was severely paranoid. I thought of Jack and father as being like the devil. I had called Jack and told him that I felt miserable and used. Dr. Cameron advised me to tell him that if I called him, Jack didn't understand why him, but he understand those thoughts that I can't help. They are not my fault. And the producers for the TV treatment do still need me. We'll be meeting on Friday, the 1st of April. I'll be in San Francisco this weekend with Doug, the weekend after I'll be with Father, the Wicked Witch, my stepmother, and Jack and his family in Utah where it'll be the last ski weekend before they shut the season down. I've still not yet returned Claudia's three calls from yesterday after I left. I had been in bed yesterday, most of the day stalking it, Jack actually stopped by and called ten times or so, to make sure I was okay. It made me feel better by this morning. I went into the Long Beach office to photocopy some of my writing files, and I met with Izzy's associate Kim at the accounting office for several hours. I was going to meet at Jack's house tonight, 
but I decided to take it easy and hit the sack early. My computer was frustrating me. I wanted to burn a CD of meditation, but it fucked up and I took a Jordan and didn't dwell on my attachment to Claudia. Father called back. He said he wouldn't let me go destitute. He has a lot of ideas, and, finally, ideas related to my career. I'm a little groggy. I want to go now. Good night. RLB, Georgie Wednesday, the 30th of March 2005, 7.15 a.m., Long Beach. What a beautiful morning. I woke up before six with the familiar anxiety in my heart, and thinking of Claudia and Leslie, but overcame that quickly. I headed to 7-11 for coffee and cigarettes, returned, would like to take a carefree stroll on the beach just after writing in here. This morning pre-shower I said hello to neighbors passing by the energy was good all around. I plan to let father know that Jack's family will join us in Park City next weekend. I think I'll be meeting with Jack this morning to make up for last night. I really hope and pray that our company will be a success. The tickets to Utah may help. Plus, Denzel should be getting back to us soon. Father had been asking me or, rather, letting me know my options are a bit open for the future regarding work with him, on Wall Street, his foundation, and whether or not I will still want to pursue my writing career. I mentioned to him my need for a co-writer and or an editor. I still would like to direct another short film, perhaps, and, file for some patents. I am still looking forward to seeing Doug on Friday. Lorelai, from the JD Weekend, is also a close friend of mine. She had confided in me on some boyfriend issues and felt like we've known each other much longer. I pray for stability today a good day, and full of creative works. I want to write music. I hear it. Writes a story a dramatic beauty of the joys of life of love, of satisfaction. I will need to keep on working on new drafts of the program for Jay and Gary. So far the one-day draft from the 26th is pretty tight work. RLB, I'm okay for now. I wonder what lay ahead. I stay right here and now. It's rather beautiful Georgie same day, Wednesday, the 30th of March 2005, 8 p.m., Long Beach. I remember thinking on the beach this morning. It's the most beautiful morning of the year. Soon afterwards, I try to write a few notes for the program. My neck spasms are still bad. Claudia phoned often in the morning. I saw her new place empty upstairs from where she lives now. It's a cute place, a little smaller. I think she'll like it there. The rest of the day, I've fallen down, lonely and bought, into depression and paranoia. It's the fucking worst. I couldn't drive. I stopped at three cycles of red lights, never going on the green while picking up my new 20 milligrams Giordan. I go off the Risperdal tomorrow morning starting. I am still stuck. I have no interests. It'll be a hard morning. I even think about relapsing. I'll be in bed by 9pm in an hour. Looking back a bipolar day Georgie typed insert, Thursday, the 31st of March 2005, 6.30pm. Undocumented I cannot tolerate the current symptoms I'm experiencing, in and out. It's taking me a long while to even get anything down in here, but as for my life, I put out the best effort I could ever make. My head is a constant firecracker. My tongue turns up and wisps out through my puckering lips, my mouth contorted, extending the skin under my mustache and lower beard areas. 
My head snaps rapidly and with extreme force, all on its own, and with every incoming thought or fragment of one any bit of self-awareness, the head will jerk to a singular, asymmetrical beat, but usually unrhythmically, God am spelling, to a pound after pound, pound pound, with different intensities, the thoughts want to escape, all I can still think about are my stories, my work, I don't want downtime, free time, Georgie time, my work is required, period, I must keep my voice low, others, from all around, hear me, they are suspicious and they almost spy on me, earlier, cars were beeping at me, people on the streets and in the parking lots, were snickering in those same whispers I hear at night, about me, they look away before I can get a look at whom they are, they're real, and it's tempting to know who they are, especially if they have a cell phone on them or are with another person, they might want to call the cops, for my suspiciousness, cars back off, at a distance, when behind me or at my side at a red light, sometimes the passengers cover their faces as if what they are saying is secret, when the traffic moved faster, others' cars held their horns down at me, twice, so I thought I had run someone off the road, I looked back and it had stopped, people yell, but this is not typical, police sirens and helicopter noise come and go when I shift into second or third gear, the energy is high, and these noises dissipate no sooner than they had started, maybe two seconds in duration, some of the whispers came back while I made it to my first destination my landlord's check-in seal beach is a 15 minute drive, the ladies from the hair salon, next to the seal beach office, were snickering about me, I heard, he's the one, come from one of their mouths, quietly and with a snicker, then they walked back inside, I wrote out my note to the landlord and kept my cool because she wasn't there, my head snapped again, I couldn't focus on the red lights, but I handled it better today than yesterday, I didn't sit through a few cycles of them, while driving back, I could barely drive well, with my head snapping and eyes rolling, my hands coming off the steering wheel and into a finger stretching, waving like gesture, the music was not helping, even back home, I'd been so confused, I forget how to turn on my video camera, make coffee, or find my keys, it took me 3 hours this morning to find my car keys, this Seroquel, 50mg, I took at the beginning of this writing, is making me feel internally dizzy, my head ticks are still present, I feel a little high, I could definitely not drive now, nor go outside, open any windows or blinds I must choose which phone calls to take, if any, I might soon be craving the hallucinations that usually come in higher doses of Seroquel, I miss them, I've been writing about a half hour, I'm fucking stoned on this shite, I need help, an aid, a live in, something, I cannot function as a person, currently, I'm really scared, but the paranoia, for now I can't believe it it's either different or less, I don't want anybody, neighbors, etc., to see me. What I'm feeling must surely show in my outer being, I'm not sure how, I'd be scared to know, the doctor will call me soon, I'm having deja vu, now, I'm not sure I'm explaining these symptoms right, I get so utterly confused, I'm losing my mind, I can't think of any treatment that would help, is this terminal, will this tend to worsen, what is it, really, I need to make my mark, somehow, on the world. My friends can't show up for me, 
I haven't dared tell them of my misery, up and down Georgie, 7 p.m., typed insert, Friday, the 1st of April 2005, 8 a.m., undocumented let's try even harder, I'm as okay as people say I'm, I trudge along, I dictate my own misery, but, by the name of God, there's a reason for this drudgery, I'm ready to start the day, I woke up on my own, again, before my seven-hour alarm, I say, again, in these entries, usually when such a matter has grown into a sort of repetitive routine, like, the same nightmares I experienced again, last night, or, rather, this morning, I wrote yesterday's entry on typed paper, as well as this morning's, although my neck and throat's manifestations of Tourette's continue to worsen, I'm making a valid attempt to write as much as I can bear in the hope that some of these night terrors, and the morbid confusion of the day, can dissipate, yesterday was horrendous, the night before, I had put on a dream patch arm with a nicotine patch on my arm or shoulder, during sleep, allows me to dream vividly and lucidly, more lucid when I've got the classical radio station on, or, even the television something to actually present the dream images and scenarios to me, the night before last, I dreamt Jack was being weighed to Courtney Love, I didn't want to have that dream it's not what I wanted to feel or imagine, I know Jack's a faithful man, I have become a faithful man, too in my recovery, yet, I feel distanced, almost abandoned by Jack, at the same time, Claudia is promiscuous and lies, she represents the nonchalant confusion, not of my heart, but of my perception, other people don't see things the same way, this morning's dreamscape involved the same I'm suffocating, I'm not able to make my mark on the world, I can't leave my neighbor, Claudia, and I'm trying to grow stronger with this unbearable pressure of something so tiny a woman who is just as bisexually needed as a straight man needs pussy, Leslie and I and her, Claudia, what a fucked up love triangle, that isn't even really a love triangle, Claudia couldn't kiss me when I stopped by to give her the greeting card for her new apartment, Leslie was nearby, no, no, we can't kiss here, it's inappropriate, that's what she says, that's why I left her before, that's why I'm addicted to this woman, I have nowhere else to go, how might I escape her, but rely on finding another love, what a wild woman, she either comes across as so deceiving, or, I'm really a damaged person. I want to say, you fucking lush, dyke, fucking with my mind other guys would go for this, how could that be are they now, I don't like writing this, what lies deep in her past, I'll never know, this character in my experience what a bitter, sharp, stinging pinch, it hurts, it makes me tick, I pucker my lips, click, I need out, but I still feel I need to make my mark first. This is most important to me discovering myself so that I can manifest the outcome artistically. Every day, I collect the moments of time and shove them inside until I'm about to burst, but, I don't. There's perhaps a good reason for this. I could be a very new soul, so to speak. I'm more depressed than Claudia on a shite day. Her internal turmoil doesn't manifest itself outside. So, again, I felt this feeling some other time in my life to deja vu, again but I'm jealous she can balance such a crazy life so nonchalantly, how can I be a better person, I'm unable to do this, 
but it's exactly what I crave in my attempts at writing. So, perhaps I'm learning the hard way, again, I need this shitty relationship as a part of my plan. I'm caught up in the nostalgia of the junior high Quebec trip, the New York to Paris and London trip, the La Fondue restaurant, the Tour Eiffel, returning there, again, the Wakefield summer session the French influence there, of course Julie there's something to this, in my identity, there's something concrete, I'm getting closer to finding it the more I write, even think, even cry, when I drain myself through such outlets, writing, thinking letting the thoughts seep out a little, or emotionally, when I cry, in the shower, with music, alone, softly, with fear, I hone in, getting closer to the truth about me, to know myself not in its pretentiousness but, genuinely I will be able to have a relationship with the world, with the social and familial climates I'm now so uncomfortable with, my mark is somewhere in there, then, all the rest can fall into their own places, as they lie within the subtle moments that breathe happiness on a local platform, I really feel this, it's all really a matter of time, and sticking with it, never giving up, in my imagination, I puff away on my cigarette, I find out I'm mad, I realize what it takes to be a king more than I know, what tools I might need, it gets a little clearer the more I feed the solitude with things that I know, thus the title to my current story. I'm so limited by what I used to use as an excuse my medical maladies whether inborn, genetic, or from abuse, neglect the environment, life, the meeting with Silverman Productions, in Hollywood, is supposed to be this morning, I want to leave this world and come back with something remote and profound, I want to change universal thoughts something like that, I've got to keep in constant contact with the doctor today, I cancelled the trip to San Francisco. I'm as stressed out as I was as a teenager, let me lose my mind and get over this, someone, God, please help me, I'll try the writing with better effort, and without as much restraint new access, or, the program tell me, tell me, please, don't let me go, yet, I still take it all too seriously, I know of no other way, reader looking back Georgie typed insert, writer's intent, new access are documented. The 1st of April 2005, 8am, Long Beach in the end, I wondered what all this meant, this man was a hero, he was stuck in the misery of self, he didn't mean for it to happen like that, he was confused, he didn't have any conception of his identity, he wanted his own version of who he was, it didn't really matter what the others thought, in the long run, his attempt to find a new access, to feed his solitude, implied a desire to feed something of his own, but, the desire needed to be in control of the man, not the man in control of his desire, he wanted the solitude, loneliness doesn't permit the expression of emotions to others, instead, the emotions build up inside, what services are the darker emotions jealousy and possessiveness, he craved a resolution to his internal quest of self yourself alone, the access to grab hold of, the mechanism, the new idea, would need to have to come from something that was already self alone, his affection for knowledge of self could instinctively be turned around to express thoughtful affection towards another, he was ruled only by desire, at first, he could not see others as the unique beings that they were, others would remain only as an opportunity to release negative feelings, 
a vacuum took the place where real communication should happen, by relaxing, taking things slow, and teasing himself, not expecting much, he could give time for his sensuality to grow, producing all the best connections to happiness, he hinted at things more than once, certain things, some things kept coming out, he couldn't contain them, his mind was about to collapse, but, through his sense of nostalgia, his idea of his past made up for everything in the moment and beyond, he could finally release it and let it go for good, he could move onward, in other words, what had already happened, has happened, the possibilities were what had meaning and substance, what was probable was possible, and, in this new discovery, what really happened, what was imagined, what was perceived and experienced, all genuine, defined who this man found himself to be as imperfect, as selfish, as selfless and loving, as probable and as possible as anybody else, he could become this man of other people this affectionate, sympathetic, genuine individual, we come to conclusions, we criticize, we move on as best as we can, you're not alone, you're doing just fine, end, Saturday, the 2nd of April 2005, 11 p.m., Long Beach I came back today, out of the abyss, I was able to take for a ride my good feelings, the misery ended once I got to sleep and slept well, the photo I've installed within, inserted here, a self-shot picture of Georgie Mark the 2nd of April, 2005, 12.30am, one of the toughest times of my life, this was self-taken during the last bit of my turmoil, I'd still been irritated and agitated, frustrated completely, even hallucinating the smoky ones, so, I took a regular amount of medicine nothing too much, or too many different kinds at least not in this day and age, I have a feeling, or, understanding of pills, or, even medicine will be very different in years to come, I hadn't had too much coffee, either, today and I ate three healthy meals generally a good routine today, by the time I arrived in the office gym in Long Beach, it had just closed, I just figured I'd go back when they are open, got my car washed, and Sanchez and Rose cleaned up again I keep my house in good shape throughout the week, now, I've got an air conditioner in the bedroom and in the office, Claudia had been with Leslie all day, and asked to use my washer and dryer, well, only asking for the dryer, she kept Leslie in the background, when she was coming over to switch the washed sheets to the dryer, she called me, she said she was walking back with Leslie on the phone, I kept asking her if she was into boys or girls tonight, she kept replying, I'll see you soon, she didn't want to hear it, at my house, where I was behaving coldly and standoffish, she said she didn't hear me, I just got a great idea for a story, anyway, I told her, don't lie, I added, you were honest, but don't lie, don't ever tell me you love me, again, don't lie, she was surprisingly in denial and caught off guard, I told her she has no feelings, you can't have love, you don't know how to have a relationship with one person, you hurt me, Claudia, you hurt me, does that even matter to you, I think you are confused, you told me you were when I broke up with you last time, and I asked you not to call, but, you insisted so selfishly on calling and calling again, don't play mind games with me, you hurt me, she quoted some textbooks, but just looked like whatever, she said something like, 
I'll dry these somewhere else, at another neighbor's house, this was after I'd told her she could use mine, still, I'm not a fucking dick, and she added, like, don't put your projections about me on me, I didn't care what I was saying the whole time, I said, I don't think you'll even miss me this time, like hell you won't, I said, goodbye, Claudia and walked inside, I didn't turn back, what a whore, I was just tired of her bullshit, okay, and at first, when she answered, she hugged me, I knew the hug was the goodbye hug, she didn't, I said, while embraced, hardly, but a little longer while she played with my trimmed haircut, I said, you're a strange person, Claudia, I said it twice, the first thing I said, the last thing I said before I walked in, just so it would end any closure, any chance I said, Claudia, this shite is just too fucking weird for me, way too weird, I can't deal with it anymore, it's done, with it, or you, anymore, I even wrote it out, here, so I can move on from that whole twisted bullshite, she hurt me and I ended it, if she tries calling, etc., I doubt it, no matter what she says I plan to call her right back and say, Claudia, listen, it's over, really, don't ever call me again, and, I chatted with the next door neighbors who occasionally smoke outside, we talked about our houses, and Kate, and her husband, Ray, invited me over around 4.30pm for a barbecue with some of the neighbors, I'm back, Monday is the program meeting with Jay, I'm okay, I relax. I don't expect much, reader looking back Georgie I have Bart playing on my disc man, I love it, p.s. while the Pope died this morning, I thought about finding a hero of my own for inspiration, Sunday, the 3rd of April 2005, 8pm, Long Beach I'm still back, today I was able to fall asleep well with the medicine I require, and until 11am, almost noon, and knowing it's over with Claudia, period. I hadn't expected a thing from her and didn't have to worry about it, even the fact that I dialed her by accident for a second, literally even if she noticed or not it didn't bother me, like it would have any time before, I am just completely over her I didn't want to write after last night's entry of her just stupidly saying, but you were never around, it helped finish things, no more news on her, she's moving good for her it's done, my Tourette's, neck and head, is still pretty bad, I felt a little dehydrated and congested from smoking so many cigarettes, my writing even looks better the more relaxed and letting go I'm, my thoughts, a little more fluid control of myself and mind, while I function, and quest for my identity is becoming clearer, I wrote a little bit today of my memoirs my memories, foreign and all of my life project a personal project, this, after reading three or so letters, which I examined, and thought about what a huge relevance they have to my life and quest, Julie had once written, after our breakup, in fact, last year I think, how, although she and Jean Simon were a couple, a unit, perhaps that I was the only person who makes her feel like a woman and beautiful, did I already speak of this letter in this journal, recently? Melinda Lambert had written me a letter circa February 2001 she was one of my old bartenders from when I lived in the upper west side of Nick, the boulevard building, the Irish pub on 86th street, the parlor, she had written about how she was congratulatory on my decision to better myself, and, moreover, 
that your absence from the parlor for the past three weeks was a positive sign. What a genuine gesture. I barely knew her, but she had seen my pain, and yet, I probably talked my head off about myself when I was drinking then. That bourbon was awful. The last of many letters that I contemplated about was this one from Roberta. We were both shattered people. She actually listened. There were these small and profound gestures of love that I had given her in one short week, then saying I had these terrible, inexcusable things about me, which made me not the man of her dreams. This letter defined me as well. I treasure these as proof of my life and my identity. I respect their context and content. The best part of today was the barbecue and dinner with my neighbors next door. Kate and Ray invited me last night. I climbed out of my shell and risked making it over there. Preoccupying in my head is this normal, adult life in this neighborhood. Ray and Kate's young son, almost two, Arnie, the dog, Shadow, and, from down the street, Felicia, who told a completely fated Greek marriage story of her and her husband, who was not there. She had a toddler-aged daughter. Then, Natalie, she had her lover child with Harper, was there a five-year-old daughter. Natalie was single. I announced my breakup with Claudia and a little why, a matter of ethics and faithfulness. I think Natalie may be interested in me. She invited me over anytime. I felt like such an adult. My behavior, and some of the pseudo-intellectual things I would say or my admitting not knowing some very famous trivia that Natalie asked me about. I was honest. Certainly, I kept things interesting. I had a good time, and now I write of it. Jack and I will talk tonight, regarding the show's meeting tomorrow. Matt is also returning here to detox, again. I am still learning, still growing. Reader looking back, Georgie Tuesday, the 5th of April 2005, 10.30 p.m., Fountain Valley, Caliph. I missed yesterday's entry. My apologies. I has been battling with acute bipolar switches, horrendous Tourette's, symptoms, and minor schizophrenic paranoid features and morbid anxiety, depression, rage, etc. I had nightmares and near-death dreams of Claudia, I mean the nightmares of Claudia with Leslie and the terrible things she had said, not said and done the near-deaths of me. Last night, after being on the phone with the doctor every half hour and at the pharmacy with trials of medication to balance, I finally got well, now just loneliness and depression not right now, but last night, once stabilized, I had to cancel the Silverman meeting for Monday. I fell asleep on the couch around 6 p.m. until 12 o'clock midnight. Jack had checked in at 10 p.m. I stayed awake until 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock and woke up at 10 a.m. Matt is still sleeping over and detoxing. He's not costing me much. I'm saving his life, though, and he's grateful. Food, meds and a bed again. Doug is trying to get a refund for the airline tickets, but asked for a doctor's note, which I fought. I told him to just let me pay. I don't want a hassle. He's good with money. JD and I think he's a bit lonely up there in San Francisco. Father still doesn't know how to talk with me when I'm down. He tells me I'm giving up when he's given up. Hearing about my unearthly dilemmas, I guess Belinda, my cousin, had gotten into a pretty bad car accident with her baby, Sophia, but I'm trying to stand my ground.
Belinda and Eleanor have not been returning any of my phone calls. Lorelai changed her number and I never heard a word. My old extended family has really turned to waste. Welcome to this new generation. Money should be coming in soon, mainly from the Courtney Love stuff. We're still handling clients for no pay. I'll probably help out Jack tomorrow on the field, and we'll be meeting to add to, and tune up, the wonderful treatment for the program that I wrote in a day. I'll also have a character based on me for the show. I'm trying to get a little excited about writing for the series. Nothing has been interesting me recently. I've been reading some A Rare Occasion for Me Paul Astor's collected prose, The Invention of Solitude. It's not bad. I think around the 20th of May will be our family meeting where I go over, with father and whoever else, my financial wishes and concerns. I really hope that'll work out. I really want to make my own million dollars before father drops me. Drops is a poor choice of words. Me with his, never mind, lost my thought. I'm at the residence in from my depression because of Claudia, and the anxiety before, but I'm all right now, here, I think she fully moved upstairs in the back, for the better, reader looking back, Georgie Thursday, the 7th of April 2005, 12.30am, Long Beach today, well, technically Wednesday, I generally felt lazy especially in the earlier part of the day, my Tourette's from the neck up has been horrendous again. I sat around most of the day, coming from the hotel at 9.30am, I brought mad coffee and some more meds, I didn't eat much again this has been going on for a few days, now, I'm prepared to get the doctor's note so Doug can be refunded for the missed flight to San Francisco, also, Jack and I will be cancelling the weekend trip to Utah, his hernia, my Tourette's hour work, hopefully father will understand and understand I'm cancelling as well. I might be paid three or four thousand dollars from Courtney tomorrow. I'll have to claim the income with the accountant. Wow! My CD player just ran out of batteries. I just filled it two days ago. So many frustrating things. I hate all the clutter. I hate these times. And adulthood, for me, sucks. Anyway, I'm alright. I wrote the letter that would get Corey back into the States from Canada. He owes me a lot. I need to organize this house better. I can't set goals. I can and should only wait. It's awful. Time passes so slowly from December through April it's taking forever this waiting game. I tried to organize the computer, but it didn't work. A truly wasted day except for Corey. Perhaps Georgie Thursday. The 7th of April 2005. 10.30 p.m., Long Beach I am very tired, my ticks were less, I had been pretty lazy and lethargic until the late afternoon, I woke up at 12 o'clock noon, I went to the gym at the office, I made eye sex with a punk woman who was also at the gym, I hope to see her there again soon and talk with her, just had a sushi dinner and a manicure and pedicure, I wrote out more of the treatment, but all my printers are broken about 5 lousy pages. I drank a total of 10 shots of espresso today, 8 at once, I just want the day to end, Jack said he'll still call back, but I'm going to bed, I cancelled the Utah weekend, father says he respects the decisions I'm making, and that I should call him soon to talk about some things on his mind, I think the treatment writing should be my focus for all of my writing projects, still working on that doctor's note for Doug, patience, patience.
When will the clutter and confusion end? I despise modern day. RLB, Georgie Friday, the 8th of April 2005, 11 p.m., Long Beach. I'm a little lonely. I stayed home most of the day. Took a drive to downtown Long Beach and stopped at Starbucks for coffee and a sandwich. I'll be trying Ritalin very soon. Due to what caffeine does to my brain chemistry, it'll either work or not. I will know within the hour. I haven't written of Claudia in a couple of days. Well, screw her she's a waste of my thoughts. I had a cigarette with Ray next door this evening. Today, I finished another version of the treatment for the program. I called father back, but no answer or return call. Yet, regarding the things on his mind, I've got to finish these scripts and do more treatments. What happened to the old me, the outgoing me, the funny me, the social butterfly, the businessman, the non-smoker, non-coffee drinker, the hard-working university-bound student, the guy who was always looking for a better job, the guy who directed short movies, where did I go, the guy who asked a lot of girls out and succeeded, the guy who liked his culture, always looking for extra credit, have I really lost touch with life and myself? I am still hiding, I am still scared, I still don't know myself, I need to make a big personal change, I often dread this life, I had so much going for me, even with Julie, there's nothing left, what's my story, where do I truly leave my mark, how do I change, I'm getting old, I'm dying, I miss myself, I don't like figuring this whole life out, what the hell is missing, many things, help Georgie Saturday. The 9th of April 2005, 10.30 p.m., Long Beach I finished a new draft of the program. Ray, the neighbor, wanted me to watch his son, Nick, for 15 minutes, but I was already in the car out the door this morning, around 10.30 a.m. I drove Jack to the Harley shop, Barrels, to pick up his car. Then, I went to see Dr. Cameron from 1 o'clock to 2 p.m., it was $300. He's not too interested in billing father, or having to do little work for the doctor's note for Doug. I went off Seroquel and Wellbutrin, and I'll try out Ritalin tomorrow morning. I never once tried this drug pretty unbelievable and interesting. Since caffeine helps me in some ways, we're taking a chance with this Ritalin. It'll either work or not. I am still driving like a real nut. I really shouldn't be driving. One or two more tickets for speeding and my life sentence will be taken away. I also got into two small accidents in two days those speeding tickets within a month's time. My Tourette's was horrible, again today. But, when I returned home and after Sanchez and Rose left, my house is looking great. I went on the internet and watched and listened to segments via radio broadcast, or, webcast video about schizophrenia. I didn't write. I chose not to. I could relate to the medical information I was receiving. I definitely am ill. I need to know that, but later in the night, here, I've been relaxing a lot and just taking it easy. This morning I had nightmares of Claudia and Leslie very, very realistic. She was talking to me very frightening. I woke up again, choking, and having my heart go out and taking gasps of last breaths, but I consciously got out of those near deaths. I really hope I'll never have a nervous breakdown. The doctor says as long as I take my meds, and don't drink or drug, the schizophrenia will get better. It seemed that it's possible from the audio clips I listened to today. 
I meditated last night and I will again tonight, not having a clue about what's coming up, naturally I have no care in the world, now, and that's when I can feel my best, this guided meditation CD is pretty good, I am still working on having lucid dreams when I have some better knowledge of actually dreaming, I think there's a lot in dream worlds, although I think of them as trivial as normal thoughts, I don't see any friends and I keep to myself, I guess figuring out who I'm, and what's important to me, is revealing it all along, I change a lot and I value certain things by nature, I still haven't heard from father, he wanted to talk, some things are on his mind, there is I there's Tourette's, there's the schizophrenia, then there's bipolar, ADD, etc., separately my lesson for the day, I hope all of this makes better sense later, reader looking back, Georgie Monday, the 11th of April 2005, 4.30pm, Huntington Beach I'm staying at Jack's house while he's at Disneyland with his family, yesterday, I tried the Ritalin, but it made my tics worse just like the doctor had predicted, and I knew, I had spent the day extremely tired, I fell asleep on the couch, again, with the TV on all afternoon, I was depressed and paranoid to leave all day, several kids were playing on their bikes, and in my garbage can on my property for a while, while I was asleep, it freaked me out, I'd been freaked out about Claudia as well thinking about how sensitive I'm, and how I loved her but she couldn't love me, she's basically an unpaid hooker, Jack knew this all along, yesterday, I watched Groundhog Day again, and again, today, great film, I was down and in despair all day, I climbed out of it and called mother, she does care, I'd been better, alone here at Jack's with the two dogs and cat, I love them, I've got to give myself a real kick in the ass to get up and deal with my illness, what I need to do is stop driving, sell my car, move out of my high rent home, do my daily chores, use public transportation, eat, maintain myself, calendar my things to do, I don't have too much going on exercise, writing every day at specified times, spending money frugally not letting people take from me, standing my ground, acting as if, until I become, and keeping busy, getting excited about things, working on the TV show and letting things fall into place, I think I'll take a shower again, and see where Jack is and write, shave, I think, too, I'll make use of my calendar. When I get home, I'll keep my chin up, I'll smoke in the back only, generally, and not worry about what Claudia thinks or what she does, my spells, I usually forget about when I come out of them, but some bizarre silly thinking very abstract and strange, they occur, that's why I can't express them, I sing and rhyme in my mind and make connections of all kinds, I grow very confused and let too much stimuli enter through my senses. I think too much, my conversation with mother was good, father was, again, busy with work and making money to control others, and not realizing it himself, in a way, he lives in a la, -la land and cares very much about how he comes across to others, I think he, too, is insecure, I pray for their well-being, both him and his wife, and I will help myself get better and overcome my dilemmas, I apologize I couldn't write last night because of them. Reader looking back, Georgie Long lived Georgie, Monday, the 11th of April 2005, 11pm, Long Beach I'm back home, 
I had forgotten how beautiful and well-kept my house is, and the Claudia thing doesn't matter, I feel safe and out of harm's way, I'm playing Bach, again, what a musician, what a brilliant musician, I wonder what went on in his head, in his life, I'm glad I took the day off and had that talk with mother, having over two years of sobriety under my belt, and Jack and the doctor aren't pressing me so much, I realize and, if it's God's way that I'm probably doing better than I think, or, I need to see my side of things through knowing I've got the potential, otherwise, I think Jack, for example, would be harder on me, or even babying me more, unless it's a thing with knowing I'll be alright anyway, which I'd like to discount, Jack did first thing when he got back ask me if I'd talked with father, I didn't, he was too busy with work, I'll be talking with Donnie's son, Chris, tomorrow night about my writing project Le Rouge et Lenoir, from the inside, and it happened again, I feel good, I'm only on Risperdal, 3mg, 8avan, 6mg, and Remarin, 30mg, to sleep, my ticks worsen when I'm under stress or tired, I've been alright today, I've got to fill in my calendar tomorrow, I was paid $3,000 today from the facility, at last. At one page, here good night, I think I'll sleep well tonight and kick myself in the ass a little, tomorrow, RLB, Georgie Wednesday, the 13th of April 2005, 9.30pm, Long Beach I slept 18 hours, dreamt of playing truth or dare and becoming a motivational blogger, as if I ever could or would, fuck em if they can't take a joke, always, fuck em for that, the journal continues through the year or so, and yet, not yet but rather another time, for me, for Ben, Georgie, and all of us on this ship, sketching out the alibis it unfolds and does so for years to come, however, I left off with I slept 18 hours, yesterday, my depression, fear, and sadness had the best of me, mother asked me to call her when I was feeling down again big mistake, I cried myself to sleep and all day kept the blinds closed, I fell asleep early last night only to wake up to take my 9am medication then fell asleep again until 2pm, I had so much fear, I just wanted to be a baby, Dr. C said it's okay to want that, nightmares of Claudia startled me again all morning long, I really loved her, I went grocery shopping and picked up paper and water, my Tourette's was fine all day very manageable, I was just depressed today. I even saw Claudia outside tonight, but my heart did not beat fast or anything, I've got to get over her, I found out I owe almost $14,000 in taxes, money which I do not have, mother said she had to go back to her shrink because of my call last night, then, when I called back today, I was fine, my change of mood, it apparently fucked her up, she blamed me bad, it hurt. Jack dictated more of the TV treatment to me this afternoon and I will tell you what now, it's now the 9th of August 2014 and I haven't the energy or stamina, but I do have the courage, to write out, rather type out, the rest of this year's handwritten journal, hundreds of additional pages and then thousands more from the years of documenting every moment of every day before and since then, when the broken heart to jubilee began, so, I hate myself even more than I have on the day from this last entry, 
it all continued and yet I must simply keep in on the bleached out paper in my handheld notebook for none to see, it will be buried with me nonetheless, it's my will, just not in my will, I have none, the end, rather, no NPS the climactic twist but whose request must I respond to the raw, brazen, honest and real deal, unabashed, uncut process of my writing, of course it's the genius of a mentally ill mind. But one last erroneous encore for the second alibi, erroneous, Ben, absolutely, mates, the genesis, rather the genius derives from the joking relationships I have with many voices in my head extending far downward inside my psyche, I can't get them out of my mind no matter what I do, the repetitions are in fact due to their own independent and relentless repetition and with their otherwise severely appalling messages, requests, and demands, they urge my own suicide so I opt for an alibi, over and over, confessing to all the cameras, on stage, all the world's a stage, to quote Shakespeare's as you like it, as they like it, they go as far as telling me to murder but I give life instead, just as Georgie would himself, I give life to Georgie, help comes along in many fashions from first, the writing itself, then the implicit repetitions, which derive from within and finally the birth and rebirths of our hero to love, our dearly loved Georgie Gust, may he rest in peace, never, there's an electromagnetic device set up here in my quarters, here in this, my home, in the ward, in my head, in my heart perhaps that might be more appropriate, my heart, it doesn't feel well but the repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulations sometimes zap the voices out of my head without hurting my mind, my brain, my heart, my core, mon coeur. I'm entangled in the wires of my transcranial magnetic stimulation device and feel the electromagnetic pulses deep inside, somehow seamlessly. TMS pulses, they are called, it tingles, thus enters the introductory clause, subject, Paresthesia and parenthetical pet peeves, in the prequel to the second-hand sequel, I get headaches, too but they get me through, as the minor muscle deflations of my face and scalp melt me, the clock on the wall here in my little home office melts, too, the clock ticks and the phone still rings non-stop so I can't sleep and I can't see because I'm legally blind, I embrace disease, I take what I'm given, audiobooks, of course to read on occasion when engaged in more idled activity, which is rare, all of this happens in this place I call home, I have no idea where home actually is in this most unusual crack den, this pen, the ink itself as it bleeds, the story, the places, and the vaults, the recesses embedded within my mad mind ruthlessly intoxicated with madness, it all intoxicates me, as long as I remain symptomatic I will write, and continue to do so, dictating alibi after alibi until the voices of all these so-called people, Claudia, Heidi, Kelly, Georgie, Dr. C, and myself, and myself, the fantasies of everybody and every place, and everything, they continue on, they've become tragic obsessions in my last literary gig, the voices and hallucinations say a lot, and before I say goodbye at the end of this bit, once enlightened at last, there will be more to come, the full three-part trilogy and so forth, history repeats itself, so does the present, the night is quiet and still now, and at the end, I begin again, I'm Ben, I just am climax, 
dedicated to the infamous editor that which follows is the, let's call it, G-rated part of a work of otherwise often X-rated fiction, no harm is at stake, simply stated, what follows involves my own way of making it through difficult times as quickly as I must, through writing therapy, rather pre-writing for my allobiography book series. There have been but two unanswered questions literally within the literature, a, how to kill off Georgie and B, how Jonathan, me, myself, the author that is Ben, will have eventually, if ever will have synthesized with Ben, or not. The unmentioned loss I happened to encounter professionally caused me to what? It caused me to jump the fuck up leaping onto the keyboard under the sounds of Trent Reins's electric thunder and intriguing possibilities, and so I still sit, sitting still with my speakers blaring loud as bloody hell, calmly? Perhaps, I stumbled upon the well-awaited since, 2006 finale to the trilogy or deuce of the Alibi or Alibiography series with special thanks to the infamous editor who screwed me over for the last time creating a symptomology more severe than ever, I get through, art saves lives, at least mine, Jonathan, are you asleep, I know your loss must have really hit you hard as you posted online to your readers, I'm concerned, I love you and I want you safe, emails Kelly? I understand your publisher pulled out as did your editor. Perhaps it may be time to just publish Banality as the final book. Perhaps. Perhaps. It rings in my head. Perhaps. Put it up it up as it is. Kelly advises in my mind. In my head. So it can't authentically be written in the second person. This is third person stream thought. Not action. So let's keep this real. But I can certainly help with the leftovers. I can help. Blog it, taste it, smell it. Can you smell it, Ben? Can you see it? Can you visualize it? It can be done. It, rather you are the story, Ben, Jonathan, you are the book, and the series and you can reach your own climactic conclusion, right now and straight away, as you like it. It might be good for you. Again, I love you, Jonathan, I love you Ben, I love you Jonathan. She reminds me writing me electronically from next door while I'm still here, wherever I'm, in New Mexico at least and at last, far, far away from California, finally, this is my reply and thus my end, Ben comes to realization, a realization as it pertains to his second alibi, the banality of life as it pertains to who he is after all, who he really and truly is, and whom everybody has likely known all along. Underneath the wreckage Claudia has imposed, for example, it all comes down to but a simple short and sweet story after all, not much to it, he is who he is, Georgie, and Ben is not asleep, neither am I, I, Jonathan, am pulling through the wreckage the professionals left behind, an intrusive but immaculate final fantasy, or thought pounces on Ben, on me, Jonathan, genuine enlightenment even in its own banality, it should never be bought or sold and therefore to hell with China White, and thank the Lord Ben can't even find his way around the block to score any more drugs where Georgie lives due his pathology, for being a schizophrenic, the same goes for Ben as it does for Georgie, he'd, who, Georgie, arranged with my help years ago for all his antipsychotic medications to be locked in secure safe might he ever find his way to break into Fort Knox. God forbid he was to relapse nearly 12 years after sobering up from heroin, crack cocaine, PCP, and booze. 
Drugs as such, and suicide, are indeed available for such unmentionably petty knee-jerk reactions like the Winnie Cribbaby little bee sting of being free after all. That's what it boils down to. Smaller anxieties are all the same in his sordid colorless life. They blow up in Ben's book Bert rather onto a free-to-see peep show of a blog, a free-read illuminating the genius of his mentally ill mind, his life, and mine would blow up if it wasn't for my role of being his creator, as the author, as Ben himself, as Jonathan, in the flesh and forever so. He is, rather I'm the one. I am still just a trapped little literary device. Georgie takes care of me and I, Ben, take care of him. We love our beloved Georgie and we love our belated Ben, after all. Most certainly Ben has meant it when he says it's matter of fact that the publisher's petty little bee stings blow up like the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, especially with his hefty dose of some good old-fashioned and severe complex PTSD. If not, he'd be fictionalizing a bona fide smoke, a pure once-in-his-lifetime 60 mg hit of DMT enabling his long after due, short-lived Bert greatest 20 minutes of his life, and thus mine. Dr. C has always asked how I would ultimately end Georgie's life as a literary device and my answer is in therapy, writing therapy that is. See, once Georgie's 20 minutes of bliss is up, there's no action, he simply inhaled the drug, the full-blown DMT, so just use your imagination of what his experience is like while I write, that he wouldn't be able to function or feel any pain any longer and so neither would I it's why I write the alibis and speak to the cameras which record him to prove the cause of our deaths, as one, Georgie's cause of death, Ben's cause and my own death, our literary deaths, together as one, a full-blown fictionalized mass mental suicide, Georgie Gust's heart will simply give out within a minute or so left, check the timer tick tick tick, his psychedelic highest of highs flies in the background. My heart opens wide open, finally, and at last, spreading its wings and doing the happy dance of letting go, truly letting go, letting the whole story go. Long live Georgie, enter at last Jonathan Harnish, who lives on and on and on, and so on. As for Claudia and the others, well, to hell with them. I think our job is da here, back to Kevin at Goldhand. No fuck Kevin at Goldhand and the ultimate early release of Second Alibi, for the serialized fiction has reached its climactic finale, finally so now I may type, as I win, the joy of life, a laugh in DL Envoy, Jetauche may I continue to live long and prosperously, as it's sometimes said, here he is at last, at last, he has arrived, I'm and will always be Jonathan Jonathan Harnish the end.